All right. Test, test, test. Oh, test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. Test, 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 Connor. Test, 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 JD. Why am I so much louder? Why does this always happen when I do the levels? Okay, test, 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 JD. Hey, this is JD talking. JD, JD, JD. Connor, Connor, Connor. JD, JD, JD. Connor, Connor, Connor. Um, okay, I think this... Oh, fuck. I think this sounds good. How does this sound to you, America? Yeah, I hope it sounds good. Okay. Um, so, Connor, here we are. Hello. Hello, JD. This is 12-hour day, episode 10. Double digits. That's crazy to me. It just occurred to me now, you saying that, that will it be a big deal when 12-hour day hits episode 12? Is that going to be like a... a uh, you know what Phil Romano noted? What? When on one of our posts about recording today? What? Today's a very special day. What is it? We're recording 12-hour day. What's the date? It's 12-12? It's twelve twelve, Connor. Oh man, I wish this was three years ago. <laughs> uh, but we want uh, three years Wait, ago. So we have to record twelve hours, twelve minutes, and fifteen seconds. Yeah, let's aim for that. Let's that aim. would still be kind of a short one. Yeah, that would be a shorter one. On the shorter side. Um, but I I just thought that was a funny realization that we we're recording twelve hour day on twelve twelve. I I do think that's funny, and completely unintentional. Yeah, because we... Sorry. Now, on 12-12-12, that was three years ago, our friendship, it was, it predates the, that predates the podcast, if it was 12-12-12, 2012. Um, but at that point, we would have been friends for... Because we started... When did we start this? Can I have your remotes? Yeah, what do you want? I just want something I can tilt this up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Whichever one's not um, the uh, let's try and cr- uh, put a timeline to this because we when did we start doing this? This was beginning of 2014. Yeah, it was last year. Last year, this time episode. No, I mean I, it was. Or did we start a in year and a month ago? Did no. we start 2013. You start. Uh, no, we start 20. Wait, no, yeah, we start 2014 because. On. Episode two was Christmas time in your apartment. Um, yeah, but that wouldn't have been Christmas 2015. That would have been Christmas 2014. Right, but this is Christmas 2015. Yeah, so it would have been Christmas 2013. No, it was 2014. Last year's Hold Christmas. Hold on. This is, this is Christmas 2015. No. Yes, right now is I know, now it is this. Hold on. This is a and ridiculous last, argument. And last Christmas was Christmas 2014. But that would have been episode six. This year we did four episodes. Last year we did six episodes. Right? Wait, I'm gonna. Wait, uh, this wait, is wait, easy. wait, 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 wait. You're right. Because last last Christmas we both went home and did private time with our family. That's right. Um. So actually, we started this 2013. Whoa, that's not right. Um, I'm just gonna look up. I'm just yeah. going to look up our information and see. Go to, go to our site. I mean, memory is so ridiculous. Yeah, because if, if we go back... Hold on. Um, but in any case, if you go back to 2012, that would have been a year before we started podcast, yes. roughly. And At our- that point, our friendship would have been based in what? Uh, I, I would have finished my presidential campaign... 
for the Chris Gathered show. So I would have been doing that for 15 months. And prior to the Gathered show, um, we knew each other. Uh, I would say we knew each other for, uh, we did parentheses, the class with Chris Gethard, uh, in the spring of 2011. Right. I would say our first real interaction that I can remember was, would it have been a Jump on 3 Christmas show? Yes. Yeah. It was a Jump on 3 Christmas show. That we ended up, uh, there was something to do with, like, my improv group, Secret Man Group, was performing at a Jump on 3 show. Yes. And I think we walked... You and I walked, I think my parents might have even been in town or something. There was some, yeah, because there was something where I went to the the Four Points Hotel, and we were having a conversation comparing how our improv groups had similar ambition. Oh, my gosh. Right? I completely forgot about that conversation. Yeah. Yes. That was probably one of the first conversations we had that was like, like we knew each other, but that was one of the first times we probably really talked. Right. And I remember that conversation. It was raining, right? It was it was like one of those misty, rainy, wintry yeah. situations. We had walked. We ended up walking from from St. Mark's to that hotel. To, to yeah, hotel in Chelsea. Because I think I was going to UCB or something to see. A show. I forget what it was. Yeah, and but I was we talked going... about improv stuff because at the time you were on an improv group. Neither of us. Wait, I'm trying to think. So that would have been 2010. Neither of us won house teams. I was probably, if it was 2010, neither of us won house teams. And I think I was maybe, maybe a month away from, it would have been maybe the, the it might have been around Thanksgiving time even, possibly. Yeah. Because that's, that's where my, my parents were in town. And... I would. I was maybe a month or so away from getting put on my first house team at UCB, and I was a year away. Yeah, maybe. When did you didn't get put on the same time as Phil? You got put on before Phil. Um. No, I think didn't. Maybe. I. I it's hard to say. It was I close. Because I know that I got put on like eight months after Phil. No, I think I was put on Herald Knight the same day as Noah Foreman and Dave Blood Band. Yeah, so I think... Yeah. I just looked it up. Our first episode of this was was released uh, on January 7th, 2014, but it was recorded on December 29th, 2013. Our first episode? Our first episode. Our second episode was recorded on February 17th, 2014, and... Wait, so that wasn't preparing Christmas stuff. That was putting Christmas stuff away? Um, yeah, the, I had my Christmas stuff up, right? Cause it was right. I thought we were helping you put it up, but I guess we're taking it down, but I don't know if I would have taken it all down during that. Right. You didn't. Did I, think I? We just boxed up some of it. Yeah, maybe. But I do have a tendency to keep like, I, I have my, like we're in, we should say we're in my apartment right now. Oh yeah. We should back up. This is the first time that we've recorded an episode, um, since that episode in my apartment. So it's a return to a location that... <clears throat> yeah, so w- right now we are... We're in Queens. We're in Woodside or Flushing, technically? I don't know. It comes up as both. 
Or the board I never fully understand where is where because sometimes on the kind of things where you're putting your address in, it'll come up as flushing and come up with Woodside with the same zip code. So I don't know. Do you care what we say what which subway stop it is? Uh, yeah, let's not do that. Okay. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm sure it's in the previous episode. It might be, but like, yeah, anyway. go find it. Yeah, we you know, reiterate it. Um, it's a little bit like anything that we say. I feel like it's buried in the sand. Exactly. And if you want it, you probably. I yeah, think, I think if, if you want it, you're either the type of person that can handle it, or you're a dangerous person. And a dangerous person is. We live in a world where, like, we might worry about like let's not just for safety. Let's not say this. Let's not say that. But a truly dangerous person can find a way to do whatever they want. And that's the horrible truth about the world we live in. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, uh, but the good news about that is, despite how scary the world is. I do actually agree with people who say that the fact that more horrible stuff doesn't happen more often is a sign that there just aren't as many deranged or dangerous people as we fear there are. There are plenty. There are too many. But the fact that like every 10 minutes there isn't another catastrophe is a sign. You think every 10 minutes? I mean, on a glo- I mean, there are. But most we've, we've we live in a society where it is like every day there's another catastrophe. Even then, though, I'm amazed it's not worse. Yeah, it's true. Because if you or I wanted to do something horrible, we could. It's easy. Um, but we choose what we did a real about face when talking about our first interaction as friends. Then yeah, are you talking about how it'd be easy for us? To well, do I think it's a, I, I, it's ultimately <laughs> ultimately an optimistic thing to say that like most people are not in the they're not I mean maybe not maybe I'm wrong about this because there are lots of horrible things that happen quietly that are unreported things happen on a small scale that are devastating you don't know what I'm capable of I do know what you're capable of what oh something we can't talk about yeah so okay here I'm gonna say this yeah is it weird to say what our pre-recording ritual is no not at all as long as we don't get into the details of it exactly before we record, Connor and I will talk about everything we can't talk about on the podcast. Yeah. Because there are things that, for either personal reasons or professional reasons, would not be appropriate to talk about. Th- things that wouldn't be fair to other people. Uh, things that we think, oh, that would make us sound terrible. Yeah. Like, there is an element of, like, uh, w- uh, dropping the veil somewhat, but, like, trying to maintain some modicum of decency privacy in in what is ultimately an over sharing format and a format in which we will accidentally end up talking about things that we just because of the duration of the podcast um inevitably we'll end up talking about things that we did not intend to talk about but there there are always a few things where we're like let's get this out of the way i don't really want this being part of a public uh uh, listenership. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So we get a lot of those things. And, and there, there, as it, honestly, also, uh, also as it gets further into the podcast, a few of those things will inevitably slip away. But I think that's why we want to, that's why we choose to label them up top before we record. Just know like, this is something we don't want to talk about. This is something we don't want to talk about. We know what the general, it's more like we put a handle with care sticker on yeah. certain topics. Yeah. And then there's certain stuff that I think just wouldn't be interesting for people to hear. Yeah. Um, not all. Sometimes we still, obviously, we started this off with something that might not be very interesting to hear. 
which is us trying to figure out when we started recording these. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, um, but I just made a... The reason we got to this point is because I made a face because I realized there was something that I wanted to tell Connor. Write it down so we can talk about it yeah. uh, 12 hours from But now. there was something funny of like, well, we're going to talk 12 hours, but we can't talk this one thing that I want to tell you. Okay. Um, um, and you don't even tease it at me because I'll get so frustrated and we'll end up with a long, silent section of writing notes to each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're in my apartment right now. And I have my little Christmas tree up. Um, and, and can I say this for those, yeah. those who like remember? Um, you can go back and get my first description of Connor's apartment, but it's episode two. It's a small, technically a studio apartment, right? Yeah, it's a studio. It's a studio, but the kitchen is sort of separated. I think it's a. I, I think this is a, a decent sized studio for one person. Yes, it's great. It doesn't feel like a studio, and Connor also doesn't. He doesn't have a bed. Like, so, like Mulder. I guess. No, Mulder doesn't have a bed. Okay. I don't... You want to know something? What? I've never watched an episode of his X-Files. So, trust me when I say that Mulder doesn't have a bed. Everyone yeah. says it's weird. When the few times that people go in Mulder's apartment, they always comment, like, there's no bed in here. He sleeps on a couch. Yeah. So, it doesn't... It feels like... It doesn't feel like a studio apartment is what I'm saying. But the walls, it's dimly lit. The walls are covered with posters and including I'll say this um, I want well I have to say this is kind of a blind item uh, and there's Christmas stuff up there's Christmas stuff up my, my Christmas tree uh, is up uh, do you see that poster that's on the wall yes uh, we were recently in an, and I won't say who but we were really see, recently both in another person's apartment and that obscure poster is on the wall of that apartment Really? Yeah. Oh. I was floored when I when I walked in the apartment. I was like, "Why is that a blind item?" Um, was oh, just right. covering tracks. You know what I mean? Yes. I don't know if that was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <audible. laughs> um. Anyway, there was a place that JD and I were both at that we can't say where <laughs> it was at. Connor, this is so weird. What? Because it's not weird to say what. It, what what you would have said wouldn't have been weird, except for now that you've made it weird. You know I know, I, mean? I know, I know. And I, but I real I didn't want to get I didn't want to accidentally get ahead of what I was saying. Yes. So I've accidentally made something that would have just sounded normal weird because <laughs> of something else that's weird. Um, sorry, listeners, <laughs> it'll never be known to you. <laughs> this is the worst. Okay. Um, the poster that I have on my wall is for when the Sunshine Cinema, which is Sunshine still on track to be closed. It is, but almost every theater in New York is like on track to be closed, so I never know which ones are actually. I hope down. that Sunshine doesn't close because Sunshine Cinemas. Um, so I'm sure I'm sure I've done this on the podcast at some point. Yeah, yeah. But I have rankings of theaters, and I have different. In fact, it might have been the first episode that I did this. I have different criteria, and for a while, Sunshine was my top movie theater in New York. What's your top now? Um, I think my top now. It's hard to say. I might go with IFC has taken over. Ooh. Um, and if not IFC, I don't know. I think it's hard because the, the criteria is always programming, the technical theater elements, and then the, uh, the subjective theater experience are those the three criteria. Mm-hmm. And the technical theater elements also is... You know, technical theater experiences like screen size, screen clarity, sound system, 
mm-hmm. the seats, how the seats, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then the subjective theater experience is like, how does it feel in your like heart to be at that theater? Yeah. And so for me, Sunshine used to have great programming. Theater One in the basement of Sunshine is the best theater in New York, bar none. And the theater experience is like, it's a pretty magical, it feels very New York movie theater. Yeah, great building. There's this, they have this big let, letters that say Sunshine, and you can actually, on the top floor, there's a little widow's walk you can go out of, and you look out over the letters that say Sunshine onto the busy street, and it feels very cinematic. It does. But their programming has slipped a little bit. I just, I feel like there's less great movies playing there. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, I don't think it's that there's less great movies playing there. It's that I think there's less movies that I'm excited to see, and I'm, I don't live as close to Sunshine as I used to. Yeah. So it's just, I'm not as drawn to it anymore. But it yeah. is one of my favorite theaters in New York, and if something's playing there, I yeah. will see it there. So the poster I have on my wall, um, which I'm going to tweet a picture of right now, do it from the 12-hour day. From the 12-hour day account. Um, and uh, for those of you, there may be some first-time listeners to this episode. I don't know. There, I always assume maybe there could be someone who listens to the newest episode and it's the first time they've heard it. Yeah, if that's you, uh, I'm JD. <laughs> I'm Connor. I think we said that up top, but we're friends and we live in New York City. Yeah, and now we're introducing ourselves 20 minutes into... <laughs> Normally, for a podcast, you introduce yourself 20 minutes in, it would be... A huge faux pas, but for us, we're still in the probably the first one percent of our podcast. Yeah, um, I mean, definitely the first one percent. Maybe the first. I don't. I want to do the math on it. Uh, so I'm going to tweet a picture of this poster, which um, was a limited edition poster. It was given to me as a gift, um, and uh, it's art by great, great cartoonist Dan Klaus. Uh, some of you, if you're not into Literary comics, or I don't know, I guess that's the proper term for the kind of comics uh, that are published by people like Fantagraphics or Drawn in Quarterly. Uh, he's the creator of Ghost World and Art School Confidential. And uh, what else would he be known for? Those would probably be the big ones, right? Yeah, those are the big ones. Um, but anyway, he did this poster. Um, and it's, it was for the reopening of uh, the Sunshine Cinema. And I was just startled because I've, I've seen this reproduced in books about Dan Close where they show like obscure art that he's right. done for ads and things like that. But it was very strange to walk into someone else's apartment and see it on the wall. Because uh, it feels like there can't be that many people who have this on the wall of their apartment. Right. There's not that many people that have it. Not that many people have it. Have it that get it framed. There's not people that have it to get it framed that put it on the wall of their apartment. So it's a... But also, the person that we know has this also, you have a lot of things in common with that person. And I'm gonna- uh, but it wasn't the person... When I went to the person and said, you have this poster, they said, not my poster. Other person's poster. Other person's poster. That's less... That's more surprising, right? Uh, maybe. A little bit. I could explain reasons why it's not. Yeah, but but I was surprised. It would be boring because our, we're but, our, items. but our first but our first guest was was probably the same yes. person, right? Yes. Um, uh, here, so this is going to be so, a, this is yeah. going to be a great segue. Yeah, great. Is speaking of stuff on the wall, I have a a thing here. 
This is a uh, listeners remember this is a belated gift. That now the second half of the gift is that the, the thing has been framed. Oh my goodness! Yeah, this is a. Uh, so now, and I, I and I should say I don't know if this if this is a bad idea. I didn't ask JD before I did it, but I you might have heard a little bit of. Uh, What's the what's the word for I always forget it. It's such a great word for when the music is just playing in the background of a movie. But diegetic. It's ha- diegetic. I wish I. That's one of those words. Like I worked really hard to learn how to say verisimilitude and to know what it meant. Am I saying it right? I never think I'm saying it right. Yeah. You, yeah. How would you say it? I've, now I'm too self-conscious, but I'm not going to try. I'm not going to try. Verisimilitude. Is that right? And. Um, sim- is it? I might be saying it wrong. I see. I also am not. You uh, enunciate I, better than I do. Yeah. I slur my words really. Verisimilitude. I kind of slur that word when I say it. But there's another word that I always am forgetting it. Because it's a great word. But anyway, um, diegetic. Yes. Music. I put on. I have this box set that I bought for like five bucks a couple of years ago. And it's the Longines Symphonette's Complete Treasury of Nostalgic Holiday Music, Christmas at the Fireside. And it's. Three LPs, and all I really know about the Longines Symphonette is they're referenced in a "They Might Be Giants" song, and oh my gosh, this is like the Longines Symphonette. It doesn't is, rest. Oh my gosh, so that's a so okay. The the song "Birdhouse in Your Soul" by "They Might, they Might Be Giants." I oh my gosh, and they so that 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 was one of the first albums I ever bought in my life. Yeah. And, in fact, I think it was the second album I ever bought in my life. Yeah. This is amazing. And so, I, here, I didn't... I just, yeah. So this is the, the second album I ever bought in my life was The Flood by They Might Be Giants. Yeah. And Birdhouse and Your Soul is like the, the first track on it after the, the opening track that is like the introduction. Yeah, which is one of the funniest openings to yeah. any album ever. Why is the world in love again? If you want to hear... Um, if we can promote a, a, a podcast with some people that we're friends oh, with. Oh, yes. Yes. That was a great episode of that. Yeah. Uh, Don't Get Me Started, a great podcast that Will Hines and Anthony King do that I've been on one episode as a guest and another episode as a walk-in uh, added person guest. But they did an episode with Neil Casey where they talked just about They Might Be Giants and specifically about Flood. Yeah. And it's so fun just hearing them talk about it. Um so I want to talk about that real quick, but yeah. I feel like we've gone. I feel like we've spun out. So we have. That's okay. So we much. got time. Yeah, but I want to make sure we circle back. Yeah. So what I was gonna say is that "Birdhouse in Your Soul," great song. I know it word for word. I know everything. Yeah. Um, because I started listening when I was a kid, and I, it was on repeat. But the yeah. thing is, it was one of those songs where there's a couple phrases that I know the syllables to, and I say them, but I don't know what I'm saying. Right. You're not sure what it is. And this was one of them. And yeah. You've just solved it. So it's the Longine Symphonettes. And it was, my star is infinite. Like the Longine Symphonette, it doesn't rest. Um, and let's do a little... Let's do a little Wikipedia research. Because I did do research after I saw this. Because I'm like, the Longine Symphonette... Um, so I see this beautiful... It's gorgeous, after right? That for five Jason bucks... His, what? After fighting Jason off and his countless screaming Argonauts. Yeah. Um... But this is a, a, a an old-fashioned, like, box of LPs. Yeah, and it's all in, you know, um, what appears to be sort of... Um, 
Like when you buy yeah. a record from the 1940s, the way they come with these essays that are very kind of... Yeah, and it's, it's like sort of hand-printed lettering that yeah. is like beautiful, ornate. Yeah, and so I, I've put that on in the background. You may hear a little bit of that. In a lithograph from Courier and Ives of a beautiful Christmas scene. Of... Yeah, and that's another... That's another um, that spins to another song. By Courier and Ives. What? In that Christmas song. These wonderful things are the things we'll remember all through our lives. Um, do you know oh that? Oh my god, you just, you just filled in another gap. This is amazing. Yeah, because Courier and Ives... This is going to be real educational. In the lyrics to Sleigh Ride... Um, they re- they reference Courier and Ives. I had no idea. And they were a successful American printmaking firm headed by Nathaniel Courier, eighteen thirteen through eighteen eighty eight. That's a short life, kind of. Oh no, I guess that's a longish. That's all right. And then James Merritt Ives, um, based in New York City from eighteen thirty four to nineteen oh seven, they produced prints from paintings by fine artists as black and white lithographs that were hand colored. Um, and uh, that's amazing. And the song "Sleigh Ride" says uh, just, it, just, it'll it'll ne- it'll nearly be like a picture print by Courier and Ives. Amazing. So, like this Courier and Ives is it's a gloomy sort of wintry day. Um, on the left side of the fr- the top of the frame is all just sky and cloud, and there's uh, sort of um, this rural scene of these bare trees and the left side of the frame is a wintry path that leads over a small sort of um, you know locally built bridge it looks like and then next to that is a giant tree and next to that sort of in the background is this yellow house covered in snow with a giant pond next to it that's frozen over and there's about a dozen kids all skating on it together and it's like this gloomy pink sky it's very Christmassy. Well, here's the thing. They said they could make these lithos quickly, and you could buy them cheaply. And they called themselves the Grand Central Depot for cheap and popular prints and advertised their lithographs as colored, colored engravings for the people. And it said that they... Um, in 1907, when the firm was liquidated, most of the lithographic stones had the image removed and were sold by the pound, with some stone's final home being as landfill in Central Park. Oh, my God. Um, that happens to everything. It does. Everything gets destroyed. Oh. Um, so, anyway, so, that's going to be nice, but let's backtrack to the Longines Symphony and learn a little bit about that. Okay, let's backtrack to the Longines Symphony. And uh, I want to backtrack to... Don't get me started. Great. Um, so, the Longines Symphony... This and is then, I wanna ba- then I want to backtrack to... Your apartment, yeah, and Christmas, and what I just gave you because we didn't actually describe. Yeah, it we're going to talk about. It. I got it right and here, and then I want to backtrack to our friendship. Great. Uh, I just because I feel like listeners, we've gone off on. Several. That's okay, but now they know what's coming. We just gave them the bullet points. It's almost exactly. like coming up in the next half hour. Yeah, uh, this is this is the the index um, of uh, the book that is our podcast. Yeah, it's funny I, not to spin off too much, but uh, Elvis Costello's memoir uh, just came out uh, a couple months ago. Yeah. And it's written, the, when I, I had an early copy of it, I was able to read it like a couple months before it came out. Right. And 
it's written in a nonlinear fashion, which some reviewers have really taken to task because they're like, he jumps all over the place. But I was like, that is how, that is how, mem- it, I actually find it very satisfying because it's like how memory works. It's sort of like his memoir and it is very, um, it very much reminds me of what's happening in this particular episode of the podcast. Um, um, this is uh, the Penguin Classic autobiography you're talking about. Um, no, it, it didn't come out as a Penguin Classic. It's, it is Penguin, Penguin Random House. But Morrissey... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking, Morrissey's I'm came out as a Penguin Classic. Morrissey, I'm thinking Morrissey. Uh, only in England, though. The English edition looks like a proper Penguin Classic. I think that's so funny. They also just published Morrissey's novel, which uh, Mikey Erg had a copy of yesterday, and I've heard is not good. But it know, looks great. You know what was so interesting? What? You just hear the WTF with uh, Danny Boyle. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's only great if you are love movies and Danny Boyle. Uh-huh. But Danny Boyle, Morrissey, lived in the same town as teenagers and both cited the same indie movie theaters, the place they'd escape to and, like, sneak into. At the, at, and they, they're the exact same age. So, like, there is a period of time where, like, the two moody teenagers of Morrissey and Danny Boyle were sneaking into the same indie movies in the same wow. town in Northern Ireland. That's so funny to, to imagine that <laughs> they had to have overlapped, right? There had to have been at least yeah. one movie that they were both in. Yeah, which I think the is so amazing. Of. Anyways, okay, so... So, anyway, so the, the Longines Symphonies. All right. And, okay, I'm going to say this because hearing it is hard to visualize. Longines is spelled L O N. G-I-N-E-S. So long, as in not short, but long, and then I-N-E-S. Long, how do you, how would you pronounce that? Longine. Longine symphony. I think going just soft on the G. Longine. Um, Longine symphonies. And. And Instead of symphony, it's symphonies. Yeah. Um, And they were a pre-recorded classical music, the Longine symphonies was a pre-recorded classical music program broadcast nightly on many mutual broadcasting system stations from 1943 to 1949. It then moved to CBS, where it was heard Sundays at 2 p.m. from 1949 to 1957. So, ladies and gentlemen, the Longines Symphonies. Yeah, and it said they... The Longines Symphonet Society was a record label which specialized in releasing classic radio programs and multiple record box sets. So that's what I have. And then they sold their record business to the Warner Music Group. So I won't play this too loud. Yeah. <laughs> now that it's I know who owns it. Soft enough that it's just a, just a blur in the background. Um, and Also, the one thing I realized... What? Is that if anyone ever wants to play parts of our podcast yeah in different forms right they can't use sections where something like this in the background you're right should I take it down I would say make it a little bit quieter alright yeah like I'm sure this is fine yeah um, I'm sure it was fine before but you know what I mean I know what you mean I thought about that the other day I was like oh because yeah. this exact episode, episode two, the same thing happened. Yeah, and... But it's diegetic, so maybe it's actually fun. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to give it a little bit back up. <laughs> I'm going to turn it back up just a little bit. I also think this is not... You're going to turn it up a little bit. Why? Because... Uh, What's the word? Diegetic. 
it sounds that sounds more medical than anything. You know, it sounds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they were referenced by they might be giants because of their constant recording activity, never resting. So they were just like constantly right doing stuff. Um, and it was also referenced in a uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode. In two episodes of MST3K. Um, and uh, people are very excited about MST3K coming back. And uh, the way JD's trying to gesture something to me that's confidential. I don't know what it could be. He doesn't want to talk about don't it. Don't worry about it. He does, says, don't worry about it. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, so this, is a, this was a great bargain, getting these records. They're just very lovely sounding little traditional Christmas recordings. Um, now, uh, going back from Longine Symphonette, uh, we go back to Don't Get Me Started. Yeah. And what's next? Okay, so Don't Get Me Started is a podcast wherein Will Hines and Anthony King have people come on and talk about things that they are uh, not necessarily an expert in, but they are obsessed with. Mm -hmm. And it can't be the thing that is their profession. Yeah. So you did an episode about Elvis Costello. Right. Which was... Yeah, go ahead. Which was... I did that hour plus time right there and then I talked for three plus hours about the same topic with Mikey on our podcast yeah but so one of the games that you play I think as a listener of that is you're always like what would be the thing that I would talk about right and you played that game before I have and I don't know what it would be there's several things but I can't figure out which ones yeah because some of them feel like they're too close to what I do right um so I don't know um, Are there other ones that you would do? Um, yeah, I mean, that was one that I felt... I, I think those episodes are most interesting when someone has a, a specific take on something. And I do feel like I have a, a, a specific experience and background and kind of take on Costello that I could talk about. I mean, Mikey and I have continued our conversation over the last year. Every time we see each other, I think we, like, pick back up into talking about it. Right. Um, I mean, there's certain, uh, I don't think there's any other musical thing that I could talk about because every, I think every music thing that I like, or most of them, he's, Costello is like patient zero for me liking that music. There were some things that I liked before, but, um, it would be, so I'm trying to think it would probably be either something to do with comics. I could probably talk about Charles Schultz and Peanuts. Right. Um, there's certain cartoonists like Carl Barks, or I, I could probably do one where I talked about Life in Hell, Matt Groening's comic strip. You know what's so funny is that Kevin Hines did an episode about Don Rosa. Yeah, who is the who is the uh, yeah Don Rosa was a guy who um, Carl Barks created Uncle, Uncle Scrooge and did all these great decade plus worth of comics that are now being recollected by Fantagraphics in, in uh, volumes that I highly recommend. Checking out. If you like DuckTales, Carl Barks is the guy who invented the stories that DuckTales adapted. Um, so if you like DuckTales, you probably will love Carl Barks because DuckTales is fine. It's nice. It's a good kids show. But it really is just 
scratching the surface of how cool those stories are. Karl Marx's stories were actually like, if you imagine that DuckTales was as good as like the first 10 years of The Simpsons, yeah. that's what Karl Marx is like. Because it was also, it wasn't just the adventure aspect that was part of it. It was also a very, he was very much a social satirist. Like, right. Duckburg was like Springfield. Right. In that, like, people were, there was mob mentality. People were uh, susceptible to any dumb fad. Right. Uh, people would riot at the drop of a hat. It was just kind of like an automatic, um, it was just such a mirror of, like, American uh, consumerism and... Uh, um, vanity and all, you know. Uh, but Don, yeah, Kevin Hines did one about Don Rosa, who's basically the guy who, even though his style is not Disney at all, he he almost he draws more like Robert Crumb than like a Disney cartoonist. But he basically <clears throat> he basically was like the next generation of like he took Barks's legacy and just like his whole career is about honoring Barks's legacy. Right. But also he's also really funny and he makes it really fun in his own way. Um. Yeah. So when I heard that, I was like, "Well, that's one that Connor could have done, but he didn't do." I could still I, do Carl Barks because they only talked a little bit about Carl Barks. But I've also, I've had my run on that show. I think it would be selfish for me to have a third bite at the apple because I walked what, in what on was your first one. The first one was Elvis Costello. The 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 second one was Dan Klein was talking about Kurt Vonnegut's The Sirens of Titan, which is one of my favorite books and probably my favorite Kurt Vonnegut book. Right. And I was just coming by. I had just been to Japan. And I was coming, right. staying the night in L.A. before, uh, right, right, right. before going to uh, San Diego for the Gethard Show Comic-Con right. show. And so I, I walked into Will's apartment as they were recording and was like, oh, great, I can talk about this, too. Um, but, yeah. Um, so now, do you want to talk more about Don't Get Me Started? Well, I was just trying to figure out what, what I would do. Yeah. Because I don't know what my... Well, earlier, I believe you had said you would want to do... Uh, Films from the pre-sound uh, era, right? Yeah, so, specific era of film. So basically, the first, the first, I would say, <coughs> fifteen to twenty years of cinema. I'm Do you want a seltzer or something? I'm fine right now. Okay. I'll take water in a bit, though. Um, I'm fascinated with the, the especially like basically like um, the sort of arms race between the Lumiere brothers and there's a, a German inventor in Edison and all the stuff that unfolded there was really interesting. Yeah. And the Americanized version makes it seem like Edison sort of invented something. Yeah. But was Edison a jerk? He was. He was. Is that one of those jerk. things we're kind of discovering now after like, is it one of those Christopher Columbus things where someone gets lionized for a long time and then at a certain point everyone's like, okay, let's take a deep breath. This guy was an asshole. I believe that. I think it's, uh, I don't think he did anything. He's not on the Columbus level. I don't. Maybe I. I don't know much about Edison's personal life. Um, mm -hmm. But I've been trying to do as much research into the because there's actually not that much information about those first. Right. So it's basically like 1894 to 1905 is sort right. of when cinema all came to be. Um, but basically, Edison was a doubter of film and only started getting into it once these actual creative interesting people sort of Edison I, I liken to like I don't know what would be uh, what would be a modern a good modern Michael Eisner <laughs> no, no Edison would be like almost like a not a Steve Jobs like he was an inventor a money maker someone right. who wanted to produce stuff that made money 
Yeah. And so if something he didn't he if he didn't think there was a market for something, I don't think he would believe in it and I don't think he would pursue it. And so he was a big doubter of early film and then when it started becoming popular, he quickly just washed everybody else out of the market. Right. And he was actually the first um sort of like film pirate because um Lumiere Brothers he did this a little bit too and then he did this to George Melies to a certain extent yeah which was he illegally distributed all of their stuff and flooded the market with it so that they went out of business ugh I don't know so I think uh, there's a whole story there and not that not that much documentation of it um Mm -hmm. so I, I I've been trying to I've been trying to dive very deep into that lately um but I was always like and trying to figure out what I would talk about if I were ever on that podcast. I mean, I don't think that topic's going to be taken by anybody else. Uh, do, you, do you have on your radar anybody else that you think, ooh, they're really into this too? No. Well, the, the other one that I think I could do that's a little bit more um, inviting mm-hmm. is track and field, professional track and field. Because I think professional track and field is actually really interesting. And there's so many things that I want to stories and things and things that if you describe in small ways the 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 world of track and field to people that yeah it becomes engaging and interesting and then you immediately have this entry point into watching televised track and field and it being interesting so that's one that I feel like I could do as well yeah I mean oh I, okay yeah finish what you're saying what well I was gonna say so. Your Elvis Costello thing yeah. got me doing this thing recently. The Bowie thing. Yes. Yeah. So Connor's fascinated with Elvis Co- fascination with Elvis Costello and encyclopedic knowledge made me because I'm a huge David Bowie fan, but I have never taken a journey chronologically through his career. I've sort of like, as a lot of people, picked up the things here and there and pieced it together. Yeah. But I wanted to get like the full effect of it. So what I've been doing is I have been doing all the research starting chronologically from the first thing he ever recorded, David Bowie, and going through and purchasing the uh, universally or critically lauded best recordings or only available recordings of all of his work, starting from the first thing he recorded to the most recent thing. Yeah. And purchasing it and listening to it, like, each, each element for, like, a month, and then I'll move on to the next thing. So I'm currently, like... Uh, four albums in to David Bowie's career. Yeah. And I'm just piecing through it. Because basically there's, he has a new album coming out that he just released. Some- what did you think of the, the song that's been released from that? I'm really excited by it. Yeah. Um, he's really, he's moved away from the like the like 1970s sort of like more like songy hit stuff that he used right. to do. Yeah. And into a more introspective sort of like um, almost like a, a a more artistic wash of where he is but what that's been in recent years has been like a little bit more morose and a little bit more um, like his, his album right before this one was the more acoustic it was definitely had like a tinge of sadness to it and like this new album, I think, is really interesting because it feels like it's a return to. It's, I think it's a return to 
his more expressive, introspective, like artistic vision. Yeah. More so than just the emotional outpouring of yeah him as a performer. So I think there's there's just a lot of elements that feel more like old Bowie in this, which I like. Kind of who are you texting? So I'm uh, capturing a photo, but I'm also listening to what you're saying. Why well, just see you on your phone and then laughing at? I'm laughing at what you're saying. Oh, what's? Or I'm just smiling at the idea. I was thinking of the image in the video. Some of the images in the video are disturbing, but also funny to me. Oh, and the well, new song isn't it directed by Duncan Jones? I don't know who's directed by. It looked like it was directed by Duncan Jones. Yeah, it might not be his son. That it definitely feels like it's Bowie is doing exactly what he wants to do. Yes, there's no there's no sense when you watch that video and hear that song of like him trying to do what he thinks people are looking for. No, not at all. <clears throat> there certainly was like not like how long is that song? Ten minutes. Ten minute song. Um, there's not like it's the type of thing that if a if a new artist wanted to do that, the advice would probably be like don't do that. Like do a shorter version of this, or you know, like you yeah. can see someone saying. But uh, I think he's going to end up doing very well with this new record. I think so. Just precisely because he's pursuing... I mean, it's amazing how much taking the time off, even though there's part of me that's like, oh, I feel like we do lose... Whenever an artist like that takes the time off, part of me does. Like, I'm drawn to prolific artists. And for someone who for so long was so prolific... Those big breaks, on the one hand, it, like, builds the excitement. Like, if Bowie had been putting out an album a year for the last decade, right? probably no one would give a shit about this album or the last one. Right. And because he took the break, it's he gets eyeballs on some unusual work. Well, so he released last year. Um, yeah, The Last Day. The Last Day. Yeah. And then the only thing that he released before that was in 2000... <sighs> 2004. What was that? Reality. Yeah, Reality was last thing. And he toured with that, and that was his last tour, right? Yes, that I got to go to. Oh, you got to see that? I went Where? To, uh, I saw that at Rosemont Theater in Chicago, which is a small venue. Wow. Like, it's not like a giant arena. It's like a small... It's like a bit, you know, it's a double-layer theater with a little thing, but it's like a pretty small, intimate venue. Um... And that is one of my favorite. That was my 16th birthday present for my dad is that he and I went to that concert together. And um, what was really cool about it was that um, it's Bowie and his voice is still amazing. And at one point he did the thing where he he just didn't sing through the microphone. And so like you're just hearing his voice naturally, you know, like from his mouth to your ears. Yeah. Which is like a pretty amazing... Just hearing the natural... Well, just like there's something about that. Because so often you hear mus musicians, it's there's some middleman. It's the musician... It's coming out of a speaker. Coming out of a speaker. Coming in a out different of a part of the room. Coming out of a thing. Yeah. And when you're at a concert, it's coming out of an amp, whatever it is. So there's something very wonderful about the idea that David Bowie can be making a sound and those sound waves are going right from his mouth to my ears. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that was an amazing experience. Oh, and so um, the Chicago Museum of Contemporary Art, 
they did a whole thing where they had they have this big Bowie exhibit that was really amazing, which I I believe they took that is in London, but I hope they bring it to New York at some point. It is spectacular, but at a certain point they have at the end this thing where it's this giant multimedia thing where you yeah. walk through and your headset changes based on where you're standing and it's really amazing. And there's this one thing where you go in this room at the end and they have these um, rear projectors on every wall. So you walk in and you feel like you're sort of like in this concert surrounded by footage of stuff. And on one half of the room is his is him performing in like the 70s during yeah. like a big tour. And then the other half is the song synced up of him performing that same song live during the reality tour. Yeah. And so it was really cool. I went to that exhibit with my family and so it was cool being in that room standing amongst footage from David Bowie's reality tour right. that I saw with my dad. <coughs> That's great. So anyways. Um, and Bowie's first album is so different than like going oh, through these yeah. chronological things. It almost feels like it almost feels like uh, something out of uh, I'd almost liken it to like when you see these like uh, like a fake fake uh, music mockumentary or mockudrama like like Walk Hard or something where like right. the first album was like this or like in Spinal Tap where you see like their first album they're like a different sound a different artist or something right well that's almost I feel like Bowie was one of the things that they're sort of making funny of in that is because like his first album he had like Elvin and the Chipmunk style effects right there's this one song called The Laughing Gnome where I don't know if you ever heard it. Yeah, no, I've heard the first album. It feels much more almost like he's positioned, like it wouldn't have taken much for him to become a novelty artist. There's a theatricality. Yes. Not, I, in, a, not in the avant-garde sort of theatrical way that he's always been theatrical, but... Well, there are, are, there are a couple songs that are that. So there's some songs that are like this like novelty, like The Laughing Gnome, where it's him singing then a laughing gnome. It's like, oh boy, blah, 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 like singing yeah. back to him. Then there's a few songs that are like, oh, this is the boy to come. And then there's a few songs that tap into that sort of like dark. Like there's a song, Dear Mr. Gravedigger. Yeah. Where it's the song starts and you hear rain. And then you hear the sound of like a shovel in dirt. And it's just him singing like, dear Mr. Gravedigger. And he like has his fake cold. Yeah. And he's like sneezing and coughing during. He's like playing this character. Yeah. And it's very off mood for the, from the rest of the album. Yeah. Um, but it's very interesting. It's Maids of Bond Street is on that first sound, right? Uh, I, so there's two versions of that original album. There's one that I don't believe has Maids of Bond Street, and then I believe there's one that does. Where were they for different territories? Yes, I believe so. Okay. Because Ma Maids of Bond Street, I remember that one almost sounding like it could have been like the opening number for like a Broadway musical. Yes, I mean uh, there's a lot of things that feel. Um, here I'll. I think it'll be funny. I'll just read aloud also the uh, David Bowie, his first album. That's the song titles? Yeah. Um, okay. Uncle Arthur, Sell Me a Coat, Rubber Band, Love You Till Tuesday, There Is a Happy Land, We Are Hungry Men, When I Live My Dream, Little Bombardier, Silly Boy Blue, Come and buy me... Come and buy my toys. <laughs> Join the gang. She's got medals. Made of Bond Street. Please, Mr. Gravedigger. Uncle, and then the mono version of all those. And then the Laughing Gnome, 
uh, the gospel according to Tony Day. Uh, Did you ever have a dream? Let me sleep beside you. Karma Man. London by Tata. What's that? London. Is that London and then by like goodbye and then Tata? London by Tata. London by Tata. Yeah, it's very much like... (laughs) Insane. Yeah. But so, in his second album, Space Oddity, which they have released... It's called Space Oddity, but they just re-released it back in the day as Bowie again. But he tr- he's going a lot more towards like the folk aesthetic of things, which is very interesting. Yeah, it's a lot folkier and a lot like he wanted to be a folk artist more than he wanted to be a rock and roll artist. Yeah, and I mean you can hear that like in like early Lou Reed demos or things like that, where like there are various points where I mean Costello's first record is kind of like that a little bit. Like it's right. a, it's a little bit closer uh, than Bowie's to being like fully formed but you can hear like he's trying to sing a little bit more like this where he's got like almost hitting an American inflection harder and he always talks about that album in terms of like he can hear that he's trying to sound like John Prine or Randy Newman or people that he was like right uh, like there's that thing of of, uh, and Costello writes about this in his book where he's like you sort of find your style by trying and failing to imitate the people you like, and then you end up with something good that is like a failed imitation, but it's successful in the other way that's closer, and that's how you like develop who you are as an artist. Yeah, and I think there's Bowie folk and blues, and there's definitely (coughs) both of those are a huge part of it, and his songs are a lot more like these like faux politics that like... Yeah. There's a version of... Because I think Bowie still kept the sort of political bent in a lot of stuff he did, but instead of like just telling you, it's sort of like he would show you. So like later, Bowie was like him pushing boundaries and saying stuff and having these emotions rather than these early albums where he's like yeah singing about politics. And it's like Bowie, this isn't your thing. Come on, right, man. right. It's really interesting. Yeah, um, it's sort of the same thing that like like Dylan got tired of it real quick. Yes, like Dylan basically has one real protest album. And then his next album's all personal songs. And then then even beyond that, he's like, no, I'm going to go enigmatic. Like, he, he, not that he wasn't already a little bit enigmatic, but there's a point where it's just clear that he's, like, not satisfied by doing it. I mean, even though he'd return to it every now and then for, right. like, an occasional cause or something like that. But uh, it is interesting when you look at the way early artists work. You see them, like, trying stuff and then being like, hmm. For whatever reason, like, uh, I got to try something out. You know, like, you see them bending and shifting. Well, then Bowie got into drugs and all this stuff that, like, really fucked him up. Mm -hmm. Like, what's really interesting is right now I'm on Man Who Sold the World. And, like, there's all these, all the musicians that were his band on this, sort of, like, there's a lot of complaints that Bowie wasn't as involved in the songwriting, that they'd come with the songs, and then he'd, like, just sort of, like, roll into the studio and, Mm -hmm. like, make up lyrics to them. Yeah. And Bowie contends that that's not true because if you look at the songs, they're very Bowie-esque. But right. 
there is this sense that like things start going downhill. He sort of got involved in his relationship, and I think that's when like drug start stuff starts beginning. Yeah. So I don't know. So it's just interesting to hear. So I've been going through step by step and trying to get into all that stuff. Um. So that was a long way of describing the Christmas gift that I've brought Connor. Yeah. So, uh, and this has been mentioned in an earlier one because you gave this to me, but it, uh, I you, gave this to a year ago. You revealed it to me, and what it is is it's an it's an ad. Would this be for a TV guide? Yes, it was yeah. for a TV guide. Boy, TV guide was bigger than I kind of remember it. Yeah, like size wise. Yeah, but this is an ad for the Days and Nights of Molly Dodd, um, and I believe this would be season two uh, because it says season premiere following Cheers, great time slot. Yeah, good golly, Ms. Molly is back. And it has the reviews, um, a very special series, Dreamy, Fresh, Irresistible, says the Los Angeles Times. Uh, United Media Enterprises says, A Wonder, a sort of weekly Woody Allen movie. New York Post says, A different, daring new program. And Los Angeles Herald Examiner says, One smart, witty, dramatic comedy. Uh, On NBC, home of the Summer Olympics. And this is a, a February... Is that right? I don't know what it means here. Um, no, I think this would have been... I don't know when, if, whether it would have been a, a fall premiere or a winter premiere, but thank you very much. This is so great. Um, and I, th- I it, got it for Connor a year ago and then was only able to get it framed recently. this year. Yeah. So last year's gift was the this year's thing. Gift. This year's gift is the frame. Exactly. Um, and I do have... Uh, bootleg DVDs of the full series. You have those. I have them. I almost got you those. Um, From that guy in... It's like some some guy in England does them. Oh, really? It's something. It, it's There's an online site, and there's this one guy that does them all. Yeah. Um, because they're not available anywhere. They have... There was... They have the DVD called... What is it? Like, Several Nights of Molly Dodd or something? Is there? An official one? I'm pretty sure it's official, but I think it's only a couple episodes. I don't know that. I'm unaware of that completely. I've never seen a... Really? I've never seen a a VHS or a DVD release of it. I know... And this makes me really mad because it's the way... I mean, we live in an age where copyright is a very... It's a very weird age as far as, like, the rights to things. Yeah. Because um, it feels like there's the letter of the law. Right. And then there's various ways in which... The spirit of the law, it feels very fluid and it feels like it's a lot of gray areas. There was a YouTube channel a couple of years ago where someone uploaded every episode of The Days and Nights of Molly Dodd to YouTube. Right. And I started watching them that way, started re-watching them that way, and then all of a sudden they were gone. But obviously he had enough time to upload... Uh, how many seasons was it even? I think it was four seasons, but it might be five. Um, um, he had enough time to upload in in half. They were in half, so there were like a lot of uh, videos. Did you um, contact them to get the files? Uh, no, I bought the bootleg DVDs instead. Right. But it made me... What annoyed me about it is that I do get annoyed by... And I'm sure there's another side to this, and this is just this is just me venting from my side as a consumer of art. Inconsistent copyright. Well, it's the way that there are companies that own things that are just just to 
right. be prisoner in their vault and they're never going to do anything with them. Sometimes because they can't, they don't want to spend the money on music rights, so they, it is complicated. Right. Um, and they don't want to also... I understand why there's no demand like for... Like years. What? Like the Wonder Years. Yeah, but at least with the Wonder Years, you'd be like, there is some de- demand. You just got to put the effort in to like make it happen. So like, right? But that was the music right stuff. Yeah. So you need a company like that's why a company like Shout Factory has done a lot of good work as far as right. doing the work to get certain shows out, uh, and in some cases having to like do a lot of work to replace the music and everything. Um, yeah, Days and Nights of Molly Dodd was sixty-five episodes over five seasons. Um, half-hour show, single camera in an age where th- that was not the norm. They actually called it a dramedy because there wasn't a way of sort of describing right. that kind of show back then. Now they would just say it was a sitcom right. because it would be like 30 Rock of the Office. It wasn't wacky like that, but it was like yeah. they sort of had to give it a new name because it didn't look like Cheers. It didn't look like Night Court. Yeah. Um, but it sucked that this, this guy put all these episodes up so people could see them. And at some point, whatever corporation owns the rights to them was just like, you can't have this on YouTube. We own it. So it was all taken down by the copyright claim so that it could just this work of art could just gather dust in some vault somewhere because they, there's not enough of an audience. And of course, you can't grow the audience without people having a way of discovering it. Well, there's this annoying thing in copyright, which is like forfeiture of copyright under so basically if you don't protect your copyright on something right. you basically forfeit it which that, is like happy birthday or whatever where it's just right. like it's like listen guys you don't own it because everyone sings it right good night although with with happy birthday it was that they were able to actually kind of prove like you don't own this yes exactly. they were able to actually show enough things to be like there's enough ambiguity in who wrote this yes uh, that's that, true yeah but there's, but for for sure, a part, of, a part of it is also, I mean, they would, they were somewhat litigious, but if something, be, it's like the Kleenex thing, right? Is right. Like, you can lose your trademark if it becomes generic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and if you don't, if you don't attempt to protect it, then basically, and, like, well, you didn't protect it, so it's just out there, so you can't blame everybody. I'm hopeful. I always hope. I, I mean, it's too late. We're past the era where I think it, there maybe was an era where a DVD release would have been possible. Now we're at, we're at a different era where things that qualify for a physical release, they're not, people aren't just trying to dump all their shows out. Right. It's got to be something that you can draw a following that will be that the kind of collector. But you could say a Netflix release of it. Yeah, you could get a Netflix, you could go on CISO, you could go on any of these like streaming platforms. Right. There's some way to make a deal. Now, maybe well, it's complicated. The, there's no overhead with that kind of stuff for them. So the problem the problem is like making a physical release. Yeah, you just end up with a lot of physical product in a warehouse that they don't sell. Right, and basically to get, to get, to get the price down where your margin makes you, sense, ha- you're trying to print a million, you know, 20,000 yeah. Molly Dodd things. When all, the only person that wants it is kind of ratless. Have you... Have you seen that thing about the reason they're not canceling TV shows anymore? No. That there was, I don't know if there's anything that's been canceled, but they were like, wait a second, how come no shows have been canceled so far this year? Uh, and the reason for it is that they're saying that, um, or one reason is that if they cancel a show, then that show gets known as a canceled show. But if they just make 12 episodes of a show then they can sell it to Netflix or Amazon or someone as just like, yeah, this episode had a limited run. Right. So n- not canceling it, but just letting, just not renewing it and letting it 
play out means like, well, maybe we can sell this like six episode series to Netflix and maybe we'll make some money off streaming. Yeah. Um, I really wish that Days and Nights of My Dad and shows like that because I don't know if I haven't watched all of it. I don't know how well it holds up to a modern eye. Like I may be watching a little bit through my my uh, tint of nostalgia for it. Right. But I'll bet you it holds up better than some shows that that are that do have that do develop an audience now. Like I would venture that a lot of people for whom Sex and the City didn't cut it. I bet a lot of those people might like Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. I've never, it's a different I've tone. never seen Day, Day, Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. There's no reason you would have. because my, my first time ever seeing what, quote unquote, Molly Dodd looked like was in purchasing that. Yeah, I mean, she, um, she's been on, she was on Fringe. She had a recurring role on Fringe as uh, Nina Sharp, the head of Massive Dynamic. Uh, she was on an episode of Person of Interest recently, not too long ago. Um, so she's still very much a working actor in New York. I had this thought recently. Yeah. Not recently. Why did I say recently? I had this thought on the subway on the way here today. Yeah. I passed it, and there was an episode for a show called The Colony uh-huh. that I haven't watched any of. I have no idea what it is. Right. But it looks like one of the main characters is Sawyer from Lost. Oh, okay. And I realized I was I realized that it must be near impossible for the cast of Lost to get cast in other things. Because they're so identified because as those characters? they're so identified as those characters from Lost because it was such a... Co- like, think of, like, the fact that I, I'm just like, yeah, Sawyer. Sawyer from Lost. From Lost. Or Hurley. A lot of those people haven't worked that much since that show because even when they show up in small character roles, yeah. your mind is being like, oh, that's Ben Linus. Yeah, that's although I will Lost. say now, uh, I'm such a fan of person of interest. Right. Uh, which is another J.J. Abrams-produced show, that I actually have a hard time thinking of him as Ben Linus anymore. Interesting. I have a uh, person of interest. Person of interest is maybe one of the most underrated shows on TV, I, I think. see a villain in that. No. But there, is, there are some shady things about him. Well, see, that's the thing, is that I, there's a part of that also wonders, in casting people like that, if the character has to be somewhat similar... Right. Like, if you made Ben Linus the happy-go-lucky hero of something, yeah. everyone would be like, no, but there's something shady. I know there's something shady about him because well, in the back of their mind, they're like, he's Ben Linus. Yeah, well, and even before he was on Lost, though, I never watched the show, but he was sort of notorious for playing this real sicko killer on The Practice. Yes. He had, like, a run on that so that when he showed up in Lost, we were like, yeah, this guy's sick. Right. You know what I mean? Like, And in Lost, his role was that he would appear just randomly in right. everyday lives of the cast of right. the other people on the island. Yeah. And so when when you'd see him on other shows, it was like, oh no. I remember, in fact, I ran into this, I ran into him on the street once back when I was working at Troma. Yeah. He lived like on the same block so he could get his groceries. Right. And he walked by and I remember he walked by and someone that worked with us went, oh no, it's you! And point, pointed at him as he's getting groceries and he sort of like rolled his eyes and like was like, oh. Because I could tell that like, that was at the the peak of Lost also. So I think his day-to-day was people going like, Oh, no. Oh, no. Right. It's, why are you here? Because the sign of him being there in the show is always, always causing trouble. Yeah. Exactly. Um, person of interest is Jonathan Nolan created it, who's the guy who wrote uh, – Christopher Nolan's brother who wrote uh, the story that Memento is based on, co-wrote. Right. 
Inception. I think I don't know if he co-wrote all of the Bat- Batman movies that Nolan did, but he's always collaborating with him. And the show in its first season is very much like a procedural, and it's basically about um, uh, uh, Michael Emerson plays this guy named Harold Finch. Michael Emerson, aka Ben Linus. Ben Linus, um, and he he basically is this like computer genius who invented a computer system after 9-11 for the government right. that could see everything and could detect um, relevant threats. It was tapped into... It was an AI that was... Uh, once they put it online, he, he like taught it a certain morality, but it was very hard because it was like, what if it's faced with having to make choices where it could save a thousand lives by killing three people or something, you know? Right. So it's a very complicated moral show in terms of like exploring the ethics of an AI like supercomputer that looks at everything. And he it's basically like it can see any surveillance camera, any phone camera, like it would be looking at you through your phone right now, it would be listening uh through my computer microphone, you know, and when he gave this system to the government, he noticed that there were um and you learn a lot of it similar to Lost uh, through flashback. Right. Um, you learn a lot about his story of how he realized that there were deaths that the system, according to the, like, looking for... It was just looking to prevent big terrorist plots. Right. But if you were going to uh, kill your friend or something like that, it would. It was such too small, it would be, you'd be an irrelevant threat. Right. Because it was just going to be a... It was too small to be, like, a big concern. Right. And so... When he saw that this was what the system was doing, he created like a backdoor, a secret like backdoor for the system that would send him numbers when there was a threat. And he hires this um, former like black ops military guy to help him save people. And it's basically like they get these numbers and they don't know whether it's a perpetrator or a victim, but they just have to figure out. Like, what's happening? Is this guy going to get killed by his boss? Or is this guy going to, like, hurt his wife? Or, you know, what? And they... So it starts off as a real procedural... Right. Where it's like every week they save somebody. But over the course of the first four seasons, they develop these arcs that have to do with the ramifications of what happens when there's, the, there's this supercomputer. Right. And it it actually sort of, like, tricks you into watching this kind of, like, cyber thriller kind of this heady sort of science fiction show right. that at first was disguised like we're a, we're a CBS procedural. Yeah. We rescue, we solve crimes every week. And then eventually it gets to the point where you're like, oh no, this is actually like dealing with the ethics of uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, right. It's a really good show. I would actually, say... you've sort of sold me on it a little bit. I might check it out now. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of episodes because it's a network show, and it takes a while to get through, but they're also re- it's also a really good show at developing, like, a character will show up, and you'll be like, that's an interesting character, and then that character will weave its way into being, like, a recurring person that will pop up from time to time. Right. Which is something I like a lot, and particularly in network shows that have long runs when you have, like, these, like, oh, good, this character's back. We didn't think we'd see him again. Yeah. Um, I'll have to check that out. It's fascinating to me thinking about Lost and what... The way the show Lost has affected television, because I knew when I was watching Lost, I'm like, I doubt I would ever rewatch Lost as a show. Yeah. Um, and I knew while I was watching, I was like, I'm so glad to be in on this ride while it's happening, 
because to me it was like a TV event. Yes. And I'm like, I know the ending to this was not going to be satisfying to people. I would also say Lost was the first time ever that as a society, the concept of binge watching existed. Right. Because what it was, was it was a TV event. And if you were not up to date... You had to get up to date. You had to get the DVDs and you had to get up to date. And I myself, my first experience ever binge watching something was that I was at NYU film school. Yeah. People loved Lost. I, there was one person, Zach Goldberg, who was obsessed with it. Yeah. He was like, just take the DVDs. He's like, watch the first episode. Right. I was like, I'm not interested. He's like, he's like, watch the first episode. Yeah. And just know that the second episode is there waiting for you. I said, okay. I put it in. I remember watching on my little dorm room, freshman year dorm room desk, watching episode one of Lost on my laptop. Yeah. And being so obsessed with it. And I had like a class to go to. And I was like. I need to watch the second episode. Yeah. I went to the class and came back and immediately watched it. And I just watched through. And I remember my roommate, uh, Corey, was, you know, he was not a film school kid. He was like a business school, like Long Island, like sports and business, you know, that kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, And he was like, guy, what are you doing? Like, what? You're watching this show nonstop, dude. Like, what could this possibly be? And I was like, you have to watch this. Trust me. Yeah. And... I gave him the DVD. I did the exact same. He's like, he's like, he's like, guy, I, I don't want to watch it. I'm not interested. I don't like that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah. I was like, just watch the first episode and just yeah. know you can watch the next episode right away. I come home. He's watching Lost. I, I, in fact, what it was was I. He put it on. And he's like making. It, he's like, I'm gonna watch it. Oh, this is so. All oh, the plane's gonna crash. Here we go. And I went and like got food and I came back and he's literally like edge of his seat leaning over. Yeah. And then he went and watched the entire season that night. And then our ritual became, we had a tiny little, before, you know, this was back when you have like those CRT, you know, like big TVs. Right. Know? So he had a little one that was like a, you know, 10, you know, 10 inch screen or whatever that was up on his uh, dresser. And we would like every week it would come on TV. Yeah. And we would both run through the, I remember being winter, we'd like run through the freezing cold to get our like. Yeah. dinner from the dining hall and then run back because we we're scared we we're going to miss the first minute of it. Yeah. We'd sit down and like like giggling children like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. He made his computer background a, a photo of Evangeline Lilly. Like it was like we became obsessed with Lost. Yeah. And I mean, how did you feel about the ending? I was fine with the ending. I was, I was, I, but I was also never, I knew so early on that I'm like, just enjoy the ride of this. And I also was like, they are better at posing questions than they are at answering them. Right. Uh, so I was just like, got to just enjoy the mystery of this and the twists and turns. And when they would have an unsatisfying payoff, sometimes I would be like, I was still like, it was worth it for the, but how did you feel when you got to the end of it? Well, I never got to the end of it. You never finished lost. Never finished lost. Jesus. JD, we've talked about lost before. and I didn't know this. Because what happened was um, I binge-watched whatever it was, like three seasons to get up to date. And I did. mackerel. And then I think it was the second to last season was the one that I watched live, which is the one where they start having all of the white flashes and every character has died. The sideways. The sideways. There's just all this stuff going on. It became so... Like I remember at one point just like, a side flash and people are bleeding from the ear and it was just like what it got so convoluted uh-huh. 
that and the joy of waiting every week to watch the show with commercials right. was not the same as the joy of watching it through. And right. so what what turned into if an episode wasn't good, you could just it'd be gone watch in the half next an hour. One, yeah. Exactly. Turned into I'd have to wait a week for another disappointing thing of this convoluted story that I just fell off it. And then when it got to the end, everyone was like Mm, the ending didn't do it, and then it's like the same thing happened with Battlestar Galactica. Is that well? I started binge watching Battlestar Galactica when it was on. Yeah, and then it ended, and literally, like everyone I knew was like, "Ah, eh, turn back now!" Like you've seen the best of it; it gets worse from here on out, and you're not gonna be happy. How far in Battlestar did you get? I don't even remember at this point. But yeah, it was like. Battlestar also made it confusing because Battlestar was one of the first shows that started splitting its seasons into halves and kind of referring to them as the same season. Right. And that, but they'd be like months between them. So you're like, what season are we on? Like, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you how many seasons there were of that show because they started just doing half seasons that felt like full seasons. Yeah. Uh, Battlestar is a rare example of a show that starts out so great. And then they have the new Caprica thing where they're on the where it's kind of like a Gulf War parable. Right. And probably some of the best TV dealing with how people felt about the, the murky morality of the Gulf War. Right. And then in that same season, it goes bad. Like right. the first half of the season is like perfect peak of the show, great. And then by the end of the season, they're quoting Bob Dylan songs, and it, the, not, nothing means anything anymore. Yeah. And so like I feel like that was two shows. Yeah, pretty much back to back, where I felt like I got on the ride, and the people that had got off that were walking, you know, like you're on the ride, and they're like walking on the exit the other way. They're like, "No, just get off now." Yeah, get off for the next stop. I really did feel like, um... and lost. It was honestly my own volition, though, is that I, I got so frustrated with that the one season that I just had to. I had to yeah. stop watching. It's it's weird to, to hear that because I I never binge watched Lost. I watched every episode as it right. aired, and uh, I can definitely see the appeal of the way the binge watching washes away the bad episodes. Yeah, um, like Nikki and Paolo. We've talked about this before. That's the third best episode of the show. It's the worst episode of the show. I thought you agreed with me by the end of me arguing last time. No, I didn't. You, I thought you felt like you agreed with me. No, I feel best like, ep- I feel like I understood where you came from. I, I, my, I think the best episode... No, the worst episode... Sh- I'm sorry. The worst episode wasn't Nicky and Paolo. What was it? It was the tattoo. Yeah, everyone knows that. Um, that was the most frustrating. Because you can't even make an argument for why that episode needed that to happen. That was the most worst, frustrating. I can make a, a coherent argument for why Nicky and Paolo is fundamental to the thesis of the show. That it is like the flip side of... The, my three favorite episodes, I think I've said, are uh, Walkabout... Uh, followed by uh, the the first forty nine days, or the first forty eight days, the uh, the Tailies backstory episode, right? And then Nikki and Paolo uh, uh, expose, right? That be the third, fourth episode would probably be the pilot. Um, the and tattoo was insane. The what? Tattoo was insane. Tattoo was insane. It was just like no one wanted, to, like of all the mysteries that you wanted to solve, like that's not even a controversial opinion. Like I think even the showrunners, like yeah, we blew it. Yeah. Um, and uh, the. But the thing about, it's so insane that you didn't finish the last season, but I understand why when you change the rhythm of it, because I was like that, I, 
Well, the show's rhythm changed and my viewing rhythm changed, and it was too much change. Yeah. I mean, I knew my prediction was that the, what we were going to learn in the last episode, from like fairly early on, I said the last episode's basically going to be that we're going to learn that it's a magical island made of daddy magnets. That was okay. my story, because everyone had daddy issues and there was some weird magnetic thing happening. Right. And uh, it kind of didn't matter by the end of it. I, I liked the characters and I liked the vibe of the show. I was not angry at the end of it the way other people were because I was also like, what did you think was going to be explained? I, I, there, was, there was no way that there was going to be some actual answer. They'd, put, they'd, they'd, they'd thrown so many things at the wall that it was impossible, especially given the fact that some of the answers they'd given to things that weren't even mysterious were so unsatisfying. Like right. The classic one I think of was the great episode ending where Michael shoots Anna Lucia and Libby and then shoots himself in the arm. Right. And you're like, what? Yeah. Why would he, why would they make him do this? Because clearly they're making him do this. Right. I'm like, why would they ask him to do that? Right. And then later, Michael says to Ben Linus, you had me shoot them. You had me kill them. Why? And Ben Linus goes, I never, we never asked you to do that. That was your plan. I just asked you to deal with it. Or something along those lines that you're like, wait, what? Right. And you're like, there's no way that was Michael's plan. Like, like he right. also even was like, why did you make me do that? And I'm like, they didn't explain it. Because before you were like, I can't wait to find out to what end they had Michael do that. And exactly. when you find out it was just kind of this weird miscommunication, it's like, oh, that's like a non-answer to a mystery like that you could have solved. Right. Or like the polar bears. Yeah. Where it was like, that was one of the great moments of the show was like, wait, those aren't just bears. Those are polar bears. Why are there polar bears here? Right. Oh, my God. There's some... There's some weird environmental, like, natural thing happening that's wrong. That's, like, there's some North Pole thing going on. And instead it was like, oh, no, they tested on polar bears. There's also a thing. And it was like, why? There's also a thing that sometimes would happen on the show where I would feel a little bit dumb. Where it was almost like a skill that's very good in improv, which is that someone says something that makes no sense. And then the next person is like, of course, that's the way it works here. Yeah. And you just create, because you're building the reality together. There were times when, like, Jack would say, someone would say something like, we have to blow up the island. And everyone would be like, yes. And I'd be like, wait, why? Why, are we, why do we have to blow up the island? I don't understand why that would, it'll set everything right. And I'll be like, wait, but what? Exactly. Why? And it would be like, someone would have a plan. It's like, we have to do this. We have to go kill that person. And, and you'd be like, wait a second, why? What will that solve? And there were times when it would just be frustrated by that. I'll segue this in because you know, like, I still think it's amazing that that show has had such an impact on the way shows are now. More even than the, its impact, its legacy as a show in itself, like a work of right. art, it's the fact that other shows feel so comfortable uh, kind of learning and applying those lessons, uh, including shows made by some of the same people, that person of interest adopts the flashback storytelling where you but that's also everything jj abrams does that's true and he did a little bit in alias a little bit but lost made, movies like everything but lost really made it um where like I'm part of for all the star wars flashbacks <laughs> part of the star trek didn't have any did they yeah they did they did um, not I mean, the, the beginning is but a flashback. I, I think there's a particular kind of flashback, though, because even in that flashbacks, but flashbacks being part of the, the fabric of the show's structure, where it's right. like something happened, a big thing happened five years ago, and we're going to give it to you in pieces 
over the course of seasons. I thought there was a little bit of that in Star Trek. I, I can't remember. Right. Star it's, Trek, my memory of it was more like it starts and then we flash to the future. That happens, but then I feel like, don't we flash back to him at the Academy doing the Kobayashi Maru over Maybe. and over Maybe. I think what I'm thinking of specifically, though, is like there's a, an ongoing mystery that yes. you, you're just... You could just do one flashback episode that tells it all. Right. But instead, it's like, no. Every, like You can be five seasons into a show and we're still finding out stuff that is crucial information about why things are the way they are. Exactly. Um, and I feel like it's more... It's, it made it more a natural element of the way you can make a show. It's not an unusual thing for a show to do that anymore. People aren't... Their minds aren't blown with it. It's like that's a, a form of storytelling exactly. now that's very common and casual. Um, I... Another show that you know I'm obsessed with, um, which just got both renewed and canceled at the same time, is The Leftovers, which is Damon Lindelof. How to get canceled? Um, they Well, they've renewed it for a final season. Which is sort of like um, great news, but also uh, it's great news in the sense that like you can do a final season, which I think is always preferable to a cancellation where a show just stops. Or it's like we didn't think it'd be the last episode or we kind of planned for it, but we had an idea for what it would be. Like it is nice to tell a showrunner because HBO has done that a couple of times. They've done it with The Wire where like The Wire was sort of like you guys get two more seasons, wrap it up. And... Um, Treme had that, where it's like you get a shortened fourth season to tie up all your stories. Um, and it's kind of like a humane way of putting down a show that's not a hit, but that you that it's respected as a work of art. That it's like, okay, this show is so well regarded that it it's almost like an artistic creative obligation to like, it, mu- it can't just be like abruptly yeah. pull the rug out from under. So it is like great news that it, the ratings keep getting worse and worse. Although I do think it's a show that people will... Be, like Lost, I don't know if people will be watching Lost 10 years from now, but I think people will be watching The Leftovers when I'm old. Interesting. Um, and one of the things The Leftovers does, and I think there's a weird narrative that I don't like. It's almost like I, I, I hate it in the sense of like it's almost like a backhanded kind of compliment. A big narrative is formed about The Leftovers, which is that somehow in season two it became a great show. I think it's a great show in season one. I think it's a great show in season two. And... I think they did do some cool stuff in season two that was like responding to things people didn't like. But in some ways, it was more just the things people liked the most about season one, they made those a bigger element of the show. Which is there are a couple of episodes in season one that just take one character's point of view and focus on that character, and those were the best episodes. So in season two, they were like, let's do that. The thing that The Leftovers does, it's very much like... It's not a fun adventure like Lost. Lost had that fun adventure, like it was almost like it could be like a Raiders of the Lost Ark type show. Right. In some ways. Leftovers doesn't have that. It's purely the sad side of Lost. Right. Because uh, the premise of it, based on the novel, is that 2% of the population gets raptured, and we don't know why. And it's not, there's no sense to the rapture. It's not like all the Christians got raptured. And we're like, oh, they were right. It's like there are child molesters who got raptured. There are people who are unequivocally like this woman was this kind, decent woman. Right. Uh, like there's, you can't find, a, the, and there's like weird things to the pattern. Like one of the details is that the, the entire cast of Perfect Strangers was raptured. And it's like, that's the that's one hilarious. thing. That's the one thing that they're like, why that? Like why of any TV show that ever existed, would 
all of the cast of Perfect Strangers got raptured. Weird. Um, and uh, and then there's a fun. Oh, pay- I really like this now. There's a fun payoff to part of that in season two because it's, it's something where it, you learn something else in season two that's kind of a fun callback to. That's just one little detail in season one. Right. But the thing that's great about the leftovers is. And I'm not going to say anything spoilery about the show because I don't want to spoil it. I think it's the discovery of what happens in the show is so great. But the premise of the show is that 2% of the population disappears and everyone's like, everyone doesn't know how to handle it. Because it's like, what is this thing we don't understand? It bursts a lot of people's lives wide open. There's like one character who her husband and children were raptured. She's the only one left. So it's like, ooh, that was like a rare thing. It's like that poor woman, like right. her family was taken. And, and, and there's like, do you get the sense that you're going to figure out why by the end? No. And this is what's great uh, about the show. This is what's is actually that what's great. No, this is what's actually great about the show. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll swear by this. This feels like that, that felt like a, a sketch response to like, no. really? This, this isn't going to no. be lost again? Like, do you feel like you're going to be the answer? No. And that's what's, gr- what's, and that's great, what's about. great about it. <laughs> no, but here's the thing. They were upfront about it, too. They're like, we are not going to explain uh, what, ha- what happened. No, but here's the thing that's great about the show is that <laughs> in some ways, it, it's no, honestly, honestly, I think you'll agree with me by the end of this. This show doesn't explain it in the same way that almost no other show, including every show you ever loved, explains why we are here. Like, sure. Law and Order never explains why the fuck humans exist. They're just, like, focused yeah. on, we got to solve these murders. But, but the entire premise of Law and Order isn't, like, no, but there's a why big, do humans exist? No, but there's a big mystery at the heart of Law and Order that we all just willfully ignore. It's not even a part of the show. No one thinks that Law and Order is about why humans exist. That's no, just part of the premise that they no do. But no one talks about it. And I Law know. and Order, there's not scenes where they're like... Hey, also, why do humans exist? I know, but... In the Leftovers, the premise of the show is that this specific thing happened that they're trying to figure out. No, but here's the thing is, we don't like to think about that question because it's such a big question. The great thing about that premise is 2% of the population disappears, and suddenly it's like, we need an answer to this question. We can't function without an answer to this question of what happened. But you could function with no answers to all of the equally big questions that existed before the 2% disappeared. So it's almost like this premise is like, uh, it wakes up the part of, of us as, as humans and as society that like, we're not constantly, most of us, freaking out right. all the time about like, why, why do we exist? You kind of settle into it. But like one small thing, 2%, 98% of the people are still here. 2% leave and suddenly it's like, it's, it's just like the tipping point. It's just like yes. it pushes everybody over the edge. And... The, the good news about no answers is it's about the questions and the way that some people figure out a way to move on and some people truly do not. Right. And it's, it is, what's great about The Leftovers is everything that was great about all those questions that got raised and lost yeah. and everything that was disappointing, sometimes crushingly so, about the fact that when the answers came, they were not the answers for the same reason that if Law and Order tried to answer those questions, they would also fail. If Law and Order for 10 episodes decided, you know what, we don't know why humans exist, we're going to try to figure it out, the ending would be like, ugh, it sucks. Well, I would say it'd be more like if Law and Order ended with the same killer has been killing all of these people, and then 10 episodes later, they were like, 
Well, we don't know who that killer is, so uh, let's move on to the next. Like, if they just but it would it would almost be like being disappointed in waiting for Gatto that at the end we didn't Gatto didn't show up and be like, "Hey guys, sorry I was late. Uh, my car broke down." Sure, you know, like that would not be a satisfying sure. answer but that, but that's, to an existential drama, right? Uh, but I don't think Lost an existential drama. I think Lost made a lot of promises. But also, waiting for. Waiting for Godot didn't end with, like, an act didn't end with a close-up on a statue of three toes and dramatic music and someone going, why does it only have three toes? And basically looking at the audience and then at the end go, well, we didn't answer that. Yeah. Uh, but, this is, but this is why, and this is why Le- The Leftovers is different from Lost. Is I would say that The Leftovers, in some ways, I think The Leftovers is as good as the best parts of Lost because it does have I will say this narratively speaking Lost promised that they would answer those questions they did and Leftovers never promises that what you're saying is Leftovers doesn't promise it they don't promise that some people may get the impression that they'll assume that answers will come but there's nothing in there that they're like um, you're gonna anything they promise the answer to I think they have delivered the answer to because they'll set up little smaller mysteries as far as like why is this person doing that why is this happening Um, but I'd say The Leftovers is maybe the best example I can think of of a TV show learning from the previous TV show. Like, it is, it is like what was great about Lost. It's not trying to be the adventure show that Lost was, but it is trying to deal with the same way that uh, the same yearning that, that fueled a lot of Lost of, like, wh- wanting to find meaning in the world. Like, right. all the things that were, like, Locke versus Jack. Like, there's a character played by Christopher Eccleston on The Leftovers. Who's Christopher Eccleston? Christopher, Christopher Eccleston is a great British actor. You've doubtless, doubtless you've seen him in stuff. He yeah. was Doctor Who at one point. Okay. Um, he plays a preacher who um, is very much like the John Locke of The Leftovers. Right. Like, almost to the point where I'm watching this, I'm like, I wonder if Terry O'Quinn watches The Leftovers and is like, damn it, I wish I could be in this show. Right. Um and because like here's one thing that Leftovers does really well is like the ninth episode of season one flashes back to the day when all the people disappeared and you certainly learn all these things it's very much like oh that's why this was like this that's why this character was like this that's why this character joined a cult that's why this character became obsessed with this yeah and anything that is mysterious in the show in a mystical way is left that way, and I feel like the the show plays really upfront. I think it, I don't think the show cheats because Lost ultimately there were a few things that were like they didn't play fair sometimes. Like they would yes. set up a thing like when they did the we got to get back to the island, which was a great yeah. cliffhanger. But then when they show the scene of Jack talking to uh, Lily about. Uh, how Locke was dead. Sorry to spoil Lost. If you yeah. got this far into our podcast, it was bound but to happen. But also, you can't really spoil Lost. You can't it, now. It undo- well, also, it undoes everything that... Yeah. Any, and if, any Like, what Connor just said also isn't true to a certain extent. Yeah. But, then, but they don't say Locke died. They're like, Jeremy Bentham? And, they're t- and they only call him Jeremy Bentham in this private yeah. conversation they're having. And then you learn that that's an... Uh, 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 a, 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 an assumed name that Locke just adopted and it's like they wouldn't the only reason they're calling him that in this scene right. is so they don't tip the twist and so it's an un, it's like a cheat of a scene exactly. to do that and they did that a lot yes or, or more enough times that I got to the point where I was like 
oh, I know what they're like. I started to feel like burned by things like that, where I was like, they're just like, right. I had to like look past it. Leftovers doesn't do that. It's also uh, a lot of times in Lost, it was like, um, what's that? The sketch. Um, who? Which? What character? It's a character from something where they have bad news. Oh, it's Arrested Development. The bad news doctor. Oh, yeah. Doctor, uh, what was his name? Doctor, uh, he had a funny name. Played by Matt Walsh. No, Ian Roberts. Ian Roberts. Uh, that was, I think, the first time I ever noticed Ian Roberts. Like, when I first was doing UCB stuff, I'm like, oh, it's the hilarious doctor from Arrested Development. But, like, Lost would do that kind of thing where it'd be like, uh, like, you know, like, God, I gotta I'm sorry, up. we lost him. Yeah. Oh no. Oh, or like no. he's going to be all right, and it turns yeah. out he's lost his left hand. Exactly. Um, uh, um, but the leftovers. I'll tell you this. Uh, it's really. It's a show that makes me feel. I, I wrote an essay that where this was basically the the summation of after the first season, where I was like. Um, this this show makes me it hits me emotionally more than any other show that I can think of maybe ever in terms of like purely I and mean, part of it's the music the music's great it's a great and like a there's a score um um I think uh I'll find out um Dr. Fishman is the name of the character but I swear they give him another name like a uh uh a different name on the show that's like like an an insult. His doctor, Doctor Fishman. Um, but the music makes everything on it work. Um, but also, there's an actor. I think her name is Carrie Coons, who plays uh, uh, Nora Durst. Is the character on the show, and I think she's the coolest character and one of the best performances on TV. Like she's just she's just like she's the woman who her fa- whole family's lost. Right. But the character in such an in such a casual and convincing way, not in a TV way at all, is just like a badass character. Right. Um, and, uh, but I wrote this, I wrote this um, Tumblr post at the end of season one because I kind of felt like no one was talking about the show. And I was like, I got to talk about the show for a number of reasons. Uh, Dr. Wordsmith is what they call him at one point on the show. Dr. Right. Wordsmith. Uh, but he's Dr. Fishman is the actual character's name. Uh, and now allow me to get the leftovers uh, theme. Um, they changed the theme music after the people didn't like it in the first season. Max Richter is the name. Okay. Um, and here I'll play a little bit of what the music sounds like. Uh, it's kind of a little Philip Glassy sort of, a little bit like emotional. That's kind of like the music really gets me a lot. Yeah. That it's. Just makes these changes that I find very affecting. Like when something serious is happening to a character, or they're like realizing something. Uh, it's actually not a million miles away from the kind of music that uh, we picked for Terry Withers monologues and yeah. the Terry Withers mysteries. That it's kind of this like uh, makes everything seem a little bit important. Yes. Um, but so I wrote this big essay, and, and part of it was also that like uh, in, in season one, one of the writers on the show was Curtis Gwynn. So I was even going into it, I was like, oh, I, I hope this show is cool. Uh, and then it was like, oh, one of my like improv heroes from when I was taking classes at, at UCB in the first year, Curtis was like my top 
improv here. I would go see Death by Ruru every week, and he was like a, a rock star. I probably talked about it on this podcast before. And uh, he wrote a great episode. And But I wrote this, like, essay about it, and then before the se- second season started... And the first season, the first season theme is really, like, uh, gothic. Like, it, it's like this, almost like these shots of, like, a Sistine Chapel-type painting, like, depicting, like, the vanishing. And it's, like, really melodramatic, and the music is very, like, end-of-the-world symphonic music. And people hated it. I thought it was great. I thought the opening theme was, like... I, I, by the time I was in the third episode, I was like, it just got me in the zone for watching this show. Uh, and then they changed it in the second season to something that's almost shockingly different. It's this Iris Dement folk song that's very kind of like, everybody is wondering what and where they all came from. And it's this very kind of like right. jangly guitar. But it actually suits the second season very well, even though at first I was like, what is this? What are they doing? But about a week before the second season premiered, I got a direct message from the leftovers at HBO uh, uh, Twitter saying, what is your mailing address? And I was like, checking to make sure, is it a real... Uh, yeah, it's the verified HBO Leftovers account. So I, I uh, direct messaged them back, and I gave them my mailing address, and I said, why? Um, stupidly, my initial thought, which makes no sense, this isn't the way anything works, my initial thought was like, oh my, is this some weird casting thing? Right. Like, I, but I was like, what is this? But I'm like, that would make no sense that yeah. the way you would find someone is like, what's your address? What's yeah. your, what's your ad- mailing address? Uh, contact you on Twitter through, uh, yeah. but I was like, had this thing of like, could there be some weird, because when I got, I think it was because the way that, uh, I got the off camera part on Veep was such a weird thing where it was like, uh, where they were, like, contacting me via email saying, like, are you available to do an off-camera speaking role? And I was like, what, uh, this isn't the way TV should work. Right. Um, but then, so I sent my mailing address, and then a week later, I'll see if I can have it. I might have put it under something over here as part of my Christmas display. Um, I got this wooden box in the mail. Yeah. A wooden box. I got this wooden box in the mail. This is... This is, I think you were going to really appreciate this, Shady. I think if you had, if you had, um, this is what I got in the mail. Whoa. And it's like a pretty big, it's almost the size of a board game. Yeah. Wooden box. And yeah, go ahead and open it. Now, one of the things that was in there is not in there now. And there was a t-shirt. I have a leftovers t-shirt. Right. And I have these like stickers right. that are uh, from the show. From the show, the, the second place takes place in this town called Miracle. And there's these postcards that made no sense to me. And this vial of spring water. Weird. Um, none of this will make any sense to you. It's not spoilery because I, it made no sense to me when I was opening this. I'm like, and it's this letter from HBO saying. Dear Connor, we're so happy you enjoyed the first season of The Leftovers, and this Sunday we're excited for its return to HBO. And then it describes a little of what's happening, and says, with that in mind, we wanted to share a few keepsakes that will allow you to enjoy Jardin and Miracle National Park, all while skipping the line. The box you received contains everything you'll need to brag about your park experience, from around the town snapshots to flea market souvenirs, without going through all the trouble of experiencing it. And... That's pretty cool. So I get this, 
And I'm like, whoa, like, this was not necessary. They yeah. knew I was going to watch it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, this is a pretty cool promotion. Like, this is uh, someone with some, like, sense of fun, especially because it's not, I wouldn't describe it as a fun show. Right. There's a few moments of humor here and there, but it's more about, like, it's a moving experience. It's like a, you, it, you really, like, get sucked into it. The next week, uh, I receive a box in a similar box. It's uh, it's underneath some more fragile stuff, and there's nothing in it now. And I open it up, and there is a full uh, shrink wrapped pecan pie from a bakery in Texas. Because in the first episode, there is a a pie left on a character's front doorstep, and you have no idea why at that point. So this is a second package. You this got. is a second package I got containing a full, uh, ready to heat up cooked pecan pie from a Texas bakery. I'm like, this is inexplicable to me. Like what the like? I love it. I love that they did it. But I'm still like, they're preaching the converted. I guess it's just like, if anything, it was just one of those things where I'm like, I felt so appreciated as an audience member that I'm like it did like supercharge my sense of like right. evangelicalism about uh, the show. Interesting. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean I'd... I had already, they were responding to me cause I'd already done that thing where I was like, people should watch this show. It's affected right. me. And, uh, and that, but then I would also get a direct message every week of something that made no sense. That would just be like, uh, so they're like weaving you into the mystery of it. Yeah. And it actually did. Cool. It actually did remind me of. I did think when this was happening, this feels like the type of thing that if and when uh, you and I are able to make the Terry Withers mysteries into a real TV show, this feels like the type of thing that we'd be like, oh, we can like we can do this, and we'll yeah. we'll send them a pie because <laughs> just, Terry, Terry loves pie. Terry loves you pie. Send a pie. You send them a pie from Terry. Exactly. <laughs> like I would get like these uh, texts. Like one week, the, the direct message just said in quotes. Business traveler. Um, one week I got a picture of an ultrasound. Uh, and they all tied into the show in some way. Yeah, they all tied in the show, but I would get them... Uh, before the show aired. Before the show aired, I'd just get this weird direct message. And, I mean, it did fall off, and that part of me was like... There were things that happened. I'd watch episode three, and I'd be like, oh, fuck, what the fuck are they going to send me in the mail? Like, th that was the last mail package I got, so it was the thing Did that, like... Did you post any of that stuff online? Yeah, as soon as I got them, I was, like, post a picture, like, I just got this package yeah. from the leftovers. You so, used, like, like, their hashtag and stuff? Yeah, because I did feel like... Did other or other fans, like, what the heck? Yeah, like, uh, Patrick Cotner was like, what? Like, there were just people who were yeah. already kind of excited about the show. Um... Because I also felt like a, an obligation, like it's polite. I need to like yes. post about it because that's why they're, they're not doing it so I can secretly have a pie. Right. Um, the they're I, doing it so other fans can be like, oh, there's this whole thing that they're letting you into. Yeah, and that's so fun. Yeah, and it really is like I love that because there is a sense of like with all of these things, there's an element of like. Obviously, you know, it would be nice to be able to make a slightly healthier income. Obviously, everybody needs to make money and you want to make a career and you want to be able to afford to live like a comfortable life with it. But there's also an element of like, as an artist, losing the sense of fun is a massive thing that is worth 
there's an amount of money that it's not worth, if that yes. makes sense. That like, uh, I'm sure we both had the same feeling reading Jim Henson's biography of when it gets to a point where he's like miserable making the deal with yeah. Disney at the end and it's really affecting him and it kind of is killing him in a way that his health is yeah. suffering from it. That you're at a point where you're like, man, I bet there were just points where he was just like, I wish we were back in London making The Muppet Show. Well, so I recently experienced a moment that was I got to witness myself turn from one side to the other. Yeah. Um, which is not uh, the Jim Henson sad Turn thing. from one side in what sense? In the sense of being able to enjoy something and then being able to not. Because basically what you're saying is like once you're inside, you see, you know how it all works. And so there's a less less of a sense of wonder that comes from these things. Right. So like for me, in the past year or two, I'll say year, past year, yeah, it's past year, I've now slowly been dipping into the other side of the magic world. Yeah. And I can literally one-to-one, because it was you know only several years ago where I could watch magic specials and magic tricks. Right, and you could feel and, it. And feel amazed by it. And now... And they all warned. They all warned me of this, and it's like sort of a joke and sort of a known thing of just like, yeah, once you're on that side, you're on that side, and it's like, once you know how it works, you know how it works, and the, the you know the yeah the 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 wonder isn't there anymore. As my friend Justin Wilman always, he has a whole bit about losing wonder by googling how magic tricks work. Yeah, and it's like, you know, now most magic tricks. If I don't know the exact method, I yeah. know essentially how it works. Yeah. And so I, it's not even like knowing how, how it works versus not. It's a type of thinking that comes with it. Yeah. And seeing the pe- – it's like watching a herald before you know how a herald works. Right. Improv and afterwards. I'm having that with magic where even if I don't know how the trick works, I see what the parts of it are and what the things are, and I, I, I see what I don't know about it's it. It's like on Fool Us, the Penn & Teller show, which is all about them trying to recapture their sense of wonder. Yeah. They're like, we want a magician to get up on stage and do a trick where we're not like, I think I know how you did this. Right. Or worse, we know how you did this. But even, even what I would say is like having a vocabulary and a sense of structure for how – Yeah you would approach a trick right changes how you watch it definitely so it's like even if so they don't know the method they're chasing they know. it they're, but the few times that they've actually been like wait a second how did you do that i mean they know there's got to be a trick so it's already i know you I mean you're already right. in the zone where you're like their sense of wonder is more like we don't know how you did it but we know you did it with a tricky thing exactly so for example like one of my closest friends great guy one of the most amazing magicians in that exists and he does a lot of behind the scenes stuff is Blake Voigt. Yeah. And he is the master of textile and like paper stuff. Uh-huh. So no one can do stuff better than him. And he was on Fool Us and the thing that was so interesting is that he did a trick that actually fooled them. Yeah. Because they didn't know how he did it. Right. They couldn't find evidence of how he did what he did. Right. But they knew his body of work because they had actually worked with him before. Yeah. And he's so well known for what he did. Yeah. That they understood conceptually how he might have been able to approach it, but they couldn't figure out how he did in this scenario. Yeah. So it was, they, he was in this weird scenario where they're like, we don't know how you did this, and we don't know – we can't point to how it works. We yeah. can't tell you how it works. 
but we know but you didn't fool us but we know you and so we know the type of thing you would do to make that work yeah so it became this middle ground apparently in the actual taping of it like it was a, a lot longer thing where they were sort of like going back and forth of like the host and him and Penn and Teller they're sort of like does it count as a fool and like he was like well I did sort of fool you and they're like well you didn't because we know and it like became this whole thing and in the edit they made it very they did a great job of it yeah because it's it's very you know complimentary on both sides, but it comes this weird thing where it's even the tricks that they don't know. Well, because that's the thing with fool us that's so interesting. Yeah, is with fool us the people who actually end up fooling them. The, the sort of the meta game of fool us is yeah. not about doing a trick that's so good that Penn and Teller don't know how you do it. Right. What you do instead is that you create false methods that you reveal so that Penn and Teller think you did it one way. So it'd be like, right. Like, what it would be is, um, here's, like, a, a a dumb example that's not actually how right. stuff works, right? So, like, let's say um, I was going to levitate a baseball. Right. And so I say, all right, I'm going to levitate a baseball, and you have to figure out how I did it. And I have a string that's attached to it, yeah. to the baseball, going up to the ceiling. Yeah. But really how I'm levitating is I'm, like, I have, like, an air jet below it, blowing it up. Right. right? And they can, but the, the string is like the so most like, apparent oh, it's with string. The string. So yeah. they're all like, we see the string. And you're like, nope, it was not the string. Yeah. Good night. So uh, it's almost like if I was like, the trick was I get you to go in the other room and then I do the trick in here. And while you were looking in the thing in the other room, then I'm like, you didn't see how I did the trick. Exactly. It's but, mi- but if they knew what to look at, like it's a more of a it's, mis- it's, it's misdirection. It's misdirection. Where times you, two. Exactly. You misdirect them to think that you've shown your hand at how you're doing it. So they think they know the answer. Really, they don't. So that's why a lot of, I believe, card tricks are the things that end up fooling them. Because with card tricks, there's a lot more. There's a lot of methods that they can. You can flash and you can show that make them think you did it one way when really you did it a different way. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm but, not but yeah. versed enough in magic methodology to, yeah, I mean, to explain I'm, it better, but. I, I, I would relate to that in this sense. I mean, I, I did like a, I've never taught improv classes right. at UCB. I've coached. Um, and I've di- I did like a workshop earlier this year where it was sort of like a preliminary thing where like you run a workshop in front of uh, Kevin Hines, who's the head of the UCB training center. Right. You run a workshop and they see how you do it. And I think I bungled mine very badly. I, I sort of misjudged what it would take to run a workshop. I, I picked a very complicated thing to do, and I think it ended up being a very awkward and uncomfortable hour. Of what uh, you choose to do, uh, I did like a, the flash exercise, which I like doing in a certain way, where you like um, uh, have two people sit there and you get a suggestion, and they ha- they have to immediately say the thing that it makes them think of from their life. Right. And then immediately translate that into a line as an initiation. Yeah. And um, and that's like sort of heady and somewhat new approach to improv it's right he- now it, in the UCB world. It's heady and it's a thing that even like advanced improvisers – like Kevin afterwards was like even advanced people get tripped up doing that. So it's like having like we, – we had like just people from even very beginning levels. And it was just like a, a mind fuck and I didn't handle it well and it was a lot of me rambling. Right. And – but I'm not – there's a part of me that like, even before I did that, there's a part of me that like, I don't mind coaching because coaching is a very, the brief 
for coaching is a little bit more um, nebulous right? and a little bit more open to like, well, let's see how we can like make this a little bit easier for you to have yeah. fun doing this as opposed to teaching improv, which is part of the curriculum that uh, I don't think I was ever the best at. Like, I don't, I think there are lots of things in the core curriculum that I'm like, well, I got by doing this thing a little bit better and not being able to do this thing quite as well. Right. Um, and I'm not, I'm not fully sure that I understand all the elements of the curriculum. Not that I disagree with them per se, but like that I don't, I actively don't think I would know how to teach second beats to people who are having trouble doing them. Cause right. I don't think I'm that good at explaining them. I feel like when I do them, I mean, second beats for those of you who don't know, are this thing where in a Herald you do a first scene, uh, and then you return to that scene, uh, in a way that you either, uh, that you kind of play the same game and it can be a different scenario with the same game, uh, but you're supposed to like heighten it a little bit and, uh, but it's, it's gotta be not just a repetition of that scene. There's all these like variables that I find confusing as an improviser and well, you haven't had to do many second beats. I have to do them all the time. I just don't think of them that way. You only have to do three months of uh, hard second beats. No, I've never had to do them in a, and get noted on them, I guess. Because you were on Heaven Night for what, like? For nine months or eight months yeah. or something like that. Um, I mean, Stepfathers basically do Harold, Harold's a lot, but they're very you relaxed Harold's. longer than you, Connor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't dispute it. My time there was brief, and I wasn't necessarily... Uh, I don't think that I had, like, a tremendous run on Harold Night. I don't think there were people watching me on Harold Night who were like... This guy is the king of Harold Knight. No, you're good. I, 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 just, I think I was fine. I think it's funny to be able to say, like, yeah, you know, kind uh, of got taken off Harold Knight uh, well before. Pretty early. Yeah, pretty quick. Yeah. Well, when I got put I on, on Harold Knight, when I got, got put on Harold Knight, I basically told everybody who was listening, like, I could be off in a month. Like, I told everyone I was going to get cut pretty quick. I just didn't think I was going to get cut and promoted. You weren't cut. Connor. I know, but you know what I mean? But I, I, I was, was correct. I that, was cut. I was correct that uh, they did take me off Harold Knight pretty quick. I just thought they were going to take me off because they thought they'd made a mistake and put me on too early. No, they took you off because you were really good. Uh, but in any case, there is a part of me that feels a similar way in terms of like teaching at UCB and working there as my job would take some of the shine off it for me, I think. Yeah. Maybe not, because a lot of people really like teaching. But I kind of feel like, for me, there's an element of, like, embracing the mystery of it. Um, that that's what m- makes it continue to feel like there are times when I know what the trick is that we're doing. And there are other times where I'm like, how do we get here? Like, right. last last night we did a show. The suggestion in the first half was Anniversary. And I did a scene, because yesterday was December 11th, I did a scene where I was a person who every year planned on watching Pearl Harbor on the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, but always got it mixed up and thought it was December 11th instead of December 7th. And in that scene, I ended up going to change the Wikipedia page for Pearl Harbor to make it that it happened on December 11th so I could feel comfortable watching the movie. The second half, we talked to someone in the audience who was a second grade school teacher and we asked, and she was going what she was doing the next day was working on lesson plans. One of the things in the lesson plans was uh, planning on uh, the students write their autobiographies. That's one of the exercises, which that really made me laugh. Just the idea of you're in second, second grade, grade yeah. writing your autobiography. And, she, and, and Shannon was like, what does that involve? She said, oh, it's mostly just like describing what they look like, things they like to do. Um, but the other book that they were reading was something called Calvin Coconut. 
And it was about a little boy in Hawaii who uh, comes from a broken home. And so I initiated a scene where I was turning in the first volume of my memoir and I was Calvin Coconut. And my first volume of my autobiography only goes up to age seven. Um, and, uh, this then got made into a movie. There was a scene where like Ben Affleck was playing Calvin Coconut in the movie that Calvin Coconut was directing based on his life. And then there was a scene where they said, uh, where Delaney played a film producer saying, you got to go back to Oahu, the second volume of your memoir. No one was interested in the second volume of my memoir. So then we end up on an airplane flying back to flying to Hawaii. And Don Finelli says, uh, can't believe we're flying to Hawaii on December 11th. And when I thought about that, as I was going to sleep last night, I was thinking about it, and I, all the things that had to happen that were out of our control to get us to a place where we're in a scene where we're on an airplane and Calvin Coconut is flying back right. on the fake, uh, the fake uh, Pearl Harbor that's been changed in the Wikipedia page. I'm just like, the fact that we did a Hawaii scene, a Pearl Harbor scene in the first half, and that then we interview an audience member who talks about Calvin Coconut, and, and like all the things that have to happen to get us that place. Yes. Like, you can't plan it. It just happens. And I, you think you could do this for 100 years, and you would never fully understand how that happened, how we got to that place where we did the scene where the laugh that it got when Don made the connection where he was like, can't believe we're flying to Hawaii on December 11th. Right. And then everyone was like, ooh. And, you, and the audience immediately was like, how did that happen? Because it, it is a trick, but it's almost like a trick that you're still living in the wonder of it. Like, you're part of it, but you're like, I don't know what this thing is. Yeah. Ties into The Leftovers because that's the beauty of that show. The beauty of the show is the not knowing. And, a, and it's about... Listen, you've done, you've done your... I've done my You've done, done your box and pecan pie worth. I've done my... I've earned my pie. I will also... This is the most... It, it, this is a, a very insular... It's you describing a show many people have not seen. But they can see it. That's the great thing about and, it. Right. But you describing at length a show that people have not seen and doing it by describing an improv scene. That people, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the but, over the overlap for people that can appreciate that well might be one person who saw that improv show who has all seen the leftovers. Uh, no, because I think that was a pretty clear. Even if you've no, ever what? seen but an improv you know show, I mean, that like, wasn't too much. Like I wasn't people who were who that people who it. were there will like it a little bit more. Yeah, I know there will be at least two people listening to this podcast who will understand what I was just talking about yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, but there is. But here's the thing that I'm mad about with The Leftovers is that thing of, like, people saying, like, well, the second season, finally, it's a great show. I would encourage people to distrust that narrative and to, if you haven't seen the show, one more season going to happen. I've also heard people saying, I hate, I hate articles like this. I hate articles, like, that say, here's why they shouldn't do this. When something's happening, a creative show that people are excited about, like, a show will get renewed and they'll be like... Someone will write an essay about, here's all the reasons why it's a mistake for them to make another season. Right. And I'm always just like, what a shitty article to write. Like, it's happening. Your article prevents nothing. And if you don't like it, okay, go live your life. Right. Go do something else. Don't write an article saying that another season of a show that many people are very excited is coming back 
Especially when it's a show that, for whatever reason, like you liked up to that point, and you're like, I think they should have ended it here. Now it's going to be somehow tarred by this, you know, right. they, they might like diminish their legacy. I don't buy that at all anymore. I Maybe there was a party that used to think that like, sure, it's great that like the Beatles are this perfect thing. Like they stop with Abbey Road and it's like, isn't it great that we didn't have to sit through 20 years of the Beatles like embarrassing themselves or something? Then you have David Bowie. You have David Bowie. Putting or out you, a 10 minute song. Or you have like, if you're a big fan of the Rolling Stones, I think it's probably fun that, that you can still go see them in concert. Like, but, then, but then you also have George Lucas. And, I mean, that's a long conversation. But... Imagine that. A conversation too long for us to dive into on this podcast. Well, and it's also ground I feel like I may have covered before. Yes. And once I start rolling down that hill, you may not get me back. Exactly. We're not going to. We are a little now because you mentioned it. We're not going to do it. I'll say this. <laughs> no. I'll say this. No, turn back. Yes. Well, here's the thing. I don't think there's anything great about the fact that John Cazale or Cazale or however it's pronounced, that he died and made five per perfect films. I would have rather seen him maybe make some rotten films in the 80s, but then maybe he's in Pulp Fiction. Or maybe he's in some other great film that only existed because he didn't die. It's cool, I guess, that you have this actor who made The Godfather, Godfather Part Two, Dog Day Afternoon, The Conversation, and The Deer Hunter, and that's his filmography. Yes, that's cool. It's perfect. But no. Like, I don't care if... But there's a difference... It's not. But there's people who are like, that's the way you do it. I'm like, but no. see, I don't care about strange magic. Yeah, I do care about episode one, two, and three. But they don't ruin the first movies. They do a little. No, bit. they don't. They you gotta do. be a. You gotta be. You gotta adjust yourself to this because here's the no, thing. No, I don't. I think that's you like, should. That's kind of that's like me going like, like okay, so. I'm going to tell you a story. It's called The Three Little Pigs. Yeah. And you go, oh, great. The Three Little Pigs is a great story. And then I go, okay, here's the backstory. The Three Little Pigs all raped you before they got there. <laughs> and then I go, but don't think about that. Kind of remove yourself. Don't think about that. Just enjoy The Three Little Pigs. And all you can do is be like, no, you just told me that The Three Little Pigs it's... are rapists. And no, I'm not saying you have to. No, no, no. Divorce yourself from that. It's, it's The whole idea of those prequels is that but do you really Detroit, when you when you watch the original movies now are they really ruined by the prequels now? I feel they like they are com sort of. I feel like they're completely disconnected from them. They are, and but see that's what here's my here's my thing. Yeah, the joy of science fiction and fantasy. Yeah, the thing that is the most fun for me, and what I would argue is probably the most fun for a lot of people, and why Star Wars was so successful. Yeah, and why successful fantasy and sci-fi movies are are good. Yeah, is because the worlds are rich and they imply. A whole universe. I know. A whole universe to explore. So when <coughs> when you see the cantina scene and you see all these aliens, you go, oh man, there's a story behind every one of those. And then those backstories and all that stuff that it, your, your mind is just racing with excitement that there's all this world. When the person who created it goes, actually, here's what that story is. And it's not what you like. Then there's no going back to that moment when you can just imagine all of the things all yeah but that's joy. also true you also can't go back to being a kid again i mean the, the, the here's the thing i'm saying you're sort of viewing it that it's like that's a false equivalency no but it, there is an element of this in uh, that you're viewing it all as one bowl of soup and if you take a shit in it then it's ruined as opposed to that there's 
hundreds of bowls of soup you have in your lifetime and someone takes a shit in one bowl of it. And you can't be like, now every soup I ever had had shit in it. Like, no, 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 no. That, no, because no, that, that... It that, might even make it that you can't that, eat soup again. No. Maybe it makes it that you can't eat soup again. But it no. doesn't ruin the soup no. experience of your that life. The analogy is like me saying that snow dogs ruin Star Wars for me. That's not what I'm Did saying. Did it? No. It but what if I told you now that I'm like, Snow Dogs was the secret fourth Star Wars movie? Uh, <laughs> yeah, then would you be like, ruined. oh no, you no. ruined it. It's that easy to ruin Star yes. Wars? How, how weak is art, great art's hold on you that it can be ruined by bad art? That would be like... No, if, no, no. <laughs> No, yeah. don't do this. This is the most insane analogy ever. No, it's not. It's not. You can't let the bad things ruin the good things. I can't argue. Bad art laughing. can't be allowed to win over good art that way. It can't be. Here's the it's thing. It's not bad art versus good art. It's not. <laughs> it is. No, it is. Here, it is. It is. I'll tell you why. No. Yes. No. George Lucas. George Lucas. No. Okay, let's say. This is <laughs> <laughs> this, this is not. This is not me uh, thinking. Not everyone wants to look at the Sistine Chapel <laughs> again because I saw a bad painting. This is <laughs> no, no. This but like, if you were looking at the Sistine Chapel, Angela going, underneath that he has a dragon dick. Me going, what? And then him going, look, I painted it. And then showing me a painting of the dragon dick. And then me going. Well, I can't. Now I, now I can't enjoy the Sistine Chapel because <laughs> you showed me the dragon dick. No, but here's the thing: there are things that could ruin your experience of art. Like if uh, if you were watching Empire Strikes Back the first time and someone came in and shot up your movie theater, you probably wouldn't be a big Star Wars fan anymore. You'd probably be like, "I don't like Empire Strikes Back." That's not my problem. Empire Strikes. <laughs> no, I know. But, like, there are things... I'm not saying there aren't things that could ruin, like, oh, I don't like this because of that. But here's what I'm saying. The, wouldn't you agree the first three Star Wars movies, even, like... Like, I'll say this. I think the prequels made me like Return of the Jedi more. No. No. I think they did. And here's why. I <laughs> don't know my no. Here's why. Do you remember a time when everybody had major issues with Return of the Jedi? Yes. Where they were like, it kind of ruins it. Yes. Does it ruin it now? I actually look at Return of the Jedi, I'm like, pretty fun movie. Now when I look at Return of the Jedi, I'm like, I see the good parts because guess what? That's like like an emotionally abusive boyfriend going, oh, hey, your next boyfriend hit you. Don't you wish you had me back again? I guess it is like that somewhat. (laughs) But here's the thing. There is a version of George Lucas's career, okay? There's a version of his career where I guess I got to... My problem, here's the thing. My problem is not that... I saw the original three Star Wars, and I thought George Lucas was infallible. And then he made bad, he made separate bad movies, and then that made me think that the original Star Wars would be bad. What it is is that he told a story that was great. It was uh, it was a beginning and an end, and it was a story, and it was great. And then we said was actually the beginning is. And he he drew a little thing on a napkin next to the original movies that was. Literally providing worse subtext for the movies but that we all can't. Just you enjoyed. just reject those, honestly. Can't you just reject those? I mean, honestly, even now that you've told me that the Three Little Pigs raped everybody, <laughs> I don't. You haven't ruined the Three Little Pigs for me. I still think it's a good story. I, uh, but in the back of your mind, the guy. No, the, even the if I always think of that. Even if I always up. think of that. Even when Sesame, Sesame Street did a parody of House of Cards, oh, no. uh, uh, Three oh, Little no. Pigs. The are crossing. Didn't ruin. Didn't ruin Three Little Pigs for me. Um, the 
Here's the thing. Okay, it's un, uh, undeniable. George Lucas, 1982, hit by a bus or some mysterious ailment, and he, or he just vanishes. No one knows where he went. We probably talk about George Lucas. We probably have statues of George Lucas. We probably talk about him and like, this is the guy. His first film was this like cerebral film that no one really was affectionate towards, but it was, it did feel like a good film, right? Right? Would you agree? Which one? THX 1138. Not yeah, a film that sure. people love, yes. but like people appreciate it. Yes. Like a debut film that like had merit. It had like a, there, it was a, there, he had an artistic voice. It was maybe a little cold, but it was interesting. Yeah. Certainly a good debut film. Uh, he, he made American Graffiti. Terrific movie. Boy, what a great movie. And then he made Star Wars. Great film. He produced Empire Strikes Back. Fantastic. He collaborated and made Raiders of the Lost Ark. We're like, what's this guy going to do next? This guy does everything. Like, you don't get more different, I don't think, than Star Wars and American Graffiti in terms of, like, what the sure. basic feel of the film is. You know, they really don't feel like the same right. filmmaker at all. And certainly American Graffiti and THX 1138 do not feel like... I think if you did that as a blind test to anybody and you threw those two films, no one guesses that those are the same guy making yes. this. So he perishes in 1982... And now he's the John Cazal of cinema. Yeah. He's this wunderkind who, like, we would be talking right now about, oh, can you imagine the things that George Lucas would have done had yes. he lived? Yeah. Instead, we get the reality, which is that <clears throat> there's some more good things to come. There's even some more pretty good things to come. From George Lucas? From George Lucas. Temple of Doom. I think it's a pretty great sure, film. Sure. Return of the Jedi, I like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, Tucker, Man in His Dream, didn't have a lot to do with it, but sure, his name's on it. Good movie. Uh, even the bad stuff, he, uh, you know, he financed uh, a Kurosawa movie, he financed uh, the sequel to Koyaanisqatsi, like put his name, like made right. some good things happen. Uh, he had some films that weren't great, but they were kind of ambitious. I think Land Before Time is a pretty good film. He, like, bankrolled uh, a Don Bluth operation. That's kind of... Yeah. At a time when, it, when that wasn't... There wasn't, like, a burgeoning animation uh, uh, feature film industry. It was kind of on the, on the ropes. I would say his misses or things that are regarded as, like, not, not hit films or not fully creative. Labyrinth. You love Labyrinth. Um, Howard the Duck. Terrible movie, but cool idea to make that movie. I've said this before, I think, on the podcast. Um, Captain EO, kind of a weird thing, but like, like there's ambition in these failures. Uh, it starts to get a little bit... Willow, ambitious, kind of a failure. Um, Young, Indiana, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, not a fun show, but a very ambitious TV show. Uh, it, it, very innovative in the world of effects. I would argue even up to the point of like Red Tails and Strange Magic where he's not making movies that anyone thinks are great movies, but he's never being, even when he makes the prequels, which were some of the most disastrous creative films ever made, I wouldn't argue, I would definitely argue that there are areas of those films that I would say are, if not lazy, um, stubborn in that you need to know when to ask for help. Right? I think that's probably a pretty generous way of describing the failures of those movies, right? That, mm. what would you say? Where do you, dis where do you think I'm going wrong in this analysis? Well, this analysis is not me saying George Lucas should have stopped making stuff. I forget what our, 
what I use this as an original analogy for. What was it? Um, I think we were talking about um, having a perfect career versus having a flawed career. And we're talking about how the Beatles have this perfect legacy, whereas the Rolling Stones have a messier... Right. uh, It's sort of like they don't make classic albums anymore, but it's you can appreciate the fact that they uh, have a... So what I'm saying is I think there's a difference from having a perfect career... Yeah. Having a career full of diversity and ups and downs... And going back and ruining the stuff that you made. That sure, was I think this. Good. I think the special editions are kind of a crime against a work of art. And I think that would be my number one yeah. example of why I think the George Lucas thing is. But he also has the right to do that. I think it's creatively. Funny. I I think it's great that he makes an, the one of the worst movies of all time in Strange Magic. I, that is such over the top hyperbole that actually makes me angry. <laughs> I, it, it is over the top. Do you think Strange Magic? I don't think Strange Magic is that remarkable a film that it would be regarded that badly. Yes, that's why I think. I, honestly, that's why I think Strange Magic. I think it's a watchable children's film. I would say Strange Magic. It's not the, one of the worst films of all time. What I would say. It's not is, even close to as bad as the prequels. I would say that Strange Magic is the exact type of film that I don't think needs to be made. Maybe. Because it's exactly that. It's not. Um, bad enough to be interesting and it's not good enough to be interesting i'll say that if i think i don't think this necessarily would be possible but if somehow strange magic had been great which maybe sometimes with a film like that i almost think like it's almost like ruined in a way that if you just turn the dial this much and made it like funnier like if that movie had been hilarious from start to finish right then you'd be like great you know? Yeah. But it wasn't. But instead, it was just like a bunch of hit songs from 10 years ago. You're right. Um, but here's my point about Lucas and I about like ruining things. Yeah. The moment is, I said that, I'd like to add the addendum of I don't like critiquing other people's work because I probably could not make Strange Magic. I probably do not have the producerial talent right now to pull together a massive million, millions, and millions of dollar CGI film, so I respect the fact that he is able to do that. Right. And it wasn't really his film. It wasn't really his film. He had the germ of the idea and he had some involvement in it. But it's a passable children's film, but I just think if as a... uh, I I, I say this not as a... Right now I'm not wearing my filmmaker hat. I'm wearing the hat of purely an audience member consumer. Right. And I don't... You know, I don't like being negative about these things either. And I'm actually trying to paint this with as positive a brush as possible. Yes. Um, I, I don't think, I think the conversation we're having about Strange Magic, even what you're saying, um, we're still on the positive side of the way that film was talked about. Yes. Like, and you are directly responsible for for its only its only positive, positive review in mainstream criticism in the Village Voice by Alan Schurstel. Um because I think I got into his head a little bit in terms of how to watch that film, which is uh, everyone. I think. Everybody beat that film with the stick that was intended for the prequels. Like, sure. I think there were people who gave a middling positive review of episode three who, right. looking back on it, were like, well, that one got away. Yeah. But we're going to get this next one. Yes. They couldn't do it to Red Tails, which I still haven't seen. Nor have I. They couldn't do it to Red Tails because I think to beat up on that film too hard, that would be uh, uh, received differently, I think. I think if you attacked Red Tails with the irrational venom that Strange Magic got attached to, it would come across as hate speech. It'd be funny for you to do a thing as George watching Red Tails for the first time. Like yeah. as if George had never seen it. Right. Um, I think that 
Um, but here's the thing. Here's what I've, and I'll talk about this in terms of Charles Schultz as well. Because there was a period, you know when you look back on periods of your life, you're like, oh, I was a little bit of an asshole at this age. Yes. Not in a horrific way, yeah. but just in enough of a way that you're like, oh, I'm a little different now. Hopefully I've learned something. I'm sure I'm an asshole in ways now that I don't understand fully and won't until later. Um, any interest in a seltzer? All right. Um, <clears throat> so I'm currently on the uh, the penultimate volume of the complete peanuts, and uh, so this is this these are the strips that I would have read in the '90s, and I would have read them. I think at this point I would have read them via email because I was living in England and I would have been getting peanuts in my inbox from like Go Comics or whatever the equivalent was back then. But I know I read these strips because I never, I never missed Doonesbury and I never missed um, Peanuts at that point. And the, um, when I was reading Peanuts in the 90s, I very much had an attitude of like, he's, he's off his game. He's like losing it a little bit. Right. Um, let me get you a coaster or something. Or actually, you can just sit on the table just on, on the record player. Yes. Um, that's all right. Everything knocks over. I did that. Um, so I would read peanut strips back then. Let me go get one of these peanuts books. Um, I would read peanut strips back then, and I would be like, "This is hilarious because um, he's so like half of them don't make sense." I have one of the first. Um, my grandfather had the peanuts. Books? Uh, yeah. Like the first the paperbacks? Yeah. Well, this was like a hardcover. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was like, like a treasury. Yeah. It was It was the first treasury that yeah. I had. And it's really funny because it's like all of his peanut. And it's like goes to like 19. Right. Yeah. Like 60 something or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, reading through these strips, this is the, this volume is 97 to 98. Right. And the amazing thing is, so I, I, I got the, I, I've been buying these now in two-volume two increments when they come out in these slipcases, and they've right. been building this very impressive mountain. Whoa. That, that is a life, each one of those boxes has two volumes, which each volume is two years. So it's uh, um, eight years across. Crazy. Is that right? One, two, three, four. Yeah, eight years across. Yeah. Um, and so it was very satisfying, also kind of terrifying, because I remember buying the first volume and being like, oh, I'll be around 40 when these end and then you're like oh no and now i'm like ooh, time is passing yeah um but here's the thing so now i'm reading the 90 strips with a different viewpoint because even though i knew he was old and i think i probably at that time i was like oh is he gonna retire soon or something um because his hand is getting shaky yeah the jokes are getting less coherent in some places right like it'll just be like a shot of fall foliage and charlie brown walking at the end he'll be like i'm sad every day and you're like oh no or even like weird stuff like there's this weird thing where it starts off and it's actually picking up a continuity from the from the last day of 96. And it's the first day of 97. Charlie Brown has bought an autographed baseball by his hero, Joe Schlobotnik, which is a character that's yeah. referenced all the way through Peanuts. And Linus says, I don't think so, Charlie Brown. This isn't Joe's signature. It's a forgery. Charlie Brown goes, good grief. And he says, they cheated a little kid, an innocent, trusting, hero-worshipping little kid. Me. Not really a punchline to that, but I'm like, okay, he's right. building a week-long narrative. 
Um, and then the next strip is he's, he's in the store talking to an unseen adult. And he says, yes, sir, I think you sold me a forgery. This is not Joe Shalotnik's signature. Get lost? You sell me a fake autograph and then tell me to get lost? What am I going to do about it? Let me introduce you to my world-famous attack dog. And he gestures to Snoopy. Now, just on its face, I'm like, there's so many things that don't make sense about this world anymore. Right. Like, what world is it where Charlie Brown is talking to an adult in a store who sold him a forgery, and the guy says, get lost? And then Charlie Brown threatens to kill him. <laughs> threatens with the dog. And, and then you're like, it doesn't even pay off, because the next strip, this is when it starts making even less sense. A little kid who's wearing, like, glasses and a visor, so he's got more the apparel of, like, an old right. man, comes up to Charlie Brown, who's standing there, and says, hey, kid, do you want a job? Charlie Brown says, a what? And he says, come on, I'll show you. My hand is killing me from all that autographing. Charlie Brown says, you mean... He says, sure, I have to autograph all this stuff, see? Are you a good speller? Yesterday, somebody wanted a Joe Shlobotnik or something. Give me a break. And Charlie Brown says, I can spell Shlobotnik. That's another strip. So you're like, wait a second, what is this world? Like, right. And then uh, the next one is just a single long panel, and it's the same kind of like, we can't show an adult, so we'll show a kid who's kind of playing the role of an adult. Right. And he says, and your job would be to help me forge the autographs on all these bats and balls and pictures and everything. And Charlie Brown turns to Snoopy and says, Will you come to see me on Visitor's Day? And, I mean, this narrative just goes... Oh, I'll read it, because this is the end of the... Right. So, the next one is another single-panel one where it's this old man-child. Like, it kind of looks yeah. like a drawing of, like, Brad Pitt at the beginning of Benjamin Button. Right, like Kim Jong-il. And he says, here's a list of the athletes' names. All you have to do is forge their signatures. You can start with the basketballs. And Snoopy is looking at a giant pile of basketballs. So the joke is like, ooh, a lot, too many. Yeah. And then the narrative ends on a Tuesday. So it's not even like one of those when he used to do these clean Monday through Saturday narratives. Yeah. He goes, he's, the old man child is looking at the basketball and goes, what's this? This isn't a basketball player's autograph. Charlie Brown says, I don't do fake autographs. That's my dad's name. He's a barber. And then the... Old man child says, a famous bar... Oh, and Charlie Brown's walking away. So then the old man child says, a famous barber? Tell him to autograph a barber pole. We could sell it. I mean, that's a delete... I mean, that's just the first... I just read the first things that are in that book. And I'm like, this makes so little sense that I, I, I don't even know, like, what I'm reading. Yeah. But I can see that you could just read through it casually and not think about it and be right. like, it's fine. But... That's a truly terrible example, but it's also just chosen at random in here. But there's also, here's one strip that, like, I just thought, this is why 90s Peanuts is no longer, the original conceit of Peanuts was little kids who kind of behave like adults. Right. But they're still very much little kids. Exactly. By the time they're in the 90s, this has almost become like a, a, a dream journal that sometimes is made up of old Peanuts strips, and sometimes it's just, it looks like peanuts but it's something else entirely right here's a strip of charlie brown in bed and he says sometimes i lie awake at night and a voice asks did you take your pills so i say pills what pills i don't take any pills then the voice says sorry we can't keep track of everything that's an old person strip that's that's harrowing yeah that's like that's, That's a strip tough. about dementia, about getting old and your brain stops working. And 
here's the thing. And that's Charlie Brown. That's Charlie Brown, who we've never had a reference to him being medicated or anything. <laughs> him needing pills. Him or needing antidepression, antidepressants or something. There are. I will. I don't want to lie. There are moments of grace in these in these years where, like, suddenly it's like, ooh, this is a terrific week of strips. Or like one individual, and we're like, that's really funny. That's great. Um, but what you are on, what really hit me was the 90s Peanuts, because he dies in 2000. Right. The 90s Peanuts, you're basically watching, it's, it's a creative sort of dream journal. The strip has transitioned into something else. What was the last strip again? The last strip, he couldn't draw the last strip. The, the, I don't have the last strip, because right. that book comes out in, in the spring of next year. The last strip was a message that he dictated, and he was just like, uh, dear readers, thank you for coming on this journey. Snoopy, Charlie Brown, Lucy, what am I going to do without them? Um, yeah. It's something like that. It's some like goodbye message. The last strip he did was kind of like a, a kind of an unmemorable one, I think. Right. And that was just the last one he could physically draw. Exactly. And then when he couldn't draw another one, he said, let me dictate the strip. But I remember it was... It was weird, whatever it was. Yeah. It's just him saying goodbye. And then, of course, he died, I think, the day that the last one ran. Because there's like a two-month lead time. So he like had two months of, of not doing it. But basically, when you read 90s Peanuts, you're following the chronicles of the last ten years of a man's life. And he keeps doing the strip. Which right. Jim Davis, very very early on in Garfield's run, hired assistants, had other people. Typically, there's in, in Charles Schultz's generation... There was sort of a, a legacy system. <clears throat> it was almost like a family business where you would pass your strip down to your children. Right. It's like Dick Brown and Mort Walker. A lot of the strips, even the ones that are still running, it'll be like by Mort Walker and Sally Walker or something like that. It'll be like, I don't know specifically who, but um, very often you would just pass it on to a new generation exactly. that would keep drawing the same strip. And I actually kind of really... I, there may be something nice about it. I'm sure there are some nice elements of that. I kind of dislike that in terms of the art form of the comic strip. I think Schultz is one of the... Watterson and Larson, um, they quit at their sort of peak of their powers. Right. And they have these perfect stri strips. And that's great. And I can't say that I would have necessarily liked to get 20 more years of Calvin and Hobbes. Might not have been great. Well, Calvin becomes jaded and angry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was already a little jaded and angry. Um, but more vitriolic. Yeah, I could see that happening, and maybe that maybe there is something great about. It. I have this four volume Calvin and Hobbes set that that's the full body of work. But I don't think that later Peanuts ruins earlier Peanuts, even right. though it's the same characters and they change and they're they're not as the strips are not as good. But when I was an asshole in my teens and twenties, laughing at this stuff, and I still do find that stuff funny. But now when I look at it, it's almost like. You're looking at an act of heroism that you're like, he didn't give up on his creation. Even when it was too hard for... He knew he couldn't draw it as well. Yeah. Um, he had to know that it wasn't classic era Peanuts anymore. There had to be some part of him that was just like trying to get another one done. Yeah. Here, um, here's his last message. Yeah. Dear friends, I've been fortunate to draw Charlie Brown and his friends for almost 50 years. It's been the fulfillment of my childhood ambition. Unfortunately, I'm no longer able to maintain the schedule demanded by a daily comic strip. My family does not wish Peanuts to continue, be continued by anyone else. Therefore, I'm announcing my retirement. 
I have been grateful over the years for the loyalty of our editors and the wonderful support and love expressed to me by fans of this comic strip. Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Linus, Lucy. How can I ever forget them? Yeah. And I... As much as I do have an appreciation, I think it's cool. Calvin Hobbes is perfect. The Beatles are basically perfect in terms of their music, in terms of their recorded output. There's very few things that are... They don't have anything that I find embarrassing, you know? Right. And they quit at the peak of their powers. But I also don't think that... I think this started with people saying about how they didn't want Leftovers to have a third season because it was perfect as is. Right. And for my money, I'm like, I guess it's kind of a shame when a show goes downhill. Like, it's a shame that Battlestar Galactica went downhill, that it didn't have a perfect ending. But I still really like that we got those first, like, two and a half seasons of, like, this great... I wouldn't want it, that show not to exist just because uh, later on it gets bad. Like, that episode where every, like... Was it every 33 minutes or every three hours and 33 minutes they have to f- jump to a new location? Right. I mean, that, on its own, that episode alone, which is like the first episode after the pilot, is worth the whole thing existing. There, every other episode could have been a pile of garbage, and that episode was worth it as, like, they did it. They did this yeah. one thing. And I think I just, I have that feeling of, like, I think sometimes people are afraid to take creative risks because they're afraid of becoming a George Lucas. Um, it's kind of, I mean, one of the reasons that I find Lucas funny as a character is that he embodies success and failure. You can't deny his success. You also can't deny his failure. I don't know if there's anybody else that's quite like that in the terms of the fact that, like, three of the biggest, like, almost... I know lately there's been a movement to try to reevaluate the prequels. Have you noticed that? Yeah. It's... A completely bogus movement. Right. It is. It is really, in every way, wrong. Um, but there is. But you also can't deny that, like, on some levels, those are the most successful independent feature films of all time. How are they independent? They were not financed by a studio. They were distributed by a studio, but they were independently financed. Interesting. By a... Uh, <laughs> a mega corporation. Yeah, by a big guy who made his money in the big Hollywood world. But he didn't have any studio telling him... I mean, the reason he was able to sell them to Disney is because right. he owns those movies. Right. Um, they had distribution deals, but he's like, I own the merch, I own the way these things get released, I have final say on everything. I've been distracted because I found this website where it has every day of Charlie Brown, you can just go forward or back. Yeah. So that's where I read the last strip of, and I was trying to go back to see when the last Charlie Brown was, because the actual last week is a whole um, Ooh, yeah. uh, Peppermint Patty thing. Yeah. And so, uh, or what's her name? Peppermint Patty and Marcy? Yeah, it was Marcy, actually. Yeah. Marcy. Um, so the last Charlie Brown feature is on February 6th, and the last one's February 13th, so it's a week earlier. And it's the first strip is Charlie Brown's feet coming out of a mailbox. Then it's him on top of a mailbox. Then it's uh, with a towel, washing it off. Then it's him washing the inside. And then it's him with his little sister. And he says, the inside of a mailbox should always be kept clean in case you get a love letter. And then they look up and it's raining. And then it's them running home in the rain. And then it's them inside on their couch. And then his sister says, aren't you going to go out and get the mail? He says, not while it's raining. Next panel. 
When it's raining, the only letters you get are those those that say, I never want to see you again. And then it's this sister sad on the couch, and she goes, you seem to know a lot about love letters. And then it's Charlie Brown alone. He says, if I ever got one, I don't know what I'd do. Yeah. You see what I mean by it's, it's, it's a dream journal. And that's the last appearance of Charlie Brown is depicted by Charles Schultz. Like, that is like, there's so many different things happening in that strip that it is essentially almost like a stream of cons- consciousness strip. Right. With just him, like, he's just drawing these characters and venting feelings sometimes. Or, like, he'll have an idea and then he'll abandon it. Like, the whole idea of washing the mailbox isn't leading directly towards that final despairing note. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, they're kind of just like one thing happens and then it accidentally leads to him doing something else. Yeah. And that happens all the time. There's so many times where he starts a uh, he starts a plot line and then it, he clearly just gets bored of it and just abandons it right away. Yeah. Um, in the later years. Like, where, 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 whereas where I'm looking at it, I'm like, you've got this great plot line. You could do three weeks on that. Like, yeah. wouldn't you think you'd want to... The last strip is... This is which character is that? That's Marcy. Uh, no, that's Peppermint Patty. That's Peppermint Patty. That's the last strip. Yeah. No, this can't be. It's drawn too well. Are you sure? Yeah. Then maybe this site's wrong. No, it might have been that they started airing. Uh, they started rerunning. Rerunning right, right, dailies right, right, or right, something. Right, yeah, because right, right. that it's that's like seventies era peanuts. Um. I'll find uh, one of the last strips actually did a thing that he did. I thought the last strip was just Charlie Brown alone was a lot shakier than the one that I read with the. No, I think that was. This makes sense then. Do you think that they. When did they start rerunning them? Almost immediately. But his. Because when he retired from the strip before he died, that was the plan. So they already had it. They knew two months in advance it ends this day and then we're going to start running reruns. Right. But so on February 13th was his retirement letter. But then before that, they were already rerunning. Let me look. Um, so I want to know what the last Charlie Brown. And how do you go to the date on here? How do you navigate to the date? I don't know. Um, oh, hold on. I'm going to go to January of 2000. Yeah, they're already running okay, classics then, in January. what so. I said was wrong. Because I remember the last Peanuts thing being... I'll remember it because... non-color him underneath like a tree. And it's just Charlie Brown like facing camera saying something. I will remember it because I was really paying close attention, especially those last strips. And I, was, I actually did a thing where I kept posting... I would re-edit Peanuts strips to make them funnier. Right. Because there were somewhere I'm like, if you just cut these three panels, it's a funnier strip. So January third was the last January third, di- last one, dear friends. And, and there was a daily strip of peanut of Snoopy just writing it, and then they did a Sunday one, which was like a Photoshoppy kind of collage. Oh, and that's one that I saw. That's one you saw. So the last Sunday strip was Peppermint Patty, um, and Marcy. The day before that was a weird one because it was almost done like a Far Side style caption strip right 
And, and it was the caption? It was, uh, there, it's, you see all the characters having a snowball fight, and Snoopy sitting off to the side, and it says, suddenly the dog realized that his dad had never taught him how to throw snowballs. Um, Oof. Oof. The uh, one before that, New Year's Eve, Sally is talking to Charlie Brown, says, that phone call was for you. I told them you don't take personal calls. I told them you lead a secluded life and prefer not to be part of the outside world. I volunteered to be one, the one in our family to take all the phone calls. And then Charlie Brown is in the beanbag the whole time, and you see his feet go up, kind of like he's like, oh, boy. And then he says, I'd say something, but I am out of this world, dot, dot, dot. So the last thing Charlie Brown said was, I am out of this world, dot, dot, dot. He rarely... Interesting. Um, there was one close this time. And that interaction was clearly an interaction that he, like, he had with his wife or something. Actually, the art in... Oh, the art in this last week actually is better than it had been at certain points earlier to this. It's weird. It's not as shaky as I remember it. Um, but don't you think that conversation between him and his sister is clearly a conversation that he had with his wife? Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of things like that. Where his wife was like, they called again. I just said you didn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. He was like, I'll just do There's that. so many strips in the last decade of Charlie Brown and Snoopy golfing that there's just no question that this is a strip about an old man writing about whatever he wants. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. Like, uh, in a way, like, I'm actually glad that he has all these spike strips that are... Just Spike is just a crazy dog in the desert with cactus jokes. And some people are like, these ruin peanuts. And I'm like, I like the fact that he didn't just do a second strip. He clearly wanted to do jokes about cactuses and a crazy dog in the desert. Right. He could have easily hired an assistant, had a second strip that would have made him more money. Like when uh, Jim Davis had Garfield and then he had a strip for a while called U.S. Acres. Right. Or Mark Walker had multiple strips at various points. That was the thing you did. You Like the way people used to... With TV shows, executive producers used to create shows. Then as soon as they can move on and create another show, they do that. Right. You didn't have this model you have now where like a showrunner sticks with the show. Right. Like Vince Gilligan and Breaking Bad all the way to make it like a work of art. Um, in some ways, Charles Schultz was kind of like, he was like that kind of auteur where it's like, this strip is mine and it's personal. It's not just some right. strip anybody can do. Um, there's a strip here where it's like, a dead-eyed-looking uh, Charlie Brown. Let me turn it this way so you can see a little more. A dead, like a creepy, almost like a zombie-looking, like an expression you almost never saw him make. And he says, this is my Joe Torre look. I'm going to use it next season. He's wearing his baseball cap. I'll manage the team from the bench like Joe Torre, and I'll stare at everybody like this, and we'll win every game. And then we see Sally on the phone, and she says, no, he can't come to the phone now. He's cracking up. And then he says, this will be my Joe Torre look. And I'm like... If you knew that he was, Charles Schultz was about to die, that strip is so creepy. It's like this is a strip of a dying man feeling something, like where it's like he's feeling something. And all these interactions, which are Charlie Brown being weird with his sister being like, no, he can't come to the phone. Yeah. That's, that's well, what happens when you're sick. Snoopy wants cookies all of a sudden in the 90s. Every punchline becomes about how, like, and there's a couple of things that happen a lot in later Peanuts where there's certain jokes he likes that are almost like almost like alt-comedy or anti-comedy in some ways. Yeah. It's more just like he finds – he'll have someone make a bad joke and then have Snoopy laugh and fall off the doghouse and go like, well, I thought it was funny. Or he'll have something that makes no sense and have someone say like, you're weird, sir. Yeah. Or like, you're so weird. Or I can't stand it or something like that. 
and it's in place of having like a proper good peanuts joke. Here's, I think, the last Charlie Brown Christmas related strip specifically. Wait, what are you implying with the cookies? Oh, I think he wasn't allowed sugar, maybe. Right. There was a point where clearly cookies became a thing he couldn't have and wanted, I think. This is just right. my theory. I have no evidence for it, except that all of a sudden, Snoopy, who prior to this was a dog with seemingly no limits, limitless ambition, he loved summertime, but he also like went to the moon. He pretended to be the, a, a lawyer, a doctor, a, a tennis pro, right. a World War I flying ace. All of a sudden, every strip was like, could there be a cookie? And I'm like, all of a sudden, it was like this character became just, for a long time, it felt like, limited to this one thing just like right. snoopy loves cookies if you said that snoopy in the 70s was like yeah snoopy loves cookies people would be like what are you talking about yeah this dog can do it all yeah here's the last christmas related one that i think of, of peanuts sally and charlie brown are walking walk into the kitchen sally says we should make some christmas cookies charlie brown says i don't know how to make christmas cookies i don't know how to bake or fry or anything and sally says well we should make something and Charlie Brown pouring some cereal into a bowl says, how about Christmas cold cereal? Not bad. It's, it, it, it relates to a, a clear history of the character. Yeah. Charlie Brown knows how to make toast and cereal. Right. Um, here's one another one. I, admittedly, I don't think anyone's... Uh, someone could easily say, like, these are dumb, these aren't funny. But like, I think this is December 23rd, 1999... I think this is rerun, although, admittedly, I'm the worst. I can't tell. Rerun looks like Linus to me half the time. Right. I only recognize him because of context clues. Right, let me see. I mean, I think it's rerun, but he's not wearing his overalls. That's rerun, right? Yes, because of the hair. Because the hair? But it doesn't quite look like rerun. Like, I'm not, I'm like, is this a new kid? Yeah. You know? So rerun says, I'm going over to your dad's barbershop, Charlie Brown. Does he give away a bicycle with every haircut? No, I don't think so. He'd have kids lined up around the block for haircuts if he gave away bicycles. Should I tell him that? And Charlie Brown says, no, just tell him to trim the sides and take a little off the top. I think that's solid. It's not bad. It's a good Charlie Brown joke. Yeah. Anyway, um, I do think there's something inspiring about it. And I, I also say that I may be just saying this as a 40-year-old who's panicking, you know? Are you panicking? I, I, it could be a symptom of it, you know? That, like, I'm already past the point where most creative people do their best work. I'm, I'm, already in the, right. I'm already in the era where if I do anything really good, it'll be, an, it'll be like, oh, you bucked the trend. You know, I'm in yeah. the era where it's people start declining. Of, but it's not, it's not unheard of, but it's certainly not. It's more likely that I've done, already done my best work, no one noticed it, and get ready for... Average director doesn't start their, their career until their 40s. Yeah, but I'm not the director type. No, no, but I'm just saying... It's an interesting statistic. But comedy? Yeah. Maybe there's... I'm sure there's some examples, but like... But like, also, you're not like a young, hip stand-up. Like, that's, that was never going to be your... Yeah, I was never going to be like that anyway. I f a part of me feels like you were... I was always old. I, well, a part of me feels like you were waiting to be 40 to finally be castable. Yeah. I feel like your strike zone is bent. It, like, you're entering your strike zone as an actor. We'll see. See what happens. I think that's um, probably true. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, what do you think about that in terms of the, does that ring any bells with you in terms of what I'm saying about like that fear of the fear that you'll make 
as as unsatisfying as the prequels are, the Star Wars prequels are, uh, there is a limited and and this is a, a a compartmentalized part of me that looks at them and is like, well, that's what he wanted to make supposedly, and he did it. And I do not go in for the articles. All these articles lately, they're saying about how the prequels are actually better than you think they are. I actually think they're worse than we remember them. Uh, the reason that I actually don't feel that way mm-hmm. is that I don't think they're really what he wanted to make. Really? I think I think a lot of the stuff he said about the Star Wars universe is actually interesting. Because I remember growing up reading all the extended yeah. You know, all of his conversations and all the things that he said about them, I thought they were interesting. But I think he actually, and I think this is indicative of other projects of his, is he gets more focused and excited by the technology and the... Right. That That was what interested him. That that's what interested him. And he backed that into making Star Wars movies. Yeah. And I don't think it's... I don't think it's a thing that he'll he'd be able to separate in his mind of because in his mind it is what he wanted to make. Right. But I think really what he was motivated by was this cool technology that he wanted to show off and be on the cutting edge of. Right. And so he he worked backwards from that. And so like, because I think really if he wanted to, if he really wanted to tell the stories that he wanted to tell, he wouldn't have done it how he did it. Yeah. You know well, I mean? that's I got so angry, not really angry, but uh, mock angry at. Our friend Ken Beck uh, showed the Star Wars movies to his wife, Catherine Mudon. Right. In episode order. She'd never seen them. And he showed her episodes one, two, three, four, five, six. And I was like, Ken, what are you doing? That is not right. Yeah. It's not the right order to watch them in. Regardless of the number, no one should watch them that way. It makes no sense to watch them that way. I also don't buy machete order. Right. I think there is a proper order to watch those movies, and that is four, five, and six, and then not. Yeah, and then you can let them know that. Let them know that there are these other things that exist. It's like the, you know, you know, what it should be treated like Grady Oak Adventure, Caravan of Courage. Yeah, those movies are or more Star Warsy than than I. I would recommend either Ewok movie over any prequel. They're at least a little fun. Yeah, and but I'm saying like. It's not like people are like, oh, the evil witch Bev Morda. Yeah. That ruins it. Exactly. Yeah. And I just recently, because for Griffin and David's... What's the witch's name? Bev Morda's Willow. It doesn't matter. Uh, Truly doesn't matter what the names of the characters are in the Ewok movies. (laughs) Even if you like them, it doesn't matter. I'm going to look it up. Uh, Nothing could matter less than what the names of the characters are in the Ewok movie. They could have called his character Wilford Brimley, and it wouldn't have changed the quality of that movie. <laughs> if they were just like, Wilford Brimley, get over here. Um, but the uh, um, I recently, for David and Griffin's Star Wars podcast, I did an episode where I pretended to be George Lucas, and then we did a live show where we watched episode three. And I have not seen episode three since the one time I saw it in the theater. Right. And I saw it probably maybe three or four weeks after it came out, which that's kind of an amazing thing to think of, that there was a time when I was so eagerly anticipating new Star Wars movies, and by the time they got to episode three, I was waiting almost a month to see it. Right. 
just because I was not in any hurry. And watching it again, I was amazed by how completely boring I think almost every moment of that movie is. Like, I, there's no part of me that wants to see any more. And this is from a guy, this is from a filmmaker who's made some of my favorite things that I've ever experienced. He's directly responsible for some of the things that right. are the, the most joyful artistic experiences. I, I, it's been funny playing him as a character for two years because I've obviously, as I've demonstrated, I get kind of defensive about him now in the sense that <clears throat> for good and bad, I think he never stopped being ambitious creatively. It's just that the areas in which he's ambitious were not total in that, like he didn't get more ambitious in terms of writing characters. Well, right. He didn't get ambitious in terms of, uh, for someone who refers to himself as a storyteller, I don't think that he got better at it. You know, um, I think he got, like you were saying, he got more ambitious with the tools and the kind of software and hardware of how to make these things. But never got to the point where he was like, oh, you know what would be a cool way to reveal this? You know? Um, But it's interesting. One of the things that's been very interesting in playing this character and then the recent interviews that he's done about the new Star Wars movie, which I think we're both very excited about, um, is uh, things that I made up about him as a character have come true. Yes. Like, I've been talking... I didn't have any public statement or any idea how he really felt about J.J. and the new Star Wars movie. Right. But I've been very passive-aggressive all the way along, referring to it as fan fiction, saying it doesn't count, saying they don't listen to me. Uh, And I knew that part. I knew that they didn't listen to him. I knew that he had ideas and they'd rejected them. So I was just inferring from that. But I never would have predicted that he would have said things like, uh, it was clear they wanted to make a movie for the fans... And I was more interested in telling what happened. I know. Or when, which, which or, sounds so insane. As if it, it as makes if, him sound like a crazy person. Or the very passive aggressive response he had to seeing the film. Did you read that? No. I mean, I want to get the wording exactly right. Okay. First, Kathleen Kennedy, who's the head of Lucasfilm now, she came out and said that George liked it. And then someone asked Lucas about. Um, about seeing it and his quote that he gave was um, that fans oh yeah he said I think the fans are going to love it it's very much the kind of movie they've been looking for that's such a fascinating quote because it also is just like there's actually an open admission buried within this that he did not make the prequels for the fans, meaning the people like, it's almost like I never intended you to like these. I don't think that's what he means, but like, there's a sort of a subconscious, like, uh, admission that those movies were not enjoyable. Yeah. That it's just what happened. You know, it was funny because I actually had never watched the second or third prequels. Really? Yeah. You didn't watch them when they came out. I watched the first one that came out. And I believe I watched the second one when it came out. Yeah. But I saw it once and then was like, Me too. Never again. Second one's the worst one. And then I never watched the third one just because I wanted, I wanted the Schrodinger's box of right. movies of just like, if I don't watch it, it can't be bad. The third one got inexplicably charitable reviews when it came out. And that's, that's because of that. I didn't watch it. I just liked, um, 
I've, I've mentioned this before. In the um, booklet that comes with the um, Best of Spike Jones music videos and short films DVD, right. um, Spike Jones, there's a couple essays he has where he talks about what inspires him. And he has one little sort of, not throwaway moment, but like one of, th- one of the things he talks about is how he's actually more inspired by things he hasn't seen than things he has seen. Interesting. Because um, the idea of what something is is oftentimes you build it up in your head to be something yeah. more specific and unique and interesting than what it actually is. Yeah. And I think that's very much true. Um, and so for me, I sort of had that effect with the third Star Wars movie where people are like, it's actually good. I... I in my head then you get to write the Star Wars movie that is a third satisfying yeah. good movie. There's a part of me there's a part of me that I don't I don't know what the likelihood of this even being possible is. It certainly wouldn't happen while George Lucas is alive, but there's a part of me that envisions a day when Disney will decide the same way they threw out the expanded universe of novels and yeah. the things. There's a part of me that imagines a day when Disney will say, We're gonna make episodes one, two, and three and we're just going to let some good writers and directors of today imagine right. how we got to episode four and really try to make it link up. Yeah. Like, I think if you made, like, think how cool it would have been. Well, that was the dream. That was the promise always. That was the promise. But here's a detail that you may or may not know that I had forgotten from the end of episode three, which it's almost played as like a subtle joke that when you get to Darth Vader at the end of episode three, all of a sudden, Everyone, all the machines look more like they did at the beginning of New Hope. Right. The sets look more like that. It's almost like they did a technology, like a rebranding of the Empire or something. Right. And and as I was watching that scene in the uh, recent screening of it, I was like, wouldn't it have been cool if the whole thing had been handled with that kind of like, let's make it feel like it links up? Instead of feeling like it's a completely different universe. Well, that's how I feel. Like, I feel that about Prometheus as well. Right. Is so like Prometheus is the prequel to Alien. Yeah. But all the technology they use in Prometheus yeah. is way more advanced than the technology on the ships in Alien or Aliens. Yeah. And I'm always like, why didn't you just stick to that aesthetic? Yeah. Why did you have to have these hollow screens and all this garbage? Yeah. It's it feels bad. Like, do you remember the yeah. the sensor screen in Alien? It was like. A it was red like a tandy box. computer. It was like a red box with a red dot in it. And yeah. the red dot was where the alien was. And that's yeah. what was so exciting. And then cut to Prometheus and they have all these weird... Like, yeah, everything's... A little thing that flies around and does a 3D map. So I feel the exact same way. I think... Because um, I remember there are always the rumors mm-hmm. after Star Wars, after Jedi came out, and there was, no, there was nothing was being made, that George Lucas was like... I want to make three movies after and three movies before. Mm-hmm. The movies before are about Darth Vader before he turns bad, and the movies after are about what happens to like Luke Skywalker and all those guys afterwards. And it was always that was so exciting to me. Ooh, yeah. And if he'd only done that, and I think honestly, just stuck to that promise. Yeah. The three movies are about Darth Vader before he turns bad, because that's not what these movies are about. The movies that they made are about fucking some insane trade garbage. I see, and I, the, the whole reason I started saying this, I had not watched the second one until I did Griffin and David's podcast, and they asked me to do it. Yeah. So I bought it on my iPod. Yeah. Or I, iPhone, whatever, whatever yeah. it is, so I could watch it. Yeah. 
And I, I ended up watching a couple times just because I was so confused yeah. as to how and why someone would think that this should be a movie. Should be a movie that made any sense. Like, this is territory that I covered on the podcast, but like, there's a whole. They visit a planet. Yeah. Where these aliens have perfected cloning. And they can just clone endless amounts of troops from Django Fett. Yeah. And they just do it. And these aliens are like, just sort of chill with it. Just the implementation of that one thing yeah. ruins the entire universe of Star Wars. When you know there's just like a sort of chill alien race that's willing to clone anyone and anything. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, then how come – then how – then why did they choose – then that solves every – you know what I mean? Like that solves everything. Why on earth would they think like there's nothing uh, – there's just so many frustrating things about that. There's just so many frustrating things. And the whole movie, every step of it makes less and less sense and gets more and more tied into all this bizarre – it's not story. It's like uh, it's like justification for what's going on. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. I can't stand it. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I remember the one sequence in Attack of the Clones that felt like it had any merit was when he's arriving at that planet, when you're like, what's going to happen? Yeah. There's like a sense of intrigue. And then the thing that actually happened is so kind of underwhelming. Right. Because... The best thing in the trilogies, and I've probably said this before on the, on the podcast, the best thing in the prequel trilogy is the sequence in Phantom Menace during the lightsaber battle, which is kind of a fun lightsaber battle, where Obi-Wan gets trapped behind that red door and has to watch helplessly while yeah. Qui-Gon gets killed. And it's the fact of those red doors, that kind of unexplained thing that you're like, ooh, yeah, the original movies had this thing where you're like, they don't explain everything. Right. You don't know why everything exists, but it all has like a purpose. Yeah. And that was the one detail in that first movie that felt like... It was like, ooh, I'm getting that feeling of, like, this is cool right. and fun. And there was a little moment of that in Attack of the Clones just when he arrives on that planet. You're like, what's this planet? And oh, that, it's, it's the beginning of Jedi when yeah, like he where goes up the, the wall and the eye pops. It's like, yeah. yeah. And there's so much of that that there, where there's, like, even the Ewoks, there's, like, a mystery about what are these things? Are these things going to kill everybody? Like, what? Yeah. Um, that's what's amazing to me about how, like, for a long time, like for a decade, we lived in a world, or well, I lived in the world. How, what year were you born? What's that? What year were you born again? What year do you think I was born? I don't want to do the math of it, J.D. You're a wunderkind, you know? 88. Yeah, so you, you had very little time in the world where the Ewoks were, like, talked about in, like, yeah. harsh terms. Yeah. But there was a... I had a full decade where people would talk about Return of the Jedi the way people talk about Jar Jar Binks now. Right. Where they're like, the Ewoks ruined Star Wars. Now... I kind of think that's almost a fringe opinion. Like, that's sort of like someone saying, like, let's put out this tiny brush fire in the corner while a nuclear bomb is going off. Yes, because... Because the Ewoks have a... Like, the things that are wrong with the Ewoks, you can still, even someone who hates the Ewoks, you could be like, but isn't it a little charming? And maybe get them to concede, like, sure. Exactly. It's much harder to do that with anything that tries to be charming in the prequels. Well, because nothing... Yeah. Um... And David Sims, I think, recently tweeted this, and it's something that I couldn't put my finger on until he said it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is what's wrong. Every alien in Star Wars, the prequels, speaks English. Yeah. 
which that was not the case. Yeah. In the original. Right. Which is what made them so great. This job of the hut needed subtitles and like, you know, like there's all these different languages and things like that and I don't know. We've not, we've become a parody of our own podcast. Right now? Well, we've spent the first like five hours of the podcast discussing art. Well, discussing Star Wars. We, oh, that was just the last Lost. little. That was just like the last hour. Um, I have other things that we can talk about. Um, well, because we are obviously excited about the, we're, right now. We're living in that period oh of wonder. God. We're living in that we period of discussed. What I mean, I don't know what has happened since the last episode. Lots of stuff. I got a bunch of stuff written down in terms of reminders of things that okay. happened. But like. Um, we should say today is SantaCon. If we, we haven't left my apartment, but that's something that we could be. Oh um, God, I hate SantaCon. Could be running into. Um, the uh, yeah, I'm right. I was looking at a bunch of stuff. Um, we're right now. We're in that period of wonder. By the time this is released, we will have seen the new Star Wars movie. Yeah, so, Connor and I are going to. Um, in less than a week, mm-hmm. it comes out Thursday night. And on Friday morning, Connor and I are going to watch Star Wars at 11 a.m. Um, at first, I, w- I wanted to see it that opening night because I thought that'd be fun and exciting. But number one, tickets sold out within like 10 seconds. And then on top of that, Connor made a good point, which was that it's all just going to be every time a character comes on screen or a song plays or the titles come up, it'll just be applause and cheering and shouting and i think connor and I are both people who want to watch the movies and enjoy them yeah and so 11 a.m on a friday feels like a lot more of a crowd of people that will be like us that will be still excited to see it but less um less trying to get a, less less trying to use the energy of the movie as an excuse for them to celebrate vocally celebrate and cheer and yeah, I feel like, I mean, it might still happen. There's no guaranteeing it, obviously. All it takes is a few people to create a bad atmosphere. But see, I'm not, I'm not against the shouting and cheering. What I'm against is, like, 15-year-olds doing it just because, just because it's socially okay to do it. Yeah. Them using that as an excuse to go hog wild to sort of, like, show off to their friends. Well, yeah, and there's things like... Here's what made me think it is because I, I did George Lucas at Comic-Con uh, for, a, for a panel discussion, like a tr- fun trivia panel thing, and uh, Patrick Connor and I were able to use our passes to go see the first episode of the new X-Files, right? Uh, which I'm very excited about coming out soon. Uh, and we liked it, but the problem with the screening was that every time... Uh, the uh, every time that like a character sent a text message or did something that hadn't happened in the old series, right? People would be like, "Oh my god, Scully sent a text!" And, and it was just like we missed lines of dialogue because people were getting so excited about certain things. Where like a right. character would show up and people would scream, and you'd miss the joke that they told, you know? Right. Um. And the um. And there was just a lot of that. There was a lot of that. And I was like, I don't want my first experience of the new Star Wars movie to be a 3D IMAX screening where everybody is going nuts. Right. Where, like, yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be fun no matter what. Yeah. Um, 
What are the big? What are the? What are some of the big things that we should talk about since? So the last one was recorded at the wedding. That was in at August, right? So, um, what are the big things that have happened since then? Um, still waiting for the Get There show. Yeah, there's probably some. There's developments happening all along, but things that can't, that I don't know about, things that you know about, things that are not public knowledge in right. terms of conversations There's being had. There's nothing publicly going on right now. Uh, but it's not dead. No. There's still hope. Exactly. We shot Cop Show Seasons 2 and 3, mm-hmm. which Connor was in. Yeah. Season 2. Um... I think there's other stuff. Um, God, what, what is there? What I know where there's mysteries. Yeah. It's been a... You we, know what's been cool? What? I mean, maybe I can't be the one to say this. What? But it's been cool to see Terry Withers go from being a show that we created and put together that people sort of like rooted for. Mm-hmm. To being a show that I think now is like maybe one of the more successful shows at the theater. Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of people, and I, I feel a little bit more comfortable like boasting about Terry Withers because I'm, we're not the we're magic. not the yeah. uh, when we're boasting about it, it's often like the people who are in it are so great, and uh, that it's it doesn't feel like, and it also has to do with you know. The uh, the way that I've had a lot of people say to me that it's like their favorite thing they've ever seen at the theater and things like that. And that certainly feels good because the kind of people who are saying it are, are people who've seen a lot of stuff yeah, exactly. at the theater. Um, and uh, the... Uh, like I had some friends come... That's the other thing that I like is that people come for the first time ever and really enjoy it. I had some friends come that are not improv people, are not comedy people. Right. Are in this world but don't aren't like, you know, at UCB every night. Yeah. And they came and saw it. And it was like one of our more it was the episode where Jay was killed, which has a lot of inside references and things like that. And they really, really loved it. They enjoyed it. They really enjoyed it. Oh, that's great. Which was like a cool proof of concept that the show works both for people for the first time and for people that come every month. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been, uh, um, well, I guess we can probably talk, we can talk, uh, ahead of what is known right now because this isn't going to be released by Friday. Yeah, probably. It probably won't be. Um, we'll bleep it if it is. Um, so in the well, last now, now it won't be released by Friday. Um, you've you've secured the the fate of it. Um, ideally, I don't think this would be the ideal week to release it anyway. Um, really, you don't think we should release it? Don't you think, people, think right before the uh, people go on their holiday break? That's don't when you people, think people are want it for their holiday break. Yeah, I know, but this this Friday isn't the holiday break. I'd say this Saturday might be a great day to release it. You know what I mean? That gives us right. a little okay. Um, so guys, ble- so, blame Connor for it coming out. Yeah, if we release this on Thursday and you listen to all 12 hours, I mean, the worst thing would be if you release it Friday morning and someone listened to it at 
uh, 6.30 a.m. and got spoiled. <laughs> or, like, yeah. or like 1 in the afternoon or something got as spoiled. As they're walking to the show. As they're walking to the show. But um, we killed off Noah Foreman's character of Jay in uh, the November show, which was something that we had been planning since the show began. We'd been knowing we wanted to do... When we were talking about dream guests for the show, we were talking about who would be great as killers and different kinds of possibilities. And we were like, well, Connor O'Malley, when he's, we have him do the killer, we have to just give him carte blanche to be in, as insane as he wants to be. Just do the most fucked up character. Right. And we also should have a big dramatic thing happen that, that we knew we, we needed to get a lot of shows under our belt before we could do something like this. And so we ended the show by having uh, Noah leaves and then he comes back in and then at a certain point starts spitting up blood and it's revealed that he's poisoned. And we've been talking for a few months about doing it. We've been saying, like, should we do it next month? When should we get Connor O'Malley? And I think it was during the show two months ago when uh, Terry and Noah... Uh, Terry said something about how he and Jay weren't really good friends and the audience really hated it. And then, then they spent the rest of the show kind of rebuilding that bond for the audience. And then when they hugged each other in one of the last scenes, the audience like really, really liked it. Right. And you and I kind of looked at each other, and we were kind of like, we got to get Connor next month. Like, we knew we had them. Right. Well, it was this kind of thing where when you – I feel you can always test how well characters or storylines are hitting with when you put those things in peril or when yeah. you question them. Yeah. And you see how the audience responds. And so when we saw our audience get emotionally affected by – the fact that there might be some tumult in the relationship between Terry and Noah, it felt like, oh. Because then when they got back together, it was this, like, very powerful thing. Yeah. So we knew that it's like, oh, if we, oh, they we will... killed off a character. And we also knew, because originally, I think when we were first, like, brainstorming how to make it work as a show, and we were figuring out who would be in it, we were like, we think Noah should be Terry's partner. Right. And uh, I think there was, when we were first talking with I remember talking with Noah at one point... And I was saying, like, oh, maybe we'll even, like, kill your character off at some point. And Noah was immediately like, please don't kill my character off. Right. And then once we actually did a few shows, I think we immediately knew, like, we would never kill Noah off. Exactly. Because he's too good in the show. Is our solution too insane? No. It's not. Because it's it would so be, insane. It would be too insane only if we hadn't already introduced this element into the show. That's true. That's true. Like, that's what's perfect about it is that... We don't know exactly how it's going to go down because I, I, I do want to clarify, like, J.D. and I have to plan things uh, for the show, but when we do plan something, it's usually, that, it's usually as a surprise for someone else in the show, and we never know how they're going to like, react to it. The thing we'll plan is, like, we'll tell like when, the cast members... Make sure this happens. Right. Like, get to this point. We have this wait. We have this gift waiting for you if you can get to this point. Like, the biggest example was we decided for, in one of the shows, for it to be Terry's birthday. In real life, it wasn't his birthday. So we knew if the characters threw Terry, the character, a surprise birthday party, it would be a genuine surprise to Terry. And then how would he react to it? Exactly. What we couldn't have predicted is he walked into a scene and, like, 
12 characters are there with a birthday cake for him. What we couldn't have predicted was that Louis Vega would then insist on Terry eating the birthday cake. The entire cake. Even though it was frozen. We had just bought it from the yeah. uh, freezer section. It was like one of those Pepperidge Farms frozen cakes. That you're supposed to like leave for a few hours to thaw right. out. And there were no utensils. And it became hilarious. It was like, if we'd planned like, make him eat the cake, that would not have been fun. Yeah. And so we were just like, surprise birthday party and then see what happens. It could be that Terry would be like, it's not my birthday. And then they have to like deal with that. Right. Um, so a few months ago, um, well, when we decided a part of the decision making for, well, we want to kill Jay off, but we also want to bring him back. So part of the, it was the timing that we'll kill him in November and we'll bring him back as a Christmas miracle. Exactly. Um, because a Christmas special feels like a time when you can do that. You can have a Christmas wish come true or something. Exactly. But a few months ago when Brian McCann was the killer, and we've we started to get to the point, I'm, I'm actually kind of amazed it hasn't, we haven't had a problem with someone doing the same game as this a killer. Because there's so many tropes. There's so many tropes. Like it's very easy to... And we've gotten to the point where we kind of have to tell the killers a couple of main ones that they can't do. Like, don't reveal your Terry's biological father, because we've already done that. Right. Um... I'm kind of astounded that we haven't done one where we're like, oh, no, it's the same thing, you know? Right. Um, but I think the thing is that they're all so specifically weird. The improvisers are also different. That There's been a couple that have similar tenors to them. Yeah. For example, like Scott Atzett and the Gethard one are, like, not too far off. But the specifics were so different, yeah. Exactly. And how they manifest themselves because and, – and- Scott's it, Scott's thing of convincing Terry to resign from the police. No one had done that before. Yeah, and oh god, that was one of the funniest scenes of all time. Yeah, of like, no, I'm the detective. Oh well, god, yeah. Which one of you is there? And then the back, like the it was like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. It was. It was like a classic comedy routine. Oh. Um, but anyway, so Brian McCann was the. I think that was the episode where we started telling the killers because at that point we'd almost been doing it a year. And, uh, the, we told him like, here's some things you shouldn't do because they've already been done. Right. Like, don't say that you were pretending to be Terry and all this time because Michael Bryan had done that. Don't do this because that's been that, uh, don't be the founder of Wendy's because uh, right. Scott Adds did that, you know? And he was like, okay, okay. And what we did not expect was that he would identify himself he would confess to the killings, but identify himself as an alien from the planet Comenity. Um, and so last week, J.D. and I were talking about, well, how do we want to bring... Because the last episode ended with Jay being poisoned and, and dying. visibly dying with like blood and all yeah. on stage. And then this lights turn red. Terry screams as this dramatic song plays. Yeah. You can watch the scene online. I, I advise looking online for this clip. Uh it's yeah. called, um, the clip is called uh, Poison Milkshake. You can find it online. If you Google Terry Withers Mysteries and Poison Milkshake, you'll find, I think, a very, very watchable clip from the show. Yeah, you did a good job editing it. Um, yeah, we had to edit out some improv that uh, was good, but not great for a clip. Um, it was, uh, uh, edited out some parts that got laughs, but were not uh, on strictly on point. Yeah. Uh, the, but th having ended it that way, we're going to bring Jay back. Jay's not going to be his partner for most of the show this week. And then we're going to bring him back 
uh, and it, I actually love the fact that we are part of, uh, I won't reveal all of them to you, we are part of a current trend in television, which is uh, TV deaths that are not deaths. Right. There are a lot of, that is a big trend in a lot of TV shows, and we were planning this uh, in December, November and December of 2014. We're like, we'll kill him and we'll bring him back. We're ahead of it. Ahead of the curve. Although maybe they were in production at the same time. It was just in the zeitgeist. What can we do next? I don't know. I mean, as a big thing. We keep topping ourselves. Yeah. I mean, 2016 is going to be a tricky year for, you know, we've burned through a lot of the guests that we know personally um, that, that are... Uh, we want the guests to always be like, and I don't have this week's killer booked yet. Anyway, we haven't even talked about it. Um, Wait, is there one though? Yeah. There'll still be a murder. There'll still be a case to solve. But is there going to be a, yeah, there'll still be a interrogation room. Yeah. There'll still be an interrogation room. It'll be a less, uh, we're going to be juggling those two things, but we're going to have, I sent you this email that had the outline of the show. Did you read it? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And I responded to it. Um, the, but I thought it was going to be scene one crime scene John Murray is his vision of his partner his right. ex-partner scene two the first investigation scene uh, with Ghost of Christmas Past yes. helping him with the case but also showing him the vision of yeah, exactly. his partner dying uh, Sebastian still not sold on that what the, playing the clip during it not with sound as a just a ghostly vision on the wall right um Still nervous about it. Still nervous about it? Oh, just as a tech thing? Just as like a visual thing. Um, just to, I, don't want it to, I, don't, I don't want the comedy of it to be that it's like a cheap, lame thing. I don't think it will because I think we'll have it as a previously on clip before the opening credit sequence. Right. So people who haven't seen it know this happened. But I think it's an important thing to set up for the reveal at the end that like your partner died. Yeah. We, and- should, do, we should do like a vignette around it so it's like it goes black into the image so just a circle. Yeah. It feels like a vision and not like a square TV screen and not have the screen down. You know, we never have the screen down. But I think it should be like, we should... I edited a ver- I've edited i edited some clips, some versions of it. I can do send them to you and see if you want to do yeah. something to them. Um, but, and then for Sebastian for Ghost of Christmas Present or Vision of Christmas Present. And that's scene two. Yeah. That's uh, the second scene after the... Second scene after third, the... Third scene, technically. Yeah, exactly. Um... But they'd still be invest. Terry's still investigating the crime. Yes. But he has these visions that are also distracting him during the death. We'll just make sure that because Terry still has his monologues where he's like solving the crime, yeah. but also is like these visions. Then if we go to the interrogation scene, Ghost of Christmas Future is in that scene. Okay. With him. Great. Solves that crime. I think we'll just edit those scenes harder in terms of we'll just be telling Terry. Also remember when you get your monologue to like, I think the mystery is less important this month. And he can just solve it in the monologue. Like, I need to go to this place, talk to this person, distracted by the ghost, but then in the interrogation scene, solve the mystery. Right. And, and we then, have to make sure the game of every scene isn't them going like, hey, how come you're not talking to me? Yeah. We're going to tell the, um, the guest improvisers to uh, lay off that game, but also don't notice the ghosts. Yes. Like, almost like he's in monologue uh, mode when he's talking to the ghosts. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, then our our killer should be someone. It'll be a shorter killer scene. Yeah. Well, I'll get someone good. Don't worry. Exactly. Um, but so a couple of people are going to feel, uh, uh, a couple of people are going to feel burned, I think, by the fact that we 
pretended to kill off a character and then he's not dead. But I think the way we're going to resolve it, it won't have changed the fact that Jay did die. Um, yeah, the way I think it should happen. Once we introduce aliens into the mythology of it, we introduce a sci-fi element that justifies it. Yeah. All the gifts have been given. Yeah. Oh, well, we can't really do this, though. Never mind. What? We can't do this. Well, because, like, the ideal version of it, which we're not going to get to because we can't tell Terry to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. We cannot tell Terry to do a thing. But it's like the ideal version is, like... None of these gifts given, mean anything. And then Terry's, like... No, these are all fine gifts. I just... There's something I'm missing. There's something I'm missing. Yeah. And, he might and, do that and anyway. suddenly it's <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Yeah, we can't do that, but... Or it shouldn't be knock, knock, knock. We can what play that be, sound effect and have him enter. What it should be... Through the curtain. Exactly. What it should be is... Gifts are given. It feels like we're getting to the end. Uh, we should have one person that's, uh, you know, that we let know to do this. Yeah. That's supposed to go, is that all the presents, Terry? Like, you know what I mean? It has a line where it's like, it looks like that's all the presents. Something like that. Louis can probably do that. Exactly. And then at a certain, then the moment that's said, suddenly the sound effect goes, then the lights should flash green. Yeah. And it should be like a, and like maybe even smoke pours out. And then McCann comes out mm-hmm. and explain, you know, comes to wish, <laughs> wish Terry a happy holidays on behalf of the planet. And humanity. And that as a sign of, uh, you know, earth customs, they've, they've brought a gift as well. Yeah. And, and here's, then, what, here's what I have to ask for you. Uh, I want to put you in charge of figuring out the practical element of how we reveal Noah. Yes. The three... I feel like there's a giant box. Mm-hmm. There's wrapping around his body. So it like, looks like, a, you know, how you'd wrap like a yeah. doll in yeah. a cartoon, but like yeah. human-sized. Yeah. And then there's a version where he just comes out. I think there's also another version. This would maybe require more uh, pyrotechnics on your part where there's some sort of egg that he hatches out of. <laughs> I, I, That's maybe more work than it's worth. And I, that, uh, I want to avo- avoid showing the imagery uh-huh. of... Um, Commandity? Of, of that technology because I think it'll make... It'll add weird... Like, but isn't like, there something about... If he's in his full suit, but he, like, hatches out of something? I think it's funny, but I think it makes it makes him seem like a weird character then. Like, not really Jay. Well, he isn't really Jay, but he has all of Jay's memories. But what I, Exactly. But what I'm saying is, our what we really want our audience to just believe that he's Jay at a certain point. You know, when they watch him next time, we want them to just feel like it's Jay again. Oh, yeah. It's, we're going to treat it like that. But that's what I'm saying. If he comes out of an egg, it's an image you might never, never be able to get out of your head. I'm actually okay with that. I think it makes it feel like he might be some fucking psychopath. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, Jay already murdered somebody. I know, but it makes it feel like... I'm not afraid to make people have, be, feel a little weird about Jay from now on. What if... Oh, man, how could we do this? <laughs> this is insane. What? What if, like... Oh, we don't have to do this. But, like, what if, like, the knock at the door is, uh, what if it's, like, John Murray or someone? Oh, fuck. You know who should have been a ghost? Who? Jeremy Bent's character. Who? I mean, he 
can't probably practically do it. But the police chief who died of cancer. Oh, right. Do we say he died? I think we did. I think we just said that privately. Because <laughs> Bucky can't do it. Exactly. I reached out to Bucky people, but they have their show. They can't do it. Uh, but I was going to say, what if the knock on the doors, they come back? Someone's like, someone's like, Kerry, we got bad news. Um, a, a J has killed, has committed a murder. Like, there, right. there's multiple clones running <laughs> Yeah. I mean. It just turns into like a sci-fi. I mean, that probably gets us into like Rick and Morty territory. Yeah, uh, But, I mean, ideally, my if I had unlimited budget, I would have uh, Brian McCann enter and his body would be like weirdly like swollen and he would birth Jay. <laughs> like if I could, if I had unlimited practical special effects, I just think he wouldn't be able to look at Jay the same way. Every I'm time. actually fine with that, but I would be fine with that because he would still do shows where he'd play, be playing that role. And there'd just be people who'd be like, we saw him like come out of Brian McCann's womb. I just feel like it's alien like- birth womb. To me, the idea of ending the Christmas special with, I brought you a gift and having a swollen, disgusting Brian McCann with a full body, Noah Foreman in the suit come birth out of him would be so funny. I think it would be, but it'd be so weird in a way that I think would hurt Noah's character. Maybe. Um, <clears throat> one thing that's happened since the last podcast, I think, was Project Greenlight airing. Oh, yeah. Can you talk about that while you're in Russia? Yeah. Um, which, for those of you who watch Project Greenlight, um, you may have, if you watch all the episodes, you will have seen a clip which featured uh, me acting among several other uh, if you watch UCB things, several other actors and, and uh, people on the New York comedy scene. Uh, and I was very surprised to see it in the episode because basically all of the top ten finalists had to film the same like three-page script by the Farrelly brothers. And I was in the, the winning short, the, the one that Jason Mann directed. And I think everybody else tried to make a wacky, it was kind of a wacky, goofy script, and all the other finalists tried to do it kind of wacky goofy, and he tried to do it a little bit more um, dark and subtle was the tone, a little bit sort of like sadder and bleaker kind of comedy, uh, which was more to his liking and certainly more to my style. Um, and But w- we were under the impression, those of us who acted in it, that it was only going to be for the Project Greenlight website. So I was kind of surprised when it aired... Um, and then we did some digging around uh, just through contacting SAG and finding out, like, what's the deal with this exactly? Um, and it turned out to be a little bit a little bit weird, but ultimately it was a thing that was not worth pursuing in terms of uh, most of the deals for the shorts had been made so that as long as HBO doesn't show the full three-minute short, uh, then they don't have to... They can show as many clips as they want. My fi- I like how this is still the narrative of your experience. Yeah. That you always include that element of it. Yeah. Um, well, because it is weird to watch Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and a bunch of producers on HBO sitting on a couch being paid to be on a TV show watching me act for a thing that was unpaid. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yes. it, it's, a, it's a bizarre experience even without that element. Um, but... Um, one fascinating thing about watching the the show, if you watched it, is that they really did make Jason Mann into kind of a villainous figure. And a lot of that was through, you know, leaving out 
key things to make it look sometimes like he was making decisions that if you actually know what actually happened when they were making the feature film for that, like they make a big narrative about him not choosing a location and it's made him to look like he's just like, nothing's good enough for him and he's dithering at the expense of other people's like uh, jobs being able to be done right. And what they leave out is that the whole production is actually thinks they're getting another location. They're like trying to negotiate a deal for a better location. Right. But they, by leaving that out, it's just all put on the narrative of like, this guy's screwing it up. Right. And my experience of working with him on the short um, is that from what I can, what I can tell of having worked with him on that and watching the show is that they actually turned a lot of things that I think are virtues into uh, bad qualities. Like he never blows up at anyone. He never loses his cool on the set. He's right. like respectful to everybody that he talks to and uh, calm and makes his decisions and doesn't throw a tantrum. And all the things that would make for like normally would make for like really easy to make reality TV. Like in some ways, I feel like they maybe did a great job of crafting a bunch of conflict out of some very minor right. uh, tense moments that I think happen on almost anything. You know, like I feel you could probably. If someone had full access to the making of, like, The Gethard Show and chose to emphasize certain things and leave out other things, you could make it look like, oh, yeah. oh my God, no one's speaking to anyone, you know, yeah. or even though that's not true at all. Right. But you could easily just, like, edit one day when it was, like, someone walking off by themselves and then you saying, like, are they not at the meeting? Yeah. And then make it look like, oh, that person never came to a meeting. Right. And then you just choose to, like, edit out those things. So it's been very interesting. Like, I had Jason on my, on George Lucas Talk Show as a guest. And someone tweeted when I announced it. I was like, hey, it's going to be a fun show this week. We have Jason Mann from Project Greenlight and Nicole Byer. And someone with, uh, uh, on, on Twitter uh, tweeted, uh, Jason Mann is completely unlikable. Pass. And this was someone tweeting from Milwaukee. Right. And I immediately responded to them and I said, um, oh, you've met him? Or are you basing this on a TV show you watched? Because based on this tweet alone, you seem like an asshole. Be nicer. And that was my tweet to them. And then they responded to me and said, uh, nice chatting. And I was like, no, no, no. We are not ending on you taking some sort of like mock high road when you were the one who was rude. Right. And completely like uncalled for comment about someone you don't know because you've seen 10 episodes of a reality series. And uh, then I started tweeting at them a little more. And I was like... Uh, saying that, like, I don't know why you would feel that it was worthwhile to RSVP in such a rude way for a show that you cannot attend. Like, what made you think that this was, like, a necessary piece of communication? And they finally tweeted back, and they were like, um, you're right, uh, I'm sorry I said that about your friend. Uh, the TV show made him look like a douche. I hope he's not a douche. I'm sorry. Right. And then I tweeted back, I'm like, thank you. I actually really do appreciate this. Right. Because that is the way people should talk to each other on the internet. Instead of everyone immediately being assholes because they think, well, I'm never going to meet this person. Like, the percentage of people who behave like assholes to other people because it's virtual. Right. Is way out of whack with the way most, I mean, there's, you still do find assholes in real life, but most of the time everyone's looking at them like, what's their problem? Yeah. Uh, unless they have a lot of power, in which case everyone's acting like, um, what would you like? What would you like next, sir? 
But it's been very interesting to watch when you have some knowledge of an actual thing, of, of, of what an actual person is like, and then you watch as a very, a very entertaining TV series kind of turns them into someone that people feel comfortable just openly expressing like that they know that this person's like this as a person. Yeah, and I will say too, as a performer, as a director, writer, whatever we are, um, your creative persona and the things that you do when you're making the things that you make are different from the person you are. Yeah. Um, just necessarily. Um, and I don't think it's fair. I think we've we've blended those too much. Right. And it's, you know, I don't think it's the fault of the people observing to feel like those things are linked because they are. But there should be a boundary up between them. You know, yeah, and I think that's that's the danger of reality television and all this this dot craze and all this stuff is that um, this is so insane for me to be saying this. Why? Because just the the context. I was about to say like we give people too much of a window into who we are without them really knowing us. Right on it. On a twelve-hour-long podcast. Yeah, I say as I say that on a twelve-hour-long podcast. So yeah. I don't even know what this means anymore. Are you losing yourself or gaining I something? I think I just. I think I just. Uh, this, this my circle of thought moved to negative infinity and disappeared into like I just became an existential cloud of yeah what's happening right now. Um. Well, here's the thing. Like, this will transition into kind of talking about a thing that I've been working on a little bit, which is the, the Christmas special, the Spirit of Ratliff special. And I'll say something that's in the special that's not in the special. So if you've listened this far in, it's sort of like we've un- you're unlocking the button of like the thing I don't right. want to talk about in that. I'll talk about now many hours into this. Um, there was a part... We're making this, you know, the, the uh, Keith Haskell and Rob Malone made the Spirit of Gethard specials when Gethard show was on MNN. And it was largely just a, um, like a desire on their part to make a fun Christmas episode. And it was also, they would do it and it would be like everyone else would not have the burden of making another episode that week. So it was like, everybody gets a week off sort of, but Keith and Rob take charge of doing this right. weird special. And Gethard gives like a day of his time yeah. to it. So it's like less pressure on the, overall infrastructure on you and the, and everyone else working on the show um, and still give the show a chance to have a Christmas episode while also having that week off. Right. Um, so they did three of those. And then this year Gethard's busy and also like his whole, his life circumstance is different now than it was when the first spirit of Gethard was made. Yeah. You know, like Gethard uh, has better things to do now, I think, than like spend a day going up to repeat something he's already done three times, exactly. uh, chopping a tree down and doing weird stuff on camera. On camera. Um, yeah, if like what? If I feel like if we were like, let's go chop a Christmas, he'd be like, yeah, let's do it. But if we're like, we're gonna film it, making a thing, it'd be like, like ah, uh, I want you know, like because the other other side thing is. And I was actually talking about, about this with Keith, is that, because he was saying how it's actually been tough to do the spirit of Ratliff. Really? Just because what used to be fun was the adventure of embarking on these, this ambitious project. Yeah. And now just like, no, we know how to do this. 
Right. It's no longer really an adventure. It's more like, yeah, we know how to achieve this thing. And it's like, which of the things are we going to do or not? You know what I mean? Right. And I think originally going into this, like Keith was like, we want to do Spirit of Ratliff this time. And I think uh, this one's been more of a three-way collaboration in the sense that like, I think for Gether was like, when do you want me to show, when do you want me to show up or when do we start doing this? And then just like letting the day happen and they had certain ideas about what they wanted to do. Right. When we started this one out, originally Keith was like, well, maybe we can get Gethard to like drive us and we'll go chop down the tree and we'll do that because we've always done that. And then Gethard couldn't do it that day that we were all available. And so then Keith was like, well, we're going to have to rent a car to drive up to chop the tree down. I was like, really? Like, that's going to be expensive automatically that we're going to have to rent. Right. Like, we're already like losing money on this thing. It's like that's, $200 right there. Yeah. And I was like, do we really need to chop a tree down? He's like, well, we've always done it. I'm like, yeah, but you've done it three times. Like, maybe maybe we just do other things that are Christmassy. And and then my first thing was like, I want to write a bunch of songs for it to make it. Uh, right. Because he was like, originally he was like, I don't even know if you like Christmas. I'm like, are you kidding me? I love Christmas. And I have all these like opinions about Christmas and all these like rituals that are like important to me and that things that I think are like an interesting take that isn't everybody's take on Christmas. So I was like, immediately it was becoming a little bit more personal. Right. Um, in terms of it being like, kind of like, this is kind of like the, that fourth born identity movie that Jason Bourne wasn't in. Like that's right. a sort of relationship to the spirit of death and specials that it was kind of like, it's still sort of in world, but, uh, it's Halloween too. Yeah. And also I was sort of thinking about how, or three, all great Christmas Three? specials are... I haven't seen the Halloween movies. Really? Really. But you know that of the Halloween Yeah. You know the idea of it, too. Is yeah. It's Michael Myers, right? Yeah. And yeah. then the third one, it's not. Yeah. And it's about a ma an evil mask company that wants to make bugs come out of kids' faces. I don't think I knew that specific. Yeah. Um, but my thing that I was thinking about is the way Christmas specials are... The, the best ones are all real personal expressions of what the creators like yeah how they feel about it like Charlie Brown Christmas even though I think the I never fully understand the part where Linus quotes scripture I always think that it's like a cool moment it's cool he got it in and it was important to him but it never really makes sense to me in the narrative of the show it's kind of dig it because it's like ooh, it yeah. gets serious for a second that's kind yeah. of but it is like that special is like Charles Schultz and the uh, um, Lee Melendez and Bill Melendez like the 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 people who made that, they made this kind of personal expression. And I think, like, Tim Burton, Nightmare Before Christmas, that's very much like right. Henry Selig and Tim Burton. They had this vision for, like, we want to make this kind of a right. Christmas special. And uh, so I was very much like, oh, I want this Christmas special to have certain things like this in it. And then the way we've been making it, I've seen an early cut of part of it. And there's definitely parts of it that are like, oh, this part's very much like, Keith and Keith's sensibility or Rob's sensibility. Right. And then there's like the songs, which are a collaboration with me and Mikey. It's very much like got a little bit of each of us in the special. Um, but there's like one part that you'll see that like, I got the idea that they could do funny stuff in post, which I thought would also look stupid. 
But but I started going like it was not wintry when we filmed it. It was October, right. so I was like, "Oh my God, it's snowing! It's yeah. snowing!" And I'm like, "Look, it's Santa Claus!" And I was thinking they would do real hacky like graphics yeah. on it or something. And in the special itself, they don't do any effects on it. They just <laughs> film me straight. And at the end of it, Keith leans into the camera, it turns the camera on, and goes, "We're gonna edit this to make him look like an idiot." And and I was watching. I was like, "Yeah, that's fine. Like that, that's yeah. funny." Um, it's also a different sensibility in the sense that like. Uh, I'm so more used to the idea of like we build it together kind of thing yeah. that uh, I mean I guess you still have moves where improvisers like pimp you into something or set you up Right. you still have moves like that but it's like this is all that where it's like I think we're going to be building something and it's kind of like a sabotage move or something yes um, but there's one part that Keith kept in the special we had this email chain yesterday um, where there's a sequence where Keith wanted to talk about like, I made some comment that about not, me not having kids or something, and Keith was like, uh, "Wow, you're never gonna have kids?" He's like, "What?" Or something like that. He said something that was like, "Why? How do you know? Or, how do you know? Maybe you will." Or something like that. And I was like, "I don't want to talk about this in the special." And he was like, "Why not? Why don't you want to talk about it in the special?" And I was like, "Keith, because I don't. I just don't want to talk. I don't want it to be part of the special. Please." And he goes, "Well, can we?" Can we keep this part in, but we'll bleep what we're talking about, and we'll just talk about like what we're not talking about. We'll bleep over it. I was like, sure, yeah, if you want to bleep over it. So it's in the special. This whole part where I'm saying like I don't want to talk about beep in the special. Right. Well, can we ble- can we bleep it and talk about boop? Sure. And we have this in there. And then Keith in this email was like asking like, is this too much or is this what and or is this work or what do you think? And my response to Keith was, I'm fine as long as we don't do more with it than than this. Right. And I'm fine with it as it is, but, and then he was like asking more, he was like asking follow-up questions, and I was like, look, Keith, I just don't want this in there, and the reason for it is, uh, I mean, there's lots of reasons, but one reason is, I don't want this to be a thing, a, a special that my parents watch, and it makes them sad. Right. That won't be a fun project for me to have done. Yeah. And I was like, I, and I also don't want to make too much of it, because I don't want this to be a thing where it's like, Everyone's like, what's he talking about? And it becomes like this sad story that I have to tell people, you right. know? And the, and then I also said, as I was looking through the footage, editing for using some of it for one of the music videos that are in it, there was a part where we're decorating the tree here in my apartment and Rob kept filming with his camera. Uh, when I would bend over to get ornaments, he would film down my ass crack. And I was like, also, I don't want that in a special. And uh, Rob didn't even remember doing it. But I was like... I just don't want it in because, like, to me, it's not, it's not funny enough. It's also not the tone that I want for the special. Right. And, and also, in a way, it would also make my parents sad. Right. Like, I didn't do this to be a prank show on me. Like, I don't mind if I'm the object of... Ri- There's some parts where I am the joke of it, and I think it's funny. I don't think that's a funny enough joke that I like it. Right. And, it, and they were agreeable to it, but then Keith was like, can we use a screenshot of this email chain of you saying all the things you don't want in the special? And I was like, no, please. Like, at a certain point, like, I have to feel like I'm making this special with collaborators and not perpetrators. And you're like, you know? you're like, you're like wait, so wait, why didn't Gethard want to do this again? Yeah. And because <laughs> uh, I love Keith and Rob, but it was a thing where, like, I was very clear that, like, I also want this to be a special that I'm, that I feel good about. I don't want to feel like I'm just the victim in the special. Uh, and some of it is, like... Yeah, we would probably get laughs if there were lots of shots down my ass crack in the special. But I don't think, like, that's not why I got into comedy. 
You know what I mean? Well, yeah. So that's the thing is that like all of Keith's. Uh, so Keith for a while had this thing called K Skill. Which he still was, does it. Yeah, but it's his like YouTube channel. Yeah. But for a while, that was like the thing that he wanted. To, that was his like focus. Yeah. And all the videos are like these insane things, sort of like that. And I always said the thing that I always thought about that was interesting about it is that it feels like all the videos are shot on the way to shoot something actually. Yeah. But we just never get to see what he actually shoots. Yeah. So just all the stuff of them hanging out, going to shoot a thing, but we never get to see the actual sketch or video, whatever it is that he shoots. Yeah. And so in the same way, that's what the spirit of Get Those Words, sort of like what you get to watch is like the making of a yeah. Christmas special. Yeah. And you never actually get to see the Christmas special, <laughs> which also, is like... It's also interesting because, um, well, like we did one... Well, there's one segment of the, of the film, of the of the special that is really... It's very... It, even though it stemmed from a thing I started doing... Keith fell in love with it so much that it really becomes more Keith's segment than mine. Right. In that he forgot to bring a GoPro headband for me to wear. And he's like, I only have this dog harness. And I saw it. It looked weird. I said, here, I'll wear that over my face. Because I thought it would look funny if I wore it. And it basically looked like Bane. Yeah. And it was a GoPro for a mouth. Yeah. And I said, if I put my helmet up, I put my, uh, my hood up, it'll look really weird. Like this guy walking down the street. With this weird contraption, oh, you just see my eyes. Yeah. So I started saying Merry Christmas to people and filming their reactions. And Keith loved this. But then after we did, and it felt fun when we were doing it that day because I just like, yeah. it happened organically. And then um, Keith, because it wasn't a planned segment, it was a wide angle lens. So people's reactions were sort of bending off the sides of the frames. Yeah. So you didn't get like clean shots of people looking weird at me. And so. We had to plan another day to film it. And by that time, I was like, I'm done with this idea. Like, yeah. it was like trying to restage a Herald or something where exactly. it was just like, it was in. And so, and Keith was also like, we want to make sure we get good reactions. So he was really pushing me to do stuff that was like, I don't, I'm not big into like. I'm not, you're not a prankster. I'm not a prankster. And I think it ended up being good, but it was, I mean, Keith knew it as we were filming it. He's like, you really don't like this. I'm like, well, it's just, it wouldn't be my preference, but you like this so much, and I think it will make a good segment. Right. Um, it's just not, it's, it's not at all, I would never go out with the idea of being like, let's do this. Yeah. Like, when I've done, when I've tended to do big public spectacle type things, then the joke always is me, where it's like, I'm ice skating at Rock Center, and I can't ice skate. The punchline is never the other people around. It's always like yeah. me doing it, and that's that's what I tend to be more comfortable. With. And I think there still is that element to this, and that I look ridiculous doing it. The joke in the reactions isn't like, "Look at these people's stupid reactions." It's these people reacting honestly to me being uh, horrifying or ridiculous looking. Well, your yeah, exactly, and your characters. What's funny is that. What they are is it's you punching up at yourself. Right. So it's like you create this character that is confident and high status, and you say things with confidence and high status that actually undercut yourself. Yeah. And that's what's fun about it is seeing someone who believes so highly that they are doing the right thing trap themselves. Yeah. And so it's like you punching up at yourself. I, th- I think the thing that also – the thing I didn't like about this experience was that um, – or what made me uncomfortable was that, particularly the second day of doing it, is just that the city is on edge right now yeah. uh, for uh, terrorism and things like that. 
And I don't think I've ever looked more like some kind of potential terrorist than wearing that rig over my face, face and yeah. saying Merry Christmas on street corners. Yeah. Um, so I think, like, there was a percentage of people reacting where I was like, ugh, like, I don't, I don't know that you wouldn't just look at this and think, oh, no, what is this? Well, because we live in a day and age where it's not like, who's this goofy character? It's like, oh, fuck, is this person about to shoot me? Um, Trying to just receive a text message. No, someone tweeted about the soundtrack. The If this is released before Christmas, I'll put in this plug that if you can't think of a Christmas gift to give to someone, uh, I will baldly promote that you can gift the Spirit of Ratliff soundtrack EP uh, on Bandcamp. Uh, it will help me buy a couple Christmas presents for people that I can't afford. Oh, no. <laughs> What what happened? No, I just I was just saying oh no with that. Yeah, a um, couple things happened. I think right after we did the last podcast that weekend when we were at Mudon's wedding, that was when my mom took a fall. Right. Right. Um, which this is like a fascinating time of life in that you know as we've chronicled on this, like my parents are at the age where it feels like every year there's some new crises, and so far Knockwood they have. Uh, Managed to balance their crises so that one of them is okay when the other one has a horrible thing happen. So, like, my mom was uh, out on our deck at our house, and there's a she misjudged the edge of the deck and fell. And it would be like falling a few feet, you know, but she landed face first on rock, on like a, a rock garden area. Sorry. Um, like big, pointy, like rocks that surround a flower bed. I'd like to point out, I was on my phone. Yeah. But I felt like you were telling us more to the listeners. Yeah, because you Sorry. know a lot of us. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I showed you a photo of it, right? Yeah. It's horrifying. The photos were worse than the reality even because they were like selfies. They had that distortion, um, bad lighting and it's a weird angle and you're like, Oh no, it looked, but she really did like, it was amazing how bruised her face was from a one fall. Yeah. You would assume like, Oh, you fall. Maybe one part of your face gets bruised. Her whole face was like so swollen and blood just everywhere. Yeah. And fortunately, it was at the time when my dad was able to, like, you know, take her to the emergency room, and he was able to be in charge. Right. Um, seeing seeing them at Thanksgiving, uh, she looked 100% better. Yeah. But it was so weird to be there that week. It also was an ideal week to be visiting because um, she couldn't go out. She looked like she'd been beaten by someone. Right. And she just didn't want to go to the grocery store. Anything. So it was, like, a perfect week for me to be there in the sense of, like... Right. She would have felt like shit all week, and instead it was like, oh, what do you need? I'll go get it. And I, I mean, she felt bad being cooped up and being in pain, right? but it was also like, oh, perfect timing. Exactly. Because um, I probably, my impulse would have been to go visit anyway if that had happened, and my sister couldn't go. I would have been like, I need to go, She, you yeah. know, help out. Um, at the moment, it was funny. My dad just had, um, I think he just switched doctors and this was something in all of the panic of like his cancer and stuff like that one thing that hadn't occurred to me and it's just something that hadn't come up was that like I think he's changed to a different general practitioner and it was precisely because the doctor who missed his cancer and missed the weakening like missed all of the signs of it right and gave him like pain like Advil or something the day before his back broke right um he just like obviously didn't want to go back to that doctor yeah and my mom told me, I didn't know this, my, that there was, like, after the the place, the practice where his 
general practitioner, they obviously got alerted by the hospital that like this procedure was going on. There's like the yeah. protocols of how they communicate, like your patient is here at this. And once they found out, they immediately booked a, what my mom called an ass covering appointment, which they had to pay for. My parents, you know, paid for and right. through their insurance, which was clearly just like, uh, oh wait, well, okay. And he was like looking at his like blood levels, uh, from bef- like whatever checkup before. And now he was like, oh, I guess the levels are a little, ele- I guess they were a little elevated here. And my mom was like, really based on what they know from the situation, this doctor could have caught it like a year earlier. Right. And would have gone in for, could have caught the multiple myeloma way earlier. Right. And it would have been a lot easier. He wouldn't have had a broken back. He wouldn't have had, yeah. you know, all these other things. And it really is like, stuff like that is really terrifying to me. When's the last time you've gone to the doctor? I don't even want to say it's so long. I know. Bad. When's the last time? Long time ago. When is it? Long time ago. You want to say? I mean, if you've asked me this many times, and I've said a long time ago, and I don't want to say, I've given you a clear message. But it's been a long time ago. But it's... A shockingly long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. You should go. I probably should. I probably... Do you have insurance right now? Yeah. Yeah. Through SAG? Yeah, I'll probably lose it in April. Right. Then you should go now. Yeah, I'll go in January. It's not hard. Yeah, it's hard for me. Really? I hate it. What about it don't you like? I think the last time I went, I passed out. Really? I, I don't like... I'm uncomfortable with every aspect of it. Interesting. Yeah. Do you want me to go with you? No. no. I'd go with you. I don't even know. I need to find a doctor. I, I have a it's doctor. It's really easy. I've gotten good at it. I've become an insurance whiz. Yeah. God, I hate that I'm going to lose my SAG insurance. I just didn't make enough money through SAG this year. Frustrating. Yeah. Wait. When does it... Oh. April, I guess. Right. So th- it's this past year goes for next year. I think so, yeah. Interesting. Although maybe I have till April. I don't know. I feel like at some point I'm going to get a thing saying, like, you didn't make it. Well, you can go on Cobra then. Yeah. Which Cobra's a little bit expensive, but it's if your plan is a good plan that you like, then... Yeah. But you don't probably know if you like it, because you probably haven't used it much. I haven't. I, I used my dental plan when I had that, but I don't have that now. See, I'm not a hypochondriac. Well... Not a hypochondria. I don't think I'm sick, but I'm worried that I'm going to get sick or something's going to happen. Yeah. So I constantly, I go to the doctor, not more than I should, but I'm not hesitant to go to the doctor. Yeah. And I used to be like you where I did not like it. And then I've, there's certain things like flying, flying, doctor's office, um, that I've found some sort of peace in. Yeah. That like, I like, I, I like the process of it now and I find it relaxing. Yeah. Although you want to know something hilarious is that a couple months ago, I helped my sister. I helped my sister move from Colorado to Chicago. Mm -hmm. And so our whole family spent like a week together in Boulder where my sister was. Mm -hmm. Still have battery? Yeah. Yeah. And my dad, you know, I've been dealing with stress stuff and things like that, which is all fine now. Yeah. But just as like that whole of a thought in my dad's head, he was like, oh, like, why don't I book like, both of us will get like massages and things like that. It's like this spa, like cause yeah. Boulder is known for good stuff like that. So we booked these separate massages and I'd never gotten a professional massage and I had like sort of, I sort of started getting like panicked during it yeah, and like nauseous and not feeling good during it in a way that I was like, it's supposed to be really relaxing, but instead it really stressed me out. Just yeah. the concept of getting... 
I would not like a massage. Yeah, I didn't like it at all. Yeah. I liked I liked the feeling of like the massage part of it, you know what I mean? Like Yeah. I liked that aspect of it, but every other aspect of it made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um the Yeah, I know it's a smart thing. I know it's a smart thing to do, and especially I'm getting to the age where I'm already uh think my phone over here, so I'm not Okay. Uh, I'm looking at my notes of, of things that I've written that we should talk about. Um, That's interesting. What, can I? Can, do you mind if I explore more about this doctor thing? Yeah. What, no, I don't mind. Go what ahead. about it? Don't you like? Um, it's a little Schrodinger's cat, maybe. Yeah. A little bit of that. Yeah. Um, which is not smart. It's not a smart way to handle it, but it's like. Well, it also seems counterintuitive to what you just said too, which was the thing about your dad. Oh yeah. Where you're like, if only they'd caught it's not. I don't think it's counterintuitive so much as it's hypocritical. Yes. Like where I'm like, I'm also that way with therapy. Like oh, whenever, I know that. whenever people say like, um, they get a lot out of therapy. I'm like, I don't think I would. And there have been points when people have said to me that they think I should be in therapy, and I just feel like I think you're talking about a conversation we had in episode two of Twelve Hour Day. Yeah, and but I don't. I guess part of it is I'm just like the things that are wrong with me I just sort of cope with them and some of the things that are wrong with me are kind of like maybe quick fixes that maybe cause their own set of problems but I've found a peace in them but I think I think the fallacy in that is thinking that the purpose of therapy is to solve any of that as opposed to help you find healthier, more efficient, more reasonable ways to cope with things. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's not necessarily a goal of mine. You know? Uh, I sort of disagree with that. I, 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 it sounds insane, but I'm going to disagree with that. I don't think you sound insane. I think mine sounds more insane. I think you do, but I think, what I, I think it is a goal of yours to be more relaxed and more comfortable and happier. Yeah, but... I am happy, and I am generally relaxed. The things, some but of the- I think I think there's things. Here's the thing that I think is, I think it definitely is a Schrodinger's box situation. Yeah. Where, in some senses, I've never been happier. But there are some things I'm like, well, there are things I know, like, well, this is a compromise, and this is a compromise, and maybe this is, maybe maybe my life would be jumped up to another level of happiness. Um, but it's not even happiness. I think it's just um, understanding yourself better. I think I do understand myself. That's part of the... That's part of the... Part of the thing that's difficult about it is some of the things I understand about myself are like, well, this isn't that great. But it is what it is, and I accept it, and I want to try to be the best version of it. I think it'd be something worth... I think it'd be because I I was the I, I was I to me the idea of spending I would rather have here, listen, one more listen. nap a week than spend a, uh, an hour talking I'm fine talking with you or anybody I know about stuff like this but the idea of going me going to a therapist and paying the money to talk about I have no shortage of people I can talk to if I want want to talk about these it's things Connor, I know it's Connor, different because I was the exact same way okay all right but and you know you know for. Maybe not for sure. Everybody's but, different. 
But that. how much? How much? How certain I was yeah. that I was excellent, and how how untrue that turned out to be. I know, but it and also how much it helped me. And that was one of many things, but it was an important thing. Yeah. And I feel the same way. But about I don't have a hunger for it. I don't have a longing for it. I don't have, there's no part of me that's like, I, did, I, I just want to sort these problems out. Like, I didn't have a longing for it. Mm. I, think you have to, I, I think you have to want therapy for it to be effective, and I don't want it. I don't think that's a crazy statement. I don't know if it's true, though. Yeah, true um, enough. It's true enough for me. Here's what I think. I think it's a moot point right now because I don't think you'd spend money on therapy right I now. I don't have time. Like, I feel like I already don't have enough time. I'd rather spend one hour hanging out with you than go to therapy every week. Yeah, I get it. Um, I would place going to a GP over that, though. Yeah, sure. Um, but here's, here's the thing. Like, I know for a fact, not for a fact, but, like, it seems pretty reasonable that anybody that I know who has kids... They would all say the same thing pretty much, which is that when they had kids, it made their life better. It made their life richer and had more meaning. Right. That's what everybody says when they have kids. Maybe that's not what they say later on. I don't know. There's different phases. Everyone's got a different circumstance. But most people I know, it seems like the thing they say is like that thing you hear, which is like it made like they didn't even know what life could feel like until that is what made their life. And I'm aware of that. And maybe that would happen. But I also aware... That, like, if I were to do that, I would never stop worrying. I would never stop worrying. I don't know how people do it. If you had kids. Yeah. Man, I think it would bring me a new level of terror. But here's something I think is really interesting. And I, I, don't, I actively don't want that in my life. I actively don't want to have there be a person that exists that I'm like, where are they now? Are they okay? All the time I think I would feel that. Here's what I think is interesting. Yeah is we don't have to get into any of the the backstory of it. But I think there's an interesting trajectory in your life right now. Yeah. Is that I think there's a certain amount of your personality that has formed just like find an acceptable stasis that you that works for you. Yeah. And hold on to that. Right. Which I think you did. But I think in the past four years, because you had a very just like, great, you could, you could, uh, you know, you could close up shop on the life that you were living seven years ago if you wanted to, six years ago. Sure, yeah. You know, you had a job that was around, you did a thing, you have your apartment, you have, you know, all the things that you were like, these things. Yeah. And I think if we had talked to you eight years ago, you would have said, yeah, I'm just going to, this is just, I'm happy. This is fine. I do this. I don't need more happiness. I don't like, I don't need to risk this to try to attain something. But in the past three years, you've done something that is a major risk that most people, what what you're saying about children, many people would say about a lot of the choices you made in the past two years of your life. Would they not? <clears throat> Maybe to but, quit a full time regular job to pursue life as a comedian. Actor? Maybe, maybe, but some of it was because I I painted myself into a corner where I had no choice, and I don't think that would happen with kids. You paint yourself into a corner that you I had did. no choice. You always had a choice. No, no, you just kept making the choices towards. It was getting increasingly one decision. No, it was getting increasingly 
working at Barnes and Noble for a certain period of time, the way that company is functioning, it was a matter of time before I wouldn't be able to afford that life that I had before. It was it was going away because there are some very very dumb people in high positions at that company who make decisions that are going to destroy that company. Um, it won't be because of Amazon. It won't be because of other bookstores. It will be because dumb people made decisions that ma- ruined the company. Right. Which is so which I, is why you left that job, went to another retail job at a bookstore. Because it was the company's problem. No, I didn't. No, no. There aren't other bookstores that have. I'm not going to work at Strand. I'm not going to work at an independent bookstore. Like there won't. But I'm saying you made an ambitious choice. There were safer choices. Kind of, but also... There were safer choices you could have I don't made. know if there were... I mean, sure, maybe there were some safer choices, but um, it's easier for me to get the kind of stuff that I'm doing now than it would be for me to get another job in retail, to be honest. It probably would be require a lot more uh, uh, struggle and effort, and it would also be incredibly inconvenient. For me to get another job that would allow me flexibility that I had there, because I always had the flexibility of being able to work when I wanted and leave when I wanted. Right. That would be hard to find in a new retail job. I would probably get a job where it would be, these are your hours. And I'd be like, but I have. And they'd be like, we don't care. Um, I would not want to work in a restaurant, wait tables. I'd be bad at it. And I'd be stressed about it all the time. Right. I wouldn't be good at that. Um, no, what happened was I reached a point where I'm like, well, I probably need to do this. But even within, I, I think you're right. I don't think your theory is wrong about stasis and finding what I can live in and not. But my point is that that stasis changes and develops over time. Yeah, and it just goes at a slow pace. And it's, for instance, with the topic of having kids, my stasis changes at a slow enough pace that I think by the time I would get to a point where if I was working toward that as a goal, it would be too late anyway. <laughs> Maybe. My my, my pace think, of comfort. I also think that there's a reasonable situation where you find yourself, like for example, this is an example. Yeah. You find yourself in a relationship, and I know there's the stasis that that the math still might apply with all that stuff, and it's not painting yourself in your corner, but it's where that decision to have children maintains stasis towards happiness, happiness more so than it would be to right. not make that choice. Right. There's it's, scenarios where that plays out. Sure, sure. It's hard for me to envision it, in in part because I've given it so much thought and played out every scenario in my head. And the ones that I find most upsetting are the ones that I don't want to do. Yeah. Um, but I think you'd probably also, and it's, it's maybe less so, but 10 years ago you probably would have not been able to imagine your life as a professional comedian in New York City. Yeah, it's almost a real technicality even calling it that at this point. It's close. It's closer than I've been, but... I'd say you're one of the more talented people. Well, that's a different issue. In improv, you are considered one of the best improvisers, period. You know, this is going to sound... I'm going to try to mix this with arrogance and humility because I don't... I think I... There may never be a point at which I actually achieve a real functional career in the, in the sense of what the kind of things that happen that people who don't know what's happening would go like, oh, wow, you know, like that, that's impressive or something. You know what I mean? I mean, it may happen or it may not happen. I think, I think I'm I in a good think place. I think you're underestimating your talent. No, it doesn't have to do with the ability because there was a point recently where I was at UCB 
Because I remember when I started at UCB and I was like, I would go to UCB and I would also go to other theaters and other theaters would also have good stuff. But I remember thinking like, the stuff that's happening here, it's just rare that you see a bad thing here. And there was a point recently where I was in a show and I looked around at the other people in the show and I was like, I'm holding my own here. And it's, it's a lot of people. When you talk about like, who are the, who are the funny people in a big city comedy community, you're talking about a pretty wide pool of people, big pool of people. And I was thinking about, like I was watching a show that was happening and I was thinking about like, if you think of anything, even an obscure thing, like who makes this certain kind of obscure uh, shoe or something like that, um, even with very obscure things, it's rare to find something where there's just a few people in the world. Even with small patches, you'd be like, oh, there's actually like a lot of people around the world who are like right. this good at this or this funny at this. And certainly with comedy, there's so many people trying to do comedy and trying to be funny and things like that, that like even if you just like limit it to the cream, it's still like a big ton of people around the world who are like really funny. But compared to how many people there are in the world, it's still like a relatively small pool. And I did have a realization lately that I, that I was like, I'm doing okay in terms of like, even, even in my worst estimation, I'm still in a pretty small, when you think of the billions of people on earth, it's a pretty rarefied number of people who are able to like do comedy things that are at the, the level that we're doing them at, you know, quality wise. And... Again, I think you underestimate your innate talent. I'm not talking about improv. Yeah. As an actor and a comedic performer. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think you are. I, th- I think things are going to happen. Maybe. Uh, maybe I don't think. Here's 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 my perspective. Yeah. Is that my job is that I frequently bring people on to stuff, recommend people for things, yeah. and create stuff where I have to trust in people. Right. And I will never ever ever. Bring someone on board that I don't trust can knock out of the park. Right. And every now and then I will do things where I'll cast people that I'm like, ah, right. I think they're going to do a great job, but I don't know, but I'm going to trust they can do it. Right. You're a person who doesn't fall into that category. You're a person who I know who every project that I've done, I've pretty much tried to bring you in on. Right. And beyond that, I can say this with complete objectivity. And I don't think anyone that I'm about to mention would have any problem mentioning this. Every project that I bring you on to, you are noted in back channels, back conversations as being extremely talented. And, oh, my God, how come I haven't seen this person before? Right. That thing that we just uh, – the uh, Christmas thing that we just did, <coughs> yeah. there were conversations about how talented you were. And what was your name again and what was his info? Because I want to make sure we use him if we ever – or if we're ever doing something in New York again. Right. Um, the, the, the thing you did in Cop Show. Yeah. How, how, how big was your part in Cop Show? It was a good little part. But small. But it was a small yeah, part. Yeah, small little part, yeah. What if I tell you that the editor won't, editor won't stop talking about how you're his, his the the star talent of how you're the funniest person he's seen. He, he nice. watched all the takes and he's like that counter guy is so funny. He keeps talking about you. You're this. You're part of one scene, right? And uh, that, that that stuff doesn't come from. I think the animals are going to steal that scene though. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but I'm my whole point is right now the things that I get to witness you in yeah. are small things where yeah. you have an inch of room to yeah. sh- to spread your wings and yeah. to show how good you are to thing and yeah. even then you stand out when you're given the tiniest amount of room well i appreciate that um and, and but i don't like i don't i'm not going to disagree with any of these compliments right but uh, what i'm, what I'm but, saying my whole my my, yeah. my whole point is 
I think something's possibly coming. Like, I think I, I have a good feeling. I 100% believe it. But I'm also not in it. I'm, I'm also, this is a weird thing. Some of this is my own thing that may have to do with stasis. I'm also not, I would like to, do, I would like to find that dream thing that's like, ooh, this is, my, I get to do this and it's my job. And it's also this very satisfying creative thing. Um, I do also have like, uh, I'm also like not in a super rush in this sense. Like I want it to happen. It'd be better if it happened sooner than later. Um, but there's also a part of me and it may just be that thing of like, I'm very, very much like live in the moment person now, which I didn't used to be. And it may be that part of the thing that keeps me from being, uh, I mean, I think I'm ambitious when I'm trying to do stuff. I'm really like hawking it and pushing it and trying to get it around and out there. You know, I want everybody in New York to go see Terry Withers Mysteries. I want everybody, like, I I want that to be a TV show. Um, but the, there is, like, a part of me that is just, it's a little bit of a side effect of, like, knowing that, like, I'm also pretty happy right now. Like, I'm also, like, I don't, I think there's a... I'm not, part of what I'm not good about with the future is that I think I've gotten very good at being in the present and uh, also just being aware of like not like appreciating every moment. There is that, it almost feels like a weird, like I've adapted myself to the point where it's that thing about live, live each moment as if it's your last. It's not that I do that because there's certainly times where I'm like throwing a temper tantrum over a train not arriving on time when right. I could just be like, I could listen to my iPod right now. Yeah. You know, like last night I thought that I was, I, I had one of those nightmare things trying to get home late at night where I was on an F train. It took me to 34th street and then it stopped. And I'm like, ah, fuck. Now I got to wait for a Q or an N right. to go to. So I was just like adding an extra half an hour to my journey and waiting times. Right. And I'm at Queensboro Plaza and it's late at night, early in the morning. And I'm like, ah, where's this train? And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to listen to five songs I really like on my amazing magical machine yeah. that carries tens of thousands of songs on it. When you have like a pretty amazing view of New York. And City. it looks nice and I'm not hungry and I was just like like I feel like I have those moments all the time even with big picture things where I'm like, you know what? Like I'm never going to have more fun doing it. I'm I mean, it's great. Like, I love doing Veep and getting paid well to do something that was just a fun thing on a set where everybody was happy. I'd love to do that all the time. I feel like it would be great. Uh, but at the same time, I was like, I don't have more fun doing that than I had doing, like, that time that you and I did that two-prov show at... at, at right. Uh, I mean, where I'm just like, that was as much fun as I've ever had doing improv, doing that scene. And didn't benefit us one red cent, you know, in terms of... You know, but like those moments where you just appreciate like, oh, this is nice. Like, I got to stop, you know, just like right now, my parents, they're redoing the kitchen and it's one of these like potential holiday disasters, which is, um, they were, they were it was supposed to be done by Thanksgiving, redoing all the cabinets. It's sort of a thing so that the house can be resellable a couple right. of years from now, maybe. And the, the, we saw the original kitchen from, like, the late 80s, so it was built for a refrigerator that they don't make anymore right. dimension-wise. Everyone's refrigerators are bigger and deeper and all this. Yeah. So they had to get everything torn out and redone. So everything, the counters, the 
the cupboards are all torn out. It's just the fixtures in the kitchen. And uh, now it's taking longer, and it's looking like this might be what happens at Christmas, right. where we don't have a kitchen that really functions. Right. And uh, it's potentially disrupting all these plans. And my mom is like, this is like the worst case scenario for our Christmas. And I'm like, no, it really isn't. Like yeah. two years ago isn't even the worst case scenario. Two years ago, the worst case scenario is two years ago, uh, my dad dies and that's Christmas. Yeah. And, and there will be a Christmas where that's the Christmas. Right. Um, unless something worse happens, you know, uh, the, so it's one of those things where it's like, don't be upset about the kitchen. Like I get it. It sucks. You planned ahead. You did everything right. It was supposed to be done by Thanksgiving. And now you might not have a functional Christmas at the time of year where you want the house to look nice and we're there. And I'm like, no, it's still better than dad being in absolute agony and us, uh, emptying his like, uh, urine bag into the toilet. Uh, where his radioactive urine is going. Right. Um, that it's just like knowing when you can, it's still better than the week you busted your face. You know, I'd rather the whole house be a disaster than one other bad thing happen to any of us. Right. You know? And I mean, I, I have thoughts like that constantly now. Like I have thoughts like that constantly. Part of it is a, a real awareness, a real awareness of, uh, oh, like bad stuff's coming. Like bad stuff's coming for you. It's coming for all of us. Right. And there's, it, it, and it really is like it's the ending of No Country for Old Men where he's just like, Tommy Lee Jones is sitting in a room and he's like, you can't stop what's coming. And he has this dream where he's like, you can't stop it. And it is like that, that dread, that feeling of uh, knowing, knowing that we live in a life where all, all of our nightmares will come true eventually in some way. Maybe in small ways for lucky people, in huge ways for unlucky people. But I think that's why in small ways now you do the work so that when those things come and when those days come, you're just a little bit more prepared. Oh, yeah, I got to. I can't be a 55-year-old man with no money. Yeah, but you also oh. can't be a 55-year-old man that also like hasn't dealt with the stuff that's stuck in the back of your mind you can't be a 55 year old man that hasn't gone to the doctor in 20 years you know what i mean like it's those small things that yeah. are small like relatively painless work right now mm. but some of it's stuff that i feel like for now i feel like oh i have figured it out like this is what i want my life to be but some of it is that but i think i think that's true for most of it but i think those I don't pay someone things, else to tell them that ma but see that's the thing is that I think I think in terms of a lot of your living situation, you're right. In a lot of your life, you're right. <clears throat> but it's the same reason. The same reason you should go to your doctor for your body, which you you understand that. Yeah. Is I think the same reason you should. It's it's good to talk to a therapist. I agree in principle, but I I stand by my basic hypocrisy. That's fine. Incredibly frustrating. I know. Will you at least grant me this? Will you go to the doctor? Yes, 2016. That's when it'll happen. Okay. Um. Unless something miraculous happens and it causes me to change my mind. Because it's pretty easy. You go, you figure out what your insurance plan is. No, already I'm... Insurance card. Already it's frustrating me. No, it's... It, come on. I went on ZocDoc and I found a dentist. I guess I'll do the same thing with a doctor. That's all you do. And you just find someone that has good reviews and you call up. I know. And I hate going that thing where they're going to be like, when did you come last? And I tell them and then they're like, wah. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Come no, on. but here's what's great about the whole thing. Yeah. Here's what's great. So you're going to go to a doctor. Yeah. Do you anticipate you're going to move anytime soon? 
I don't know. Out of this apartment? Giving you- Hopefully not. Yeah, then get someone that's not too far away that has good reviews. So it's like not difficult. Uh, and then you just have a doctor. And then anytime... Then that's the thing. Is you can like go when, to that when, doctor. Shouldn't also... Maybe I just wait for whatever wonderful surprises are in store. <laughs> you, Yeah, is that what... Is it, that was your recommendation for your father as well? No. You, you're, just, you're on the side of the doctor. No, just for me, but it, just for me, you know? Um, but see what's great is you have a doctor that knows your tendencies and knows the things that go into your body. Because, again, it sounds like it sounds like goofy word of warning thing, but it's yeah. a literal thing that happened to me. I know. That's I know. where I was had all these issues with depression and all this physical stuff that was happening. I went to the doctor and they are like, Oh yeah, your thyroid doesn't work. Yeah. If we didn't catch this, you would have died in you know whatever like six years or whatever. Well, just take these pills, and guess what? It just improved the quality of my life, which I thought at that point was, hey, I'm doing pretty good for who I am. And yeah. then I went, oh no, who I am isn't this person who's depressed and has all these weird physical issues. Yeah. Oh, I just take this pill and that. That's literally just the thing that solved that problem. And the uh, same thing with therapy. I would not go to therapy for so long and Gethard was so mad at me because I had all this all these very clear things that he was like I think it would be helpful for you to talk to someone who was not a friend who was a therapist about this stuff and I put it off put it off put it off finally I went and then I found it extremely extremely helpful yeah I feel I feel the same way you used to, but what if this time I'm right? <laughs> Connor. Yeah, I agree. I think therapy is incredibly helpful. Don't do this. Don't finish the sentence. I refuse to let you finish the sentence. But maybe it's not for no, everybody. It's dangerous what you're saying. What if I'm the one person that. There's that great joke. That'd be the first time. That'd be It'll the first be, time that you were the one person. There's a great arrested development joke where uh, Tobias is suggesting to Lindsay uh, that. Um, that they have an open marriage. Right. And he's like, a lot of therapists, uh, a lot of couples fool themselves into thinking that it'll work for them. But I think for us, it just might work. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, um, yeah, well, to be continued. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, we don't have enough time on the podcast to talk about this. Um, Because I feel good, you know? Yeah, but I think there's... I. I think the things I'm upset about are things that therapy, maybe I'll need therapy after they happen, but it's the coming, the dread of the coming uh, disasters, the, the personal and, (laughs) but I don't, but I'm not living with that all the time. I just know they're coming. Like I go to a therapist and I'm like, uh, like what, you know how you reacted to the leftovers when I pitched it at you and you're like, you didn't like the idea that you didn't get answers. That's how I feel about therapy. Um, except... But you uh, spent an hour convincing me why that was. But The Leftovers <laughs> is a bona fide great work of art. And Connor, what is so insane is it feels like a sketch. Yeah. Where you're like, what are you talking about? I don't need therapy. I have an overwhelming impending fear of the future and a lot of the things that are happening right now. And I try to live in the moment so I have to think about those things. Why would I need therapy? Living in the moment uh, <laughs> is great. Uh, the... I'm bad at planning for stuff, but that's my that's just a thing I'm dealing with. Um and 
<clears throat> I mean, what if I get a bad therapist? Then you can change. Why should I change if they're the bad therapist? What? No, you can change therapists, Connor. You can um, get a different therapist. Uh, it sounds like a big waste of my time. Um, now I'm going hard in the other direction. I'm, I'm, <laughs> just to ward off your arguments, I'm going to start. It sounds like a bunch of nonsense. I don't need to go see some head shrinker, JD. God, you sound like ugh. you sound like every like old man that has cancer in a movie. That's like some. It's like did you did you see Creed? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily think the Rocky made the right choice. <laughs> oh no. Um, did I say step one? General practitioner. Yeah. Step just, two. Just because, honestly, it'll it'll be a painless thing. Or it'll make me aware of what's wrong with me in ways that I hadn't noticed are before. Fixable. Are no, fixable. No, I was going to have a nice, were... peaceful demise, and instead now i got to be tortured God. to death. Ugh. Look, uh, you were... You're going to die in 10 years, but we can extend your life by an extra year if we hook you to this machine right now and remove your organs. Well, there's people in your life that might appreciate that. Yeah. That extra year, no. Um, no, I, you're technically right. You win on all points, and yet the reality <laughs> persists. You can't fathom the stubbornness of one individual against all your logic and good sense. God, are you... This is the most frustrating. But you see, I'm not at all frustrated by this. I'm not saying it's frustrating for you. Oh, okay. I'm saying it's frustrating for me. I know. I'm but saying I'm frustrated. You should talk to someone about that. Yeah. Your frustration. <laughs> You're going to waste an hour this week talking to somebody about this conversation when instead you could have wasted an additional hour with me talking about it. Uh, you're being selfish. I know. It is selfish. But I believe it is. I don't... Look, it'll... Look... Things are going to be fine until they're not. Step one, you go to a doctor. <laughs> sure. Just get a checkup. They just do blood tests. Oh, I hate that. I just, I almost pass out just thinking about it. I have a whole method that I use to not pass it, to not. Get... Uh, your method won't work for me. We're too different. It's probably true. Yeah. Actually, I think my method might work. I just distract myself. I talk out loud. I talk out loud while they do it about something. I make some inane joke, Ugh. tell some story as they do it. And I think they can always tell that's what I'm doing, and I think they just go with it because they know that's what I'm doing. Yep. And it only lasts 10 seconds, then we're over with it. Uh. Do you know a record deal fell through? Yeah, but... Did I tell you that? No, yeah, yeah, I mean, I saw that online. But there's no... It wasn't like you're going to sell enough no. for a record company to be like, oh, good. Glad this worked out. No. You're really banking on the generosity of, like, an excitable person. <laughs> we were going to, just for listeners, our Spirit of Ratliff EP was going to be released on a limited edition 100 cassette run and red and alternating red and, and green cassette tapes with a download code. But the machine broke. Yeah, and that's also the benefit of working with Mikey Erwig also, is that there's a lot of people that are excited to release anything that he does. I know. Um, our show last night went really well. It did? Yeah. Was that fun to do? Yeah. We did two shows. One is, one I'm a little nervous about, the one that didn't go, of the two, last night's went better. 
the one was at for Paste magazine, and that'll be up on their website. Right. And that's just in their little uh, library sort of area right. where they keep all their all those master tapes and things. Um, and we did all seven songs. There's eight tracks on the thing, but one of them's an alternate version of a song. Uh, but then the knitting factor last night, um, Mike, he used his electric guitar, which we'd never even practiced with. So it, it immediately felt different and cool. Right. Um, but it was funny. We showed up. They were really, it was Brooklyn Comedy Festival at the Knitting Factory. Uh, that's a fun stage to be on because you're so high above the audience kind of there. Right. Um, and... We showed up at seven to do our sound check, and there was another group that was actually playing more music during the show who were, had more instruments and more stuff to sound check. But we like waited patiently for like 20, 25 minutes to do our sound check, right. and the sound guy at the knitting factory was such a jerk. He was so angry uh, at us for doing our sound check at seven twenty-five when we just like you know we'd waited for twenty-five minutes, not said anything, not made any fuss or anything and then the sound guy was like okay we got we got to open up we got to we got to do this we got to open up and he was like he yelled at Mikey Mikey said that guy's yelled at him every time he's ever played there right and uh Mikey was like hooking up his guitar into the amp and Mikey asked if there was if they had an extra like quarter inch cable or something like that and the guy goes oh come on you got to be kidding doesn't anybody bring their own and Mikey was like it's okay i don't need it it's fine it's fine. he's like Come on. And the guy was just like, I looked at him. I just thought I couldn't even be aggravated by it because I honestly just thought, man, I'm just so glad I'm not that guy. Like to live in that world where you're always angry and you can't do anything except express it. I just thought, man, that must feel so terrible to live inside that guy's personality. Right. You see, you must see people like that all the time where you have that feeling of like, man, I'm not I'm so glad I'm not that person. Uh, yeah, I think I run into, especially in like the TV world, <coughs> I feel like there's a, a, every now and then you'll cross paths the per- well, in the film world a lot, uh-huh. especially like film school people where it's just like, uh, there's a, a tenor of living that I think people take on at a certain point and then it right. just tips that direction for years and years and years. Yeah. And then suddenly it's like, oh, that's just who you are. Like I recently worked with a celebrity talent who is sort of famously difficult to work with. And like they became famous when they were like a teenager. And now, right. they're, now they're much older and decades have passed. Yeah. And in slow degrees, that person has learned that life is whatever it is for them now. Right. And I realized that like that's just the thing that happens sometimes that you you decide that the world works a certain way. Right. And then you just keep tipping that way until that is all your existence is. Yeah. And it it's tough. I mean is that similar to what you're describing in how I am with finding that stasis and staying in it? Yes. 100%. Mm, interesting. But that's why that. But that's why I pointed out that I think it's interesting that I feel like you had a good. I feel like you had a couple years where you're in that, and then now you're actually turning things in slow ways in a different direction. 
Yeah. Um, who knows how it'll turn out, JD? Only you. Um, wonder what we'll talk about in the final episode of this podcast. I think about that. What, okay, what if de- you had to make a prediction. What decade that would be in? Yeah. When do you think we'll do a final episode? I mean, I don't know. My assumption is... My assumption is that we'll be doing this podcast at least long enough that the format of what it is will change to the point where podcast will almost be an outdated term. Yeah, it'll be like, um, what would be an analog? Something that people do out of tradition that is dated now. Um, Particularly like a performer. You know, I mean, like a radio drama would be one thing where it's like people like don't do that. What's something that someone actually still does out of tradition? Like, oh, we agreed to do this every year, and now it's, but it's like sort of goofy that they do it now. Um, I don't know. Um, there's something like that, I'm sure. Yeah. Do you ever think there'll be a period of time where you and I are not friends? I hope not. I mean, that's not... Or like lose touch. Um, I can imagine... Uh, um, uh, geographic circumstances making it to the point where uh, I can imagine us having to do an episode of this where we were in two different locations. Yeah. Maybe the technology would be easier. We'll think this is stupid the way we were recording it with a device and microphones are hooked up to us. There will come a point at which I could be like in London talking on a recording into like just a, a headset. Yeah. And it will sound better than this. Right. And you will be uh, making a film. You'll be on the set in Antarctica making a movie. What are you doing in London? Um, uh, George Lucas Talk Show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am actually going to do George Lucas Talk Show in London at the end of uh, January. Really? Yeah. That would be funny if it's like decades in the future. Everyone's like, who is this George Lucas? It's like when like... Um, old impressionists do impressions of like uh, character actors. Yeah, when they do like Jimmy Durante or something. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Yeah, it's like... Or it'll be like when when uh, when you watch a Bugs Bunny cartoon now and they'll impersonate yeah. a celebrity and you think it's funny, but you're like, I'm not sure yeah, who that is. that is. Yeah, exactly. Um, I am fully prepared. It did occur to me recently because I was aggressively contacting... Like at one point I tweeted at Star Wars and I had a momentary thing of like, oh wait, should I be... Yeah. Alerting them to the existence of this show. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm covered in terms of it's a satirical show. Right. I don't think they would actually do a cease and desist. Um, but it is Disney, and it is like yeah, part of their world now. Anything Star Wars could be potentially potentially litigious. Um, I think it would be a bad bad idea um, for them to try to do something like that. I think they've reached the point where they it, to go after people who are like playing with Star Wars. Yes is a bad idea for them because the whole culture of it belongs to everyone and it all feeds the interest in the official stuff. 100%. They make more money the more people are playing around with Star Wars stuff. If you ever sell something, that's when you will hear from them. Yeah. If anyone can ever purchase a George Lucas talk show, anything. Yeah. Um, uh, Did I just kill a plan you had? (laughs) No. But I could probably get money performing as it. You know what I mean? Like, right. Which they might be like, uh. 
Um, but the second, honestly, the second that I got a cease and desist, it would be like a red rag to a bull for me because I yes. would immediately uh, change it to like the Bob Mucus talk show. Yeah, I'm Bob Mucus. Exactly. I didn't make Star Wars, and neither did you. You know, I would just be immediately the Jorge Lucas. Yeah, yeah um, Jorge Lucas is a great name for a fake George Lucas. Um, I'm Jorge Lucas. I didn't make Star Wars, but boy, I wish I had. Yeah. Um, but it also is one of those things where it's like uh, when corporations decide to tangle with comedians who have little to nothing to lose. Yes. It's always a mistake. Right. Like that thing with Oshkosh Bagash and Alyssa a few months back. Do you remember that? No. Alyssa um, and um, Sandy Honig, and, uh, they made this Oshkosh Bagash video that's more like an American Apparel style right. ad. And they made it clear. I think the title of it was, this is not an Oshkosh Bagash commercial or something like that. Right. And Oshkosh Bagash sent him a cease and desist order. And it got way more attention because of the cease and desist. Like, right. People started doing posts about it and... The only reason I saw it was because someone at Oshkosh Bagash uh, said, we have to shut this down. You right. have like 24 hours to prove you're not violating the copyright claim or something. Right. And everyone's feeling was the exact same. It was just like, how dumb of them to right. mess with something that otherwise would have just been a under, under, underground comedy video that would have gotten like what any video of mine ever gets, which is like usually in the hundreds, occasionally in the thousands. Yeah. But it's, like, not worth concerning yourself with. Yeah. Uh, any th <coughs> it's always a mistake for powerful forces to not just let the comedians do their thing. Yeah, exactly. Because whether they affect you or not is, is a side effect. Exactly. Like, people will credit Tina Fey and the Sarah Palin thing, and it certainly was an effective thing. It did help push the needle. But if it hadn't been that, something else probably would have pushed that needle. Right. Um, the, uh, and, and there's not, and more importantly, even though I do think that did have an effect, there's nothing they could have done to actually stop it. If they had tried to stop it, it would have made it just worse. You can't actually fight it. Right. If it's going to take you down, you're on your way to being taken down anyway. Exactly. <clears throat> um, let me ask you this. Maybe you don't want to talk about this because this might fall into the uh, this might fall into the rubric of um, not wanting to talk about other creative people's work. Sure. But I think our listeners, even though I said George Lucas, I said some uh, rash things about George Lucas. I don't think they're rash. I think you know it made me a little bit sad in some small way that uh, George Lucas had a thing recently where he said he he hasn't been on the internet since like two thousand. Right. Because people are just too mean about everything. And there was a part of me like, well, it's true. Probably isn't like a great place to visit if you're George Lucas. No. Although I think there's ways you could just avoid looking up stuff about yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm always a little bit weird about that when people are like, I don't use the internet. It kind of feels like I don't use running water. Yeah. It's like, how? It has to be such a hassle. Exactly. Um, and there's so many other things that you could use the internet for that would be convenient that aren't criticizing your movies. Yeah. And there are also so many nice things people say about your movies. Exactly. And also people are still talking about your movies. Like, and the so many things that people say about your movies are because they like them. Yeah. And, like, I always feel pretty comfortable in terms of, like, I think it's pretty obvious when I... Like, I have the same harsh things to say about the prequels that almost everybody else does. 
But I also feel like I wouldn't feel super embarrassed or awkward if George Lucas walked in right now and he's like, I've heard everything you said or did. Yeah. I might feel bad about one or two things. But mostly, it's come from a place of he's one of the most important artists of my lifetime. Right. And the work he did up to 82 uh, is uh, amazing that anyone did that much good stuff. Right. And I also am now... Something of a, I mean, he might not even appreciate the qualified praise of the way I talk about his post-1982 work as being still on some level inspirational in the sense that it is like, it is, it is a creative person like trying to do new things uh, and trying to keep skin in the game, you know? Right. When a lot of other people kind of just, there are easier paths that Lucas could have taken that would have gotten him a lot more praise and a lot more, exactly. you know? Um so that's all a preface toward this. Uh, have you been watching uh, any more episodes of The Muppets? Or did you only watch the first one? It's funny you brought that up because last night I T-voted all of them. Yeah. And I actually have a TiVo box, which everyone thinks is funny because RCN has a deal with TiVo. Right. So I always say TiVo and people are like, you mean DVR? And I'm like, no, I have an actual TiVo box. Right. Um, <laughs> this one makes a little noise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you watch them all? The noise is off, though. <laughs> oh, good. Um, so I had them all backed up, and I just never felt compelled to watch them. And then just yesterday, I'd sort of scroll through the episodes, and if, I'd try to see if one of the descriptions excited yeah. me. Yeah. And there's one that was like, there's a blackout at the studio. And, and I was like, oh, this sounds like very classic. This sounds like classic, kind of, something gone wrong in the Muppet yeah, show. Yeah, it feels like what I want to see. Like, yeah. I love episodes where a thing happens where it's like right. a thunderstorm or this or that. So it's like, oh, blackout, like perfect. Yeah. I'll, I think I'll enjoy this. As opposed to ones where it's like some Re- descriptions are like relationship problems. Or it's like uh, Piggy fights with Sarah Jessica Parker and they up the ante. And I'm like, I don't need to see like a prank war between like. Right. Maybe the episode's better than that seems, but I'd much rather watch an episode where there's a blackout at the studio than... Right. Anyway, so I start watching this episode, and then, you know, I'd watched maybe the first six episodes or whatever, and it just... um, It's striking a comedic (coughs) and a... emotional note that is different than what the Muppets have ever struck in a way that I am not comfortable with. Right. Um, if it if it weren't the Muppets, right, I might be okay with it. Right. But the fact that it is the Muppets is an important thing. Yeah. And they rely on that a lot. Right. So there's a mixture of we are the Muppets, but we're not doing the things. The things that are classic to the Muppets, we are not doing those things. And the right. characters are different. For example, like, Scooter is like a producer instead of the owner of the, the, the son of the owner of the, the, or nephew of the owner of the theater or whatever. Right. So it's like these little things that change the dynamic. And then the tenor of the comedy is way different. And their behavior is way different. So there's a lot of. A lot of sexualization of all the characters. Yeah. So, like, very early on, Kermit and Piggy break up. And so there's all this, all these sex jokes about them and Kermit. 
wanting to have sex with this other. It's like there's a lot of sex. Where he says, like, I guess I'm into pigs. I have a type or whatever. Yeah, and then there's also just stuff of them, other characters making fun of them having, like, there's all these weird, a lot of sex jokes. I mean. And then he has this, like, hot girlfriend pig that comes in. mm Mm-hmm. And then um, there's this whole line where there's this whole thread where like Sam the Eagle is trying to like get with Janice. That one I think Janice rings. Per- I think that one rings particularly uh, false. Yeah, I, I I think it's weird with that one because you know how like on the Office on the American Office. Which seems like it's sort of like the main inspiration for the tone of this show, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, that it is like the Muppets version of the American office. And it seems to me like in the way that that show kind of had an impulse of wanting to... They had some success in like pairing people off. Exactly. And finding the thing. And I think the thing of Sam the Eagle having a crush on Janine feels... Yeah very um, forced the way they've done it. Like, it, it seems too easy. Um, well, it also... Here's the thing that I'll say about the Muppets. Yeah. Is that the whole thing that's brilliant and great about the Muppets, just like every Jim Henson character, Sesame Street, Muppets, every, yeah. all that stuff, is that he's created basically, like, a slightly updated version of, like, the Commedia dell'arte characters. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it's like the comedic premise of all of this yeah. is here's this character who has this has this these attributes that you can predict and that you know. Yeah, and then we'll mix and match those comedic premises that are characters together, mm-hmm. put them in new situations, and you get to see the joy of seeing them unfold. Right. And now what they've done is they've changed those in a way that it feels manipulative to me because basically what you're saying is. These characters look the same, so it feels like it's the same thing. Yeah. But we're going to change what's funny about them. But well, you, should, you should still like this because they look the same. There's a reason why the best stuff on the show, I think, is the Gonzo stuff. And the stuff with, what's the name of the crab that I always forget? Um, so, I was, I was going to say the exact same thing. Uh, the crab, his name is... Um, I always forget the name, but he's the funniest of the... He's, he's the example I always fall to. Him and the, him, and the bear. And the rats. The rats and the bear security guard. The bear, Bobo. Bobo. Those ca- the fu- there the is a crap? thing about original voice, original generation voice Muppets, where it's like if it's the originator of the Muppet, they have the most luck with it. Yes. And I, one of the, I mean, I, I sort of with this, I, I think I agree with a lot of the criticisms of the show. And I feel like maybe the show is going to need to refine itself when they come back and maybe. Well, they've. I know there's been like some some switch ups, right? I think they fired their showrunner. Yeah. And the thing that I think bothered me is that there was no heart to the first like six episodes. Right. And then last night I was watching this blackout episode. Uh huh. And then the thing that bothered me is I think they were hearing that so much uh-huh. that they tried to inject it into it. And so at the end of this episode, Kermit, for the first time ever, goes. And sits at a piano next to Rolf. Right. Oh, and they try to replicate the... They try to replicate that. Yeah. And then Kermit goes to his the, the swamp he's built in his own backyard and starts singing Rainbow Connection on the banjo. Yeah. And I was like, 
no, no, no. Yeah, no, yeah, no. it's bad. That was a bad you moment. Can't. And I, I honestly paused it, and I... Yeah, I don't like that either. ...got mad, and I turned it off and deleted all the episodes because I was basically like, you can't change everything about the Muppets, and then when it doesn't work, try to go back and do the old thing Yeah. on top of all of it. Well, the the probably I think the episode I liked the most of the season was... The Great Gonzo episode. Which one is that? It's the one where Miss Piggy agrees to let him Gonzo bring back the Great Gonzo for her show oh, to do I a stunt. I, I didn't think. Oh, I didn't see that episode. And, uh, but he has to change his name to the Great Gonzo brought to you by Piggy Water, which is this product that she's like pushing that she's endorsed. Right. That is a that the FDA says you can't sell as water because it has like a. Right. High salt content and a high like, right? As uh, like really bad for you, and um, the episode. It was mostly because it was a Gonzo-driven episode that it was like, oh, this actually works a lot better because it's dealing with the character that they haven't changed him. He's not like a new kind of Gonzo. Like I think the right. best joke in the pilot, or at least my favorite joke in the pilot, is the joke where. In the writer's room, uh, uh, I think Kermit says something about how they're like, what did you think of the sketch? And he's like, I think it was the worst thing that I've ever seen. It has to be completely redone. And then Gonzo says, hey, look at that. Only one note. Yeah, exactly. That's like a classic Muppet Show style joke. Well, that's also Gonzo playing the, the character of... I don't want to say I don't want to be too inside. I was going to say the character game of yeah, yeah. Gonzo, which is uh, optimism in the face of all opposition in pursuit yeah. of something insane and ambitious. There's also there's here's one thing. Tell me if you if if I'm alone in this. Doesn't the Kermit puppet look wrong? Yes. Like even just the way the face rests, his resting face feels like. Well, I don't. I think. I think they've redesigned a bunch of them, right? I think. Redesigned, but I think also the position that he's being held and the. Connor is zipping up his bag of props that is making Star Wars noises because some toy inside it has been activated. And it is the most Connor Ratliff thing that I've ever seen. Alright, um. <coughs> uh, I, I do think there is that thing about, like,. I stand by my feeling about how the original voices just make it easier because we know who the character is. And, it, and, and it's there's something about the reinvention aspect of it that makes it harder, like unusually harder. But I think it's even... Because like Sam the Eagle, I could imagine a version of this show where you took Sam the Eagle and you have him have this crush on Janine. Janice. Oh, Janice, sorry. On, uh, I always call that character the wrong name. Um, Janine is a reference to Bowie's first, uh, second album. That's right. Um, but it's sort of by making it like a, his defining trait. Like, I think you could, you needed to make it a lot more difficult for him because the real Sam the Eagle is actually kind of a jerk. Exactly. He's so stuck up that, like, this idea of, like, he's really just a big softy inside. Exactly. Is, uh, it's kind of one of those things where it's like it's like when I'm coaching an improv group and they'll and I'll say like they'll make a big move to like change the scene up and I'll kind of talk about how 
you can do something that completely changes what the scene is. Just like if, if you're going to say no to something in a scene that someone's kind of offering, you shouldn't probably, but there are times when maybe you have something that's going to be even better. Right. That's going to incorporate that into it somehow, that's going to be worth it. Most of the time, no isn't worth it because you're not building, but maybe you have a no that actually builds on that yeah. thing. Um, that him liking Janice isn't worth all that we lost of the character's original thing. Just like some of the stuff that you objected to about Kermit being kind of mean. Yeah. It's kind of like, I like the Jason C. I, I mean, this all falls under the same thing I said before, which is like, it's like a Beatles tribute band. That it's right. like, it's not the Beatles. It's the it's a Muppets tribute show. Yeah. And they're trying something new. And I think it, I still think it has promise and potential. Um, but just that element of like, if you're going to make Kermit... Like, I never... The one thing I really never bought in the Jason Siegel Muppets movie, even though I enjoyed it as a fun film, I never bought that Kermit would let the Muppets fall apart like that. They never really yeah. sold that Kermit would let that happen, that, that Fozzie would end up in this horrible Muppets or whatever, which is a funny... Yeah. It's a funny idea, and, it, and I think it's an exact right, kind of in a follow-that-bird sort of way of, like, it's the right move to put them in these disparate, awful places. Right. Um, just like that midway move in Muppets Take Manhattan where suddenly everyone's like, everything's yeah. falling apart. I think it is the right move to do it, but figuring out why Kermit would have let it happen needed a lot more work. And I'd say figuring out why Kermit is the way he is now requires a lot more in order to, like if you want him to have reached that point, we need a lot more yes. to buy it. Yeah, but I think basically what you're saying is the characters have changed enough that you need to explain why they've changed this much or else it just doesn't make sense. Or else it's just not them. And part of the problem is that it isn't them. Exactly. I mean, this is, this is a, a fundamental thing that can't be fixed because right. he's gone. Um, yeah, but I think even, but just, I, even just the, those choices are so strange to me. Um, the last episode seemed like it was building towards, because it was kind of a Christmas episode, it felt like it was building towards uh, maybe putting Kermit into a situation where he's like back together with Piggy or something. Uh, I just don't, I, yeah. It's so strange to me why they chose to change everything up. I mean, I get why, I mean, to a certain extent, I get why, uh, I get why it is, if you're going to redo it, you got to bring something new to the table. But here's the thing, is that this version of the Muppets, do you think any children enjoy this? I don't think it's for children. That's and, what I'm saying. And I th the, the original Muppet show was like, adults, children, like, there's levels for everyone to enjoy it. it. It struck that perfect strike zone, whereas here... If you show this to a kid, I think they'd just be confused. I don't know. I, I, I imagine at a certain age, I might have liked it. I don't know. Um, there's no... Re you know, it's like... There's there's maybe... <coughs> I know... Two or three jokes per episode. The, other, the rest of it is just like... People sort of being... Rude, but they happen to be puppets. Right. I mean, I know what you mean in terms of... Uh, it is that tricky thing of like... Bringing stuff back... It's always a hard. It's always a hard thing, particularly comedy stuff. That's like the Muppet Show is one of the funniest shows on TV, 
in the late 1970s. Uh, it was one of the coolest things in the world. Right. And we're now in 2015, and the odds that you're going to be able to... Like, I think, I think they made some pretty funny jokes. There are a lot of funny comedy things that happen on this first half of the first season of it. Yeah. And I may be also in a position where I've made my peace with being... Like, I've spent a couple of decades sort of raging against the universe about the fact that Kermit doesn't sound like Kermit anymore. And I may have just reached that tipping point where I'm like, ah, okay, let's see what this thing is. I don't know why they're doing all the old characters, too, though. I wish they'd done more of a Muppets Tonight kind of thing. With more new characters? Yeah, where it was just like a new breed. You could have those guys come and go. Yeah, I would be more inclined. It's funny, like, I'd be more inclined to relegate Kermit to a Lorne Michaels figure that you see every now and then yeah. and have a different guy be the showrunner and not have Scooter in it and not have any character that you can't... Not have Ralph for Fox, yeah. Yeah, like, or have them in a way where it's like you're excited to see them show up every now and then and it's a little yeah, fun cameo. But, I mean, that's sort of the thing that, about reboots and about uh, uh, things in general is that, like, uh, every time someone tries to reboot uh, a Disney uh, classic Disney cartoons or classic Warner Brothers cartoons or something like that. I feel like those same animators, if you were just like, hey, what kind of cartoons do you want to make? They'd be like, oh, I got this character. You know, and you'd be like, we're losing those things, right? Yeah. I feel like you've said that before. Maybe on this, I'm just regurgitating it. Um, we got to head towards town. What's the show that you're doing? I'm doing, uh, it's a cage match. Oh right, that right, right. And uh, it's a it's a Star Wars cage match, heroes versus, it's like the rebels versus the Empire. You're saying I probably don't need a coat, right? Uh, let me check the weather of what it's like right now. You're going to, um, yeah, you'll have to find someone interesting to talk to for a little bit when I'm doing this. But basically, you have, like duct tape. Um. I don't know if I have duct tape, but I'll look and see. I might have packing tape, a little bit of packing tape, yeah, maybe. That, that works yeah. Um, not sure how much. It's at that point where you can't really tell I, how I much tape is on it. Um, <clears throat> the I'm going to be dressing in this Boba Fett costume that I was given for free, um, and uh, the. Uh, yeah, I'm just... Uh, how's, how's the battery on your transmitter? I think I was at... Two... Yeah, I'm at two. No, that's full, right, too? Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, um, I'm going to go down to the basement, spray my hair like George Lucas, put on that Boba Fett costume... And then um, reveal I'm George Lucas during the improv set. Right. Uh, so hopefully this trick will work, at least on the audience. Um, I did the Star Wars show. Wait, this is... Oh, we used to do it in May. Yeah, for May the 4th. I did it like four years ago. Um, how was it? It was fun. It was me, Ben Ramega, Charlie Todd, Winston Knoll, 
Um, Josh Patton. Uh, Corey Palmer. Sean Diston. Alan Sorzynski. I played the Emperor. Sounds like a fun time. Young Skywalker. Um... So we are now at it's five twenty ish. And what time do we start? A little afternoon? I think we started right around noon. Yeah. Right around noon? Alright, so we're gearing up on the halfway point. Um how you feeling? I feel pretty good. I was th- laughing about how I th- I think we cover a lot of the same territory over and over again. But in like I think we we add like slightly new things every time, right? That reflect how we've changed, right? I think you're probably correct. Feels like a correct assessment. Um, I let me look at my notes and see if oh someone had a request um, because there was a episodes ago there was a. Um, there was a thread. Remember where I was saying something and then I couldn't remember what it was? Oh, yeah. What was it? Uh, it was talking about the screenplay that I wrote that, uh, for that then when Tropic Thunder came out, I'm like, oh, well, now that screenplay is pointless. Right. And I don't remember how much I said in that episode. And I don't even know if it's that interesting to me anymore. It's funny how things like that change in your estimation. That you're like, oh, this is worth talking about. And then you get to a point... Later on, we're like, is that? Yeah. Um, but the basic thing is this: um, that uh, I wrote the screenplay. There was a period where I was writing a bunch of play scripts and screenplays, and I wrote a novel. All things that will never be produced or published or anything. Now I look at them as just like good experiences, good exercises that I put myself through the motions, you know, and. No, I don't want them. Um, broken, broken headphones. Just put them in that bag. Right there. Yeah. Thank you, NYU. Thanks, NYU, for those headphones. Ten years. Um, and uh, Connor has put something on the television right now. Ha! Can anyone tell by the music what this is? Today is the last shopping day till Christmas, folks, and we take you now to downtown Toyland. Here we are in downtown Toyland, where children's dreams come true. Ladies and gentlemen, we are again watching two years later. Ziggy's gift. Directed by Academy Award-winning animator, animation director Richard Williams. Legendary animation director with songs by Harry Nilsson. So weird. I can't... Yeah. Wait. It's a Christmas tradition. Is my mic not working? No, it is. It's a real Christmas tradition. That we missed last year. Yeah. Um, and again, a weird, quiet, alienating... <laughs> Yeah, it's about like urban malaise, sort of. Um, so, 
Um, uh, anyway, I wrote that well, in the time where I was writing all these things. One of the things that test, I test 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 JD sorry test 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 Connor yeah you're good. One of the things that I wrote was what I thought was a pretty funny screenplay that was about. Um, two actors who basically get into like a pissing contest in terms of prestige acting roles and there's basically one actor that would be kind of like a light comedian turned who, who wanted to be taken seriously as an actor and um, he loses an Oscar to um, I think it was that he was playing like a gay astronaut or something and he gets nominated for an Oscar, but he loses it to a more intense kind of like John Malkovich, Kevin Spacey type actor, like an intense, like uh, um, respected actor. And he is developed. And so then he's like talking to his people and he's like, we blew it. Like, this was my shot. I like now I'm not going to be able to like the element of surprise is gone. It'll take that much more for me to get in the game. To, to win an Oscar now. And uh, he d develops a... Uh, he develops a project or he, uh, that is designed... Like, they find the script, and he's, it's, it's, he's playing a mentally challenged character. And he finds out that um, the other actor is also... Uh, being cons also considering a project that would be like very similar right. and playing a similar kind of character with some sort of like mental disability or something. And there was a scene in it where the light comedy actor kind of tries to subtly discourage the Malkovich type character from taking the part. And the Malkovich character sniffs out what the guy's doing. And just out of pure spite, that's the only reason. Like, he wasn't going to take the part, but just out of spite, he decides, oh, if, if you're competing me for it, he sort of, like, takes this amusement and, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this movie and I'm going to win the... Like, he doesn't care about the award at all, but right. he just wants to do it to fuck this other actor over that he doesn't respect because he thinks it's funny. And, and then it's all about how the, the two of them escalate their war where they keep making it like that they keep adding in things like that one character gains a lot of weight and then loses a lot of weight and they kept adding new things to the point where these like movies become these monstrosities of uh award bait sort of tropes right. and uh and then i think they end up losing they end up like being up against like a very old man and a child and i think the child wins the the award or something and um, the and the two things that I thought were that I was excited about for this was like this was definitely not the kind of movie that you could in order to do it right you'd have to do it at the level where it was convincing you couldn't do it couldn't be a first film you wouldn't have the resources to make it look you'd have to really be able to make it look like this is what it's about um, like I can't stand when people do a movie about a movie and then they show the clips for some reason that those clips don't look like the real kind of movie. Right. Um, so they would have to all look like convincingly like the right thing, the thing they're making fun of. And I was thinking like, not only would this be like a really fun kind of comedy to make, but I was also thinking like, Oh, the way you could promote it would be like, uh, 
if you got like big stars to be in this uh, movie, you would be putting up posters and ads for the fake movies for like a year beforehand. And I mean, that's kind of a variation on like the old Energizer Bunny commercials where the real pleasure of them was like getting faked out by it. So like building buzz for the movie by being like, wait, Nicolas Cage is doing this movie where he's a gay astronaut. Like, what is right. that? No one knows anything about right. it. And uh, which is basically exactly both things that Tropic Thunder did right. that's perfectly, stuff that they, exactly. which is like all those fake previews at the beginning of it, which are just like perfect. And so it was one of those things where the second I saw that there was the plot of, like, Robert Downey Jr. pretending to be black for it, and, um, what's the weather like? Am I okay like this, you think? I think, let me check. Yeah. Uh, uh I don't know, it's 61. I'll be fine. I'm kidding. How sad is that? I'm not sad, terrifying. Um, but, like... The what was the Ben Stiller movie in that it was like Simple Jack or something like yeah. that. It was just like all the jokes that uh, were in the thing I written were done, and in many cases much better. In Tropic Thunder, um, so I think that was the full story. It was just the fact that like it always does feel like when you have a fun idea for something. There is that dread that you're like, somewhere out there, there's another person who's working on the exact same thing you're working on, and if they get to it first, then... Yeah. Well, I have this feature right now that I'm writing that I'm terrified every day that I'm going to see a an advertisement for it. Yeah. I had another thing that... I, it happened a bunch of times. I had another thing that I really was... That should give us some fodder to talk about. Um... I'm pretty sure that my parents have accidentally given me a, a Christmas present that got revealed without uh, them intending to. What's that? I think they gave me a subscription to Entertainment Weekly because I got a card alerting me that I had been subscribed to it, and then I just received an issue out. I'm pretty sure that they were trying to subscribe me and have it be like a right. surprise for Christmas. Is that something that you wanted in particular? Well, they they get a subscription to it, and sometimes I'll say, like, just save them up for me, and I'll read them later. Or, right. like, if you're sending me something else, like, throw a couple of issues in it. Funny. Um, why is that? Uh, just because they, they've got them, they've read them. I'm no, really but, like, like, why do you... Because I don't think I've ever read Entertainment Weekly. It's great. What is it? It's, um... It's about what movies are coming out, what TV shows are coming out, what albums are coming out, it's what books are coming out. Right. Just an overview of, like, the week's latest entertainment stories, but it's not a trade magazine. Right. It's just, like, for people who want to know what's, what's out. They have reviews of stuff. They have articles and interviews with people. Just, like, a, it's, like, Time or Newsweek. Your but block it, feels very New York, just so you know. Oh, yeah. Just that image right there. Yeah, the Empire we're, State Building. We're down, we're down a hill, so you can see all the streetlights and cars going down this busy street, and then this, a subway, above ground subway going above it, and then behind that is a cityscape, and then to the right is people walking out from the train station. Hold on. Make sure I got everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that's it. Interesting. Um, that's interesting that you that that's a thing that you like take comfort in. Yeah, I mean, I read it since it came out, I think. 
you were a baby. <laughs> um, yes, you did. You, do, you did do some things in life when I was a baby. Um, it's like Time or Newsweek, but not instead of being for news, it's entertainment right. news. You know, it's like one of those like very. I'm surprised you've never read an issue of it. Or never looked I'm, at I'm it. sure I've flipped through it, but like yeah, beyond it, I just lump in with every other. You lump in with like, like People Magazine, exactly. So I like it a little bit more. Different. I mean, we were talked about on Entertainment Weekly's community blog. Oh yeah, we're you know we're <laughs> yeah we're Entertainment Weekly, exactly. That's right. Um, their community blog. Their community user generated. Yes. Um, it's all about the buzz. But it was great. Yeah. Um, so now we are heading toward the train. We've left my apartment. Uh, if you haven't already gathered that. If you haven't noticed. Um, I just ignore people when they look at me because I'm holding a microphone. Yeah. I've you, gone back to the old school version of things. Where... Because there was once a version of this. It originally started like this, where it was... You on love, me on handheld mic. Yeah. And then at a certain point, I got a second mob that I borrowed from folks. But I've given that up. It's just too, it's too complicated. I think, um, I think you look like J.D. Amato, Kid Reporter. It does look a little bit like that. But this is a city where you can just sort of do whatever you want to do it. Um, we're on the train now. We're on a seven train. Um, what time's your show? Seven. What time's it now? Five thirty-five. Great. You grab a bite to eat before or something? Yeah. Do you not eat lunch ever? Uh, I didn't today. I had a smoothie when I woke up. I had cereal when I woke up. Um, and, yeah, I, you look a little bit like uh, the same way Kermit the Frog on Sesame Street when he's a reporter. A little Just bit of that. The microphone's too big for my hand and... No, just like if you were to turn him into a human, like you'd be close enough. Yeah. Um, did I tell you, I recently had an experience where um, I was at, I was a coach a group, and then they had to back out, but it was like at the last minute, and so like typically the protocol is, yeah, so they were already going to pay, so one of the people in the group was like, can you, uh, how about if you just, I'll pay and you just um, coach me and we'll be a little bit more theoretical and we'll discuss certain things and try some things. So I was just doing that in, in the training center. I was just talking to this guy. And then Catherine Mudon was teaching her 101 and she was asking the people um, about shows they've seen that week at UCB. And they were like, oh, well, uh, my name kept coming up, and apparently my name had been coming up a lot because people were going to see Stepfather's or Ascat. And uh, someone else said, oh, and he's here right now. He's, like, in the training center. And they were saying, and so Catherine left the class and came out. She's like, would you come do some scenes in the class just for, like, 
And so it's actually really fun. Uh, you do that with the person. I just was one of the like eight people who were up doing scenes, and uh, there was one scene that we did. Did you bring the person you were coaching down? Uh, no, no. We were once we were done coaching. Oh, okay. I went in and um, and like did a couple of scenes. I was trying to let people sort of have their space, so I didn't want to like dominate. But we did one scene where like I initiated it. And then people kept coming in and adding things to it that like could have been derailments, but I just kept like incorporating them into building this yeah. reality. And I just remember as it was happening, I was I was very aware of like this would have been my favorite thing that happened if I was in 101 and like right. uh, Will Hines or or Tammy Sager or someone like that yeah. had come in. People I'd seen in shows had come into the room and done like a scene, yeah. and it went this well. It would have been that thing of like having that feeling of like oh this is what it feels like when a scene goes the way it, yeah. the scenes I watch go you know yeah that was a very satisfying feeling that's cool uh, it's also weird how much even though that's not the place where we took classes being in a classroom and suddenly like standing up on the back line like I didn't get nervous but it did for a second like wig me out a little bit like oh it's like 2009 yeah I'm also not a person I didn't I haven't taken class in a long time. Yeah. Um, I haven't done improv in a long time. The improv that I have done has been like two improv or something like that where there's no back line. And like six months ago or something, someone did their show where they had whole Carol teams back together. Uh huh. And like, so they asked Creature to perform. Yeah. And we felt like it was so funny because it was just like, you know, you never forget how to ride a bike kind of thing. It's like, yeah. It, Harold team never forgets how to be bad in its unique way. So it's like the things that didn't work about us back then like still didn't work. Yeah. It's funny to like, now we're all much better, but it's funny to see us all being aware of like, oh, this is why this would not. Right. And then there was a moment where I stand in the back line and I was like, what move should I make? And I was like, God, I haven't felt this feeling of being on a back line of like, how do I fix this? How do I, what do I? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just that the back line improv feeling is a very strange feeling. Yeah, it's kind of like... Um Recently, I demonstrated to someone that I stopped doing cursive after sixth grade. I've never wrote cursive after sixth grade. Right. Because once it was no longer required, I was just like, I never liked learning it. I just wanted to print better. Right. And when I do cursive now, it's exactly, it's like a time machine. I assumed yeah. when I, tr once as an adult, I tried it and I assumed like, well, I've gotten better at everything else. I'll naturally, maybe my cursive is a little better. And I, I write like I did in sixth grade when I do cursive. Right. It looks exactly like... Yeah, it's been interesting. And then there's other side of things too where like I feel like I've gotten better at basketball. Right. Like I'm putting all this time to like actually try to get better at it. Yeah. So we just had we're uh, the team that we're on, we're on like a regular Zog Sports League and then we left that. We joined this very intensely. We're playing against like kids that like just graduated and played in college on like college teams. Yeah. Which is like a level so far above anything that any of us it's like we're one of the worst teams in this league but we're in the bottom division and we're still losing every game but then we had this great playoff run where we ended up winning the championship it's crazy and the league gives out a trophy and then they gave out an MVP trophy that they gave to me and I was like it was the first time in my entire life that I've gotten a, anything for basketball you know what yeah. I mean and while I'm still not <coughs> great at bat you know I'm not I, I'm good for a 
the lowest division of a competitive Sunday rec league. You know right. I mean? Still something. Exactly. But it was uh, it was just interesting to see, like, like, oh, I've gotten better at this. I think I'm good at this now. Yeah. Like, I'm competitive at this. Um, and there's other things that are like that where you try them again, you're like, oh, yeah. Right. This is exactly what it didn't work before. Yeah, I've always been bad at sports, and nothing, nothing's going to change that. Like, I recently had a, had a thought of, like, I've never sung, except for, like, in, like, the seventh grade music show, and I'm, like, not yeah. a great singer. Yeah. So just as a test, I, like, sang along to a song, but had headphones on so I could record it and hear what I actually sang on it. Right. Like. And it was so interesting to hear how bad I was, you know? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that doesn't change that. That's still the same. Yeah. It's amazing how, what what changes and what doesn't. Yeah. You know? And I think there's still change to come. Do you think you're different than you were when you are 28? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I am. I'm not sure if I'm... I'm not sure if I'm, I'm, yeah, because I would say my biggest changes probably were um, between, like, 28 and 33. I think that's the period where I really changed a lot. Um, Because, like, I think I've changed a lot since my early 20s in major ways. Yeah. Most recently, I listen to people say that about their 30s where it's like, the difference between me in my 30s and me in my, my late 20s is like huge. I was like, oh, well then I look forward to to that. What is to come? Um, today is Frank Sinatra's 100th birthday. Weird. You would have been 100 today? That's very weird. So it's the centennial currently in the Barnes & Noble commercial. That's his big thing at the moment. Have you seen yeah. that? Which was so funny because I watched that commercial and realized that they built a Barnes & Noble in a studio. Yeah. Because I was like, yeah, Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett, they would never be able to put up with them shooting on location with those people. Right. Like, there's no way that they could accommodate that. They also... Um, that commercial was thought of by the, um, that commercial was thought of by, uh, Riggio, Len Riggio, the head, the head of Barnes & Noble, or the, the former, yeah. Who you feel like has ruined it. No, he's not the one who's ruined it. Um, no, I think there are some middle management types and corporate people at Barnes & Noble who made some very, very poor decisions, one of which is demonstrated kind of in that commercial. I think the commercial's fine. It's kind of a weird... You never know who you're going to run into at Barnes & Noble. I'm like, uh, it's a weird message in the sense that, it, well, it probably won't be Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett. Right. If it is them, you should leave them alone because they're there to try to find something. Well, it's funny that it's like the, their, their marketing voice, like, you could be celebrities. Right. It's, it's like, that's the thing that you're going to try to, that's, that's what you're going to push for. Yeah. As opposed to just emphasizing what's good about a bookstore, like, 
to make up a new thing like like my favorite part of a book is all the celebrities that are there it's like yeah, what there's also this weird sexual vibe in that commercial yeah that is also a weird message that I know she's a fashion icon but like she gives him a book about jazz and he gives her a book about fashion and it's like she's writing songs don't be so condescending give her a book about music uh, it feels like I always like it's funny because it's like criticisms. Yeah. It's like here's a song about jazz. Like, figure it out. Here's right. About fashion. You look atrocious. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. Yeah, but but the, here's the thing that really bugs me is that you can see in the background the categories that they have, and they have like a film section. Yeah. Which I noticed that Bar- which noticed Barnes and Noble no longer has, of course, because they've decided to rename everything. Because I think they, I think someone, some person in their twenties, thirties, or forties, is trying to figure out what young people like. What what? And they're trying to rebrand things because they think people will be like, oh, on screen, that's fresh. It's called watching movies about eating. It's books about food and books about movies. Yeah, I mean. They might as well have, like, instead of having a self-help relationship section, have a section called Swipe Right. Like, that's, the that's like, that would be an idea that would actually get traction with the kind of people who... It would be called Swipe Right, but they're also, then they'd be like, like you said, like, all the addiction books would be in there, where just like, wait, what? Yeah. And, uh, they don't realize that they have a simple thing. They have a simple thing, and all they have to do is do it well which is to be a bookstore. They can sell other things. That's fine. Exactly. But all they need to do is be a good store that sells things that people want. They don't need to rename all the sections with ridiculous new sections. The problems are not the signs. They need to fully staff their stores, not lie to their customers, and have sections that make sense. They need yeah. to make it easier for people to have a good time shopping there. You know, it's so simple, but there are... Too many people who are employed in that company who don't do anything, and so every year they have to think of a new big project to save the company, most of which lose the company massive amounts of money, causing them to have to lay people off who were doing the work that needed to be done. What do you think the benefit of a bookstore is? Um, The benefit of a bookstore is that when I'm searching for something in a search engine, it's true that they might recommend something to me based on my algorithm or whatever, my past history. But there are things that you might discover that would take a long time to discover through browsing and clicking through screens. And it's also more fun to browse a section of real books and maybe discover something on a table and be like, wait, what's this? I didn't know there was a new this. Because I've had things where I've been in the store a couple times over the past few months, uh, which I hadn't been in for a while. And I saw things, I'm like, oh, they have this. I didn't know this was out. Things that you don't know you're looking for. That's the thing. uh, Online, it knows what you would look for, and you know what you are looking for, but I guess it's kind of like... You don't know what you don't want. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah, it's a little bit of that Rumsfeld thing of, like, known knowns and unknown unknowns, not knowing what you don't know. Right. That there could just be, like, that you'll find something cool there. Um... I know that, like, I'm more likely to uh, discover, like, a record or something like that if I go browse a record store than I am to necessarily think of it on... See, I can't do that. Really? Yeah. I'm not good at record stores. Too overwhelming? 
Yeah, I just don't know. I don't know how to tell if I like something from a record. Um, listening stations can sometimes be tricky because everything sounds great on a listening station. Yeah. But I still have discovered stuff. Like, well, sometimes it's just that you'll see something and be like, wait, I didn't know this existed because maybe you didn't buy that thing from that website. You bought it from something else or someone gifted it to you or you read an article and you bought it on eBay or, you know. Um, but that commercial I mean it was like this before it was a couple of years ago they had uh, Jane Lynch in the Barnes Noble commercial and it was people dancing dancing all over the bookstore and they were like jumping from bookshelf to bookshelf and it was just infuriating because like we spent half our time telling people not to climb the shelves and not to right. stand like they'll they'll use the they'll, people will use a bookshelf as a step to get up higher and it'll break the bookshelf and all the books will fall over and then they'll be like oh I don't know as if they've ever encountered a, a shelf with books that works as also right. a ladder. Right. We got off at Grand Central. Uh, or get off at Brant Park and take the F down. What would you do? I'd probably take the six. Let's do but that then. I don't have. This is where I don't make this trip up. Let's take the six to Bleecker, right? I'll take it to Isn't Bleaker more of a straight shot over? Probably. Let's go Bleaker. Okay. You can also take the half, I don't care. Whatever you normally do. happened in the past few months that's of interest. I'm trying to figure out how I wrote my Big George Lucas talk show with uh, John Hamm and Jimmy Garofalo and yeah. Scott Asso. We I was at that. that. Um, and uh, how long is the show normally? Normally about an hour. This went about an hour and a half? I don't think it went an hour and a half. Because I got in trouble the one time it went an hour and a half. I think it went, probably went like an hour 15. It was definitely in the 20, hour 20s. Really? I remember it being 122. Okay. Films. Connor filmed it. 
But I don't think I'll ever put that online. It's just for me to yeah. have for reference purposes. Um, they seem to have a good time doing it. Yeah, I felt really good about it. Uh, that was the one where we were just talking about Felicity. Seeing Scott Adsit watch, and also Janine with the voiceover. Yeah, seeing them watch their own work on Felicity. Yeah. Upset children on the train. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever be able to top that one in terms of, in terms of like... Yeah. Uh, in terms of both it being a very, yeah, in terms of it both being a very, uh, an especially unusual topic for a show, a show where I pretend to be George Lucas and I, having just actually binge-watched four seasons of, of a show like Felicity. Um, and John Hamm was such a fun surprise. I was, I remember just the audience reaction. Yeah. Uh, that moment was that there was no reason for him to be there. I've been yes. actively courting a lot of big name guests uh, who actually had an, a connection to Felicity. Right. So there was maybe some reason to speculate that I would get Carrie Russell or I would get J.J. Abrams or someone right. connected to Felicity. And you've always been very uh, upfront in promoting when you've had any guests. So yes. it felt like no one was expecting you to have someone that big that was... And I'm holding it back, yeah. And so, um, I just knew that it was more fun. I actually felt bad because uh, there were a few people, I think, who normally come to the show who just opted not to come to that one. Right. Like uh, Casey, longtime 12-head Casey. Right. Uh she had to be up early the next morning, so she just opted. And I think it was maybe the first one that I can remember that she wasn't at. Right. And I just, in the organizing of it, it all fell together at the last minute. It never occurred to me uh, to give heads ups to people who are always there. Right. Because I thought it would be better as a surprise. Exactly. And, and for people who weren't always there, I kind of had this feeling of like, if, you, if we don't get you there with the promise of... Scott has energy ground flow, then I kind of don't want you there. Like, if, you, if that didn't do it for you, exactly. then you don't get the treat. Right. Because this is already a good deal. Exactly. To come to a $5 midnight show and have this kind of lineup. And two hilarious comedians. Uh, that these are, like, collectively, the amount of talent and uh, pedigree is already insane for what the show is. Right. Uh, it's kind of amazing to think that anybody said yes to it. Right. Uh, especially because you, you only, like, you kind of get a thing where, like, with uh, you, when you don't, when, when you're not, when people don't know you that well, you build up like, maybe a little bit of goodwill from, like, you work together on something, it's a good experience, and that gets you maybe, it's almost like at a, 
Chuck E. Cheese or something where you get this many tickets and you're exactly. like, it's good for this. Where it's like, I had had enough of an experience with Scott uh, that, that with Atamanic vouching for the show, I was able to get him to do Terry Withers. Right. And then that was enough of a, that was, he had fun doing that show and it was a good show. So that got us like 10 more tickets. Right. Because like, I don't think I would have been able to get Wait, him. You used up our tickets? I used our tickets. Uh, whereas I don't think it would have necessarily, I don't think I would have had enough tickets to do it in the reverse order. Yes. Like, I don't think if I had said, if I'd had the one experience with Scott and then uh, said, hey, I have a midnight show where I talk about Felicity right. and, okay. um, and, but Terry Withers was enough of a positive experience that we got 10 tickets. Right. I feel like that's always my my only currency with some of these things is like you will have fun doing the show. Yeah. And I feel at this point I feel pretty confident that I think everybody who's done George Lucas talk show has had fun doing it. Yes. And it's really important to me because I'm like I'm not giving you money. It's not giving you exposure. There's none of the things I can promise, but it will be a fun way to spend midnight to 1:10 a.m. on a Friday night. I'm impressed. You got a pretty good audience out for that show too. Yeah. Um, and which I remember the very early George Lucas talk shows, there was like seven people in the audience. Yeah, the ones that we did at Producers Club, those first ones. We all, there was one where I remember we almost didn't. I think we did two of oh, them, right. and there was one that. where it was like, oh, there's no one here. Right. We have more, almost as many guests as we have audience. Right. And it was free. Uh, it's just hard to get... It is that thing. It's hard to get people to show up for stuff. Yeah. Um, you kind of need those, like, institutional uh, things to kind of build up. You're like... You almost need people who are going to the building or the festival or the whatever the thing you're part of. Right. Just... It's kind of like that thing of, like... You uh, put your restaurant on a road. Yeah. Um, is that a saying? No, I just made it up right now. That's great. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's a saying. It's a pretty easy concept. Yeah, but you sounded so confident when you said it. I hadn't heard it before. Well, you know, I'm a confident guy, Connor. Um, I feel like you hear that statement and you, J.D. Amato, start thinking of ways to put a restaurant not near a road. I did, immediately. What's happening? Uh, we have a DJ doing a mix on the VA system right now. You know what I've realized? What? There's been a couple of bad drivers of trains that I've had to deal with. Yeah, you stop, you stop short. Well, they stop. I had one that there was like construction and kept like starting and stop, like jerking, where like the entire ride it was like being lunged forward every yeah. two seconds. That everyone was really frustrated, and I almost. I was very close to pressing the button being like, if you have a green light, go. Otherwise, wait. You're making everyone sick on this train. Yeah. So it was literally like every two seconds as if someone just like was pushing. Yeah. Give me a little shove. And I almost got, when I got off, I almost was going to say something too, but then I was like, I don't care ultimately. But it is funny how you could, if you're a bad driver, 
And you're on a because how many people do you want to think are on a train at any given time? Dozens? Yeah. What's that? Dozens? More? A thousand at least. On one train? Let's count how let's count how many people are in one car. And then how many cars? Let's let's count okay, so in in one of these cars on an F train, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. Let's do a max capacity. Oh yeah. Of the seats. Right? Yeah. So there's three person per section. Three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen. Eight on the ends. Yeah. Eighteen. Thirty-six on there. Let's go ahead and get on. This won't take us all the way, but it will take us to Broadway, and we'll just walk from there. These trains have 10 cars. That's a I lot. So. I think it like. Let's go. We're in the front car, so when we get off, we can count as it goes by. Yeah. Let's just assume 100 people per car. Yeah, I think that's about fair. Let me, let me count how many there are on just our half of this car. All right. JD is counting the people now. <laughs> this is a. Looking around. But I think the car is too long for JD to count the whole entire car. And start guesstimating. Yeah, it's like about 40 to 50 people on our half. In our half, so it'd be 100 total? Yeah. And you think there's nine more cars behind this one? It's a long car. I think there are. I think there's two. I think there's maybe six. No, there's way more than six. Seven, maybe. No, I'm going ten. No way. Let's see. Look at how long the yellow is. You know that there's ten cars? Let's count, once we go in there, let's count each time we think we've passed a length. Yeah, I see the exact same thing. I don't know how to judge I that. I don't know quite how to, but we'll see. So it'll be like... Get that out. I 
then whichever train, hopefully this train leaves first. Yeah, no, I think they're gonna line us up just right. train leaves first and we can just count the cars and it'll be real easy. Exactly. What do you think the odds are that'll happen though? I don't know. Nope, oh, it's not going to happen. Well, let's count how many lengths we think. How many lengths we think? I don't think it's anywhere close to 10. I think it is. No way of knowing. Um, so the two end cars. Then there's at least two cars buffering either side. That's six. And so there's got to be at least four more cars. Four in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for logic? Um, it's very bustling time on the train. It's a I bet it's going to be like eight cars. Seven or six. I bet it's eight. I think it's ten, but I bet it's eight. Maybe. We'll find out. I mean, we'll know. We'll have an answer for this. We're going to have hard numbers at the end of this. Yeah. Um. When I think about it, like getting that reaction for like, because when when John Hamm came out, the audience first reacted like, I think a lot of people thought we had someone imitating him. Yes, they thought it was, it was a, a bit. fake thing or a bit. And because also the way you set it up was, we didn't ask him to be here. Yeah, it's nothing to do with this. Right. He just happens to be here. But it's just our next guest. Yeah. Um, Mr. John Hamm, and then Mr. John Hamm, and then the audience all laughed and clapped, and like in a polite way that was like, oh, yeah, yeah. it's gonna be, it's gonna be Sal Gentile or someone doing an impression. Yeah. Uh, and then when he came out, people like gasped. Yeah, and when you think about like, not that it's like I'm getting addicted to this sort of thing, but like when you think about that reaction, and then the reaction that you can hear on the. Noah death scene of Terry Withers yeah. where you really can hear how upset the audience is. There is something about being able to register these moments with the audience where you know it's more than just 
it's great making them laugh and stuff like that. Right. But every now and then, like, you get something where it goes a little bit further than that. Yeah. And it really is, like, the kind of thing that you remember as an audience member when you had an uncontrollable emotional yeah. outburst because when you truly something. reacted to something. Yeah. Um, I do have this... Uh, I do have this vision of, uh, of a time when uh, Terry Withers is a, is a television show and people talk about how they used to see it live in New York City as a stage show for a few years. Yeah. And it is like when you hear about people who talk about Mr. Show and when they saw them like performing at like Largo or something right. in L.A. and what like a, a, a heyday that was for like a certain kind of cool comedy. Yeah. Um, when you look at the one of the when I was like promoting the show in the summertime and one of the the images I put up was just like a, pictures of all the people who had been killers since last November. Right. And it was like holy shit this is a really impressive looking slate of people who who agreed to do the show and all of whom did like really great work yeah most of whom really enjoyed it I don't think there's anyone that didn't enjoy it Gethard was a little hard on himself after it yeah but that's Gethard but he enjoyed but he enjoyed the show yeah um and he wouldn't have wanted to not do it exactly uh I watched the the GoPro footage of their scene uh, which is not something that you can really put online. It, it's, it just doesn't yeah. look right. But just hearing Terry, because I've never seen Terry and Gethard do improv together. Yeah. yeah I don't know if you know if they ever have been on a stage together. No. And just that alone is just like, ooh, it's like watching... Uh, it's watching like a guitar player from one band sit in with a band they've never like played with before. Jordan and Steph Curry play together. Yeah, those athletes... Yeah. Or is Steph Curry a country? He's an athlete. Basketball um, player. Change the game of basketball. It's okay. It's all right. Why? What was wrong with it? Uh, well, they're currently... He's on the Golden State Warriors. Uh-huh. That's they're the team? Currently, they're currently undefeated. Oh, congratulations. Which is... Impressive. You know, they're very impressive. Um, they're Someone should close. try to defeat them. And they almost lost. And then Steph Curry is shooting at a percentage of efficiency that is higher than anyone has ever played. What do you think? Did you follow all that, that Facebook debate between Josh Patton and Michael Caine about... Uh, was it about how good Jordan is or was compared to modern players? Oh, yeah. So there's always, always this debate that the game is developed so much that players in, like, the 80s and 90s wouldn't be able to compete these days because the players have just gotten so much better and so much bigger. Yeah. But then if you really look at the, like, all of the measurements and specifics, it's not really that true. And really what it was is highly athletic people adapting to the game of that time. And there's an argument that those people would be able to adapt just as easily to the current game. What do you think? Um, I think it's true that, like, I think talent always increases because people learn new ways to be better at it. Right. New bars are set. Yeah. So I think if you transported those people... To now. To at, now. at their ages, they would figure it out and still be the best? Well, what I think is like if you transported them from their prime to now, they would be, wor they would be worse. But if you 
if that person came up in this period of time, they would be just as, you know what I mean? Yeah, because in order to really make the one side of the argument true, you have to bend the reality in a way that would be like, would he be better if he was a ghost? Exactly. You know what I mean? Where it'd be like, maybe if you could touch the ball, he'd be the best. Exactly. Um, well, it's also the kind of thing, too, where it's like, people are like, Will Chamberlain, who is like famous old players, like, Will Chamberlain versus Kermit. Fathered like, a lot of children. Like, yeah, and it's also like, well, Will Chamberlain was playing in like flat bottom converse right. in a nation that was not very receptive to non white people. You know what I mean? Like, right. So it's like, sure, maybe he did that. And like, advances in trainings like that. It's like, yeah, if you brought Will Chamberlain in a time machine, he would probably get beaten by the guys today because like everything's advanced and there's more opportunities now, so people are better. But if you time traveled, ten year old Will Chamberlain had to grow up in the modern era, yeah, he'd probably be just as dominant. Yeah, unless the fa- unless so you have someone where the factors that motivated them were uh, different and you couldn't replicate exactly. them or something. In which case, it, yeah, it's a theoretical question that. It's whether those people really were extraordinary or whether it was just, like, things were easier. Well, it's like saying, um, would Orson Welles be the greatest filmmaker if you was making movies today? It's like, well, if you release Citizen Kane today, it probably would not be as successful. Yeah. But if Orson Welles was alive, he probably wouldn't have made Citizen Kane. He probably would have made a movie that was relevant to now. Yeah. Citizen Kane maybe is a bad example, but like no, I think it's I think it's a good way of thinking of it because that's it's like easy, the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> that's easier. I think that's easier to grasp um, how weird the the concept is, right? Because with athletics, we tend to think of it in terms of well, the game is the game. Whereas like, uh, there's no question that if Orson Welles were were just transported to now, he would be like, I'm not going to make a black and white movie about yeah. a, a newspaper uh, magnate. Exactly. Uh, he'd make a movie about Rupert Murdoch. Right. And it would be, uh, and it would be in color, and it would use all the modern techniques that he would learn very quickly. Exactly. Um, so that's sort of. It's kind of unfair to think of it in terms of. Oh, oh! Did they, did they drop that hat? Where's your hat? Hat Oh. Damn it. Is there a way? Yes. Yeah? Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, see that? Yeah. Got it. All right. Uh, oh, I thought they were about to rough mask. Do not throw things from the train. Don't throw hats out of the train. What we did, what just happened was two people got off the train. One of them dropped their hat. Uh, I noticed it, but then the door was closing. JD tried to ask very quickly, is this your hat? And then we were like, oh, there's no way to get out of the train. And then JD... What was that? On the window? Yeah, you'll always remember what a good person you are. Um, that was interesting to watch because I I, re- I gave up immediately because I'm like, there's no way. Uh, what a, and you were immediately like, no, there is a way. And I was like, what is JD seeing that I'm not seeing? didn't even occur to me that we could open the window and throw it out there and you did it within there was literally not a second more uh, like one more second and it wouldn't have made it like even as it was it like flew you saw her get it right, right. Uh, it like flew out the window and she just barely got it Ugh, I'm sorry oh shit that's a real bad cut do you want a band-aid you want a band-aid 
Let me see if I have one. I should have one. Um, this is a little piece of advice. If I haven't said it before, always keep Band-Aids in your wallet. If you're, uh, I think women, because they have purses, tend to have more useful things. Right. But men, if you carry a wallet, buy some Band-Aids. Just go to a drugstore next to anything. Buy some Band-Aids. Put a bunch of Band-Aids in your wallet because what you'll find is there are more times that you, that you think of where it's useful to have one. And people think, people never expect it, and they think you are a wizard for having them. This is true. Impressive seeing how quickly you found a solution to that. Because I would have been, I would have thought of it. Let's let's pull over and we'll deal with that. I'd like to go outside. Okay. Um, just the fact that you. Like water. Yeah. Um, like you can tell in that moment that. I wish there were a. Uh, I wish there were a corollary in that moment that illustrated, like, well, uh, my skill was this part of it. Right. Um, but mine was just noticing it. But you could have easily noticed that too. I just happened to be looking in that direction. Um, and you very quickly MacGyvered it. But you also. I guess here's the thing. You needed me to open the window. Yes. Because it was a two-man job. Couldn't open the window without me. Are you limping? Is it because you cut yourself? I think it's because... Lack of food? Yeah, I haven't eaten today, really, aside from a bowl of cereal. Yeah. And I was already feeling like <laughs> Nourishment. Right. And then I hit my arm really hard. So the cut's not a big deal, but I think I also... Your system is like, what's going on, JD? Yes, exactly. We need to... Let's cross here. For a second. For a second, I was like... Oh, am I about to pass out? Yeah. And that has passed a little bit, but I'm still not feeling great. Yeah, you you had a look on your face I don't see often. That's my like, what's going on here? What can I do? But not, there's a difference between that and there's a version of JD that is. Uh, so, so the cut on my arm is pretty deep. It's pretty deep cut. Um, there's a version of you that is like, what's going on here? What can I do? Right. And there's a version that's, what's going on here? What yeah. can I do? And that's like the more internal, because I'm actually not good at dealing with like. Right. I really need to like uh, convince myself out of just like having a full body shutdown. Yeah. So right there, I was like, I felt like I was about to pass out. Yeah. And I like my vision start getting very. Uh, we should white. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's like you're just like, uh oh, here we go. We should note that we're walking through the East Village on SantaCon, so. There's just like drunken Santa Clauses everywhere. 
most hallowed day? It is like it is like the one aspect of Christmas celebration that I think everybody I know's opinion of it is that it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, there's an element of like the kind of people who seem to dress up and and be most visible during SantaCon. Uh, it's almost as if there was like a a day called like Rudolph's Dick Day where everyone dressed yeah. up and showed off like a, 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 a Rudolph that was like anatomically explicit right exactly it would just be like oh it's kind of an unpleasant holiday I get it oh this isn't fun yeah because uh, there's very few aspects of the Christmas season that I have an objection to uh, even, the, even the parts that I don't really celebrate right like, I don't celebrate the religious parts but they don't bother me Right. It seemed to be coming from a, a place that makes sense to me and it, it, it jives with uh, what I like about the secular holiday. It's not like it's in open contradiction. It would be like if, it's not like if uh, the religious Christmas was like tied into like judging gay people or something. Right. It's, it seems to be tied into a pretty like story of like goodwill toward men, that sort of. Exactly. That sort of stuff that I can get on board with. Can't get over how impressive you were under under pressure. Well, even though I was you injured just yourself. about it because I was like, my first impulse was just to throw the hat out the door and yell at them. Yeah. Like you know, because the door was closing. But then yeah. I was like, what if it's not her we hat? Weren't sure if it was their hat or the hat of someone inside. Right. So like, what if you had your hat on the chair next to you and then I just took it and threw it out the <laughs> yeah. my door? Yeah, you couldn't make the choice without the knowledge. And then I didn't see. So you saw her indicate, yes, that's my hat? Well, basically what happened was I went, hat, 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 ma'am. And then, or I mean, you, you're, you, you guys heard. You heard it. He said, is this your hat? Is this your hat? Yep. Something like that? And then someone else on the platform touched the lady and was like, is that your hat? And she turned around and went like, oh, like she was like, she was like, damn it. I, it seemed like she had it was like, a nice little hat, too. And it seemed like, like a she very, had a bad day. Yeah, it seemed like that kind of thing where it was just like fucking another thing. And then she just sort of like gave a look like, well, that's it for the hat. Yeah. And, and I, then I love that what she will have seen you inside was you going, you like had your finger raised like, no, 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 I've got this. Yeah. And she will have seen you figuring out how to do it. Hey, guys, JD here. Um, we had some audio issues, but so I'll step in instead and do a little bit of uh, audio inception, give you guys some funny context, and then play you a different audio thing before going back into the episode. Um, so if you noticed uh, during that whole subway situation, um, afterwards I hurt my arm and I cut my arm and Connor puts that Band-Aid on it. Well, I didn't realize how bad the cut actually was until I got home after the podcast. And cover your ears if you don't like gross details, but... It was a deep enough cut that it was like seeing parts of my arm, even though it was a, a small cut, it was very deep and it wouldn't sort of stop bleeding. Um, so I got home and was very surprised to see that um, that had continued to take place. Um, and so I spent like a good hour or two at home trying to sort of figure out a way to get it to close since it had been now like open for hours and hours and hours. Um, and I was so tired and I couldn't figure out what to do. And I did enough Google research and whatnot. And I realized that I probably needed to go to the hospital just to get at most like a stitch or two to at least just close it up. Um, 
but so I went, ended up going to the hospital, um, and they, they got it all fixed. Um, so what I'm going to play for you real quick right now is this is audio that I recorded on my way home from the hospital. Um, this is at like 5 a.m. after the recording of 12 hour day. And I'm just a little out of it because I've been up all night um, on adrenaline and whatnot. Um, but here's me walking home from the hospital after going to the emergency room. Hey, 12 heads, JD here. Um, I'm walking back from the hospital, which is only a couple blocks from my apartment. And uh, uh, when, uh, so my, my interruption here is that I'm walking back from the hospital right now at 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m., because I had to get a uh, quick little uh, little attendance to my wound on my arm, which, as you hear in the podcast, when it happened, I sort of, my body went into a little bit of shock, and then it didn't hurt at all, and then it wasn't until hours later after I put on Connor's Band-Aid that I took the Band-Aid off and realized that it, there was a lot of blood everywhere, and that... The wound was not closing. So I just went to the doctor, you know, the emergency room or whatever, and just had to ask them, you know, do you think I need stitches or whatever? And they were like, yeah, we think you need stitches. Um, and then it ended up, the doctor was like, I could give you stitches, but he's like, instead, I'm going to use a shit ton of this glue to try to glue it back together. And if it comes apart, we'll probably need to do stitches, but let's try the glue first. And I was like, down with it. But anyways, I'm fine. Things are fine. But I just thought it was funny that, uh, you know, I ended up need, <laughs> ended up in the emergency room. Um, you know, whether I needed to or not is another question. If he just glued my shit back together. But anyways, I just thought you guys would think it was funny. Um, but I'm a-okay. Um, but you know what? You guys witnessed, you know, I, I'm a real hero. I'm a real hero. I put, I put that lady's hat first and that's what's important in society is that we're all putting each other's hats first. All right. Anyways, I'm fine. It's no big deal. Um, you know, if they're willing to glue it shut, that means it's, you know, <laughs> that means you're probably fine. Um, but I did just spend two hours waiting at the emergency room in Queens to uh, get my cut glued back together. But you know what? Connor's right. Always bring a Band-Aid. All right, guys. Now back into the action. Okay, so that was me going home from the hospital. Um, And now it's funny because as you listen to the podcast from here on out, you can also just imagine that my arm has a big old cut in it and I don't realize how bad it actually is. Um, which I think makes some, some of the stuff particularly funny. Um, as you realize that like (laughs) I'm slowly bleeding out from my sweatshirt. That's not true, but, um, I do think it affected my mood because it was definitely, uh, it definitely hurt a lot. We'll put it like that. All right. Anyways, uh, back to the podcast. Sorry to jump in here, um, but we lost some audio, so I decided to patch it back up with this little audio adventure. All right. See you guys soon. Thanks.
see you guys soon. I don't know why I said see you guys soon. I'm not going to, I mean, I might, but I don't know. All right, back to the podcast. Hi, Mom. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm, re- I'm recording you. Is that okay? Oh, <laughs> so what for? Um, the, our, the 12-hour day podcast ran short. Uh, oh, and you thought, who can I talk to that would just, I'll ask her a question and she'd talk for 20 minutes. I mean, that c- it could be a case, <laughs> but uh, I, I thought it might be interesting since we ran short. Um to get the details down. Dad's not there, is he? He's not here. So that would mean I get to be the star of my own story. That's right. Well, and I think you'll probably have a, a good recollection. Maybe some other time we'll get his recollection of what happened yesterday. Yeah. His will be totally different to mine. Have you heard him tell the story that you're about to tell? I I have been married to him for 45 years. I know exactly what he's telling everybody. He uh. was on his own. And he stopped the car. Okay, go ahead. Let's actually, because I haven't set it up in any way. Um, I got text messages from you yesterday that said, um, the first one that, that I got, I got a bunch in a row because my phone had died. Yeah. Uh, and the first one said, you busy, which is usually a, that's usually a terrible. It's cold if you can. No, yeah. No. Most of the time, it's real bad news because it means like you need to tell me, you need enough time to say it or something. I mean, enough that I recognize that when I get a text that says, do you, are you, do, you have to, do you have time to talk? You busy or something like that? It's usually something health or something, you know? No, sometimes it means I've told stuff to Brianne and I don't want you finding out three weeks from then and saying, how come you never told me that? Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, you, okay. but uh, th- then go ahead and, and tell what happened yesterday. So I was driving Dad to work. We'd gone to lunch, and I was driving him, uh, dropping him off at the office in the afternoon. Because he can't, and he can't, he can't drive. He can't drive at the moment because, because he can't drive because he had a seizure. Yeah, and they don't and know so what the they don't know what it was. They don't know what it was. So the law is. It said it might be just a one-off thing, but regardless, if you have a stroke or anything, the law in Missouri is you cannot drive uh, for six months. Right. And if you have another one, then, of course, you they take your... If, or if you're on seizure medication, you can't right. drive. But he didn't have to go on any medication because they didn't find uh, a reason for it. And so he's just barred from driving. And now, right now, he's a crabby passenger. Yeah, he's very frustrated. And I think that might give some context to his behavior in this story. Is that at the moment, <laughs> at the moment he feels uh, a little bit powerless because he can't drive himself around. Oh, he has to rely on you. So. Yeah. Except for yesterday when he thought he was Rocky. All right. <laughs> he, he uh, or Arnold. Yeah. So we were driving back a couple of blocks from the, the Missouri Banker's office, and I see uh, across the street from where I'm passing, there's a big van, a red van, and on the other side of the van on Marshall Street, I saw this little, not very tall, um, young woman, maybe in her 20s, a blonde-haired girl, and... This guy was going after her from the van, and she was 
like he was sort of threatening her and I couldn't hear what he was yelling, but she was looking back at him with her hands like, God, get away from me. That sort of, that sort of, uh, arm movement. And he was screaming at her and she was backing away from him. And then he, he grabbed her and he was pulling her and he got his arm around her, her shoulders or neck, you know, and he was pulling her. And so I said, Oh my God, he's trying to get her in his van and, and I pulled over. I didn't realize at the time I hadn't actually, hadn't actually parked. I just had sort of stopped the car. Uh, there was a parking space. I didn't spend the time reversing into it. So I just pulled over on the outside of the parking space. And, um, then dad, you know, under normal circumstances, dad would be inclined to say, it's nothing to do with us. Right. You know, stay out of it. It's nothing to do with us. But I had all the power because I have the car keys. So, but he was out very quickly out of the car and he's dressed in his suit. He's dressed up. He's going to work and headed across. And then I was getting out of the car. But the girl's dog, she had one of those little yappy dogs came around. And I'm like you. I start backing into the car again because this little yappy dog goes. So he went across and then he. He said, let her go, let her go. And the guy told him, get away, it's nothing to do with you. He said, you know, he's just really angry and screaming at Bill. Was there any um, profanity? Did you just censor any profanity from what he yelled? I think there was, but I don't I don't know. My, my uh, thing at that point was I thought, oh, God, I've sent Bill in harm's way. Right. That guy could have had a gun here. I mean, that would not be anything out of the ordinary if he had a gun. And he, um, so... Bill, you know, stood up to him and he had, by that time, he had dragged the girl into the car. Right. And uh, she was crying and then the dog escaped and came running over toward me. At that point, that's when I was thinking, oh, I can't go across the street. That dog's going to bite me on the ankles. And uh, Bill had yelled at me, call the police, Mm -hmm. uh, which I was, I had started to do anyway. And so I called the police and they came on, Jeff City Police Department, and I said, you know, uh, what my name was, and I am on East Capitol at the corner of Marshall Street, and there's a guy trying to drag a girl into his van. And my husband has gone across to stop, and I said, if you could get somebody over here. And then she didn't answer me, and I was a little panicked. I said, are you, hello, is anyone there? Are you there? And she said, yeah, honey, just, she was very, very cool. Yeah. Just keep talking. She said, they're, they're, I've dispatched them. They're on their way. While I was talking to her, she was whatever, on yeah. the computer, you know. And they're on their way. And she said, tell me, you know, who you are and tell me, um, give me your phone number and all this. So in case it's a prank call. And so, um, meanwhile, at the other side of the road, dad the guy was like not threatening dad, but being belligerent toward her and saying, get in the car. And her purse was in the car. And then dad made him, uh, he said, get your purse, you know, get your purse. And, Do you want to be in the car? And she said, no, no, she didn't. So I think it wasn't, you know, they, it wasn't some strange random guy who didn't know her. Right. It was, it was obviously, Domestic I don't dispute. know whether, yeah, I don't know whether he was a, he really looked like a kind of a meth head, you know, he's the teeth and the whole thing. Right. And, and. You described, also, when I asked you how old he was, you said probably 30s, but it, you couldn't tell because, you know, he looked like a, a, a meth user a, in a way that it could be someone in their hard living 20s, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and the young woman, you know, maybe she was 18, but to me she looked like maybe early 20s. Right. You know, and not 
not well cared for. You know, I felt I felt very bad for her because she needed a mom as far as I was concerned, you know? Right. Uh, she looked like someone, and you don't know, is this a pimp or, you know, what what was their situation? Yeah. And she, or was she escaping from a bad situation? Right. And so, so, um, dad, so the guy was like being aggressive and trying to make her stay in the car and, um, uh, then, Dad had taken that military, his military baton from the glove compartment, which I didn't even know he had that until he got back in the car. Right. And it's one of those expandable he, ones where you like flick it in. It's and an expandable one. You flick it and then it becomes like twice as long. Right. And they're, those things are hard. Yeah. I think I just talking to my friend Susie and she said they're called like Widowmakers or something. Right. And um, anyway, uh, he when when dad flipped that out. Yeah. He sort of thought that, you know, this guy has a weapon, at least, and he means business. Right. And so dad did. Short. So dad flipped the weapon out at when the guy was getting belligerent with him. It was the equivalent of Han Solo getting out his lightsaber. Right. Han Solo, well, now, I got to say this. Han Solo doesn't fire the lightsaber. Uh, uh, okay, that's so a Jedi weapon. He that. fights with a blaster. Yes. But your point is, uh, is yes. your basic point is true. He's armed and dangerous, and and you know his his his. Now I always say that's not somebody I'd send into a knife fight, right? But or even a fist fight. But he uh, because he'd rather talk his way out of trouble than anything else, right? But he did have twenty five years of military experience, and he was a commanding officer, yeah. So he knows how to turn that on. Sure, yeah. You know, and so he. Um, so I mean, in a flash. Oh, and meanwhile, a guy pulled up behind us in a car, and he saw what was going on, and he stepped out of his car, and he nodded at me. Are you calling? You know, was I calling the the police? And I I knew what he was saying, and then I was glad to see him. He was younger than a good bit younger than us, and that you know it was like backup if your dad needed anybody, and so um, some guy came out of an office uh, along there because he'd heard all the yelling came out to see what was going on yeah but the police came so quickly and neither one of us could count how many cars but i would say at least four they right. all have big um uh, suvs now lovely black and white suvs and where these big police officers came from i've never seen any of these guys around big strong looking guys you know yeah and uh, but they were nice and they were they were like very polite to us and they wanted one guy came across to me and said, "What are you the lady who called us suggest?" So I told him what what I'd seen, and um, then they talked to Bill and they talked to the other man that was there, and um, they said they'd be in touch. But they had that guy in handcuffs in no time flat. Right. I mean, behind his back, and they they hauled him off out of there, and they um, I had remembered at least two because I thought that guy takes off. I had described the, the car and the make and the color and the license plate to the lady on the phone just right. in case. And, uh, but, um, yeah, it was just, and then on my, my thing was this little girl sitting on a wall on Capitol Avenue and crying and with this big policeman. And I said to her, honey, are you, are you okay? Do you have some place to go? Mm-hmm. And with that, I heard your dad saying to him, Greta, let's go. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Yeah. That girl was going to be in your bedroom last night, Connor. 
But he, I knew what Dad was. I said, "You thought I was going to bring home a stray, didn't you?" He said, "I didn't know what your your plan was from there on in, but we'd done our right. duty." He'd already gone along. He'd already gone along with your uh, initial. Oh yeah, yeah, with me sending him across the street to beat up some old crackhead. So we will, I guess we'll find out something. Now, there was another thing you told me, which was that a woman came out of one of the buildings nearby. Oh, and, she was, yeah. yes. She was walking toward us up the street and, you know, looking puzzled, like, what is happening here? So many police cars. They came from every direction, I have to say. They they had circled around the block so that they would be right coming up Marshall Street and coming from the other side of. So it was very smart. Uh, so they surrounded, they they surround, they they surrounded him. Yeah, there was no escape there. And so, uh, but this lady came up and she looked puzzled. And you know how you do when you try to see what's happening here. And so she um, she made a sign to us, like, to roll the window. And she said, what happened? What's going on? And so we said, oh, some guy was sort of beating up on a girl and he was trying to drag her in his van. And we called the police. And she's looking in the car and she seems like she's interested. And she said, uh, didn't you used to do the weather? Well, it's only been 28 years, so I said there's a compliment in there someplace. She still could recognize them, you know. Now I thought when you told when you told me yesterday, you said that she said in the present tense, right? That she said, uh, "Aren't you the guy who does the weather?" And he oh, said, "Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah." And she, that's it. You know, aren't you the guy that does the weather? And yeah, and he's. I didn't even think of what you said afterwards. Yeah. That he said, "Well, I used to be." Um, yeah. You know, and because uh, he hasn't done the weather since 1985. Um. Yeah, well, 20, 28 years this no. year. No, more than that. No, 20, 29 it's been 30. this year. It's, yeah, I think it's been 30, right, this year, 2016, because he stopped in 85, right? Um, yeah. I'm trying to think Brianne Brian's I think the last, the last show time, the last show time was in, the last, uh, the yeah, kid show yes, was, was August 85. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is. It is 30 years nearly, yeah. Um, but, which, uh, which I pointed out, uh, her saying, aren't you the guy who does the weather? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, I used to be, I used to be is a, is a direct lift from Star Wars episode seven, the force awakens, uh, when she asks, aren't you, aren't you Han Solo? And he says, I used to be. So the parallel there. Well, you know, dad had forgotten years ago when we were in Dublin and mm-hmm. we, we were getting the bus back at the hotel and a guy on the bus said to Bill, um, I won't tell anybody. Do you remember that? Yeah, right. Yes, that and, when and Harrison Ford was filming somewhere. Was it the Devil's Zone? The Devil's Zone, maybe the one with Brad Pitt. There, there you go. Yeah. And he was filming, and people used to say that Bill looked a little like Harrison Ford. Right. Yeah. And this guy obviously, because there was no other reason for this total stranger to lean across and say, "Yeah, um, I won't tell anyone." It's sort of like your secret safe with me. Yeah. You know, and Bill just nodded at him like. Can you can you remember any of the other things that were in in the yelling? Any of the things that were yelled out either by dad or by this guy or by the one? Do you remember any things that were said? Dad, dad was just basically saying um, mostly about trying to get the girl out. You want yeah. to, you don't want to be in the car. Get out! Come out! Get out of the car and sort of brought her over to him. Yeah, and uh, sort of back off to him to mm-hmm. the guy. Yeah, and and the, the conversation then was he was yelling at her, and I think he was calling her Robbie and saying, "Robbie, this is all your fault. Robbie, this is you caused this. You caused this." Said to Bill, "That's typical abuser language." Right. Typical. 
difficult. They always say you it's your fault. If you had brought me the beer, I wouldn't have tried to kill you, you know? Yeah. So they, they it's, uh, it was very, very typical of what you hear. It's your yeah. fault and you caused this. You started this. This is all your fault. Yeah. And so I hope she really, I'd like to call the police station today, Bill, to not really tell you what's happening, but I'd yeah. like to know, did she have somewhere to go? Did she, right. would rape and abuse crisis center would take her in probably, you know? Right. And even, you know, if she needed some, um, some help with, I don't know, rent or whatever, keep her, yeah. keep her safe for a month or till she gets on her feet, you know, I, I just hate the idea of her, Where's her mom? <laughs> you yeah. know, letting her be with that guy. He's just was a horrible looking guy. You know? Yeah. And couldn't believe see somebody. So you just saw this. You 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 were driving like thirty mile uh, thirty mile an hour zone, right? So you're probably driving. So you're probably driving forty. I no no. I probably was driving close to thirty. Close to thirty, because you had to see it pretty pretty. Like when you're driving by something, you had to see it. It had to be pretty evident to catch your attention like that. Yeah, yeah. No, it was definitely like at the point where she was backing away from him was when I saw them. Yeah. And she was kind of bent over, yelling at him like, "No, no," that kind of thing. Yeah. And then when he grabbed her and he was dragging dragging her backwards toward the car, I didn't know. Was it just a random girl out with her dog? I didn't yeah. even know she had the dog at that point because it was up in her arms, this little tiny thing. I, I rem- well, I'm very proud of you guys for this. It's a very terrifying story <laughs> because it could have easily gone so badly. I remember, yeah. I remember uh, years ago, uh, Jeff Falzone and I were watching Tom Snyder, and he was interviewing. There was a woman who was like a shopkeeper who had like used a baseball bat or something to to fight yeah. off a couple of like people, young guys who were trying to rob her store or something. And at the end of it, I remember Tom Snyder saying, like, well, you see, now the lesson here is, uh, you, 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 no, no, his thing was, like, you don't have to be afraid, you know, everybody out there, you can, and I remember Jeff and I watching and thinking, like, oh, my God, that's so irresponsible to say that because uh, this woman's on national television because what happened to her was, like, remarkable, but I was like, that advice could could get people really hurt if everybody suddenly says that yeah. don't be afraid you when can dad got back in the car I, I said to him I he had handled it very well I said you handled that very well I said but my part of it was totally irresponsible because we had no business jumping out of the car right going right over there because I should have just called the police but he would have had her in the car and, and been gone you yeah know? Yeah, I mean, like that's the thing. I mean, the uh, I was talking, I was talking to Will Hines. Uh, saw that I had tweeted about this, and he called to try to get the. He wanted to know more details of what had happened, and I said, "Well, I think what happened." I, I said, aside from the details of it, I said, "My takeaway from this is that uh, I think I always knew this, but I, I think I have." Uh, a concrete moment where I can say, well, there's a moment where you realize that both of your parents are better people than you are. Uh, that uh, I think I would, I don't know if I would be, I think I would maybe be too cowardly in a situation like that, you know? Well, but you know, I wouldn't have thought that dad would have gone charging across there either. Yeah, I mean. You know, because he is very, he's he's very careful about well, any. He it, thinks, you know, before he, he before he jumps. There's two things. I think one thing is the fact that the fact that you um, are the driver and you made the call <laughs> to pull over, 
I think something clicked in that was a little bit sort of chain in command. You outrank him at the moment, so he kind of had to, had to do it. If he'd outranked you, if he'd been driving, then there would have been a different operation. He would have said no. Some, yeah. But I also, but I also, it didn't look serious. Yeah, but I also kind of wonder whether or not you know he's the last couple of years for him have been sort of a brush with mortality. Part of me does yes. think without the cancer. I wonder whether he would have been like, I think there's a part of him that, that probably kicked in. You know how he can be a little bit more demanding now? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think there's a little yeah. bit, a part of him that's like, uh, if not now, when, you know, for things like oh, that. Absolutely. Because it's even, it, it, it even comes down to when we're deciding where to go for lunch. Yeah. He, he never was somebody who, who would insist uh, want to get want to get his own way? He would do what I want. He would go wherever yeah. you wanted. Yeah, and I now and now if he he would, he would come with me on paper. Yeah, and now if he <laughs> if he if he doesn't want to do something, he's a little bit more upfront about no, no, I don't want to do that. Oh no, he, he, there's there's no discussion. We're not going where I want to. He wants to go someplace else. And so I have a new trick. Yesterday he wanted to go to Oscars. Yeah. And. Um, I was, I'm, you know, Oscars is fine, but I'm tired of Oscars. And so we... Oscars is a diner. Yeah, Oscars is a diner. And so we went, um, I said fine, and we went to Oscars, but I already knew I wasn't going to eat. And so when we got there, he was ordered. He said he wanted to get roast beef. <laughs> so the, the dinner, you know. Yeah. And I said, I just have coffee, please, to the waitress. He said, what? Oh, you're not eating? And I said, I'll eat later. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. You go ahead and get it. Oh, I think you felt bad. I said, it's not a big deal. I could miss a meal. It wouldn't kill me right now. Right. And, uh, you know, I was taking him to work then after that. Right. And before that was before this thing happened. Yeah. And then I went to Panera's where I wanted to go, you know. Right. And so, yeah, he he is, he wants to do it now. You know, right. Everything, everything, he wants it now. And he, and he wants it. Yeah. And that's a new, that's kind of a new him. Yeah. He always said, oh, whatever you all want, I'll do whatever you all want, you know. Yeah. Now, and I get that. I mean, I, 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 I know why. Yeah. You know, but his, his number, he had a good, he had a good um, infusion today and his numbers were good. And I, oh, that's great. I like when I, when they say that the doctor came by and he, we don't normally see him on this particular visit. Yeah. And said, oh, hi, how are you? Any trips lately? He always wants to know what we're doing, yeah. you know. And he said, well, I just saw your numbers. Your numbers are good. Oh, that's good news. And even, even you know, it's just good to hear him say that because it's it's one less thing to worry about for the Yeah. Month. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for telling that story. As Do per- I get money for this? No, no money. I mean, maybe. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? Who knows? Story of my life. All right. All right. I'll talk to you soon, Mom. Okay? Okay. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello? Hey, Mom. It's JD. Hey. I'm recording you right now. Oh. Uh, We we had an audio problem during 12-hour day. Yes. And so we had to record extra content. And so... Connor just sent me audio of him calling his mom. Uh oh. And his mom told a story about how Connor's dad just the other day like fought some guy who was beating up some woman. Like she was driving and she stopped the car and Connor's dad got out and stopped a, a situation very bravely. 
Uh oh, we're in trouble. I know what. When's the last time Dad fought somebody? I don't remember Dad ever fighting anybody. In fact, kids used to uh, try to beat him up in the seventh and eighth grade, so he'd hide behind the trees at Thornwood Park till his mom or dad came and picked him up. Well, now, see, now we're now we're making Dad look like he's some sort of weakling. No, it was because he was a very good athlete. He was a football player, so he was playing up. He was in the 6th or 7th grade, and he was playing up on the 8th grade team, and the 8th graders didn't like that, so they'd chase him around after practice, <laughs> and he died until one of his parents came and picked him up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably how he got so fast, too, <laughs> in order to be a hurdler. Right. <laughs> Running through the grass, turtling bushes, till he found a safe spot. But I can't remember your dad ever being in a fight, honestly, well, that came to fisticuffs, you know? When's the last time he did, when's the last courageous, brave act you can remember that dad's done? Oh, my God. Hmm. I can't, I don't. This is hard because I don't think your dad's not brave. I just can't remember a situation where he had to actually put him forth, himself forward and stop something, especially nothing physical, you know? Right. Uh, you know, he's not afraid to say something to someone when something's going wrong, like he feels like somebody's being mistreated, you know. I can remember him at airports, you know, when people are, he feels are being mistreated, he'll he'll say, you know, don't do that, that's not right, you don't do that, you know. But he's, ne he's never gotten into a fight that I can remember, at least that he's told me. Right. So, um, you know, we settle a lot of arguments with words. <laughs> well, the Ratliff story was, there wasn't actually fighting that took place, he settled it with words also, but... It was... Oh, it was the, the imminent threat? Yeah, exactly. Harm? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Have you yeah. Ever, have you ever been in a fight, Mom? Have I ever been in a fight? Yeah. No. I mean, not with no, no. You know, I will exchange words with people, as you know. Yes, I know I, that. <laughs> in particular, you. But uh, not in particular, you. You were the one person that could actually calm me down. But I was never. I was. I think I had the sort of the idea that I I could go to war on stuff, but. You know, you get older and wiser, and you have wiser kids who basically tell you you don't have to go to war on everything. You you, you definitely used to have more of a, a war path. Yeah, I definitely had a temper, you know, and I definitely felt like I could be right on a lot of things. And what you learn over time is that not that you're not right, that you, you can be wrong, obviously, but that there may be more than one right perspective. Yeah. So I think that's particularly true in parenting where you feel your responsibility is to your child and to make sure that they're raised in the right way and that they are responsible and that they're doing things in a way that you deem responsible. But, of course, the failure there is you don't always know the whole story. Right. And um, I think that that definitely came into play a lot of times. Um with you and I, in those times that we had conflicts, I don't think we had a lot of conflicts, actually. But there were times when I would be, you know, telling you what you should be doing, saying, thinking, or 
the way you should be behaving. And I clearly didn't have the whole story or I just didn't have the perspective, you know. But I came on very strong and I can still do that. I can still come on very strong. But, um, you know, you pick you pick your moments. I don't think that is true. I don't think that's been true for a long time, though. That I come on strong? No, I think you're pretty. I think I, I mean, I can't remember the last time. I feel like you're pretty uh, uh, conscious of what you what you engage in. Yeah, in some ways, I think it's because um, I think parenting requires that sometimes you become a person uh, that you may not be naturally, and um, you know that just happens over time, though with life experiences, but I, I think I was always a more mellow person, and then, of course, you have kids, and you have responsibility, and... and they, um, have, they have basketball games, and those games have referees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your mom may or may not be told to, to, to be quiet, and then you realize you've made a gigantic error in judgment. <laughs> Yes, that did happen, actually. <laughs> I always said those Catholic school kids cheated. I still hold with that, but I guess I don't have to be screaming it in the middle of this great girls game. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that may be true. <laughs> yeah, so the bad part about that is my dad was with us, and he was taking my side, and then when the ref stopped the game and said, excuse me, have you ever been refed a basketball game before? And I said, well, yes, I have, um, because I had. And then I realized I was wrong. Right. And so I was just like, you're right. I'm, I'm really sorry. But my dad was, like, ready to, you know, go to war on my behalf. And I was like, no, 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 you know, we're done here. You know, and I told him stuff. So then dad got mad at me because, you know, he was ready to stand up for my honor, but I was in the wrong, I was completely in the wrong, you know? That's so funny, I didn't know, I didn't know that part of that. Yeah, no, Dad was sitting there with me. This is your but, dad, uh, not my they dad. They were holding off, J.D., they would dribble down the court, and the girl would put her arm out, and like basically create like a moving screen with her arm, so that no one could get near her. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, but yeah, yeah, I was called on that. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> You're, you, I'm not going to lie. For as much as you, you talk about how you've calmed down, you still seem angry about the, the, the way that these Catholic girls were playing, playing basketball. Well, come on. It's against all that, you know, hey, I came up through the Catholic school system, and you're supposed to be like a good person and everything, but then you cheat? You cheat at girls' basketball? Come on. Bunch of cheaters. No, I actually think it's sort of funny. Yeah. And it's funny to call them cheaters, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they're not actually conscientiously cheating, but, um, you know, in that particular game, they were. Okay. Noted. Noted. Yeah, and it wasn't because of any bias I had because my own child was playing in it. No. You know, no. That, I, that never affected me in any way, yeah, shape, or form. Exactly. You were, you were looking at it completely objectively from a basketball completely. perspective. Completely. And not, I had, not at all because your daughter was on the receiving end of some of the stiff arms. Right, exactly. And, you know, in sixth grade, you're at your, you're at your peak of athletic um, ability. 
And so those games really make a difference in the long run. Right, because every... So, so that, is the, that is the moment. That is the time when if you have a problem with cheating Catholic people, that is when you should get involved right. in the, you know, publicly. Exactly. You, you should make the, like, 20-year-old ref have to stop the game in order to get you to stop yelling that they're cheating. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the time to take a stand on the Catholic Church. Right. That's that's a time for some righteous indignation right there. Exactly. Yeah. No. I learned that, you know, it was better to disengage. Right. But I learned the hard way. That's I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that's just that's just learning. Learning is the hard way. Yeah. Except for me, like, public humiliation is probably the worst way to learn anything. Yes, I think that's undoubtedly true. It's better to observe other people's public humiliation and learn from that. Exactly. Than... So, you, in a way, <laughs> that day, you were a teacher. Oh, oh, now I like this. I like the direction that this is going in. Exactly. Yes. That day, I was, I was teaching my people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How not to behave. Exactly. Now, do you think if you're driving down the road and you saw a domestic dispute, you would stop the car to help out or make Dad make Dad uh, resolve the situation? I think it would actually, you know, it's. It, I think in this day and age, first of all, it's a lot more fraught than it used to be. But I think it would depend in some ways on what was, you know, you say domestic dispute, but, right. like, are you talking about physical domestic dispute? Yeah, I mean, from what from what Mrs. Rattle was describing, it sounded like it was verging on that. But she actually, it felt like, seemed like she didn't even, it was just like an instinct of, like, I don't know what to do, but this I need to fix this. And then she was even saying that, uh, Mr. Ratliff, his natural inclination is not to step in, but because she stopped, she was driving. He had no choice because she stopped the car and made him. <laughs> he was forced into the Good Samaritan role. Um, yeah, I think if I felt like uh, someone was in, in imminent danger, you know, uh, I would probably stop and say something. I don't know if I would intervene, I don't know to what extent I would intervene. It would kind of just depend on how things unravel, you right. know? It would just have to be that feeling. Yeah, I think so, because I don't think I would be, I don't think I could say no, I wouldn't intervene, but I, I don't say, think I would say I would absolutely intervene. I think I would be much more inclined to intervene if it was like an adult and a child. Right. Um, and then I would, that just would make me crazy. Um, but, you know, too, it would depend on the situation because if you felt like there wasn't an opportunity to, like, call the police or something before something bad would happen, I, I think I probably would feel inclined to intervene, but probably just more with my, you know, by talking. Right. You know, using it, what I used to call my dog voice. Yes, exactly. So, um, you know... That's my superpower, actually. Yeah, you're, um, you're, pardon me. You have a very you 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 have a tone of voice that can 
pierce through all emotions and freeze any human. Right, exactly. I was thinking I'm going to have to call back on that now that um, I have a grandson, that you know, if he were ever rushing to the street, I'm going to have to be able to call upon that voice again. Yeah, it's probably been a long time. Yeah, no, so, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, would, I definitely think I would intervene. I just haven't had that situation, you know? Yeah. I'm up. Yeah, no, that makes sense also. That I can remember. I mean, has that happened to you? Um, I mean, you have more chance of it from where you live than where I live. Yeah, you know, I tend to, I tend to make my presence known, and then mm-hmm. I I set a boundary in my head where if X happens, I will do X. Um, I mean, you actually have that conscientious thought, or you just sort of it's an instinctual thing. No, my instinct is I should do something, and then my body goes, no, you shouldn't, and then I can logic and go, okay, if this happens, I'm going to do this, and then I, if that happens, I do the thing, and if it doesn't, I'll try to make it, like the other night, I feel like I told you about this, I had that awful night, or maybe I didn't tell you about this, I was sick, and then a woman jumped into, in front of a train. What? Yeah, oh, I had the worst night the other night. I, no, what are you talking about? A woman jumped in front of a train. I was, I was. This was right when I was really sick, and I right. was coming back from something, and I was not feeling well. Maybe the doctor, and the trains were slow, and I ended up walking up to this one train station. It was like the evening, and suddenly I saw this woman not on my side of the, but on the other side. They have to go like all the way up and around. I yeah. see her sitting on the edge of the train station. I'm like the only one there. She's and, sitting on the edge of the like the platform. Yeah, of the platform, and then the with tra- her feet hanging over. Yeah, and then the train Ugh. starts coming, and then she jumps down. But she jumped very early, so that the train had time to stop. But clearly, she had some you know psychological issues. Um, you know, she was uh, you know had tons of bags and had what looked like. Um, uh, hospital glasses, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I think she had just come from, she either was recently in the hospital or not. And so then I saw that and I ran up around. I don't know what I was going to do, but I was like, she's small enough that I can at least grab her. She doesn't go near the fourth, you know, third rail or whatever, or just right. like hoist her up. Um, but then by the time I got there, the conductor had gotten the guy driving the train, stopped the train, and then got out, and then he had a whole protocol and got her up, and the police came and whatnot. But then that meant that the train stopped for like 15 minutes, and there was a train on my side that was like waiting there for 15 minutes, half in. So when I got inside the train, everyone was really unhappy. And then there's this woman that had this cart. She was like with her husband, and then there's this like tall maybe like 34 year old guy um and she like he wouldn't move for the door so she like rammed her cart by him and hit him and he was really pissed about it and so he like said some angry stuff to her and then she hit him with the cart and then he got in her face and then she wouldn't move her cart so her and her husband like blocking this guy in the corner but not doing anything but like 
you know, that kind of thing where it's like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything, but like trying to encroach on their space as much as possible to instigate them. Yeah. And then he was really mad and he was like saying awful stuff and getting really close to her and was like really close to, uh, you know, doing something dumb. Cause he's like, you know, it's like this woman's probably in her sixties. Um, and then the woman realized how dumb it was of her to be instigating this. So she sort of like stepped back, but didn't tot didn't, she didn't submit, but she like took a step back and she had sunglasses on and he kept staring at her since she was looking at him. And then anytime it felt like it would calm down, he would start screaming at her. And clearly he had had just like a bad day and was like, this was the thing that he was getting. Yeah, at she had, she had presented the opportunity to be the object of his wrath or whatever. Exactly. But it felt like he was trying to get riled up so that he could like push her or hit her or something. It was really weird. Um, yeah. So then I went and stood right there and I was just staring at him and he wouldn't look at me because I think he knew that I was like, what are you doing? And then, um, so you had to basically make a decision or, you know, whatever. I don't know if decision, make a decision is the right word because it's like, it's not even, a, you know, decision seems like it takes too much time, but this happened one right after the other. Yeah, it was, it was Jeez. weird. Yeah. And then he kept... And the, one, the second thing must have seemed so petty to you compared to the first. Yeah, but it was like he was... He wanted to be violent, you could tell. And he wasn't... He didn't seem like an unhinged dude. He just seemed like an angry guy. Yeah. Um, so then he kept doing it again. And then at one point, he glanced at me and I just said, Hey, drop it, man. It's not worth it. Like, why don't you go over there? And I like not that way and then he like made some big huff didn't move but then like calmed down and then i got up to the next stop and so did that woman but it was like my line was like my my line was that if he touched her i was gonna f physically <laughs> stop what that. Use, you, use your extensive knowledge of ninja moves well no because it's not it's not like you know this no i know what like, you mean he was like a normal guy that was just angry so like i think if right. anyone got between him he would have gotten what he wanted which was this moment of aggression that didn't turn into anything and right. then at a certain point he kept instigating it to the point where i was like if if he if he does this one more time and makes eye contact with me i'm going to say something and then he did yeah. and so i did but it's a very, that's like a normal New York thing is when people are being jerks on the train. Everyone sort of ignores it until it reaches a point and then one person breaks the whatever. Yeah, the, the kind of back and forth. And then everyone on the train is like... Like the circuit is broken. Yeah, and then everyone on the train is like, all right, buddy, you're done. Like, And then everyone takes over the responsibility. It's the, you know, it's the, what are they, um, bystander effect where it's like everyone remains out of it until... Well, until it reaches some critical emotional level, and then everybody... Well, once, I don't know if everybody gets there at the same point, but there's some kind of well, it's point. Once, once it's breached that we should be doing something, that's right. when everyone's like, yeah, we should. But that's it. I typically... But do you, think, do you think it takes one person to recognize they need to take action, or do you think that everybody... Like, if you hadn't done something, would somebody else have, on the train come to that point? They might have, but everyone will come to that point if someone does something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where, like, in New York, if there's, like, someone laying down on the street in pain, 
everyone will ignore them. But the moment one person gets down on one knee and goes, hey, are you okay? Suddenly there'll be a crowd of 10 people all calling 911 and trying to figure out the solution because it's like everyone's like, well, because everyone else is ignoring this, maybe there's something I don't know. And then the moment one person's like, no, this is wrong, then everyone right. goes, oh, this is wrong. Oh, okay, let's fix this. Right. And I think just like even going back to the beginning of our conversation is that I think you have that ability to get, I remember once I was having a, it was an argument, but it wasn't like an, like an emotional argument. It was like an intellectual argument with someone who was disagreeing, someone in my family who was disagreeing with a decision I had made in which I was the person who had to make the decision. And dad was in the other room and when he got up, I got the phone, he was saying, who was that? And I said, you know, who it was. And, and I said, um, he said, what was going on? And I said, well, I was just explaining the decision. And I said, why did it, it sound angry? And he goes, no, you didn't sound angry. He goes, you just got, and then he hesitated for a second. He goes, you just kept getting bigger. And I think you have that quality too, where you kind of know where that, that, moment is or where that where you can sort of call on something that that makes you bigger you know sure because neither you or i could be like okay well we're gonna right this wrong with physical action or whatever but there's something persuasive sometimes that you can call on yeah fighting is not our, our genetics didn't get passed down through fighting <laughs> yeah <laughs> so but it is interesting it's interesting and all that's and all that's interesting. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if people, I mean, people in New York always have the reputation of being angry, whether that's true or not. It just seems like there's so many people walking around today that are angry that you just sometimes don't know what you're going to get into. No, that's true. And that's, you know, anyways. Right. Well, thank you for talking on the phone. Yeah. Now, I didn't listen to the first podcast where I was talking because I hate listening to myself. So this pretty much means that I won't be listening to this one either. That's okay. It'll be hidden deep in uh, the latest episode. Okay. And if I sound like a jerk, it's pretty much all your fault. I don't think you sound like a jerk at all. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> good. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. I'll talk to you later, Mom. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was me and my mom. And now we're going to jump back into the podcast. And you'll see that um, both... Does my... Does this... Test, 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 test. Oh, yeah, this works. Um, just a reminder that uh, my arm is currently uh, in major pain. And I don't realize it, that I need to go to the hospital. So just remember that subtext, and uh, we'll get back right back into the podcast. All right, guys. Yeah. All right, well, that's my bad. That might be some dead time that we'll have to cover up with a minute of private time. Ow, fucking crap. That's a deep wound in there. Is it? Yeah. Is no. It'll be fine. It's small, but it's like a chunk of body. Um, I'm going to change your batteries. There is something I sort of make fun of myself for that I wonder if you've ever had this <laughs> feeling is I make fun of my, myself for the fact that like, you know, I do my mime bit that requires me before I perform to like paint full makeup on and wear this full costume and all this stuff. 
And I always wonder, you know, it's a... Uh, I always joke that I wish I were just funnier. Did I not bring the batteries? Well, sorry, I'm looking for batteries. Connor is currently spray painting her uh, hairspray. What do you call it? Hair dye? Spray on hair dye? To get into his George Lucas character. So what I was saying is that I do these elaborate bits sometimes, and everything I do requires some sort of setup or prep. And it's always like, I wish I were just funnier, period, so that I could just do stand-up and show up and play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's a self-deprecating joke that I don't really believe, but I just always, I'm always like, how come I have to be the guy that puts on full mime face paint? Or, like, yeah, does some bit with stilts as opposed to just, like, roll up how I'm dressed and walk in, walk out. But I guess I... We get... We also get the luxury of doing improv where that's exactly what we get to do. Okay. So Connor's back in action here. Okay, Connor is currently in full Lucas regalia. I'm zipping up Connor's. Boba Fett costume. Wait, is there a zipper? Oh, just on the Velcro. There's one in the middle here somewhere? I don't think so. Yeah. So Connor's getting, he's got a Boba Fett costume on. Uh, Mandalorian body armor. Um, I don't see any Wookiee pelts, which is a problem continuity wise, but that's okay. I don't know when this takes place here. You're right. Can I ask you to guard this bag? Yeah. I mean, I can just carry it with me. I'll probably go outside. Um, so I need some help probably with this. Okay. What time is it right now? 6.46. got his full Boba Fett. Is that on? I don't think it's full. What do I need to do? Does that look convincing? Uh, yeah, pretty much so. Here, I'm going to adjust it a little bit. What holds it together? I think a little, couple little pieces of velcro. Uh, what if I do that? No, as long as it... There, that, that, that's better. 
now you're good. It might come apart a little bit. In which case, I can do this. Are you worried about it coming apart? Yeah, I can feel it coming apart a little bit. Well, here's what I'm going to do. A gift from you to you. It's 6.45. So how, how long is the show? I don't know. You may need to find someone more interesting to talk to. So I probably have an hour. Um, I'm going to take your stuff, though. Okay. If I do this... It's not so bad. Okay. Well... I'll just do this then. All right, and then I'll go find someone to talk to. Then I'll take your stuff. And I'll come back here, I guess it's... What, the show's at 7 or 7.30? 7. Okay. Do you know if you guys are first or second, Alan? I think we're, I'm just going to have us all doing it. All doing it? Great. Time. And how long is the show? Uh, an hour. Okay. This is full hour? Yeah. Oh, my God. Connor, do you need this, whatever this is? A bag? Of course. All right, I'll be back later. Yeah. What's that? No, I gave up Hearthstone. There's Alan Starzinski. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Yeah, stop playing Hearthstone. Okay. I just couldn't keep up, and I found I was getting more frustrated than I was having fun. I see that. And I, I heard that the newest meta has a lot of, like, RNG stuff, too. So RNG? Just, like, random number generation stuff where it's, like, yeah. you don't have as much control over what happens. So it's not as, as up to you whether you win or not. Yeah. And so I think that would frustrate me. I started playing Heroes of the Storm instead. I hear many good things about it. I don't want to get involved. It's too much. Yeah, that's why I had to give up Hearthstone, and then I took up this instead. But it's been fun. But I don't play, you know. Yeah, I try not to play too much. All right. Connor's very confident, you know. He's confident about this bit, even though his nose is smashed against 
Yeah, well, you're going to be in it for the next hour. So enjoy that. Um, all right. I'm going to go find someone then. I just feel like it'll, it'll be harder for you to think about talking into a mic right now, right? You'd rather just get into character. All right, I'll go find someone to talk to. All right. Walking along. Going up the back stairs here. Street here in Manhattan. Who do I know that lives around here? Who could I go find and talk to? Hmm. Or I could call someone. That's an option, too. Or I could just walk and talk. That's an option, too. Let's see. Oh. Ouch. Everything hurts here. Oh, I could go over... Uh, no. see who might be around. somewhere to sit down. Where can I where can I do that even? Um I don't know. I just passed a couple that looks exactly like each other. They've had the exact same length of blonde hair. Oh, boy. Let's see who's around. (laughs) 
I'm gonna text someone real quick. Sorry, I'm not talking. I'm really bad at doing private time, huh? I'll try to talk and text at the same time. Actually, wait, I'm gonna try to text and then I'll talk. Here we go. All right, so I just texted a couple of folks to see if they could come do the uh, podcast here. So walking around Manhattan, I think I'm on 4th Street right now. Um, it is currently SantaCon. Wait, where did I put Oh, yeah, put that right there. So as I walk, there are all sorts of inebriated folks in Santa costumes wandering around nearby. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of people in New York don't like that, like Connor was saying, SantaCon, because it's, uh, it's usually just pretty disruptive, and there's no, I don't think there's an element of, uh, it's an, there's an element of, like, indulgence and gluttony that is associated with the whole thing that I think is a little uh, counter to the imagery, so it's sort of taking imagery that people appreciate and adding different connotations to it. So, you know, whatever that means to you. Mostly just annoys me because it's mostly drunk jerks thinking that they're somehow being funny by just being that. Oh man, it is a mess. There's people falling out of cars. Are you recording me? Nope. And I was just, uh, as you probably heard, uh, there's a. Uh, bunch of super drunk girls falling out of a, you know, a luxury limo SUV, and one of them asked if I was recording her. And I think if you've ever recorded anything in New York City, the most frequent question you get is, am I on camera? Are you recording me? Or are you, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm not tickled by it, especially when it's the image of like a super drunk girl in a Santa costume falling out of a you know an SUV or whatever it is anyways I'm now getting towards Bowery I just passed the Bowery residence community a famous homeless shelter No. And I just had another person ask if I was recording Santa Claus people, which I am not. So, who knows? Um, other things. Other things right now. 
I should find somewhere to plug in. That should be my next course of action. Um, right now I'm outside the Bowery Hotel. I might kick back towards the East Village. It'll just be quieter. Um... Oh, it's weird because it is like mid 60s temperature wise right now also which is normally it should be freezing cold at this point in New York so there's something sort of unsettling about it um, it definitely feels definitely feels like something's changed Like, it feels like when they do uh, movies in Los Angeles about Christmas, and everything's Christmassy, but people are wearing T-shirts, and clearly no one's, like, the physicality of being cold no one is embracing, which is the, like, holding your arms together, walking very stiffly. Everyone's, like, very relaxed and loose, and even if someone is in a coat, they're, like, have it unzipped and stuff like that. So, you know. It feels it feels like fake winter, fake Christmas. And here's some more SantaCon people walking around. There's a woman getting cans out of a garbage can. Hmm. Oh, it's interesting. I was listening to when we were. You know, as we're talking, I feel like we tread over a lot of the same territory over and over again, where we're basically talking about the same things that we've talked about on previous episodes. And a part of me is sort of bummed because I want things to have changed or to, like, each each month have some dramatic update of what's been going on and what's new and exciting about the world and whatnot. But it feels like it all happens slowly, or you can't really talk about it because it's all in the process of happening. So I wonder if there's an element of listening to this where it feels like things have stalled out, or we're just circling back around. And I wonder if there are changes in what we're doing or saying to each other, or if you guys can feel things changing, if we our perspectives are different. Even today, it was interesting, today that conversation with Connor about therapy and the doctor stuff you know like i think we had pretty much the exact same conversation in episode two except this time he seemed a lot more receptive not receptive but he seemed more self-aware whereas i think the first time we had that conversation he was not and not self-aware as in like he was ignorant before but like before he had that the same argument he had but he he was not as uh, forthcoming about how sort of ridiculous it was. So that's a change that I perceive a little bit, even though it's still the same person, the same mentality. And these cars trying to make it across a red light. Good luck to you. Um, so, yeah, that was an interesting thing. I wonder if you guys notice other small things, too. 
We recently asked a bunch of people to help us out on a project to uh, compile moments, as you saw, Connor, that reflected the change in Connor and I's friendship. And it was interesting to see what some of you guys came up with. Because, um, like, to us, it's all the same thing. Let me basically keep... We basically... It feels to me like everything's the same. And I think that's why every episode I question whether this is something that you would really enjoy or not to listen to. And those changes that we don't notice, I think, are the things that make it interesting, perhaps. But to us, it definitely feels like we are doing the same thing we did episode one, even though it was, you know, now like two years ago or whatever it was. Um, I don't know. So... I don't know what that's worth. I also notice now as I'm talking that I'm almost just like trying to trying to talk for the sake of talking. And then I get nervous because I feel like maybe I'm not filtering myself enough. And I don't think I've said anything that actually is bothersome. But I'm very aware of the fact that I'm not giving myself enough time to think about what I'm going to say before I say it. I just sort of start saying it. So I'm hoping I don't get caught in that um, huh I think that I will listen back to this someday and find it interesting to hear what it's like as 27 year old JD walking down the streets of 2015 Manhattan and things that I take for granted now will probably be noteworthy whenever it is in the future that I listen to it, even if it's stuff about the city. Maybe there's some, right now there's some noise that I don't hear that is, you know, the city is quiet right now compared to in 20 years from now. Maybe there's some emergency system that beeps every to let you know you're safe, you know, some... Maybe it's sort of like if you listen to recordings of certain cities back a long time ago, you realize how quiet they were because there weren't as many cars or things like that. So I wonder if there'll be some analog to that where it'll be interesting to realize how quiet or how different things are. And I probably won't even know what those things are. Um, I... If I had to make predictions about the future, what things will happen. Um, oh, so here's a, here's a thought that I actually had recently. My prediction is that in the future, most of our purchases will happen almost like a mini bar where companies will stock your house with things that when you use them, you pay for them. So basically, like, stuff that you wouldn't buy, companies will put into your house in the hopes that the convenience of it being in your house will lure you to, it to, to to try it. And then when you do try it, then you'll pay for it. So, like, you'd open a refrigerator and there'd be, like, you know, 7-Up that you normally don't drink or whatever waiting for you. And it's just like, hey, we brought it to your house for you. If you don't want to drink it, don't worry about it. But if you do, then we'll charge you just a small fee for it. Sort of like... I feel like the point of uh, 
purchase and the point of entry will get closer and closer to backwards or forwards, wherever you want to say it. So, like, you would walk into your bathroom and there'd be several t- kinds of toilet paper. Whichever you choose, I'm sorry, whichever you choose would end up would end up being what uh, you pay for. Um, and they would just keep delivering stuff to you and then someone would come and pick up the stuff you don't use. Or maybe it'll be sort of like how those like subscription snack services are, but for everything, where they just send you a box each week, each, each month, with the stuff that you need or that they predict you need, plus a few new items they think you might like. And if you like them, you pay for them. And if not, you send them back, or maybe you just keep them and you say you don't want those the next time. That's my future prediction. Is that like your entire house will be like a mini bar? Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's a thing I think. So we'll see. Okay. I don't get people that just shout, sing out loud as they walk down the street. Um, So I've looped back around. I'm back over by UCB now. A lot more drunk SantaCon people, which is a true delight. Um, I'm going to sit down. I can pull the Connor move where I call people or I call someone. That's a long-standing Connor uh, method. Um, uh, one second, I gotta respond to a text message. this wall here and respond to this text message so just give me a moment and enjoy the sounds of New York
All right, sorry about that delay. I'm going to go inside UCB here and see what's kicking. Sorry for all the momentary pauses. People give me the side eye as if I'm the crazy one. I should just interview people, huh? future predictions that I have. Hmm. I predict that I should find an outlet, huh? That'd be smart. Apparently that girl that walked by us is being honest. All right, I'm going to go plug in downstairs at UCB. Well, I walked into UCB and didn't know anyone here. All right, back down to the basement. Plug in real quick. If I have, if I do have service, I might try to call someone. All right. Okay, sorry about this, guys. There we go. For hey, I do have service. Who should I call?
Hey, Matt. Good, how are you? Uh, you're on 12-hour day right now. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. performing at the uh, George Lucas Midnight Show. Or the George, not Midnight Show, the George Lucas Cage Match. So I'm alone right now. Uh, it's been going all right. Um, we we spent the day at Connor's apartment and then came here for this show. How are you doing? This is for everyone who doesn't know. This is Matt Cohen in L.A. In, uh, intern producer Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe this is my third or fourth appearance on the podcast. Yeah, I think I'm it's your. Track. I think it's your third appearance or four. No, I think you're right. It might be fourth. It might be fourth. How are things in Los Angeles right now? like you've taken to it very nicely and I feel like with the city came also a couple life changes because you moved into your girlfriend yeah. as we spoke about as well yes it was definitely a maturation uh, for me as a person I definitely grew uh, I think in a lot of ways I'm in a better place I think that's great that's, that's awesome now yeah. here's a question do you regret not driving across the country. No, I don't regret that for a second, honestly. Not even a small part of you. No. Okay. All right, then I guess I guess. I mean, it sounds fun. It doesn't sound unfun, but it just sounds like I feel like uh, uh, it's just too much. Like I would, I get it. Look, I get it. I'd like to do it, but I just I think uh, I was dealing with enough stuff. I didn't need it at that time. Okay, I just want to. I just want to see if you stood by that decision. Yeah, I, I think I definitely. Uh, I stand by it. Okay. Okay. Stand by it. That's good. Where are you right now? Paint. Paint us the word picture of where you are. Uh, I'm. I'm at home. I'm at home. Mary is uh, also at home. She's watching a North Carolina basketball game. Say hi to Mary. Uh, I will. Mary JD says hello. Uh, Connor is. Not with him. He's performing a show, but it's a twelve-hour day. Wait, put put Mary on the phone. She has to have her first podcast appearance. Sure, Mary, you want to come on the phone? This is Mary. Hey, JD. Hey, Mary. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. We're we're recording the podcast, and Connor's doing a show at UCB East right now. So I'm in the basement, and I decided to call you and Matt. The basement, like where there's those meat locker type areas. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm right outside the meat locker. <laughs> That's exciting. So, are you lonely in this part of the podcast, or no? You just were left alone for a few seconds. Uh, I was. I he's been doing this show, so I walked around for about like 15 minutes by myself, and then I am not good at talking aloud by myself, so I felt like I needed to mix it up and sometimes when I have to do shows and Connor records alone he'll call people so I figured I would do the same that's fun yeah um, what's interesting what's the weather like in New York oh I'm sorry the weather is insane it is currently like 65 degrees 
Oh, yeah, that's very weird. Yeah, so, like, I'm wearing... That's, like, what it is here. I'm wearing a hoodie, and I have a t-shirt underneath, and I'm, like, a little bit hot outside. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really strange. fun. Yeah, but it's also a sign of dark times to come, right? Yeah, we're all... We just destroyed the planet, and now we're just living in the aftermath. Yeah, exactly. Now, Mary, I will say this. Something that's interesting about you being on the podcast right now is that Connor and I realized that the first time that we recorded the podcast was in 2013, near the end of the year, and Matt was about to move to Los Angeles. Um, and you guys were going to move in together. And on the podcast, we discussed what a big life step that was. So the last that, I think the last our audience heard from Matt was him about to move across to Los Angeles. And we actually did an improv scene in that episode where we were I think Connor played you so this is now our audience's first time actually hearing your voice <laughs> well I think I've, I've had a cold forever a little bit more nasally I don't know how people have been imagining me but imagine this voice but a, a little bit less nasally okay okay I mean you sound I you sound fine to me right now Mary. It's all. it all seems fine oh gosh okay so maybe not so off then Okay, yeah, okay. I think I remember that episode. Um, and I think that Matt got uh, razzed a little bit for not driving across the country, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Connor and I both gave him a hard time because Matt shipped his car across the country. We were saying he should have taken a romantic uh, s- single man's journey. Or not single man, but his, la- his, yeah. his last bastion of his solitary New York self driving across the country to go move in with you and we're like that's that's the, that's the American journey and Matt was like no I got a good deal on the car so I just shifted and I'm flying yeah he really could have had like an end of goodwill hunting moment where he drives off into the sunset and that's the last New York season yeah exactly but instead he went on the, he went on a plane and he like a modern man he had his car shipped exactly and you know I, I was actually wondering now if you regrets it at all and he doesn't at all he's still he thinks it would have been fun, but he's he thinks he did it right. So, oh well. How he traveled? Yeah. I think he could either go one of two ways with Matt. Everything I know about him is that everything is either the best or the worst. <laughs> so, he either would have like be still talking about this beautiful trip he took, how great it was, and all the thoughts he had, and the things he saw, and the, how bright the stars were in the middle of the country. Or he would have come in for two weeks, and been like, it was so crummy. My back hurt all the time. And I just, you know, the gas is so expensive when you're just driving. And I was so bored, and these podcasts were so weird. And so it really is a 50 50 chance. Okay, that's amazing. And how have you been, Mary? How's, how is, how is life for you been? Pretty good. I'm excited for this is my favorite time of year. I love Christmas. Um, so I'm excited to go back and see my family, everybody. And you're from Pittsburgh, correct? I'm from Pittsburgh, um, and I have a, a big uh, immediate family, and we're all going to get together, and Matt will come with me for the first half of it, and then he'll leave right after Christmas to go to New Jersey. And that's fun, because I remember Matt being nervous the first year about meeting your family, because you have tons of brothers, but it feels like now he's a more ingrained part of, part of that whole experience. He is, and he even, there's all of the male members of the family that got introduced have animal nicknames and because I have a brother Matt Matt 
Cohen goes by Cougar in my family. Really? Yeah, so he goes by, I have to say, if I'll say like Matt said, my mom will be like, they think it's brother Matt. Because it got too confusing the first year. I had to say like boyfriend Matt, brother Matt, when I would address people. And then we just call Matt Cougar. So he just goes by Cougar? There's another, he goes by Cougar. Some people call him NBC, but some people will refer to him as Cougar. Interesting. Yeah. But I think that I tried to tell him that you kind of keep a bad impression in my family because, like, you can't, like, say something that's going to offend someone. Right. We're a very, like, a very wild family. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it would more be the only, the only wrong you could do is not being comfortable around a large Irish Catholic family as yourself. You said not being comfortable, you said, or what? Like, if you don't go in the situation and, like, find comfort... And like make yourself comfortable. Oh, yeah. That's the only thing that's alienating to a large Irish Catholic family is when it's like, well, this person doesn't want to be a part of things. Yeah, I think you could. I think you could be a downer. I think then we'd be like, what? Do, why is he complaining about this? What's this about? But otherwise, yeah, that's true. I think people want, want him to be to feel good about being there. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, we did. We talked about this podcast earlier. But if you want to hear more about Mary's opinions on Pittsburgh. You can listen to Will Hines and Anthony King's podcast, Don't Get Me Started, where, Mary, you do a whole episode about Pittsburgh, don't you? I do. What great class promotion. I know. Yeah, they said you could come on and talk about anything, and I said, I want to talk about Pittsburgh. That's great. That's. I think we all learned a lot. So, listeners, right now, you can pause our podcast and go listen to Mary's episode about Pittsburgh on Will's podcast, and you can learn. You can learn, you can learn a lot more about her. <laughs> just wonderful just promoting and podcasting and what show is by the way is Connor doing right now what's that what show is Connor doing uh, he's doing uh, Alan Starzynski I believe has organized a Star Wars themed like cage match improv show kind of thing oh, interesting so right now Connor has the George Lucas costume on and then over that <laughs> He has a Boba Fett costume, which is a character from Star Wars, so that during the show... Is Boba Fett the man with a white helmet but not a stormtrooper? Yes, yes. It, yeah, essentially. Um, I okay. Th- I think you think... He's got a green helmet, but I think it's who you think it is. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I kept asking... Matt and I... Matt sat me down and we watched, like, A New Hope through... I don't know, the last... Return of the I've Jedi. seen the prequels. Yeah, Matt gets mad because I like the prequels. Oh. Um, and so he made me watch the original ones. And I kept saying, when's Boba Fett? Is that Boba Fett? Is that person Boba Fett? And he was like, none of these people are Boba Fett. But <laughs> <laughs> so that was the name that I knew. And how, how did the prequels... How did, how did those match up against the originals? Or how did the originals match up to the prequels? For you? I think it's, it, it, it all comes down to what you want from a movie. And that makes fun of me that what I want, I love backstory. It's the whole movie could be backstory, that's all I want. But prequels give me a lot because I love knowing where a person came from. Like, I love seeing where that person, where they turned. And, like, looking back, I don't know if they did a great job with that, but I love prequels. I love the idea of where, like, stuff like, like when Hannibal Lecter, you see, like, where he came from, like, different things like that. Like, that's my favorite thing. So if there was a movie that was all exposition and all backstory, that's my movie. So you actually maybe prefer the prequels a little bit? 
God, to say that on record, I guess I don't, I don't care about any of it, so I... Right. Do you like Star Wars, JD? Yes, I do. I am a... I grew up watching the original films. I was a big diehard fan of them. And then when the prequels came out, it was the most exciting thing. And then they definitely let me down, and I ended up actually not watching. Yeah, broken. I didn't, I didn't watch the third prequel ever. Still haven't seen it. Yeah. Just because I wanted to. I guess. I, I want to imagine that it's good, and so I don't want to hurt myself by watching it and knowing if it's not. Yeah, I get that. I think it a lot depends on a lot of movies. And like, I saw Princess Bride when I was like seventeen, and I was like, I don't like this movie. Right. What's going on? And I think there's a lot of movies you have to see when you're young, so that like you watch it when you're young, and you, in some ways, like that's where I don't know, like I don't know if it's like your taste buds developed or whatever it is, but it's like then you have that nostalgia, and then you can watch it forever. But if you see it when you're older. Like, the Star Wars movies, like, to me, when I watched them recently, like, were cheesy and the effects were, like, I get that they're better than, like, CGI, people say, and, like, but it just felt like, oh, this could have been a B-movie we never talked about again until it became the biggest movie in the whole world. Right. Like, so much of A New Hope, to me, looked like Clash of the Titans. Right. I get that. I get that. That's understandable. Now, what's a movie that you watched as a kid that maybe other people don't appreciate that for you is, like on that same level that people love Star Wars and things like that? I guess, I don't know if it's like a, a fandomness, but I guess, and I don't know if people dislike these movies, but I watched Land Before Time the other day, and God, that movie still gets me. I was like watching with the kids and Nanny, and it was so hard not to cry at so many parts. We were just talking, we, wanted, we were just talking about Land Before Time, you know what, George Lucas helped... Because of Steven Spielberg, or via George Lucas, yeah, because yeah, he helped produce it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's an amazing movie. That score is so beautiful. Yeah, and then they... Now, it's funny that you say that because that's another oh, franchise they, series yeah. that is famous for having a good original movie Messing or two, up. and then they messed it up by making too many sequels and prequels. And I can... Now I can think about that. Like, because I remember when I was little, I used to play the game before time a lot, and I remember thinking, like, boy, I wish they would make more movies. Like... They killed it with that first one. They've got to make more movies. And that's so guilty as a child, being like, this was my fault. <laughs> right. With all these sequels, I did this. Right. Because they're bad. And now you understand why Star Wars, how they feel. And I bet there's someone out there that's like, you know what? The thing that I liked about The Land Before Time was all of the uh, the physical gags. And so I like it. I like the later <laughs> ones when there's a lot of more people getting bonked on the head and a lot more... Uh, Musical Weird numbers. songs the dinosaurs are singing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I bet there's a kid that, like, watched Land Before Time 3 because their mom just had it, and they're like, this movie's okay. Yeah, exactly. And maybe they watched the first one, and they were like, the tone of this is crazy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that's what, I'm sure, I'm sure that kid exists somewhere. Yeah, well, you know what, this has been a big moment for me, Matt, just understanding where you're coming from and all those Star Wars people. That's great. Uh, are you excited to see the, the newest one? Yeah, Connor and I are going to see them together, to see it together. It comes out on Thursday night, but we're going Friday morning at 11 a.m. So oh, interesting. So that we can avoid the 
shrieking, shouting, crazy everything crowd. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I inadvertently saw one of the what's it called, like Avenger movies on yeah. opening night, and I didn't realize I did. And I was so like turned off by like the geekdom of people. Like someone would come on stage and people would clap. Like it was like, oh, I guess this is a character that they had been referenced in the comic books that they were excited to see. And it was so, as someone who was just casually watching the movie, it was so distracting. Exactly, and that's why, that's why with Star Wars especially, you know it's going to be every two seconds, people shouting and cheering for something. So, Connor yeah. and I wanted to see it as fast as possible, but avoid that as much as possible as well. Are you worried that it's going to, if you see it at 11 a.m., like, take over your entire day? Especially you two really, you know, digest things. Um... It might, but, like, I think that's going to happen no matter what, and I think that's part of the fun of it. Yeah. Because um, I think the worst thing would be to see it at, like, 2 a.m. and then be, oh, yeah. and then be up all night. 5 a.m. and then not have an outlet to, like, engage with people about it. That's true. So I don't know. I think it'll be fun. My expectations actually aren't that high for it just because, you know, Fool me once, kind of thing, <laughs> fool, or fool me, th- yeah. fool, fool me three times. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm hoping it's fun, and I think low expectations will probably make it better. So that's what I'm going for. Yeah, I need to watch it with someone who understands the canon better because I, I think there's going to be a lot of like nods to things, and I want someone to be able to be like, "What does that mean? Why are we excited by that? Or why were people laughing at that?" Are you not going to see it with Matt? I guess it could be with Matt. I wonder, I don't know how much Matt, I guess Matt knows it pretty well. Maybe we'll see it over Christmas with my family. Yeah. But I, I don't know, I've only seen those movies not enough to get subtle jokes. Right, 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 exactly. Whereas I think there's a lot of people that's like, every little moment they've dissected and digested. Yes, I think that's, uh, I mean, I was one of those kids growing up. Connor actually, um, when he was... Whatever, a teenager made fake or maybe in a later made these fake websites that were um, fake rumor sites about Star Wars and <laughs> when I was a kid me and my friends would read Connor's fake rumor sites and think that they were real oh what a weird connection yeah exactly so that was one of the first one of the first interactions between Connor and I that we never knew was the things Connor was writing on the internet, me and my friends were reading. Uh, how long did it take before you made that connection? Uh, we were at like a diner one night talking about Star Wars, and I was talking about how obsessed me and my friends were with it, and then Connor was talking about how he and his friends would make these rumor sites, and I was I was basically like, yeah, we were so obsessed, we'd read these rumor sites, and Connor was like, we were so obsessed, we'd make rumor sites, and then he started, descri- uh. he started, started describing some of his, and I was like, Connor, we read your rumors, like, we read those. <laughs> Which I think That's yeah. so interesting Yeah so, I think if I Was living a different life I think a study I would like to do Would be like The, neuro, the neuroscience Of A class of people Who get obsessed with things Because I think That it's like There's something And I don't like Colloquially Like something about Like a geek or a nerd About like the obsessive quality On things Yeah I think And like true. What is that in the brain because I think that I was talking to Matt the other day, the kid I babysit, like, either loves something and is obsessed with it. Like, right now, it's Minecraft. 
that weird little like pixelated game. Right. But it's like that it's not like you're casually into stuff that you're obsessed with stuff. And I think a lot of people are drawn to improv because you can be easily obsessed with it. Yeah. And like go to a million shows. Like there's a big outlet for this like love of it. Yeah. And so it draws a lot true. of like geeky people. Did and you... geek has such a negative connotation, so I you know, but you mean what I'm saying, like that type of person. People that devote themselves to whatever it is they're doing. Yeah, that like, because it feels like you and Connor and Matt, like, you don't, most of your things you're into, you're fully into them. You're not like a casual observer of a lot of different things. Well, it's a lot of different things, but not, you know what I mean? Like, right. it feels like it's like you guys are really into stuff. We take extra joy in the depth of what we can get into. Yes. Uh, and I wonder if there's like, if there's like you could do a brain scan of people like that, and even if you like put people in MRI and you showed like clips of Star Wars, like what part of the brain is lighting up with these like these topics that people get obsessed with? Interesting. Now you say that as it seems like you're saying you are not one of those people. I don't think I am. I think that I get very sometimes frustrated how much people try to build like a cult of improv nerddom when it's just like I just like to perform this, right? Or like there's, there's a couple things that I really like, but I don't think that I'm like I can't think of something that I'm like I am obsessed with this thing, right? I guess I really like beagles, but there's only so much you can go into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unless, but see, that's the other thing is it's, that's not true. Is that you could, if you wanted to, start like raising beagles and doing this and no, you know. But like, I guess that's true. I could breed beagles and I could show beagles and I could, you know. Yeah, but you're just it, to you. That's not even a possibility of behavior. That's like no. Yeah, that's not. I like beagles the amount that it is okay to like beagles, which is that like I know the facts about them and the things I like about them, and that's it. Yeah, I guess, and I think that like, there's a couple other things, but yeah, I don't have that fandom. I don't, that's why I would be interested to see is like, oh, is it like a common, like, what commonality do people who get obsessed with things share? Right. Interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. That'd be really interesting to see. Now, do you find... Because I do, yeah. Do you find that it's difficult or that it creates it creates any conflict that Matt is that type of person and you are not that type of person. Sometimes I think he's like he could be very into like certain games and he'll really he has to like devour all of it before he can move on. Or I think that he has this trait where like if we'll be talking about like what was the lead character of this movie or like why did that movie do that? Right. Like he has to immediately Wikipedia it. And I wonder if like a character that a character trait that's similar, like tangentially related to that, is like a first foreknowledge. Like you have to know. Right. And because you have to know about a thing, you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And he is like I've started to stop fighting it, but if we're like on a walk and we bring up a topic of like, Oh, that's interesting, we'll have to look that up. He needs to look it up right away. Right, exactly. And and read a bunch of IMDb or Wikipedia sites about it. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if there's an element of, like, wanting to be the master of things, like wanting to... Because I also think... See, now that now that we're getting into the psychology of it, I think there's an element of it... I, speaking from my perspective of... 
I was a very anxious kid and nervous. A lot of things made me nervous. And so my antidote to that was the more I know about all the things that make me nervous, the more I can be in control of them and they have no power over me. So like, yeah, I can see that. So like being in control of things means that I am, I can be above the things that stress me out or confuse me or confound me. So I think that's like part of it too is like, Oh, this thing scares me. Well, I better become the best at it because then it won't scare me anymore. Yeah, I can see that. I also wonder, I feel like, not, it's, I don't know Connor as well, but I think, would you say that you, Matt, and Connor are all introverts? Uh, yeah, I would probably say so, yeah. And I would say, I wonder if that's part of it, because I think it's like, rather than, I think I am more of a classic extrovert of like, well, I get my energy from the outside world. Right. I think maybe a, like a thing about introverts is like you, it tends itself whether what came first, but it's like staying at home and looking at a computer or looking at books is like you can devour that and it's, it's not stressful to you. It doesn't drain your energy. If anything, it's like it's giving you energy because it's like it's a, a you personal task. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's very much true. Like it definitely... It, it it takes – I mean, a great example is this podcast where it's like – for Connor and I, it is like almost a, uh, a, a daredevil-esque feat to be social for 12 hours straight. You know what I mean? Like that's – yeah. to us, that's a uh, – it's impressive that we can do that and it's exciting to us. But then even still, we find ways to keep it personal and uh, interior. But – um, I think that's I think that's probably true, and yeah, I don't know if it's a coral a causation or a correlation, but I think there's some definitely truth to that. Because um, I think that one of the reasons why I don't get obsessed with things is because I get bored, and I wonder if that's like the opposite, where it's just like I need more external stimuli. So it's like even when I get like excited about a thing, there'll come a point where I'm like, I'm bored of this. I need to go be around people or something else. Right, I get that. That's interesting. Yeah. Whereas I've, I have had to do the opposite where I, I have to make myself go interact with people or else I will tend not to. So I have to like, in the same way that like people force themselves to eat vegetables or force themselves, uh, to stay in a diet. I force myself to stay on like a social regimen of like, all right, well you have to go out and talk to people. You have to go out and be social. You have to respond to that text message. It's part of the rule of what you have to do right now. Just cause it's better for you. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder, too, if, like, in our community, I think there's definitely shades of awkwardness. Right. And I think that that also comes part and parcel of, I think that, like, a lot of introverts and people who, like, only can come alive, like, on stage. Yeah. Not only, but you mean, like... Right. It's a safe place to do that. Yeah. Now, do you honestly, like, you feel energized when you're around other people? Like, you're... That's a... That's easier for you than being alone. I think I am, like... I think on the spectrum, because I live with people who are, like, most classic extroverts, but they would get anxious when they want to around other people. And I don't think I'm that strongly an extrovert, but I think that, like, if I'm, like, at a party and I'm, like, making a group of people laugh, that's when I feel the most, like, like, buzzed kind of thing. Interesting. But I also like to have, like... I think also the like being like one on one and being very like charismatic to one person is also very like exciting for me. And I do need to like recharge. And when I get home from a day, 
usually like have even like 10 minutes of like not talking to people. But I think that like, I think I became a performer because I need people to be looking at me and like interacting with me. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like I can do, I, I think I'm good at talking with people one on one and then in groups. I can do it, but it is like, it's like a show where afterwards I feel exhausted by it. And like, you know, I will try, I will try to avoid doing it unless I have to. And then when I do, I'm good at it, but it, it takes concerted energy and effort to do so. But like talking with someone. And you feel exhausted after a show? Uh, yeah, not exhausted, but I feel like the, the adrenaline release. Well, it depends, you know, now not so much just because if you perform for a while, I feel like you don't have that same spike, but I definitely have a feeling of like, um, yeah, a feeling of a little, a, a little bit of, I expended a bunch of energy to make that, to do that. And now, that's interesting. Yeah. I definitely don't, you know, 20 minutes after a show, I'm not more energized. I'm more like, oof, that, that took all my energy. Because I, I asked one time when I was in North Carolina and just started off, somehow it came up, someone was like, I was asking someone, like, what does cocaine feel like? And they're like, do you remember the first time you killed on stage and how that felt? And I was like, yeah, and like, it feels like that. And I think, like, for me, after a show, I sometimes have a hard time going home because I'm, I'm up. Right. And I feel that. I, I feel that, but then there's always a huge... A, a huge release that comes right after that where I'm just like, oh boy, okay, well, got over that one. On to the next thing. Like, so... Yeah. Yeah. And uh, definitely... Groups of people, parties, things like that, those are like... Those take a lot of energy for me. Just a lot. Is it groups of people? Yeah, if it's a group of people or like a party or something like that, it just... I have to. I go into it like almost like a show. I have that mentality where it's like, all right, well, I got to do these things, and it's going to take all this energy. Which is why I think I t typically avoid parties and things like that, is because it's just an exhausting endeavor to be social for that long with that many people. Yeah, I would say parties. I would rather be on stage or in a small group than at a party. Yeah. Unless I'm in that mode. I think I'm pretty good at being with people one-on-one. -on -one. I really enjoy that. But Yeah, I like that too. I, I think I like making like individualized, strong connections for yes. the most part. Yes. Rather than like... Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so what do you... Matt said you're watching the uh, a football game right now. This is a basketball game. Oh, basketball game. Um, Number three, North Carolina, just literally at the buzzer, lost by two to Texas. Ooh, I'm sorry. I know. Yeah. I know that's uh, you're you went to North Carolina, so that's a uh, that's a, a a defeat. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was. I guess it's just tough because oh, our rankings are change, which isn't the worst problem, especially this early in the season. But it is a bummer because yeah. they're also unranked. Right. And you don't you don't follow NBA or anything. Like, you're not like a 76ers fan. No, because Pittsburgh never had a team, so there's not really a team that I'm excited by. And watching, for watching the NBA is so different than um, NCAA. Yeah, totally. Very different. 
But, Do you follow NBA? Yes, I follow it very closely. Um, and it's also... Oh, wow, what's your team? Uh, the Chicago Bulls, just because I'm from Chicago. And then the Knicks. Oh, that makes sense. Because I live in New York. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I, I tend to follow it very closely, but um, the college stuff, because I didn't, you know, I didn't go to a college that had sports, so I don't, I, I've never followed college sports or had an affinity for them. Yeah, it wasn't NYU, like, comically, like, you, you guys were the Violets and had no sports teams, or they were just low-key here? Uh, no, so we, we had a basketball team, a volleyball team, a track team, cross-country, and then, like, fencing and things like that, but no football. I don't think they, they might have had a baseball team, but, like, definitely no football, basketball team, all D3, and, like, not very good overall, and... At NYU, NYU is not a school that's a big, full of sports fans. So, being on like, uh, yeah, being on like the team at NYU, I think was treated with the same amount of like respect as if you were like, oh yeah, I'm in this club. People would be like, okay, cool, good for you. Yeah, I I think as I'm thinking about it, I don't know if it's the same thing, but a character trait I do have that I've like realized over time is I was, I think, I was raised to, like, root for a team. And I think that, like, that, that like, carries over into, like, I can be a very big sports fan if I have, like, a tie to it. And I think that it's made me be, like, whatever I'm doing, I believe is the best. Right. So I, like, am very pro-LA, and I hate New York. <laughs> I think that New York, and I think that's what it is more, but I just think it's the stupidest city in the whole world. Interesting. Interesting. Well... And I think part of that comes from, like, me being like, you're either a Steelers fan or you're shit. You're either this or you you suck. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, we're in LA and we hate New York. Yeah, I, that makes sense. And I grew up during the the prime era of Chicago Bulls, and my parents went to Notre Dame, so definitely there was like a Homer team mentality in our house, household, also. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I think that Matt and I are going to actually get dinner soon. Yeah, do it too. I was going to say, thank you for being on the podcast and uh, discussing. Thank you for having us. Of course. Um, and I'm glad... Matt, I, you want to say goodbye? I'm glad our yeah. listeners got to meet you for the first time. Thank you so much, listeners. Uh, you can follow me at MarySaffin and Twitter.com. Let me know if you like New York, if you like LA, anything you have to say about, you know, the Tar Heels. I don't know what kind of fan base you have, but I, you know... Yeah, so we've been having a lot of fun. Why don't you, why don't you guys all tweet at Mary Sasson? How do you spell M A R Y S A S S O N? Yes. And And then I'll know when this got released. Yes, and then you can choose choose New York or LA. Do New York That's LA. Fun, yeah. Do Okay, tweet NY or LA and then after that have a number ranking of how you feel between 1 and 10 about the UNC Tar Heels. One, zero being you don't know what that is, ten being you're a super fan, and then you can choose between. So it's L.A. or N.Y., and then a number of whether or not you like the UNC Tar Heels, and then Mary can use those. Use what your answer is as you know determinations as to whether or not she's going to interact with you. <laughs> yeah, I, can't, I can't wait for the, the app mentions. Yeah. Send her the at mentions. Get get her the at mentions, guys. Send her at Mary Sasson, NY or LA, 1 through 10 on Tar Heels. 
All right. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, now podcast, I'm about Mary. to say bye real quick. Yeah, yeah. So goodbye, Mary, and then now let's say goodbye to Matt. Hey. Hey, Matt. I'm sorry that Mary took up all the podcast time. No, that's quite all right. She's uh, much more interesting and uh, funny to me. Well, she, we talked so so much about her in those first two episodes. It felt like only fitting that the audience get to know her a little bit. Oh, I agree. Yeah, uh, and I think a much more engaging and interesting guest. Uh, 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 what what do I have to say? I have nothing nothing to say. Okay. Well, Matt, thank you for being on the podcast. I you know we should talk. About- <laughs> what an anticlimactic note for me. I just left myself on a terrible uh, sad note. Well, that's fine. I feel like we've done that before with you in the past. Oh, wow. Now I'm going to have to go back and listen to what's a more what, your, What's a more triumphant end for you, Matt? Um, I guess that, like, uh, you know, if you look at my arc through all these episodes, like I started Act 1, uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, naive about the world, how the podcast uh, worked, as in one place in my life. You come now, full circle to Act 3, I've grown, I've changed. Act two, I, I journeyed uh, out of my home, out of my comfort zone, into uh, uh, a new land, uh, and now I have uh, gained knowledge and experience, and I am uh, better and wiser for it. Wow, wow! You're a re- you're the real the hero's journey of our podcast in a major way. I am, I am. That's really impressive. I'm very impressed, Matt. Well, it was all because of you and Connor. Thanks. You know. I appreciate that, Matt. And oh yeah, we you know uh, we should talk on the phone sometime. I, I tried to call you the other day, but it was a bad time. But you're I, you're one of my friends that I try to keep in touch with on the phone, Matt. Yes, I, I love talking to you. It's great. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the podcast this time, and I will talk to you soon. I'm sure. Thank you for having me, and I can't wait to speak to you off mic. All right, I'll talk to you soon, Matt. That was Matt and Mary. Oh, here's the two mics. Here's what... You want to hear what mic differences are? So here's uh, JD's handheld mic, handheld mic, handheld mic, handheld mic. Connor's lav mic. How are you? Oh, good. Oh, we're just, we're just in the middle of the 12-hour podcast. Connor's doing a show upstairs. Yeah, exactly. So this is the stick mic and lav mic. Stick mic, lav mic, stick mic, lav mic. Okay. Let me make sure Connor has not texted me. He hasn't. My guess is that he also doesn't know that I'm down here, which is fine. Um, so I've become obsessed with this. I'm going to turn off these, actually. Um, there's this game that I've become obsessed with that I play non-stop right now. Ouch. Um, that is currently loading up. And that is a game called Subterfuge. And it is a... It's like, imagine Risk, except... Uh, if the game of Risk took 10 days... You're playing against 10 people and it took 10 days to complete a game. Um, 
I'm gonna see if Connor is nearby. I would be surprised. Oh, he might be backstage right now. I can tell that the show ended because there's all these people coming down to use the restroom. Um, all right, I'm going to head upstairs. I'm going to pack up all this stuff real quick. Twelve hour day. Connor's had a show. Alex French, how you doing? Hey, doing well. How about you? Good. What brings you to the beast right now? Uh, I was doing a little Star Wars show. Okay, yeah, Connor just did that. Yeah. So that's what I was waiting for. He was real fun in it. How'd it go? Very funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Connor got to play a little Boba, a little uh, George Lucas. Who are you playing? Uh, I was Uncle Brendan, uh, Luke's cool uncle. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. And how have you been otherwise? Been doing well. You know, just uh, planning stuff for the holidays. You going back home? Yeah. Going to go back on the 23rd and come back to New York on the 29th. From Indiana, right? Close. Cincinnati. <sighs> so close. It's very close. I'm going to go find Connor and get him back lobbed up. And you can use the restroom. It's good to see you. You too. All right. All right. Walking up the stairs here. All right. It's loud. And here's Connor. Hey, Keaton. How you doing, Connor? How'd the show go? I gave away my Boba That's smart. That is a smart move. Yeah. Because it's like, I got it for free, and I got it knowing that I Wait, is your thing on? Let me just see. No. Yeah. Now me, now me, now me? Yeah, now you're on. Um, I got it for free. Connor said he gave away his Boba Fett costume. Uh, let me just use this bench for a second to sort myself out. Uh, and I really felt like when it was given to me, it was because I knew I had the show coming up that I even said yes to taking it. It was a free costume. How's your cut? Good. I didn't notice it until now. Yeah, have you put a bandaid on it yet? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, how was your hour? Good. I walked around the city a little bit. I texted some people who weren't around. Uh-huh. And then I talked on the phone with Matt Cohen and Mary Sasson for about 45 Ooh, minutes. great people. And you I were able to record that? Yeah. Great. And I realized it was the first uh, podcast experience of Mary Sasson. Yeah. Who, remember, we did an improv scene about in my apartment during episode one. 
and who we gave co- uh, Matt a hard time in episode three about moving to mm-hmm. live with. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like our audience has heard a lot about Mary through Matt, but never got to She's hear like um, Maris on Frasier or uh, Vera on Cheers. Exactly. Um, except she's a real person and a, w- a fully well-developed uh, character exactly. in her own right. Exactly. Uh, but it was good. We talked about... Now, she asked this question to me about both of us, but I'll let you answer for yourself. Do you think? Do you consider yourself an introvert? Um, should we walk up this direction? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I think... Uh, let's walk west, actually. Okay. Good night. Take care. Um, he's uh, the one that's the costume. He's got, and he had a really fun Boba Fett costume. It was like... Really hey, funny. Aaron Jackson. Aaron Jackson, do you want to be on 12 Hour Day? Yeah. Hi there. Hi, I'm Aaron Jackson. <laughs> How are you doing, Aaron? Good. How many hours are you into the day? Uh, what time is it? It is eight, so we're eight hours in. Yeah. Oh my God, that's good. Yeah. Four hours left. Yeah. I just saw a rough cut of the thing that both of you were in. Oh, how's looking it look? good. It's looking fun. You're good. Oh, good. Thank God. <laughs> that's what I need to hear. Yeah. Why are you just walking? The, are you walking the whole day? Well, we spent the first part of the day at Connor's apartment, and uh-huh. then Connor had to come do this show, so now I wandered around, and now yeah. we're just wandering again. Oh, great. Do you have a destination in mind? Not really no. right now, no. Right now, just we're in the city. That's fine. What are you going to do? I have to kill some time before a comedy show at the Upper Citizens Brigade Theater. You want to get a plug-in? You want to get your plug-in? <laughs> what are you for love? Every Saturday at 10. <laughs> come check it out. Great, great, so you got great. two hours to kill. Yeah. I'm going to go use the bathroom at the theater, and then... Um, you know, kill a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And then just see what happens from there on out. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right. And uh, you're going to be doing the show with us on Friday, right? What's the show on Friday? The Terry Withers Christmas? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm excited. I'll give you more details later in the week. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Your character died, but yeah. I don't I don't think that will matter. For Wait, our I don't did, think it does. Did Noah really die? Yes. He did. Oh, but, my God. But... Something may happen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Our listeners, if you people listening to this podcast will already know what happened, but we're not going to tell you oh, yet. Oh, I don't know yet. Because yeah. you need to react it. You, you need to react appropriately in the moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I would want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what time is that show at? That is at 7.30. 730. Oh, great. Yeah. We're doing yeah. Gentrify it later. Oh, yeah. but it won't time. affect it. Scads of time. You'll have this almost this exact same amount of time between shows <laughs> yeah. as you have now. That's yeah. true. So this is be good practice for how to kill that time. Yeah, I'll have a long walk. So that, that will be nice. I'll have yeah. walk from the Chelsea to the East Village. Yeah. What's your opinion on SantaCon currently well, happening? Well, you know, I do think there's now a backlash on people. hate. People are now hating on haters of SantaCon. But I Ooh, did... interesting. Yeah. You know the internet. You have to have an opinion. But I did wait tables once during a SantaCon, and we were unaware we were on the list. And it really was a hellscape. Because everybody came in and would order food, and you'd be like, who got the chicken wings? And everyone looks the same. And they'd all oh. raise their hand, and so you just like, sort of give it to people. So it was, a, it was a nightmare. And then the people came to... I never even thought of how horrible that would be. It was bad. And then the people came to work the night shift, and they walked in, there's just, like, broken glass and, like, abandoned beards everywhere. They're like, what happened? And we were all shell-shocked. It was pretty bad. Oh, boy. So and, I dislike SantaCon. And I feel like I haven't run into... I haven't had a SantaCon where I haven't had to cross paths with an obnoxious drunk. Yeah. I mean, the listeners will know as I walk through at, during the show... I keep looking up and like, are you recording? Are you recording me? And it's like, 
Come on. Not you. Yeah, what Come do you on. have to say? Come on. I do like the signs, though, like on bars that say, like, no Santas. It's very, like, 1950s, yes. like, separate doors and modern drinking fountains. And stuff, I love that. <laughs> I, love, I love anything where... Establishments are like, we don't want your business. Yeah, we don't care about we don't you. We don't want your <laughs> I know it feels very French. To yeah. be like, go away, we don't care about your money. Exactly. It's hard for Americans to wrap their mind around that. Yeah. This money is God here. Okay, <laughs> New York. Ah, <laughs> oh, New York. Yeah. Oh boy, oh boy. You guys got anything you want to plug, or you've already done all your plugs? We've done all of our plugs. But go see Aaron at What I Did for Love. Yeah. And, uh, Follow Aaron on Twitter at uh, um, what is it? It's Aaron Jackson eight five, and then on an Instagram I'm Garbage Troll. So really, <laughs> you'd rather have him on Instagram. I'm having more fun with Instagram these days, but I'd, I'd say I'm not prolific on either of the two. Guys, I'll say Aaron's next Instagram. Aaron, why don't you give give our listeners an inside sneak peek of what your next Instagram Instagram is going to be? Yeah. So if I ever do any sort of selfie, I take a long break in between selfies, and I had one with my I just saw my sister in a play, and we did a selfie because yeah. she has crazy makeup. So it's definitely not going to be of me. The next Instagram you will see will not be of my face. Any hints to what it will be? God, I don't even know. I have to curate the content. When's it going to drop? Probably, I'd say within, well, listeners will already, I know, about like three to five days from now. <laughs> well, you do have two hours now. You could go on a little That's fo- true. A photo hunt. I could go a lot of great city sites. Yeah, a lot of Santas. Try, could have a, some quippy pun or a uh, yeah, yeah. joke about the Santas. Yeah, yeah. I don't well, know. That's some inside scoop for you, 12 heads. You're sort yeah, of yeah. seeing behind the curtain of what makes an Aaron Jackson Instagram. Yeah. yeah. I'm riding high because I just had a Facebook status of over 300 likes. What wow, was it? wow. It was like uh, very preachy about uh, a lot of people are making fun of man buns all the time and oh, I had yeah. long hair and I sort of just like did a soapbox about like get over it. This, I said this joke is tired. I saw that. I appreciate that because I was like, yeah, what is the... It's strange. Yeah. It's a strange hate toward men with long hair. It feels very... Like Ooh, you're like getting on board. You got long hair. I'm long hair, and it's very. It feels like. The you're like you'll do what you like. I like you'll my long like. hair. Give me a break. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm right now. Santa's touching his lips. Yeah, yeah. He made eye contact with me while he touched his lips. And then someone said your name. Yeah, which is also. Weird. <laughs> so a lot of things that just happened. Man, <laughs> yeah, everything feels a little bit like a dream. Yeah. Right now. So something's unraveling. Yeah. Yeah. One of us is getting woken from our coma right now. <laughs> well, I enjoy the rest of your... Thank you, and enjoy your show tonight. Thank you. Yeah. You got four hours, I got two hours to kill. Exactly. Well, you got three, an hour of show, so really... Right. Just know when your show ends, we have an hour left in our <laughs> podcast. You've been talking exactly. the whole time. Yeah. I love it. All right. Bye, Bye Aaron. You too. Um... The uh, I just ignored that. Yeah, yeah. There was a Santa who was like lingering on the periphery as we were talking to Aaron, who wanted attention, and we denied it to him. You know, as he I, said everything. Da, 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 da. As, uh, I, as I walked around, the amount of people that I had to do that. Yeah. That it's like. Yeah. Uh, they're all like, I think they think that I'm doing some interview thing on SantaCon. Yeah. And it's like. Uh, I think part of what annoys about SantaCon is that... They want attention? Well, they're doing something so banal and dumb. Like, there's nothing clever about it, but they think what they're doing is so novel... Right. ...that they think it's worthy of attention. Yeah. Um, so it's like the assumption that, like, anything, anything going on right now must be about this thing that they're doing that they think is novel yeah. and special. 
<clears throat> yeah, I feel like the very act of walking around with a microphone and, and ignoring Santas could be the thing that leads a, a group of Santas to beat you up. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it does feel like there's a genuine element of threat to it. Yeah. That if you ignored enough Santas and they started communicating together, <laughs> you know what I mean? It could well, happen. Like, yeah. Well, if, if, if I think it'd go down where it's like we ignore one person and they're really adamant about it. And we, yeah. We are adamant about ignoring them. And they attracted and then, a few more people. Exactly. And they are just escalate. Um, I have an idea. I don't know whether it's a good idea or whether you'll like it. Um, I think we should just go on a nice, brisk, long walk. I That's like what I'm this. thinking about. Um, I want to go over to the west side because I might we might meet up with a friend of mine. Okay. Um, well, the show I just did was fun. Uh, it always feels weird whenever I do the George Lucas character in any context that isn't my own. Uh, and that may be yeah. an aspect of the character as well. Right. That it's like. <coughs> The character is a controlling character, and even though I, I try to... That was actually one of the very nice things that John said after doing the show, was that he thought I had... He complimented me on how in control of the show I was, considering right. that it doesn't have a structured format, right. and that you, know, you get three guests and me and uh, Sean Diston all together... Uh, it, it requires a certain amount of conversational hey. wrangling. Molly hey, Lloyd. Molly Lloyd is here on the 12 Hour Day podcast. Star Toy with his mystery Molly. How are you? Hi, buddies. How are you? Hey, you're going to uh, Mexico soon. Uh, yeah, I leave for Mexico on Monday. Oh. That's so exciting. Yeah, I've been packing and panicking all day. We're clutching each other now like a, just a, what do you call this, a triumvirate? Yeah. A yeah. triptych? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Cool. You guys have a great podcast. You too. Have Peace good, out. Have a good night. Yeah. Have a good Mexico. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> you too. Bye. Um, I'm always. <laughs> she's in a hurry. She's like, she's like, I know Connor and Judy will talk to me forever, forever. Uh, I'm always happy when I see Molly popping popping up in commercials on TV. Molly is in every other commercial. If you've ever seen a, a young, vibrant mother in a commercial, yeah, a young, vibrant, optimistic, maybe overly optimistic mother. Like the bit is like in the face of something goofy. This yeah. is happy. Yeah. That was probably Molly. Yeah, and she is, of course, Deb, Terry's wife on the Terry Withers Mysteries. Deborah. Deborah. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, where on the west side do you want to go to? Uh, just over there. Uh, just, I have some friends doing a show over there, and it might be fun to check in. All right. After their show, but sure. you never know. Um, at what ve what venue? Um, at Cherry Lane. Oh, I see. That's like wait, Cherry Lane is that in like the theater? Oh wait, no, that's on that's in the west. Yeah, this is the, the west, west village. On like Bar by uh, Barrow Street. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. The uh, yeah, so it was uh, a fun show. But uh, with some very funny things happening in it. But it always feels a little bit weird doing the character in anyone else's right. kind of forum. Uh, because also they, aren't, they don't have the same li lines drawn of respect for the character that you do. Right. So they might ask or want you to do things that aren't right. typical of your character. <laughs> that happened a little bit. There were parts of the... Uh, 
Griffin and David's podcast when we did the live screening of episode three, there were parts where there were like pre-planned character bits, a couple of which sort of contradicted the reality that I had set up, and it was very right. difficult to kind of, you kind of just had to sort of just let them, let the bit complete itself and sort of stay out of the way of it. Right. And then just snap back to reality. Right. But there was one thing I wanted to say, which was talking about the spirit of Ratliff Christmas special, um, was that it's, uh, you're, the thing you were saying about how, like, uh, some of Keith's stuff being like, uh, it's like the, sp- the thing you see on the way to the actual thing being yeah. made, and how there's that weird sort of chaos to it. Yeah. Um, is it, it's funny how, like, everybody has a very, everybody has different ways of looking at things, and, like, one of the sequences in, I directed the music video sequences that are in the, I edited the music video sequences that are in the special. Right. And there's one for the song 40 Years of Christmas, which is uh, is kind of like a, uh, a Christmas song blended with a uh, uh, any kind of song like We Didn't Start the Fire or there's an Elvis Costello song called 45, which is sort of like a, he goes through his life story, but he keeps using the references of records right. uh, and music in terms of, uh, it was when he turned 45, but obviously also 45 being the size of, like, the singles he bought when he was a kid. Right. Uh, So it's that kind of song. And the video that I directed for it is a mix of, like, archival clips to match the historical references, and then there's a whole sequence that's just very fast-flashing photos uh, going through me as a little kid, teenager, 20s, 30s, and... And there's a couple of clips within the sequence that are kind of sped up clips of me decorating the tree. Right. So Keith was like, I love the video. I'm not sure how we can, where we can, how we fit it into the special. And I'm like, well, right. we just fit it in like right here where I'm doing this. He's like, yeah, but you see you decorating the tree at various points during the video. And we can't just go back. If you've already decorated the tree in the video, we can't just go back to you decorating the tree then. Right. And I'm sort of like, well, why not? Like, that's just like how, like, A Hard Day's Night, any of those, like, uh, movies that include music, musical sequences in them often just have this crazy logic to the song part, and then it snaps back to... uh, And also, so many of the sequences in the special already have this weird rhythm and energy. It's just very interesting when different people have their, like... Right, their lines that are like, wait, wait, wait. We can't can't do do that. that. It won't make sense. And I'm like, you have whole sequences that are so bizarre and so absurd uh, that to me it's like oh no the logic of this is just like this is a song and then we cut back right. after the song right? and no one's going to be like wait a second he decorated the tree during that well we also saw like 40 years of history during the video right? and those were like sped up stylized things so this is just very interesting Ooh, very nice decorations up here uh, you, I don't even you like the individually wrapped tree branches up here? Is that what you're pointing at? Uh, yeah, and also, it's a, I don't know if... It's, I just like the unexpected orange tree lights. Yeah. It's an unexpected... If, I don't know if that even is specific to the holiday season or if they're always like that and I just don't pass by this way. Yeah. But it blends very well with the, uh, with the Christmas lights. Yeah. Uh, we're at a place... What is that? Is that called B-Bar Grill Cafe or what is that? Uh, yeah, something like that. It's like sort of a hip place. I don't know. It's like sort of a hit place. I hate all these people that have to make comments. What were people trying to say about the microphone? 
I don't know. She, there's some stupid girl. Some, you know what? Some stupid woman. Yeah. No, you can say what you wanted. She was only four. It was just like a young college-age girl that was make, trying to make some joke, but had nothing. Really didn't really, to say. She didn't really have any have it. She didn't really have anything to say other than the fact that she wanted to. She wanted to make a joke about the microphone. Right, but didn't <laughs> didn't have anything to go with. Yeah. The, the the essence of her joke was essentially, you have a microphone. Exactly. It was like the uh, the acknowledgement of the opportunity to do something funny. I realize I've never walked, like this is exactly the place to avoid on SantaCon. Yeah, that's what I've, I've, I'm realizing it now as well. Yeah, I've never walked through this. I mean, I understand there being a, a backlash against the backlash because it's the kind of thing that happens. Right. And I realize that I'm not saying anything that isn't, that is in any way original, but I do agree with your thing of, um, like, I'll say this, you know, I have a, like... I shouldn't have worn red pants. <laughs> oh, yeah, you look like you're just, like, subtle Santa. Yeah. I did kind of think it would be cool the way Aaron Jackson was not dressed Santa-like at all. I was imagining someone like him just saying, I'm young Santa, like before he got into it. <laughs> um, no, there is something where it's almost like when you see all these people who are dressed in the same outfit, there's an element of like, like Halloween can sometimes be annoying. Right. But at least on Halloween, you've got degrees of creativity. Right, and even if you're not the only one dressed as something, you probably are the only one as that in eyesight, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you can at least feign this novelty to what you're doing. Whereas here, I just don't get why people think that what they're doing is so out there and crazy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Feels vaguely sinister in a way. It does. Like It, it feels very much like a clockwork orange type. Universe. Yeah, there is something about... Where it's like, uh-oh, all these people in these goofy, ridiculous costumes I just want to avoid. Well, because, like, when you think of, like, the people who show up for the Gether Show uh, in, in weird costumes, that there is a wide array of kinds of costumes. Right. And the nature of... It's, it's so disparate, uh, as opposed to desperate. Yeah. Um, and there is something about... Whether it's costumes or whether it's something, some other aspect, the way that it feels sinister when you get a bunch of people all in the same outfit. Right. Rather than feeling like, uh, rather than feeling like it's a good uh, communal thing, it actually ends up feeling. I may have mentioned this before. Like I remember going to see uh, Fahrenheit 9/11 in the theater, and. Uh, I like a lot of Michael Moore's work, but I really hated being in a, in a New York City Manhattan movie theater with an audience that was 100% on board with everything. Right. That even when it was something that I agreed with, to hear everyone all going like, yeah, at the same time, it automatically yeah. inspires something in me that like is alarm a... alarm bells, yeah. Yeah, that I'm like, wait a second. Maybe not, huh? Yeah. Uh, it's just like a little bit of a hesitancy to fully get on board if everybody's all on board at the same time that it kind of starts to make me feel like well hold on wait a second uh let's think about this 
Well, it's like the, uh, it's, it's sort of like the, if everyone's an idiot, then maybe you're the idiot kind of thing. Or it's like, right. everyone you've dated is crazy. Maybe you're the crazy one. It's sort of like, if everyone likes this, maybe I'm the one that doesn't like this. Yeah. Oops. Uh, that's all right. Uh, what, now we're now, we're near NYU. What kind of feelings does this stir up in you? Have we ever walked uh, around here during the podcast? We haven't. Not really. It is weird because I, I always say to people, it does feel like, you know, walking through my college campus. So it's like whatever that would feel like for you of being back at your college campus and walking through it. Yeah. That's what it feels like for me. Yeah. But I'm here a lot more often. Like right now I'm trying to finish up this screenplay. Uh-huh. And so I can't really write at home just because I have too many distractions. So what I actually did is I, I, I have a subscription to our college library. So I go back and I write there. The only how, does, how, is th- how does that work? Anyone can subscribe or just alumni? Alum- I mean, anyone can, but it's expensive. And then alumni, it's not so bad. It's yeah. like $275 for a year, which... So it's, to, well, to wait, get, you to, know, it's pennies a day. Yes, it is. Well, it's... Quarters do- a day. Yeah, less than a dollar a day. Yeah. Uh, but for, like, to get, like, a shared workspace in New York is a lot more expensive. Like, there's these sure. writing spaces you can get memberships to, but those are, like... Six hundred dollars for six months or something, right? So it's twelve hundred like, a year. So I'm just sort of like, yeah, good man. <laughs> to me, the value of like for those writing spaces, it's usually like one floor with a handful of desks and Wi-Fi, yeah, and nice furniture, yeah, for six hundred for twelve hundred dollars a year. For me, it's I can pay two hundred seventy-five dollars yeah. a year and get access to one of the largest libraries in the country and. Dozens of different types of spaces to write in. You know what do I mean? You like, feel, do you feel like you get the maximum use out of it? 100%. That's good. Because also, the, what that means is I also have, and this is something that anyone who lives in New York knows is of high value. I have a place that I can freely use the restroom whenever I need to in this Ooh, part of town. Ooh, la la. So this was... This is the business school. Yeah. I took some classes here. I took classes underneath this plaza right here. Uh-huh. And then the other place right there is the math and computer science building, which I minored in computer science. Great. And right here is a big theater, but upstairs is the sound stage. Uh-huh. The top of the sound stage where we build all of our sets for our short films. You build a set for a short film up there? Yeah. Right in there. And then there's the library up there on the left. Mm-hmm. You ever been in the NYU library? No, I never have. Oh. I don't have $1,200 a year. Uh, well, that's not what it costs. It costs $700. Oh, that's the shared workspace. $275. No, not for, I'm not an alumni, though. Yeah, it costs you like $400. That's not a bad deal. No. Here, let's walk in. Uh, let's walk in. You can, the, uh, we, I can go in with you as a guest of well, alumni? We don't, we're not going to go in the place where you have to have access. Like, there's a little area okay. right before that. They probably won't like me with the microphone, but they'll be able to deal with it for a minute. Just say, where do I return the microphone that I checked out? Oh, yeah. So here, I'll tell you a story about this first. Okay. So you'll see, we'll go inside, there's this giant atrium. Basically, Mm -hmm. you walk inside, and up to the top of the 14th floor, the middle of the entire library is open. Yeah. And uh, there's railings that are about, like, waist high. Yeah. Low waist high. And there used to be no guard on them. And there were always tons of suicides there. Uh-huh. Because uh, NYU had a really high suicide rate. People would go to the library and jump down in the middle. Oh, God. So a lot of people died in the atrium we're about to go into? 
Yeah, uh, not a lot of people, but enough. And it's like a pretty dramatic, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So then when I was there, I, we were the last year that didn't that had the open area. And then while I was there, they put up these plastic garter things uh-huh. that were about like six feet high. Yeah. And then even still, people climb over those. Yeah. So then you'll see six, what they did now. They put, they just put railings all up and down, which looks not bad. But if you can imagine without out the railings, you'll see it used to be a very beautiful library. Yeah. Now, what is it? Oh, those things that hang up and down. So the, the gold things, yeah. Those I mean, used to not be there. It makes sense. Here, let's let's walk inside. I'll put the microphone down. You can yeah. talk. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. It's very high, and I can see how they needed those. I mean, it makes sense. It makes absolute sense why they would put that there. You can see compared to people how they're relatively low with nothing. Yeah. And now what was the thing they added first? Uh, they're not there They're not there They're like plastic. Oh, God. I, I just imagine how horrible it would be to be in here when that happened. Yeah. Um... Wow, it's a really vast building, though. Beautiful it's like being—it's like looking at an ant farm. The way people are moving around in here. Yeah. And so then there's all those desks up there. Yeah. On all the sides that I write on, you can sort of see in the middle. Yeah. Also, like there, that's the hall of portraits of NYU presidents. Ooh, that's something good. The grand space. Yeah. Um, and we were not hassled. We were not hassled by security. No. We were uh, not hassled by security. That's to their credit, I think. Yes. You could tell we were decent folk just having a gander. The thing that is so weird, though, is so... It is strange being there and now walking in that library and realizing how much younger a lot of those people are than me. Sure, yeah. Like, this year is the first time in a while where I'll walk the halls of that library and feel a little bit out of place. You know right, what I mean? Right, right, right. Or these people make eye contact with me, and I don't know if they feel like I'm out of place, but I feel like they are very young. Right. Because a lot of, you know, some of those people are, you know, nine years younger than me or whatever. Yeah. Because, hello. <coughs> so you're, you're, more, you're likely to be mistaken for... A grad student. You know, I could be a grad student. Grad student usually. or a... Or a... That's the crazy thing, though, is that, like... Even still, I'm at the, now I'm at the, at the tail end of being a grad student. Yeah. Unless I'm trying to be a doctor, which I'm not. Um, nice Christmas tree through the uh, archway there. Yeah, we're in, we're in Washington, Washington Square Park, Park now. Which was like the, it was like the quad for NYU. <coughs> um, I, so right there is one of the dining halls for NYU. Oh, yeah? And you see right, right here. You see that outcropping right there? Uh-huh. You can you can eat your meals up there. That's pretty nice. They had one of the best views because you basically you see over the arch at the Empire State Building oh. up Fifth Avenue. There Does your a, library pass get you in there? No. What would it take for you to get dining privileges there? Uh, I'd have to have an a staff ID card, which I could probably get. Uh huh. But for real, or a yeah, fake one? A real one, if I needed. Um, they don't have an alumni meal program. That would be the most insane. That would be creepy. If you, uh, I just prefer your food. You just be like, I like, I like, I eat a lot of cereal. It's easier for me to just get it, pull the thing, have it, 
Now I have to worry about boxes. That would be funny if you lived in this area and just were like, can I just get a meal plan? Yeah, like just you be just like, leave your apartment every day and go into a, one of the college yeah. dining halls. Yeah, I feel like it'd be for a certain kind of person, it'd be very convenient. Yeah, a freak. No, no, a freak. Um, a creepo. <coughs> and now, uh, watching Square Park install all these new lights, it's actually I think makes it more pleasant at night. Oh yeah, much more. Because it's like this nice, beautiful white light, as opposed to before it was like... It's like a yellow light, right? Dark orange. Yeah. yeah. Much darker. Uh, that's how I felt in England. In, in Liverpool and all around, all the streetlights when, when I lived there, all the streetlights were like a sinister orange right. kind of streetlight. And it made everything feel dangerous. And it, I think it actually... I don't know. I'm just speculating on this, but I remember yes, feeling like... I, I believe... What you're about to say is is verifiable by studies. That it creates an atmosphere that makes people feel like they can get away with things, and it, I think it pushes people towards. It just it made everything feel less safe, yeah. and there's something about bright lights that kind of just makes everything feel a little bit more. Uh, I think so. <coughs> um, we're still good. We're still a good. Yeah. Um, yes, but I believe in, there's some study in Japan, and the thing is, uh, any uh, studies about Japanese culture, I don't. I think they're totally relatable to the United States because I think Japanese people just culturally things are different enough that our behaviors don't normally match theirs. Right. But there is some study where in Japan they changed the, the color of streetlights in certain cities and it decreased crime there. Yeah. I mean, I when I was in Tokyo, uh, there was an area, there was one night when I stayed in a fancy hotel because I needed it for a location. And that night I like walked around and for one thing it would be like imagine imagine if it like the business district in here or even like even like Times Square in this imagine if everything was pedestrianized above like like everything above was like everything was like the high line in a weird way right where you could walk every direction everywhere because they had built all these walkways everywhere and they were big and bright and even you know at nighttime when there's not really anyone around it felt very safe right uh, probably saw an impersonator yeah guy looks like burger time um where are we headed where are we headed where are we headed just wandering towards alright um <laughs> What's playing at IFC right now? Uh, on Twitter, someone gave me a hard time for thinking that. You see that? Yeah, I saw it. 
Reddit on our Reddit. Yeah. For thinking that house, the, the 1980s Vietnam yeah. horror movie was playing, but it's really Hasu. Yeah. Well, everybody makes mistakes. I'm gonna grab a, my second slice. I only had one slice for at the place down here. All right. Oh yeah, uh, you really like this place. I do. Um. Ooh, it's a wonderful life. Oh yeah, Rob wanted to go to that. Yeah. Um, well, a week from now, I'll be in uh, Missouri. Oh, right. Uh, I'll be in Chicago. Chicago. Are you going on Saturday? No, I go on Tuesday because I'm doing a uh, night train. Oh, right. Uh, For CISO? No. Oh, just a live one? They're doing like a holiday. Oh, you're doing your mime thing in that, yeah. right? Yeah. Cool. You never know what's going to end up on CISO, no. Are you going to go see these? Ooh. You're the one that has the seat. <coughs> it's true. Totoro. You should see it. I'm looking. Uh, wait, can you test for me? Test, test, test. Test, test, test. I think you're good. Um. You can go see Raiders of the Lost Ark tonight. Um. I don't see, I don't see it on... I think someone sent us a link uh, to our day about it. Uh-huh. I don't uh, see it on their schedule. I al- it's funny. I already am getting... I already am getting a little bit like... Um, now, with it being already the 12th of December... I'm already getting a little bit like, oh, no, it's almost over. Yeah. Like, I'm glad we're getting a chance to, like, walk around and see some of the way the city looks. Because I don't always get a chance to do that. Yeah. And sometimes it's like the lights go up, and then before I know it, they're down. And it's January. Yeah. And to me, like, looking at this park up here, there's no reason for them to take this down in January. Or ever. Yeah, that's true. It looks so nice. Like, look how fucking magical that is. Yeah. Have you ever seen the uh, trees at Town uh, on the Green? Uh, yeah, not for a while. Those are nice. Seen them before. All right, I'm going to get a slice of pizza here. I'll walk in. All right, uh, just one plain slice, please. Thank you. How much? There you go. Right, thank you. Can't you get an orange steward? Um Walk yeah, I'll walk. Um, I've really, uh, you know, for a while, I joined Gethard on the soda 
connoisseurship, but then it was too much soda for me, so uh-huh. I died down. Mm-hmm. But I found that I really, what, even though it's not fancy and whatnot, the soda I really enjoy is just Stewart's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's one I really like out of St. Louis called Fitz's. Yeah. And they have a good orange, a good Fitz's. cream, and a good root beer. Yeah. We have seamlessly transitioned from the East Village to the West Village. Yeah, which is a little lower key. Fewer Santas over here. This is a little bit of a uh, little more upscale. Yes. Let's walk down that road. Oh, yeah. I just tried to drink from my microphone. Yeah. That's fun. Nice to it. We might run into Holly Hunter around here. Why is that? I believe she lives in the West Village somewhere. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of celebrities living in the West Village. Why did you choose Holly Hunter? Um, I don't know. She's one of our greatest actors. And she's someone that I've just heard people singing. I'm like... All along, I've heard people say, like, oh, yeah, I've seen her, like, walking her dog or something, you know? like Right. I think she's, like, a cool celebrity. Right. That people get excited about and probably don't hassle too much. I oh, got, hopefully. I got to spend time in Boz Lerman's house in this part of the town. Is it nicely decorated or is it a shithole? It's nice. It's like a... Of course it would be nicely mansion. decorated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, like, imagine him having, like, a Blues Brothers photo on a, on a wall in a, cheap, in a cheap frame. Yeah, exactly. Like a, a, a knockoff Serpico poster. Uh-huh. And a futon. An Ikea bendy light that's, like, got scuffs on it. See, these... If you had a, a place that's like this, where it's just, like, you mm-hmm. own the entire building and it's, like, a house. Yeah. Imagine owning a place like that. Uh-huh. I can't imagine I ever will own a house. These are the... This feels very New York. Mm-hmm. Some copyright violations right here. No. This establishment has painted a... A Charlie Brown and a Spider-Man. Yeah, at, well, this is not... This is Charlie Brown, fittingly, doing his uh, impression of uh, Joe Torre. <laughs> It is weird how one window was Spider-Man and Charlie Brown, and the other window is an elf and a snowman eating a burger. Now we have a, a Grinch and Jack Skellington. So it just seems like they go... So at least... Um, Disney, Disney has a claim on two of those. And then uh, the other window is... Uh, the, the abominable snowman from yeah. uh, Rudolph. Phew.
Um, but there was um, when we were talking about copyright earlier, and now it's sparked in my mind because of uh, those infringements. Those infringements, which feel like. Like, I know there have been times when, like, Disney has cracked down on... There have been those stories about, like, a preschool that has a mural that has, like, Disney characters on it. Right. And they'll come in and they'll make them take it down. And those always seem like big mistakes to me. Those always seem like uh, PR disasters. People remember them decades later. They're like, you did this. And it's one of those things that it's like... uh, this was, this was a topic that I've often been kind of fascinated by in recent years. And uh, <clears throat> have you seen any of Adam Conover's Adam Ruins Everything show? I haven't watched I haven't been able to catch any of the episodes, but I've seen clip, all the clips online. Yeah. Um, he had one recently that was about copyright and how Disney keeps, like, uh, keeps extending copyright right. in order to keep from losing Mickey Mouse, which you can, right. you can understand it would be a complete nightmare... To lose Mickey Mouse. Right. I was speaking of which. Um, Funny. The what? Nothing. We just happened by Cherry Lane. Oh, just now? Yeah. I think the show just got out. You just got out? Yeah. What are we going to do about it? No, I'm just going to wait to see. Uh, All right. We were texting early. Um, but it is a weird thing to think of how people are how one group can be so litigious in defending their copyright against violators, but also actively bending it to keep it longer than they should have it. Right. Mm. There's that thing, you know, there's that big Bob Dylan box set that just got released that is like 18 discs, and it's everything he recorded in 1965 and 66, every note that he recorded in the studio. Right. Every false start, every rehearsal. And... The reason it exists is because of a European copyright law that went into effect a couple of years ago, which basically made it that if you, like the thing you're talking about where you could lose something if you don't, right. if you don't use the thing you own, they're basically now at the point where it's 2015, so anything that is 50 years old. Look at this house. It's just like, sort of like a house. Yeah. But you're saying anything that's 50 years old. Like recordings are 50 years old. If you haven't, if you release them, you keep the, you renew the copyright on them. But if right. you hold on to them, then anyone can release them. So it's kind of like the Beatles and Dylan have been releasing these very, very limited edition, just perfunctory releases where it'll be like the Beatles, right. all their recordings from 1964, right, and, or 63 or whatever, and like they'll put out like 25 CDs of it. And it's all stuff that gets bootlegged. They just want to prevent small record labels from, like, putting out, like, the complete Beatles and everybody having it, you know? Right, right, right. Like, you know, you'll see things where it's, like, Johnny Cash compilations from the 50s of, like, ev- by every different yeah. gas station label, they all have the access to the same stuff. I right. think it's, it's that kind of thing that they want to prevent watering down these very valuable brands. <laughs> right. By having everybody suddenly be able to re- release them widely. Like, some of it's maybe not even stuff that they're very proud of. Right. So they want to kind of keep it from being like, you can buy these anywhere. Um, 
it's a very interesting time in terms of uh, the way artist, art is owned and the way that artists can make money or not make money from things. Right. Mm. Yeah, the whole thing's very... I don't know, the whole thing's very bizarre to me. Feels like everything's still in flux and has been for over a decade. Exactly. Mm. Like, they have those things now. Have you ever been to Hudson Diner? I have not. I've been here, though. What's next? Uh, Oscars. Oscars place. Looks pretty good. Both places look pretty good to me. But he was good. You know what? It is. Um, it's muy good. Are yeah. we, how far are we from the water here? Not far at all. Let's go over to the water. <laughs> it's also a rare time of December where people walk the water not having to be Freezing? definitely cold. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, uh, I saw the Peanuts movie. Oh, you did? Yeah. How was it? I really liked it, and I really, I saw it with Keith and Rob on the day we filmed most of The Spirit of Ratliff, and, uh, if I was, if someone was, like, asking me for a pull quote, and I wanted to give, like, the most accurate pull quote of, like, how I felt about it, that would be useful to them. Right. I would say Charles Schultz would be really proud of this movie because I liked it, but I think more than that, I was like, that's what I felt was like, even the right. aspects of it that I wasn't 100% on board for, I, I know that like Charles Schultz would be like, hot damn, this is, a, this is just what I wanted to happen with Peanuts. Right. Because um, it was funny and without feeling like they were... Like, the thing we were talking about of trying to square that circle of, like, Muppets existing now. Is it worth it? How? What's new about it? What's this? Right. And I felt like they did a really good job visually of keeping... <coughs> recreating a two-dimensional world, like, in a three-dimensional kind of way. Right. And a lot of the stuff that was kind of, like, proscenium, like, re recreating the, the feel of the strip, uh, they did really well... While not not feeling like they were being, uh, so you think it actually did a pretty good job of yeah. I think it. I think it captured the tone, and I think like in the there was a joke in the uh, trailer, in, no, in the TV commercials, that at first I had my like knee jerk kind of recoiling from, which was uh, Charlie Brown saying, "Is there an emoji for good grief?" Oh no. And yeah, I had the same reaction at first. But then I was like, you know what? He always did that. Like, right. there's no way that if Schultz had lived another 15 years and done 15 years more peanut strips. That would have been a joke. He would have done so many Twitter and Facebook right. jokes that you wouldn't have been able to believe it. Right. Except by the end, it would have been like, I tweeted that my legs were tired. So Doctor. don't answer the phone, mom. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> just like huh, a three, a, a three quarter. <laughs> I like the idea of a, a peanut sketch like that. Uh -huh. The last panel is just like a very detailed, lifelike three quarter sketch of Linus. Uh huh. <laughs> like just like a hyper real. Yeah. Just like oh, a grot grotesquely detailed. Yeah. Um, it's. No, but 
I felt like, and then sometimes that was a criticism of the script, that he would do, like, Flash Beagle in the 80s or whatever. Right. He would be very quick to sometimes jump on a modern thing and not really necessarily understand it, but just be like, oh, Peanuts has got to keep up. Right. Um, but I think the only criticism that I would have of it is kind of a minor one, which is that the Red Baron sequences, there's a lot of them, and... They're not as necessary as... Like, it kind of felt to me almost like they felt like they had to have a couple of sequences like that to really bust it out and show off the way uh, it's also a CGI animation movie in 2015. And I kind of felt like they were doing such a good job with... uh, They were doing such a good job with the uh, 2D stuff. Right. They were doing such a good job of being true to the spirit of the strip that uh, it felt like when they went to those sequences a little bit like oh you didn't need to do this yeah. it's kind of like this could be in pretty much any any movie whereas the other ones felt distinctly like this feels like Schultz yeah um, and true to the strip but also I think uh, Village Voice film editor uh, Alan Schurstel texted me and he was like when he was writing his review he just wanted to like double check something with me as like a peanuts right aficionado yeah and he was like fill me in on this like he was wanting me to confirm like in the strip did he did charlie brown ever have like big victories ever and i was like well a couple of times in the uh a couple of times in the 90s a couple of times in the 90s, they did a couple of things that were kind of like, he hit a home run and, and they won a baseball game. Right. Or uh, they, he would have like a girl who liked him or something, you know? Right. Hold on. Um, Tide seems high, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, and they would have these things happen, but they were, and he was like, yeah, but did they ever... Like the whole Peanuts gang lift them on her, his shoulders, their shoulders, and be like, "Hooray right. for Charlie Brown!" Sort of. And I was like, maybe once or twice, if I can remember. There might have been one time when it happened, yeah. but generally that happened in the specials in the movies a lot more than it ever happened in the strips. Yes, and I think that's very true. And so, as a result, yeah, the water level is very high. Mm, yeah. Normally, it's not. Feels like high. a weird optical illusion. Like it, from looking out of there, it should be right where we're at. Yeah, but it's much higher than normal. Yeah. So nice. Um, although I was I was recalling, do you remember a, there was a Charlie Brown animated special? I don't know whether you ever would have seen it, where he's in a decathlon and like some sort of like. Yes. And um, it, and it it was called. Uh, Wasn't it something weird like take the gold Charlie Brown or some shit like that? It, it might have been. Go for gold Charlie Brown? Yeah, and it, it was a, it had a sequence that was not adapted from a strip, but it was maybe, I could be wrong about this, but I think maybe one of the most like authentically devastating uh, peanut stories in the way it captured the kind of like self-inflicted failure that a character can have. What was that? It's that Charlie Brown in the race at the end, he's in this running this race and he starts winning 
and everyone's you're like, the greatest Charlie Brown. You're the greatest Charlie Brown. He starts winning, and he gets so excited about winning yes, that he yes. closes his eyes and he misses the last turn and just keeps running. He runs off of the track and into the woods, and everyone's like, "What?" They're like, right. "Charlie Brown, what a loser!" Right. And watching it as a kid, you really did feel just like so devastated because it's his fault. It, like it was just like right. Kind of hubris on his part. It's the only time he's ever indulged. Yeah. And it was the thing that destroyed him. Yeah, like he didn't know how. Let's walk out down there. Feeling that good was such a intoxicating and unfamiliar feeling that he couldn't handle it. It led to his downfall. Yeah. And for once, like you couldn't blame, you couldn't really blame the mean girls or anybody else for. Uh, his failure. It was like, no, this is all on you, Charlie right. Brown. This is why they hate you, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Almost anything is uh, funny if you put Charlie Brown after it. Yeah. Uh... Someone's smoking marijuana around here? That's right? Yes. Yeah. 100%. You can tell? Normally I can't smell it. So it must be pretty intense, right? Yeah. It's. Uh... Where do you think it's coming from? Quit smoking weed, Charlie Brown. It's called dope for a reason, Charlie Brown. Yeah. Do you ever take a water taxi? Uh, I've taken the uh, East River Ferry. Oh, yeah? A bunch, yeah. But never a New York water taxi. I don't think so. Because I don't think it, needs, it goes anywhere that's convenient for me. Because yeah. it goes to New Jersey, right? I think so. Uh, maybe we go around to the other side, maybe? Do you have anything that does that? Just goes around to the other side, take you over to the east that side? That might be what it does. But the East River Ferry goes from Long Island City yeah. to uh, down like Southport, around there. Yeah. And to Brooklyn, which is convenient. Yeah. Ooh, Skyline is so nice. The Jersey Skyline is always really just beautiful at night. Yeah, the only bummer is that to me, there's less magic because it's all just office buildings. Yeah. And over when you're over there, it's just like, oh, that's what it looks like over there, too. It's just like concrete and nothing. Right. Whereas what I like about the New York skyline is that you see all these ages of buildings and types of buildings. Oh, it's definitely better, but... Every building has a weird story. Like, even just, like, looking at the, um, like, Wall Street side of Manhattan, like yeah. that financial district. Yeah. Just like the... There's the building that has no windows on it. That's the, you know, the whatever right. Verizon building. The One of those buildings is where my sister lives. One of those buildings there. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, one of those buildings where the Tice family used to live. Oh, you, you can, it's clear enough that we can see Statue of Liberty very clearly. Oh, that's nice. Are those glasses functional? Yeah. I didn't know that. Hey, these are my actual glasses. I rarely wear them. I only really use them as Lucas, but I might as well keep them on now since my hair is gray. Right. I sprayed my hair gray for the show. Yeah. Uh, just make, make note, make record of that. Make a record, listeners. I hope you're taking notes. Um, How far do you think that uh, big tanker has traveled? Do you think it's been to other continents? Oh, I don't know. I got no idea where a thing like that would go. Like, if you gave me control and said, take it where you think it goes next, I'd be completely bluffing. <laughs> Imagine that scenario. Oh, that's a nightmare. Uh, you being put at the helm, at the helm of, of a giant take tanker. It where you take it where you think it is. You know, I would be like, 
Staten Island? Yeah. Well, the, the other crazy thing, too, is out, like, that way. Yeah. It's just, like, this water leads to Japan if you want it to. That's insane. Hmm. We're walking to the edge of the pier here. Like, we could put we could put a stick in the water, mm -hmm. and if the currents are just right, at a certain point, it could end up in Australia. Yeah. It's just water and magic. Well, look at that boat, how dark and giant looming it is. And how massive it is and how that thing floats on water. Yeah. Let me take a look. Hold on. Oh, and they're communicating now. You're not gonna get any. Oh, you got some nice exposure, actually. No, it did. It didn't in the video. Something happens where it, the photo. I can get a good photo of it. Hey, uh, do you see that apartment building right there? That the windows are lit up in a pattern that almost looks like a smiley face. Uh huh. You don't see that. With the green triangular roof on it. Yeah, okay. So it's kind the, of a oh, crooked The smile. oil tanker's about to run into it. Yeah. And the certain one, those windows in the middle look like it almost forms a smiley face. You're Anywho. Hmm. Right. <laughs> Whenever I walk away from you, your signal fades, I apologize. Does it? Yeah. Oh, there's another one. I almost didn't even notice it. This one's even bigger. I'm just tweeting a photo of the boat with no explanation at all. Look at this one. Ooh, it, this is like the monster chasing it. Um, John Henry says he's having a stressful day elfing. Can the new 12-hour J.D. Connor include a section that's you two whispering calm words of assurance? Yeah, we can absolutely do that. You're, I'm not being recording. I thought I was being quiet because you wanted this phone call on the podcast. JD's on the phone right now, so I'm going to walk. Well, I can't walk too far. My signal will fade. Um, JD's having a business call right now. I'm standing. I'm looking at the Freedom Tower. I'm looking at some barges and boats and the Statue of Liberty. And a bright light in the sky. People are walking yeah, their dogs around the uh, 
Yeah. Around the pier here. And it's a pretty nice atmosphere, I gotta say. Pretty nice atmosphere. A little magical. I mean, it's a little warm for a December night, and I'm not crazy about that, but it's not hot, at least. It's brisk. Mm. I think everything's pretty good out here. I like it. Uh, I'm going to sit I mean, on this no, little no, thing you, that's on the... Cloud cover up above. That's nice. <clears throat> I'm gonna feed out. If anyone has any questions, and if anyone does, I'll answer them. Um, any questions? I'll tweet this out and I'll answer the questions immediately. See how long it takes to get a question once I tweet that. How many followers does the 12-hour Twitter have? It has 402. That's healthy. I'm going to retweet it from my uh, personal account. Maybe up the number of questions slightly, hopefully. Do your hometowns have anything particularly special, unique about them during the holidays? Uh, well, I can't speak for JD, but Jefferson City, we have a thing called Christmas Card Lane, which is a street where when you go up and down it, um, almost all of the houses, and they tend to be older houses, like houses from the 1950s, <coughs> and uh, the... Uh, they all have like oversized, like giant displays that are Christmas cards, personalized, like Christmas cards that are um, for the, um, they'll be like, you know, season's greetings from the Thompson family or something. And the deal is you live on the street that like people drive down it slow. And there's no other reason to drive down the street other than you live there. Like, it's not a, it's not a, doesn't lead to anything else. It's not like a shortcut to any way. And it's very nice. And every year we drive down it. Um, let me see what other questions. Um, top five albums of 2015 or movies, if you don't want to talk about music. Well, my list is probably going to be a little bit sad in some ways because I think it's going to be a little bit limited. I'll say uh, I really liked Sufjan Stevens' uh, album. I think it's great. And I, he's, not, he's not someone that I've listened to a lot. I've listened to a lot of his Christmas music, and I've heard some of his stuff, but I'm kind of, like, sort of discovering him backwards. He's someone that I have friends who are really into all of his stuff. But I think this album is great. Carrie and Lowell is a great album. Um, 
I like Madonna's album a lot. I don't see that making a lot of critics list at the end of the year. And I've heard complaints that it's, it's as an album, that there's too much of it. I'd say, my argument would be, I think at least half of that album is as good as anything she's ever done. Uh, and I really like it. Um, let me think what else. Um, I'm enjoying the six-disc Dylan uh, box set. I'm looking forward to the Bruce Springsteen Ties That Bind box set, which I'll hear at some point. Um, what else came out this year? I mean, I have to admit, when I look at the critics list now, I find the years go by faster, and I seem to be missing more things that at the end of the year, I'm like, what are these albums? I don't know. Um, let me look and see. Um, I'm going to look and see what uh, what the top albums are on Metacritic. Um, I mean, there's probably ones that I just really, really don't... Um, haven't been familiarized with. I like what I heard of the Slater Kinney album, but I, I haven't heard much of it. I, ha I don't know what I've heard of Kendrick Lamar's album. I probably heard some of it without realizing it. But I hear great yeah, things about that. Oh, I feel like I know so little now. Yeah, when I look at these, like I just don't know. I just don't know. Mm. I like Bjork's album. Bjork's album of Only Cura. Um, what else? I'm just scanning and scanning and there's just so many things I haven't heard um, I'm past the point where it's possible to keep up with new music and I, I'm not I liked it but I don't yet I haven't heard it enough to really have a strong feeling about one way or the other um, oh Shadows in the Night was this year seems like that wasn't this year but I love Shadows in the Night the Dylan album where he sings the old Sinatra songs um, I really think that's a fun record. Um, top five movies, it's hard to even say. I don't know. I feel like I don't I forget movies as soon as I see them sometimes. Um, where can I buy the signature JD sweater? Oh, I don't know. I'm sure a bunch of people would cosplay as JD and Connor next Comic Con. Uh, I don't know where he got that. Um, yeah. Hopes for 2016. Is Christmas overrated, Zach Hodes asked. Is Christmas overrated? Possibly. Uh, I don't think so. Um, but, that, but then I just wrote a song called Christmas is the Best that makes a pretty persuasive argument. It's my favorite time of the year. Um, and this is despite the fact that, like, a couple of years ago, it was sort of the worst time of the year when bad things were happening. That didn't even... It just made me appreciate last year and this year more. Uh, so, I mean, so if you don't like it, then it's definitely overrated. You know, if you don't like it. But for my taste, I couldn't rate it highly enough. But I know people who really don't like the cold, who really don't like Christmas music, who really don't like anything about it. And if you don't like it, then there's, you know, there's nothing to, there's nothing to, no reason to persuade someone to like something like that. Uh, it's just, you know, hopefully you like some other time of the year. You know, I'm not wild about summer. I think summer is pulp or no pulp and orange juice. Um, I've kind of stopped drinking orange juice. I used to drink orange juice 
all the time. And I think I thought it was healthy. Like, I thought it was a healthy alternative to soda. And then my friend Jeff Falzone's dad, I think it was him, uh, Dr. John Falzone, he's a urologist. But we were having a conversation at one point, and he just said something very simple to me that hadn't really occurred to me. This was a few years ago. And he was like, we, not, we aren't supposed to have this much juice. Like... We have it because we have easy access to big cartons of it, but it wasn't made, like oranges aren't made so that it's real easy to get a quart of orange juice. It's kind of difficult to get, if you have oranges, you probably eat the oranges and you get, uh, you get something out of the, the, the eating of the whole fruit that you don't get when you're drinking tons of the juice, but you're getting a lot more sugar than you and there's something about that that made sense to me. What's my opinion on the results of the New Zealand flag re- referendum? This is Robbie McKinney asking this. I'm, uh, I was going to say I'm ashamed to say that I have no idea what that is, but I'm not ashamed to say that. That's just the truth. There's probably stuff that I know that you don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe I should know that. Maybe I should be up to speed on that. But it's hard now with information and knowledge. It's hard to keep up. And I do feel like I'm sometimes at a deficit for uh, knowledge in situations. Uh, especially, you know, international news is a, is a weak spot. Unless there's some huge catastrophe happening, uh, it feels to me like uh, it's hard to keep up without really actively seeking it out, which I don't have time to do. Do you guys personally practice any unorthodox holiday traditions? Um... I don't really wrap presents. I don't mind gift wrap from other people, but I just don't do it. I have a tendency to, when, when I give presents, to wrap them in like a clean sh- shirt that I own and then take the shirt back when I'm done. Uh, I used to like just get a bunch of clean pillowcases from the closet and put presents in those pillowcases and put them under the tree. Uh, like right before it was time to open presents, I would just, they're just really, all of a sudden these like big Sorry. pillowcases. I'm back. That's welcome back, JD. We're just answering questions on the Twitter. Oh, what are they? Someone wants to know. Um, uh, Wait, I want to get audio of this water. Pretty good water noises. Great water noises. Um, Anna Maria wants to know if our hometowns have anything particularly special, or unique about them during the holidays. Um, so we have, I'm sure, like every town. Maybe it would be funny if you just described this, mm-hmm. and I'm just trying the same thing. We had a Christmas tree lighting ceremony. No, I didn't say that. Where at the uh, uh, mayor's office of the town, or the city hall, or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. which is like very small, they had this big sort of pine pine type tree outside, uh-huh. and they'd wrap that all with lights, and that was the quote unquote Christmas tree. Uh-huh. And so they'd have like you know. Uh, local marching band play and some carolers and like stuff like that and then all the kids we would all gather like all the kids would come and play under the tree and like so it was a big tree so you could like the kind of tree you could get under the branches you know and there's a little like sort of room inside it yeah so we'd all play like tag and stuff like that inside the tree yeah and then it would count down they'd light it and that was the big that's fun and there was also a competition where they would hand out these uh like line drawings and you had to color them in mm-hmm. and then it was a big it was a big contest of like which kid won the best drawing 
best uh-huh. coloring job. Yeah. And it was, you know, the, uh, the different store. Yours would get, they'd get put on all the different stores. So you'd be like, you'd learn that yours was on. Oh, oh that's ours fun. Is, ours is on the window at CJ Arthur's. You'd go over there and see you'd it. See and then, it. Oh, cool. And then on that day, the award for who did it best uh-huh. was there. Yeah. I think I did. I, I won one year or came, or I came in the second tier or whatever. The ones that won were always like the like weirdo kids that put like glitter and cotton balls and all this stuff. It was like, okay, you're just going for the flash. Um, you're not. You're going for the high concept. That's not true. Everyone, true art. This would be a great time if you're listening for everyone to tweet at JD. Congratulations. <laughs> no, wait, why? Because you came in second. That's pretty good. Yeah, but I, I just tweet. Win. Congratulations, JD. Uh, tweet. I'm sure. <laughs> You, what you should all do is go to the Wilmet. I bet nowadays they have like online voting for that or something. Sure. Go to the Wilmet City Hall website and see if there's what happened to the Santa coloring contest. I just think it'd be funny that some people might notice you're getting a lot of congratulations tweets. Yeah, and they're like, "What for?" And they'll be like, "For a." Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Twenty-two years ago, I uh, came in second in a uh, coloring contest in my hometown. Yeah. Um. So then, okay, so then there's another one. Top five albums or movies, if you don't want to talk about music, of 2015. Top, top, uh, I struggled with this one as well, in part just because I was like... I would, my favorite album was... I don't even know if it was last year, though. I think, it, in fact, it was not. No, it was not, so I can't even... Yeah, that's how it feels for me, where it's kind of like, wait... Uh, or maybe it was... Uh, Kishibashi's uh, what was it called? Uh, Philosophize it? Was that the album or just the song? I don't know. I don't know. It's a great album. His one, his latest I um, Where can uh, someone buy the signature JD sweater uh, in case one people want to do JD and Connor cosplay at next Comic Con? Did you ever see that there's a whole interaction. So there's a bit on my, that maybe you even started, on my pro, Facebook profile picture from years back. Mm-hmm. I don't think I did start this. What's that? Whatever this is, I don't think I did start it. I don't know. But anyways, it was me in the sweater, and then it was like, everyone would comment on the sweater, then I'd respond, thank you back to them, mm-hmm. something. Um, and then <laughs> Adam Conover responded on the sweater about like, where does where does one buy that sweater? Uh-huh. Where does one purchase a sweater like this? And it was a sweater handed down to me by, by my grandfather. So, and like I have photos of him wearing like the eighties. You know yeah. I mean? So I responded back and I was like, well, actually, it was given to me by, gra- by my grandfather. So, uh-huh. and then he responded back with like, well, surely your grandfather didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Surely there's a store that he bought it from. What is that store? And I was like, in a way that was very, <laughs> very Adam. Yeah. And then I immediately was like, got angry and I was like, went on the defense. It's like, it's like, well, it's from Neiman Marcus according to the tag, but like, but there's this foot. Like, I went to the whole thing. Yeah. And then people stopped responding on that thread because I think they, they t- noticed the tenor of my response was like, you know what? Don't question the thing, okay? All right. This is just my thing, so don't. Right. 
Uh, Adam, so Adam ruins sweaters. Oh, I'm going down to Rock Bar. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but, uh, so that sweater is from Neiman Marcus, and then the cardigan that I have is from uh, Brooks Brothers. But the Neiman Marcus thing, it's like from like the 80s or whatever, so I guarantee you it'd be very difficult to find. Yeah. And the Brooks Brothers thing, I think it still exists, but it, they, they definitely stopped selling it, so you have to buy it second market somewhere. Because mm. I don't think anyone wanted that, except for me. Yeah. Um, hopes for 2016? Um, sell a feature. Sell a TV show. Uh... New seasons of the shows that I'm already doing. I'm gonna go to the store. Uh, I have some personal social goals mm -hmm. that I don't want to get into. Uh, and. I want to uh, have a magic or a, uh, a show that I'm working on with magicians that I'd like to put up. Uh-huh. A live show? Yeah. Ooh, great. Oh, also, I have a show that I want to write for you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's interesting. A magic I, show? No. A non-magical show. It's a two... It's a... It's a quote-unquote two-man show, mm -hmm. but it's entirely you performing, and I'm just doing all of the ancillary stagecraft things. Uh -huh. So it's like you perform all of the parts, and it's like sort of a one-man show in that regard. Yeah. Except I have like lights attached to me and like music cues and all the stuff that I'm doing live while it's happening. Well, that's great. How long a show is this? Not that long. Oh, this is where I get all my handcuffs for all my bits. Oh, yeah? The Leatherman, yeah. Yeah. Um, for all my mind bits, and they're very kind to me there. Are they familiar with what you use them for? Uh, yeah, somewhat. Depends who's there. Because I have to get, like, a couple pairs a year, usually. Uh-huh. Because I'll, like, lose some or break some or something. Yeah. And I come in... I like they're very non-judgmental, obviously. Oh, of course, they have so, to be. So I just come in. It's all. It's a leather. Leatherman don't judge. Like bondage and mostly like gay male sex shop. Yeah. Where they also tailor like leather bondage suits and things like uh -huh. that. So I'll come in and it'll be like all these like gruff-looking dudes that are like, "How can we help you?" And I'm always like, "Looking for handcuffs," and then. I was like, okay, great, great, great. So what are, what are you what are you looking for? And I'm like, I need them to look like real handcuffs and be strong enough to actually not break and, like, s subdue a human. Uh -huh. And they're like, great, we have just what you need. Do you want <laughs> high end, low end? Low. They give me the range of them. I what do you want, high end or low end? I usually want in the middle. I just want something that won't break and looks good. Right. I don't need it to be, like, fancy, though. Uh-huh. Because they have some that are, like, $500 and, like, yeah, you know, have, like, engraving and all this stuff that's, like, more for, like, people who want, like, high-end yeah. sexual 
fantasy things. Yeah. Or sexual reality. Uh, um. Oh, here's a, here's a, f- a few new ones have come in. I have no one in particular right now. Okay. Are we meeting anyone? No. We're not? No. Well, let's... How about this? Let's start heading sort of uptown. Towards Chelsea? Yeah, I think so. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um... Because what's the scenario we can go backstage to Chelsea? Sure, yeah. Like in, like, the back hallway? Yeah. Um... Although, you know what? I wouldn't mind taking a trip up around, like, Central Parkway or something. Okay. Like, maybe, like, around Rock Center, even, like, a Christmassy area. Yeah, Would that be that. awful? Uh, let me check where our battery's at. Yeah. Oh, if we, in case we need to plug it in? Yeah. Um, if you had 12 days in New York for Christmas, New Year's, what would you do? Well, I don't know what that means exactly. With two bars. Uh, least favorite just, Christmas song. Let's just go for it and see what happens. We okay. might run out of battery, but I'll be able to hear if we do. Okay. And we head down to Chelsea if that happens. Yeah. Um. So do you want to take the train? Yeah. Um. Is asking what... How do we get to Rock Center from here? Want and walk, or... You want to walk, maybe? Uh, where, what do you, where do you think Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is you stands on the list of great Christmas songs? Uh, no opinion. Uh, I would say... Probably... It's probably top five. Uh... Now, in terms of just, like, what's considered the classic ones? Yeah, I would say so. What would beat it? Well, actually, probably top ten. So, it's pro- so Silent Night, Jingle Bells, Rudolph, Spinning uh, Blue All Like Christmas, uh, Jingle Bell Rock. Mm-hmm. I would say it's top ten. Top ten for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it would be in my... Uh, anywhere close to my top ten in personal preference, but in terms of where it is in the in the pantheon, yes. yeah, I know that's what you're talking about. In the, in the pantheon, it's certainly in the past few decades one of the few new songs to really stick in that way. Yes, which I think is not an easy task. Yeah. Hey, you know what we need to do? What? Count the subway cars. Oh yeah, you're right. Let's try here. No, I want to ask, were you on a one before? What's that? What train did we take before? Uh, uh, we took an F. Yeah, different kettle of fish. No, 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 no. Uh, listeners, if you can't tell, that was exactly ten cars. Ten cars. That's not going to be different. 
be like an optical illusion, like a magic eye, though. But where? where it goes by so quickly that you count cars twice. Yeah. Like it's a little blurry. Um, Ten cars exactly. Um, you even con you convinced me to move it down to eight. That's how adamant. Yeah, you, you thought it was ten, but you bet it was eight. Yeah. Um. So it's so it's a uh, thousand people per car, roughly per train. Yeah. Um, on a on a ten train car, I don't think all of them are ten trains because some of Connor. no because some of them have longer cars than others. There's some train lines that have longer cars, like the, the ones that um, like how the A has fewer cars than a than an E does. I think all subway car all subway trains have ten cars. Then how do you explain the ones where like the A stops at Forty Second Street and it's way way down the platform compared to an E? Those are short tracks. They're on the same track. I don't know. Do you think there are some train cars that, like, the G doesn't have 10, does it? No, the G is short. The G has, like, five. Yeah. Um, but that, but the G is short of the platform. I think the platform width is 10. Yeah. May I have your attention, please? 1,433 tons of trash removed from our subway's tracks in 2013. Debris on the tracks caused 614 just trivia about trash in the subway. It looks like someone dropped something in the tracks. There's a plane just what that MTA worker is doing. What if this one's just one long car? <laughs> yeah. With a, with a thousand people in it? Yeah. Did you read that article in the Atlantic about the MTA? Uh, about how why there's no countdown box? Yeah. Like on a long bus? Yeah. But it's actually worse. Uh-huh. Because that way uh, spills and smells and things like that mm -hmm. are... Uh, train train lines? Yeah, are train lines as opposed to being uh, relegated to whatever one car that they're in. Yeah. That that was interesting. Um, when... One thing I, I would like to... What's our battery situation? I think we're fine. All right. Um, I mean, I'll know, I'll know if it goes out. Okay. But I think we're less stressed about that now. Yeah. Uh, now, if we wind up in a Chelsea situation, uh, uh, said I couldn't do that show at midnight because I knew I'd be too tired after doing this oh, all day. So you don't want to, you don't want to go there. I see. Only that can I just want to brace it for. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. I mean, it's still, I still, even after reading that article, I still kind of don't buy the way that 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 it was impossible to have countdown clocks. Yes. Sooner than now. Yes. It seems like they tied it to other things in ways that made it not happen. I feel like you could like solve the problem with like a 
contest where you had a prize to solve it would would solve it. You know what I mean? Like if they yeah. if they literally were like ten thousand dollar prize to anyone who figures out how to get content clocks to work. Yeah. The same way that Netflix solved their algorithm problem. Right. Even if it just told you how many stops away mm-hmm. the train was. In fact, that would probably be better. Yeah. Is if it was just like three stops away, two stops away, one stop away. You know what I mean? Yeah. But even the fact that there are some trains that they don't have any way of tracking, that even they yeah. don't have a way of tracking, seems absurd to me. Mm. Yeah, it is. But it's also. Uh, no, never mind. I was going to say that's like part of the problem of having a service that can never be down, uh, but it's always down. Yeah. Um, and they can always swap trains out, etc. It is the problem with, I mean, as much as I've complained about the MTA, when I lived in London, they had countdown clocks, but also the subway stopped running at like one in the morning. Right. And so... That was a that was a problem. Like if you got to if you were in a play and it got out at eleven something and you wanted to go out with people afterwards, you'd have to be like I remember when I, when my family came to see me in a play in London. Right. It was like eleven thirty at night and it's like, well we can't go out really because we gotta start thinking about getting to the train because otherwise we're gonna have to take a really expensive taxi ride right. to get home. Um I don't think I think it's 24 hours now, but like that was always like a an aspect of well, at least the subways do run 24 hours in New York, and this, you know, it's not always convenient late at night, but it's convenient that it runs late at night. Right. Um, do you want to do Rock Center or Tower on the Green? Whatever you think. What's the Tower on the Green? Tower on the Green might be less crowded site, right? Yeah. And did we do Rock Center last time, or did we lose that all? lost all of it. That doesn't matter. Yeah, we can do Tower on the Green and like walk around like uh, Lincoln Center area. Is the open? For the Charlie Brown windows? No, or take off oh, the, the mattress shop? Walk our way down. Well, if we go up at 34th, we'll be literally at Macy's. Where's Tower on the Green at? Uh, that's at like 65th or something like that. We have to have a Columbus Circle and walk a couple blocks. Oh. Uh, also, though, I don't have a lob this time. So what? Oh, right. When we go to the Macy's people, yeah. they'd be more like, what is happening? Yeah. It closed at 11. Uh, yeah, let's go to Tavern on the Green, walk around Lincoln Center. Yeah. Walk our way down. I like that part of town a little bit, though. I do, too. <clears throat> mm. We can recharge at m and Really? If we need to. Is that true? We can get in there? It's a public facility. Will be open there? Saturday? Maybe not Saturday. Starbucks or something. Ew. 
Uh, yeah, I bet we can find it out then. There's hotels around us like that. We can just act like tourists. Um. Do you remember us talking about Trump in an early podcast? No, someone tweeted that, though. Yeah. All right, I remember briefly of us just saying that it was infuriating because he's... He's so obnoxious, but he's gained this fandom of people that are just like, yeah, yeah, let's go Trump. Yeah, I think that's sort of what we were saying back then, which is. But that would have been like way before he was running for president, actively, right? Yes, way before. Ask for questions? Yeah. I don't want a lot for Christmas. Something, 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 something. Christmas, 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 Christmas. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's kind of like. I've already got that feeling of like. Uh, I haven't really list, spent a lot of time listening to. All the all the various Christmas music that I normally yeah. like to listen to, and the time just goes so quickly. You know, I do find December is a month that moves very fast for me. Yeah, that's true. Um, like the fact that I'll be going to Missouri on the nineteenth. That's good. I get I'll get like a solid five day five full yeah. days of. of Christmas in Missouri, but it also means like shaves that time off of my time in New York, which I really do enjoy how Christmassy things are around here. Yeah. Uh, um, Should we record private time again? Yeah, and just use it for the next episode? Or just. Oh, uh, your egg. Yeah. Yeah. Or we should bank yeah. some. Yeah, some family. Yeah, I also like documenting family conversations. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, Myel is doing a video for uh, all, uh, No One Wants a Pizza on Christmas Day. And... I just wanted to, I figured for that song, that's my favorite, that's my favorite one on the EP. Right. And I thought, oh, that one could really, it's short, that if you did a really good video for it, like a cute, fun video for it. Yeah. I think that could be the type of thing that people really latch on to. Right. Because that is the one song of all the songs that I'm like, I can imagine other people covering that song. Yeah. And uh, the two times we've done it live, it goes over really well because you just play it the more sincerely you play it, the more, like, yeah, that song works. But, so, back in November, like, early, late October, early November, I was like, Mael, would you want to do a video for this song? She's like, oh, absolutely, but I won't have any time until, like, mid-November. Like, no problem, that's still plenty of time. And then I didn't hear from her for a while, and then I got to that point, I'm like, at any point she could be getting busy enough that she can't do it. Right. <coughs> <coughs> so I was like, well... 
just let me know if you can't do it because I'll do I'll come up with something if you don't I just it would be better if you did it right and I wanted it to be kind of like a lone cornmeal style thing and so finally like a few days ago I was like just let me know if you think you're gonna have time to do it and she's like I'll have time to do it but would you be able to edit it I'm like absolutely yeah no problem that's that's basically that's how we did all the lone cornmeal shorts which is I would do the editing for them. Uh, that way she just has to prepare, prepare footage. Right. And she's like, okay, I'm on a shoot until Thursday. Um, so I'm going to be building the puppet and then filming on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then I might also need Monday. I was like, okay, wait, now, Mael, you realize the song is like one minute and 16 seconds long. Right. She's like, yep. And I was like, I'm just saying, like, you don't need to give me like an hour's worth of footage. Right. Like, you're talking about building a puppet and shooting for four days. Right. Uh, and I said, you really just can... And she's like, nope, this is, I know what I want to do, da, da, da. And, I, and I'm like, you are going to be uh, working for four days on a song that Mikey and I wrote in five minutes that is one, a little over a minute long. And I said, I'm probably going to spend more time importing the footage right. than I will editing it. Right. Uh, it might be that there's one take that she does, and I'm like, that's the video. Exactly. Um, but I, I'm hopeful that will turn out pretty good. I mean, it's in good hands. Yeah. That is my nightmare, though. I did, I did think recently about the fact that there's that one long promo shot that she gave me 45 minutes of full animation for. Right. That I almost should just go back and... Uh, should just go back and... Uh, edit that into a longer film. Right. Uh, the fact that that animation exists and it's basically enough for a broadcast hour-long television special. Sorry, I'm trying to make sure we're going to the exact right place. Well, we'll get off the 59th yeah. find a walk. Yeah. We can get off at 66 on this. But I think it's which one's better. 66, I think it's good. Yeah. So like, whatever. It's false advertising to advertise. If it's not, if you can't eat the thing. Yeah. So like, there was a law passed first where you can't use unedible products in your advertising. And I think there's another part of that that is if you're advertising a specific. Like, so it used to be like, if you're, if you're doing a cereal commercial, not that's why I get out here. Okay. It's it was nice like, here. You can't use like milk. Uh, glue is milk. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it looks so good. Right, but it's not realistic. And then I but, think I think there's another false advertising element to it where if you're advertising the um, you know, the McDonald's breakfast sandwich, yeah. it has to be the actual McDonald's breakfast sandwich. And so you can do whatever you want to make those actual elements look delectable. Yeah. But it has to be those actual elements is what I believe. What's weird about it is, I mean, the fact that they would advertise with um, 
fake things for food was right. always like a weird trivia, but I never felt betrayed by it. Like, I never felt... I want to go over this way. You don't want to walk through Christmas Village? No, I feel like it'll be more crowded. I kind of want to walk past these lights at the Time Warner Center. Company man. I'm like, real company man. I don't know what company. <laughs> um, yeah, but it is... It is it, but don't you think... Don't you think... I mean, what it would be like is like a clothing company advertising clothes that aren't the actual clothes you can buy. Yeah. But wouldn't you say as a filmmaker that like the way that glue with a big Cheerio falling in it looks captures a, a certain truth of like if you like the taste of Cheerios, if you filmed what Cheerios look like when they plop into a real uh, bowl of milk or something, or you pour milk on Cheerios, it probably just looks so mundane that it's like might not capture the feeling of how good Cheerios taste. Yes, but then the question becomes, as a storyteller and narrative filmmaker, uh -huh. yes, I, I absolutely, if I were telling a story, I would, we're trying to capture that feeling, I would do that. But if I were trying to convince you to buy my product over someone else's, that's where it gets into a shady, shady spot where then what's, what's, what's to stop them from digitally CGIing every Cheerio so that it's the perfect shape and consistency to look like this amazing magical thing then you open up a box and you're like what is this this is not what you advertised but don't you feel like like isn't that the whole point of advertising to a certain extent like selling the dream of it yeah it is but part of protecting people is <laughs> protecting them from False dreams? Yeah, buying something that they think is a dream. Or that they think is real, that is just a dream. Like, that's that's the con of advertising, of you're selling the dream and not the product. That's a con, you know? Um, would they still be able to do... Uh, do you remember commercials for fruit roll-ups, uh, fruit bars? So good, they're ugly. No. They used to advertise fruit roll-ups by saying they're ugly, and people would—they show people screaming because they were so ugly. No, I don't remember that at all. They go fruit roll-ups, fruit bars, so good and ugly, and then people go. Ah! That's real. That's real. Just like ownership of. Hey, uh, market, I think they were market testing to, says that people think these are ugly, so let's just own it. I think so. I think they were trying to make them cool to boys. Right. Like these are like garbage pail kids. Right. Right. I think I was just a little bit too late for garbage pail. Yeah. Kids. Like I remember there. I remember seeing the remnants of them left over on. You know, baseball cars and chewing gum and yeah. dogs and stuff, but not really getting what they were and why people wanted them. Right. All right, we are now 
at Columbus Circle. We've been walking around here. Uh, it, what Trump building is this? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Trump International Hotel and Tower. Yeah, I don't know how to differentiate. Different from Trump Tower, which is the one over in Fifth Avenue, I guess. Um, um, what's your take, JD? You think he's going to be the nominee? Uh, who would it be instead? That's the big question, isn't it? I, the reason I, I feel like I could be wrong about this, obviously, but. I feel like everybody who says he's going to fade seems to have trouble positing who would be the person who would, like, take over that momentum. Uh, you know, presumably it would be, like, Cruz or Rubio. Uh, those would seem to be, like, the most likely next in line. But they're all so nutty in their own ways. Yeah, and the thing is, like, a person who would vote for Cruz would vote for Trump. Right. Like, there's not a lot of... Right, there's uh, not too much to differentiate. There's not a lot of people out there who are like, Trump's too extreme, I'm voting for Ted Cruz. You know? Right. So it's like, if Trump, if Cruz is your second choice, then you might as well go with the one who is polling better. You know, like, it's, it's hard to imagine what at this point would drag Trump down or what would bring anyone else up because people have tried taking him on, they've tried, and part of the problem is that no one else, and everyone who's tried taking him on has been kind of ineffectual in doing it. Right. Um, the, you know, when, uh, it's sort of, I think I talked before on this podcast about my theory about the stupidest 10% and the way that uh, you have like a sort of a 40-40 that are guaranteed on either side. Right. And then you have this sort of these middle voters that sort of flip it back and forth. Exactly. And what a kind of problem that is and how a lot of people, I think I've said this theory before about how like um, there's a certain percentage of the swing vote that just go with whoever seems like the winner. Right. Or vote against whoever seems like the loser. Right. And what's different about Trump is that I don't think I can remember another candidate whose whole like whose whole angle on campaigning has been to go for that voter first. Right. To all of his rhetoric is, I'm a winner, everyone else is a loser. Can you believe it? Look at these losers and I'm a winner. And when, so, I'm a pre when I'm president, when I'm getting you that kind of... Yeah, and but by specifically saying, like, I'm a winner, this country's going to do so great, I'm going to be the best at this, I've got the world's greatest memory, but I don't remember that, you know, like... Right. That sort of thing, that 10% that normally waits till the end and then sees where the wind, which way the wind is blowing... He's getting those people first, and he's kind of locking them down. But it might be conceivably at the cost of, a, of chun the 40, yeah. a chunk of the 40 that should be guaranteed who will be like, no, no, we can't, we can't vote for this uh, reality TV clown. Right. Uh, I think there is a percentage of that 40 that in another context would never dream of voting for like a Hillary Clinton. But yes. if it's Trump versus Clinton, would be like, we can't give a reckless guy control. We need somebody who's proven that they're, like, responsible and know how to work functionally right. in a government. Right. Um, and the... Uh, but it is fascinating to watch how, how it's working, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're... 
there is such a uh, a weird energy in the country right now. Uh, it's such a, a strange heightening of what 2012 was like. Right. Uh, where the weird candidates of 2012, like Herman Cain was weird, but Ben Carson seems like an unbelievable heightening of that weird character. Yes. Uh, that Herman Cain seems so much more plausible as a candidate than this guy who, no matter what his political beliefs, his whole demeanor strikes me as someone who could never realistically be a national candidate. Right. Um, arguing about arguing about people with strange stories he's told about how he tried to hurt people. Yeah. How weird is that? It's very weird. Uh, it, when I see Ben Carson, it makes me relieved that he's not the candidate espousing the things I believe because I would be like, oh, God. Yes. This is the worst because it kind of it discredits your side of things when you have someone who's like, agrees with your beliefs, but is like, I'm kind of weird and I... I did try to stab my friend, but the buckle just, it moved up. It moved. Right. You know, and it's just like, it makes me so relieved that I'm like, if this guy was like, look, we need, we need a single pair healthcare system, I would be like, oh my God, this is hurting any chance of these right. things happening. Right. Is this tavern on the green here? Yeah. Are we, how far in are we allowed? That's the employee entrance. Oh, so we have to get jobs to go in that way. Yeah. Or waiter outfits. Uh, clock wipe to us and waiter outfits. Here. All right. So we are now entering Tavern of the Green. I'm going to take a picture here, JD. Uh oh. No, I just lost it. What? Oh, no. Computer is everything. Oh, I just lost my audio. For a second, I thought the last thing they're going to hear was, so we just got the tavern on the, and then it cuts out. And they're like, tavern on the what? Tavern on the what? I think that's a great tweeted photo. That's great. They're going to assume that we, like... Had a fancy dinner? Yeah, or did something other than just, like... Walked here and looked at the lights? Yeah. Well... Looks like we owe him something. Yeah. So get ready for some spectacular podcasting content. I'm going to sort of keep my microphone low. I'm going to keep my microphone high because I'm proud of this podcast. Uh, actually, I don't need that. We'll be fine. Yeah, because this is public park area, right? Yeah, I think so. What's that banging noise? That's the, the Christmas steel. Oh. Oh. Look at the smoke coming out of the chimney. It's very Ooh, that is wintry. Good. I wish there I had... I wish I had a better lens on my iPhone camera. Can you buy an iPhone lens? I mean, I'm sure you can, but just like with a wide-angle lens, it just like a flat. Mm -hmm. Got a bug. Mm. Here we are. Everything's lit up. Look at all these trees. So nice. And then uh, in back, they do a cool thing where they wrap all the tree branches individually. I believe. Did this? This was closed for a few years, right? I think so. Um, we uh, went here once, my family and I. I went here years ago. It was a long time ago. 
took me on a trip to New York. She, she took every one of the grandchildren to a certain point. Uh huh. Because there became a lot of us here. We all turned age 10 or something. Mm hmm. There it is. They Where is what? Nothing, just everything. Everything's there. And so we're going to reenact the scene from Ghostbusters. And the scene from uh, Made, where they have breakfast with P. Diddy. Oh, yeah. I guess they do their Christmas like thing. Is this different than normal? I mean, usually they did the individual branch thing, but regardless. Yeah. It ain't bad. It looks really nice. Yeah. And they're playing music. Where is it that Rick Moranis runs to? Someone broke a glass, which happened on the Rangers now? Yeah, I think it was right there, but this used to be open. Yeah. This used to make an open garden, I think. I feel like one of these days we should do an episode where we come and eat here, but only once... Uh, once someone else is paying for it? Yeah, once this is a funded podcast or something. Now, what's that part of the park there? That's the nothing. That's the nothing? Yeah, this is the Great Lawn. Great Lawn at night. Which at night is just... The, the great, great nothing. Emptiness. The great emptiness. Where? Or no, this is Sheep's Meadow. Sheep's Meadow? Yeah. Isn't mm. it? Is I don't it? know. No, this is... I can't tell at night. There'll be a sign. There'll be a sign. feels so different at night. I don't think I've ever really been around Central Park like this at night. This is Sheep's Meadow. Yeah, Sheep Meadow. Yeah. It almost sounds like Ghostbusters, the music they're playing. Yeah. There's a riff. Police uh, going by with a silent alarm. No siren, but the lights are blazing. There's a Christmas donkey. Yeah? Wait, did you see that? I see it. It's pretty big. How come you're not? Well, let's go over and see a little bit closer. (laughs) Just like, how come you're not? (laughs) Well, because it's Christmas time and anything can happen. Someone walking, walking a donkey in Central Park. horse. I choose to believe it's a Christmas donkey. A cronky? A cronky? A cronkmas. A cronk... A cronk... A cronk... Cronky missy. Cronky missy. <coughs> this is the exact right amount of clothing layers to wear. Yes, I'm feeling very... Satisfied with our impulses and yes. our instincts. Uh, <coughs> up, down, funky it up. Up, down, funky it up. Up, down, funky it up. Up, down, funk you up. Up, down, funk you up. 
Ooh, we gotta walk down that street of trees. There we go. Now that's a Christmas. We're just entering Warner Leroy Place right now. That's right. We should have sat on these benches all night. You want to? Live from Central Park? Live from Tavern on the Green. One of these days, why don't we just bill one of our episodes as the first ever live podcast? <laughs> you know, that's been done so many times. No, no, but we, we claim that whenever you download it, that it's happening live. And we stress that throughout the podcast. Like we, can talk, we can talk about it in this episode because it's far enough into the episode now that people who've listened to this deserve to know the conceit of the episode that we do. So where, we should be like, ladies and gentlemen, while you may believe that you were able to pause and play this at your will, this is in fact live if, right live, now. And, we, and if you press pause, we will stop. Yes. If you press pause, we will know and we will stop. Uh, we have the technology with live streaming provided by... And we just say a company name. Yeah. Uh, live streaming, uh, sponsored by Purell. And... Uh, Purell. It's Stream, on your streaming, hands. Streaming cleanliness to your hands, direct from a plastic bottle. Um, the... Uh, <coughs> Uptown. Up and down. We just left Warner Leroy Place. We're entering West 67th Street. Um, See, this is what Tower Green used to do, but every single branch, even the small ones, were wrapped. The small one is the name of a uh, Disney Christmas featurette, I believe, directed by Don Bluth. Oh, Ziggy's Gift. No. A man whistling for a taxi cab and a top hat. on the wrong side of the street. A man in a top hat whistles for a cab. A man in a top hat whistles, whistles for a cab. cab. A man in a top hat whistles for a cab. He was hailing a taxi on the opposite side of the street and seemed alarmed when no one would respond to him. Um, well, this is a nice street to walk down, certainly. Um, West 67th, where... Where all the, the fanciest people can be found. It's very. I want to. I want to thank the good people of West 67th Street for allowing us to walk down their street at a rather late hour, 10 o'clock. Uh, like without any hassle. Uh, we'd like to thank the folks at the Leopard for yeah. letting us walk in front of their establishment right now. Ooh, that's what a fancy. The place Leopard inside. at. Yeah. What is it? That is. The Leopard at Des Artistes. You didn't look in the windows once. Mm, I'll look over here. I'll look in this window. Oh, they got an A. Ah, we'd like to thank the folks at Des Artistes. For their kindness and consideration. Their kindness and consideration? ABC. Uh, oh, yeah. Actually, you know what? I've been in there. Really? Yeah. I've been in a meeting up. Up top? Yeah. Uh, and there's all these weird photos of old white guys who I don't know who they are all through the building. Were they executives or? I guess past executives, things like that. That's it was a grumpy doorman. New York scene. Yeah, the doorman looked bored. Yeah. Um, well, we'd like to thank the folks at from 17. On 67th. On 67th. And 40 on 67th. That felt like something for their dealing like limited. I looking, I'm looking at the, like the Christmas look decorations. At this, look at this side of the... Oh, someone's in there. 
That was awkward. That was awkward? Well, I just didn't know if they could see me. I hope they can't. I love speaking. I love I seeing love the doorman. He was like here. picking his ear. Did you see it? Yeah, look inside this house too. Ooh, they're, they're watching, watching Breaking, Breaking Bad. Should we watch what episode they're watching with them? Yeah. They have a good TV. They do. Ooh, this is a paradise. Wow, what a home. Oh my god. That is a nice home. I would draw the blinds if I had a home that nice, but these bars would probably protect them. Yeah. I don't like so that's. We should, I mean, we'd we be should, so we, fun we to have a Breaking Bad. We should Breaking Bad spoilers. <laughs> the, uh... On, on up up at uh, West 67th Street, they're catching up on Breaking Bad. Yeah. Finally, what will happen to Walt and Jesse? That that man doesn't know. He's finding out, unless he's on the rewatch. That was a very early episode too. Yeah. Um, I'll see what all the fuss is about. Uh. I always associate um, up here. Probably said this before because we were around here once. Where we the control room of something. Control room of something. And over here, it's the beautiful uh, entry lounge or whatever for ABC, right? Right. That's where you wait if you got an appointment. Let's see if we look in more windows up here. Of houses? Yeah. All right. It's the Christmas peepers. Hello. Every <laughs> while. You said it to do that. What? I did. I went, hello, and I went to us on her. Uh, I was going to go, hello, we the Christmas peepers. Every Christmas, people go downtown to the stores on Fifth Avenue and down at Herald Square to look at the windows. But the fine folks at 12 Hour Day with J.D. and Connor go uptown to where the people's homes are to look inside their windows. Let's meet up with our friends, the Christmas Peepers, up at 68th Street. Hello, it's us, the Peepers. Uh, we're looking in the windows, see what we, we want. Oh. We don't take, we just look, we don't touch. Oh, there's male nipples under that shirt. The Morley. We'd like to thank the people of the Morley for letting us look inside their windows. Oh, they've turned the lights out, because it looks like they've caught on to uh, the... apartment's empty. Yeah, no one lives there because they can't afford it. Uh, They've we, drawn the blinds. 68th is a little bit like sharper. To, we'd like to thank the folks at Trattoria, Joanne Trattoria. Ooh, a man in a tie drinks wine. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, they, see, these people do the thing. On, on, on West 68th Street, they're asking that question, who's the hat by? I see some Christmas lights up here. That's the most festive decoration oh, we've like seen in the house. Little wreaths. You hear music, right? Yeah. Hold on. We're seeing a bunch of young folks having a Christmas party. From the chandelier from the chandelier here, I want to from the chandelier here, from the chandelier here. We're listening to Sia. 
Ooh, and there's another window we can look into. And oh, here's what I like about those ones, is those look like they were put up kind of crappily, but it's a fancy house. Yeah. And you can see the people oh walking around in there. I think I might have... No. No. No, that's too fancy. What? It looked a lot like an apartment that I checked out when I was getting looking for apartments. Oh. You were checking out the upper west side? I was checking out anywhere that had, like, affordable one-bedrooms, and there's... Ones around here that were like tiny little things like that, where there yeah. were like bunk bed type things, and it was like two thousand plus. And I was like, "What are you now? A studio for two thousand dollars? Come on, New York." But you're paying for location. Yeah, it's not even that great. Astoria is way better. That's what you say. You're right by Central Park. What a great location is that? I feel like we're downgraded on this block. You what? I feel like we downgraded on this spot. Oh, yeah, this is definitely downgraded. Should we... Let's loop back. <laughs> let's loop back around, do 67, then walk down to Lincoln Center. Yeah, yeah. See where he's at in Breaking Bad. Yeah, so we're... We... I like, this these. Is, I like these. We've transitioned from a segment called uh, Christmas Peepers to a segment called Street Reviews. Yeah. And it's where JD and I walk down two streets and compare them just based on the pedestrian experience. I, I will say, ooh, I like that apartment. Can I say this? There's a man. There's a man, and he walks. Can I say this? West 68th was a uh, busier street, and yet I felt safer, safer on West 67th. Well, that's because you feel safer around rich people. So well, far from our experience, uh, based on our analysis, every street gets fancier and fancier as you go down. That means that the kings and queens of New York City live on First Street. According to that logic, yes. yes. Uh, we're right by the First Church of Christ Scientist, where they publish the Christian Science Monitor. Is the claim of Christian scientists that Christ was a scientist? Uh, no. Why is it written like that, where it's like the Church of Christ, comma, scientist? I mean, I think... I think that is the claim, but not like, oh, he's a scientist, but more like... His, his teachings serve to do the things that science purports to do. Uh-huh. Say Christian science the ones where they don't like yeah. go to the doctor and stuff. Hey, maybe that's religion for you. Hey, maybe I do believe in that. Now, would you respect me more if I nope. if I converted less. to that faith and I was like, way less. I was like JD. It's I, my belief and faith is important. Now you can look in the window here, which you refused to do before. Oh yeah. Look at these fuckers. <laughs> fancy fuckers. I respect you more for ordinary fears of doctorhood. Mm -hmm. Is this me? What? I couldn't tell, and I was like, yeah. there's something rattling in my um, It's okay. I just didn't know what it was. You like my beliefs better because I invented them. Yes. I like your beliefs better because they are a... Um, I'm not just swallowing someone else's uh, doctrine. They're, they're your own weakness, and not someone else's. Yeah. Hello. So grumpy. 
The, the doormen on 67th are not happy. No. Let's see if this guy's still touching his ear. I didn't think he was a little further down, wasn't he? Your texture? Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh, this was the dirt dealing. This dealing. Mm-hmm. <coughs> the ear toucher was at the end of a kind of a long hallway, right? Could be here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ear toucher is now pocket fondler. And where is that? Freaking bad. Oh, are you watching behind the scenes stuff? No, I don't think so. No. no. Yeah. It's not behind the scenes. Cameras. Where? JD, you should, you should no. recognize a camera when you see it, right? What do you mean, is he watching behind the scenes? They're at a grill. Oh, they're at a grill? I guess you know what you're talking about. What? Look bad. Do I remember looking at us? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can't... He's, he wasn't busy touching his ear. You can't uh, fondle uh, in one hand and discipline in the other. Uh, you can't expect us to walk past a show as good as Breaking Bad, show it off like that, yeah. and have us not look in. In fact, I think it might be his sort of, uh, not in, perversion, but invitation, his, his yeah. thing, his invitation to the world. Yeah. Take a look at what I got. I don't want you to... Here's me for you. Here's me for you. I wonder by now if we, now that we've done two go-rounds down the street, whether or not there's any sense of, like us being on a list now where it's like they're casing the neighborhood. Yeah. Two men with microphones. Yeah, I mean, I, it would be fair. Hello. Um, for the record, in case anyone discovers these podcast recordings at the end of a, some sort of a sting operation gone wrong where JD and I end up on the wrong end of some misguided authorities who've got the wrong end of the stick, so to speak, uh, we want them to listen to these recordings and know that we broke no laws, nor did we intend to. We were merely walking down streets and reviewing them. I broke laws. What laws did you break? Murder. No, J.D., that's what we call a bit in comedy. If a murder happened tonight in this area... And that audio recording existed? It was me. Hello. Oh, it's so Christmassy around here. It's very... this does feel like a uh, bingo, bingo, bingo. Like the corner of a coffee mug. Oh yeah, or on a or some sort of print not, by. Not on the corner of a coffee mug. This corner would be on a coffee mug. Oh, it's like something out of a print by Courier and Ives. Courier and Ives. These wonderful things are the things we'll remember all through our lives. These are the things that I think would be written by Courier and Ives. That's they rhyme Courier and Ives with Courier and Ives. Yeah. Um, we're now heading toward the Long neighbor, the neighborhood that I will always think of as the neighborhood location of Tower Records. The Tower Records. I will think of the Tower Records as the one down on. You think of the NYU one. I yes. think of that one as well. But the reason I think of this one is because before I had ever been to New York, I had seen Hannah and her sisters, which has a significant scene near the end, right. set in a Tower Records at a time when record stores generally that sold... Tower Records, right? Um, Wasn't it? No. Uh, if it was, they took the building down. I think, no, I think it was where Raymore and Flanagan is. Yes. 
Yes, 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 yes. You're right. Um, You're right. And it was, you know, now record stores, of course, do sell vinyl again in pretty significant right. uh, selections. Good use of space in that Apple store. Apple store is, yeah. That's the Apple store that in the article, the recent interview with uh, Rick Moranis, it talked about him being there for several hours trying to fix his uh, iPad or whatever. How funny. Um, yeah, but uh, when I was first in New York, like going to this Tower Records was like, ooh, I'm in the Tower Records from Hannah and her sisters. Right. That's how I felt like when I was in Love Saves the Day down in the East Village. Yeah, you were in Desperately Seeking Susan? Yes. Man, I miss that store. Yeah, we talked about it in an episode. Yeah, still miss it. Yeah. Haven't gotten over it. Well, it shut down before that building caught fire. Yeah. Became a, a noodle place, of course. And that's what happens when you noodle around with New York City landmarks. As all things are fated to do in that neighborhood. And they're like, these wonderful things are the things that are. Yeah, and ice. Oh, people screaming up there. Ah. This is a TV studio. You ever worked here? I have not, but that's the same robot cameras that we have at uh, m and Oh, really? Yeah. Is this open here? It must not be. It looks so closed. It is very closed. We can walk through here. Yeah. Walk these stairs. Walk these stairs. This is where uh, uh, Jordan Klepper and I came and saw the Alan Partridge movie, Alpha Papa, when it screened. Was it the Star Theater? Yeah. Oh. And we had a great time. I like this. I do too. I'm glad it exists. Uh, we're pointing to a concrete stair step pyramid. Come to the stair step at the corner at the now over there north. Is Walter Reed, which is one of the great theaters in New York. Yeah. Let's we're at walk the, down the Sky Bridge. Yeah, we're now we're at the uh, northwest corner of 65th Street and Broadway. Yeah. Christmas. Christmas, 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 Let's make a new uh, Christmas song. Uh, to beat Mariah. To beat Mariah. I'll st- I'll st- I'll start. Here you go. Ching chingling, ching chingling, ching chingling, ching chingling. Ring the bells for me because <laughs> I messed up I immediately. <laughs> ring chingling, ching chingling, ring chingling, ching chingling. Ring some bells for me for Christmas. Ring some bells for me. I like bells on Christmas. It's my Christmas fantasy. 
I like bells and you have bells, so ring the bells for me. I like the sound of ringing bells, so do this please for me. Do do dee. That's a Christmas classic. Just about a man who all he wants for Christmas is for someone to ring hey, Walter Reed. bells that they own. Luke Skywalker. If I could live in any future aesthetic, it would be this. I this love is the, like, we're I in Lincoln the, Center walking across the Skyway. I love this, the soft cream palette and the like yellow light. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. There's something very calming about the whole thing. Lots yeah. of glass. Very clean. Yeah. Sleek. But there's a warmth to it that balances out the potential coldness. Yes, it's not cold. Seems warm. Grumpy security guard there. Yes. It's being security is a hard job. It's a lot of waiting around, and if it's not waiting around, then it's because something bad happened. Yes, exactly. So there's really no upside to it unless you really like waiting around. It's a hard gig. I really love Lincoln Center. I do too. You think we'll ever do a play here, JD? That would be cool, but I doubt it. You doubt it'll ever happen? I doubt. Do you doubt, well, there's not enough time for me to get classy enough to do a play here. You know? Yeah. Like, I've run out of time to become classy enough to ever do a play here. And that's just a fact. Sit down for something. Wait, what? Where? Right here? Yeah. Why here? Oh. Oh, my feet. Hooligans? Hmm. We're just sitting here watching people now. There were a lot of, a lot of different dynamics going on around us. I wouldn't run like that in those heels. Still some very courageous running in heels. Yeah. Should I try to plug in here? Where? Yeah, do it. No, would they even see it? Is he even sitting here, Dad? I don't see a security guard watching us. Where's the security guard? If straight ahead of us is 12 o'clock, and to uh, my left is 1, I mean to my right is 1. 9. Is it 9 o'clock? Inside? Yeah. He's not going to come outside for this. Does it work? Oh, it works. Okay, now we are plugged in live at Lincoln Center. Now, uh, proudly sponsored by Lincoln Center. Yeah, thank whose you, electricity Center. is paying for at least a Coursing few. through the veins of our... It's literally recording. empowering us to yeah. bring you the next couple of hours of 12-hour day. Um, very, very... Uh, I mean... Look around here, it's not particularly Christmassy. Like, there's very few signs in the, the immediate vicinity that indicate it's Christmas, right? Yeah. 
And yet, it doesn't, in a way, it almost doesn't matter because it's an area that sort of doesn't require any extra uh, illumination or ornamentation in order to seem festive and. Yeah. Like, I don't think this is a Bahambug area. I think that, like, what I like is those lights will always be there. So those lights are right. there the whole time. So come January, you'd be, do well to sit here. Yeah, it's around, it's around that grassy thing. That's a grassy thing over there? Yeah. With a restaurant underneath it. Wow. You're reading that restaurant? No. There's Juilliard. Ooh. And over, over there is where Bill Murray... In, in Ghostbusters? He yeah. circles around? Yeah. Now, there's not a lot to dislike around here. No, this is a pretty good area. Test, test, test. Test, test, test. Would you ever want to be in, like, an opera? Uh, I can't imagine I would be much use in an opera. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Like, a big, fancy... What's, what's that in there? What Are those just, like, outside surrounding the theater? Just, like, the entryways? Yeah, I believe so. Where people are just hanging out? Because I believe what that's... That's the main theater. Mm-hmm. And that's what? That's like a orchestra jet. That's another that's, hall. Yeah. They're all just concert halls, basically. Right. That's Alice Tully Hall, right? I don't know. Maybe. I feel like I, I saw Costello in there a few times. You mean Louis Tully Hall? That was Alice Tully. Louis Tully. Oh, uh, Louis Tully is from Ghostbusters. Yeah. You're right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've seen much of like Costello did like a week of shows here where right. one night he played all the songs from a new album. Another night he did uh, a symphony. He had like the Brooklyn Philharmonic or something. It's really good. Um, what was my question? Uh, kind of hard to imagine me ever <coughs> wanting to be in a play again. Really? Yeah. Like, I don't have the craving for it. Like, uh, I mean, anytime I ever did plays, I don't, I never did especially long runs of any play. I, right. You know, like, not the way a professional play is, where you right. just, like, do it every day of the week for months and months and months and months or years and years and years and years. I find that hard to fathom uh, how that would feel. Right. Because I would get tired of plays. The few times I did have moderate runs in a play, I would get to a point where it would just be rote and it would just be like, you could, it was just like, even if it was enjoyable, you'd still get to the point where it's like, I'm doing this for like the yeah. 20th time. Um not even that, like 10th time or something, you know? Yeah, the closest I felt to that is uh, the last show of Fruit Bazaar every week, every month here. <laughs> yeah, where it starts to feel like, how can I ever do this again, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> do you know anyone who's seen Hannibal? Or not Hannibal, Hamilton. 
Uh, I was like, yeah, I yeah. think people saw it. The TV show? Yeah, yeah. Have you uh, ever seen Hamilton? Yeah, I've, I have a lot of friends that saw Hamilton. And does everyone say the same thing about it? Everybody likes it except for my one friend, uh, Dan, didn't really like it. Uh-huh. Magician friend. He was just like, it was fine, but I don't get what... Yeah. I don't get why everyone's losing their mind over it. Yeah. Um... But everyone else was like, it's great. It's yeah, worth it. Because I think it is like there's all this hype and then you see it and it's like a very enjoyable watching experience. So just like, yeah, I believe the hype then. Okay, this is great. Uh-huh. People get really emotional. It seems to go beyond hype the way people talk about it. It's like, yeah. you have to see it. You have to. Um, yeah, I, like I haven't I, seen it. I feel like I should listen to the soundtrack and kind of form an opinion from that maybe. Yeah, I, you know, I really, I am actually weirdly a fan of uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I just think he's so talented. Mm-hmm. But I have not seen any of, his, <laughs> any of his plays. I've just heard music from them and seen him perform in other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, that it, I know that there's no way, because when I, when I look at how much the tickets are going for, I know that there's no way because if you ask me what my favorite things I've ever seen are in any context and then ask me if I would pay $500 to see them, right? I would rather, I would almost rather unsee my favorite thing than at this point in my life pay $500 to see it. Really? Yeah. You mean like take away the experience of watching your favorite thing oh. ever? You can't watch it again. Yeah, I can't even know it exists. It just, I just, it's removed from my. You would do that for five hundred dollars? Right now, I would. Yeah. That's a desperate time. Yeah. Um. So like even like. Days and nights of Molly Dodd. Yeah. I'd take it away. Five hundred bucks. Five hundred dollars. Oh, what a sad. That's a that's a weird short film right there. It's like there's a, a weird eternal sunshine sort of... service that does that, and it's just this... Man, it's like, yeah, take another. Yeah, I need more money. Take another piece of me away. Yeah, keep taking Cause it. Because you're going to lose it anyway. Yeah, I guess. It's just like taking out... It's like taking an advance on it. That's the most nihilistic... Just like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die anyway, so I'm going to be gone, so I might as well get no, it right now no, and have it, some money. No, but it's like... If you could start erasing experiences you had, but you could be paid money for it... You're just taking out an advance. You can still enjoy it. You can use that money to live in a nicer apartment or to treat yourself to nicer meals. Yeah, but isn't meals. life just about your enjoyable experiences? No, but I mean, it would. you lose some parts of yourself in the process, but you're going to lose them anyway. I would give up like, oh, that time I saw 16 blocks. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, okay. If you get like 40 bucks for that, would oh, you? Oh, that was my first date. You just lose the memory of the movie. You can be selective. Oh, I can, okay. You can be surgical about it. I'd be like, yeah, we went on this first date to... I don't know what. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, would you do that for 50 bucks? If you could itemize it, no. this would be a very popular service, and I guarantee you'd start being selective about it. If you could be like... If you could do it immediately, too? Yeah. Right now, if you just had a, like, a very detailed listing of all the cultural experiences you have, and they were like, uh, JD, uh, for... Trance. I'd give up trance. Danny Boyle's trance. Yeah. I'd give up. No. you just start going through yeah. things, and they'd be like... Um, for $800, you never heard uh, the uh, um, Gin Blossoms. Yeah. 
for five hundred dollars, you never heard Hootie and the Blowfish song. Yeah, sure. But then they're like, for ten thousand dollars, we'll take away counter. If they're like, here's the one. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're gonna say. Thirty thousand dollars. Uh, for Costello, no. For Costello, nah. I would need to take away Costello. My minimum for that would be one million dollars. Wow. My minimum for that, I do it for a million dollars. So if someone was like, "Here's eight hundred thousand dollars," fuck you. Fucking Here's nine hundred thousand dollars. Nope, not interested. Not interested. Not interested. And million that's a dollars. million dollars tax free. Or whatever, or, or balance it out so that the taxes, I'm left with a million dollars at the end of this deal. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Fifty thousand for Star Wars. Nah, there's certain things, no. No way. I'd take away the prequels <laughs> for very little. <laughs> yeah, that, we, that, we already established. That's like that's like those betting odds where it's like yeah, they'd you be have like hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they'd be they'd be like they'd be like that that'll cost you. You, you owe us fifty dollars. <laughs> for fifty dollars, we'll erase the prequels. No, I wouldn't. I actually wouldn't erase the prequels because I've gotten too much fun out of uh, George Lucas as right. a as a thing. Right. That it it even before I was doing it as a character. I had a lot of fun making fun of the special editions with right. friends. Like, once we realized that he was not going to be able to do this anymore, right. we just made a joke of it, and we're like, well, let's enjoy it for what it is. Exactly. Um, and I... Uh, but I would... I, it would be a popular service in that you'd start taking away things that you're like... Ooh, what about people? Oh, yeah, i do that. Everyone uh, would do that. Uh, I, I immediately read a lot of subtext. <laughs> uh... Everyone would do that. Everyone would do uh, we, that. We have our we have our end to our short film. Our end of what? Our short film. You just your your brief pause and your your eyes after I said people and you said, "Oh, I'd do that." We found our end our short film. What do you think the ending of it is? Uh, I mean, we don't have to get into it, but I my understanding of what what immediately flashed through your mind. Well, what I, I've lost the oh, context maybe not. of. Of just a person you'd run a race that you would take money to a race. Was this a reference to something that we were talking about earlier? No, don't worry about it. I've forgotten it. It's okay. So see, it, it leaves us anyway. Exactly. You weren't thinking I was talking about you. No. Okay. I was no. thinking you were imagining that as soon as you said that, that then the next shot was just the empty microphone oh, in the yeah. center. I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to. Or yourself. Oh yeah. How um, much? How much to forget me? How much to forget my who I am? No, I like who I am. Gun I wouldn't hear for that. Suicide. That. The whole thing was a, a dream. Um, I, I mean, this would be such a popular service if you could be selective about it because there's so many people who'd be like, I never need to have seen like episodes of Full House. I'd lose those. I would pay to get time back. That, that would be an interesting thing. If you got the time back in addition to losing the memory? I mean, that they wouldn't have to pay you. You have to pay them for that then. Yeah. Like, if it's like, oh, all the time that you've spent blank for this price, you can get that time back. Oh, that would be a popular service. People would work so hard just to get the time back. Yeah, and then they'd waste all this time to get the time back.
That's actually a pretty good premise. We shouldn't have said that on this podcast. Copyright 2015. <laughs> Copyright 2015. Mark Ledgerwood. No! You did it. Um, 2015 Headbanger the Third. Just know that we recorded. <laughs> just know that we recorded this now, and we can track whether or not who downloaded the podcast, if we need to, in a lawsuit. Exactly. And Headbanger the Third. You're on watch. Mark Ledgerwood. You're on watch. Casey, Casey, Hannah, Mark. Don't get any ideas. Don't get any ideas. Jason from Brooklyn. We got you. Um. Yeah. Don't do that premise. Yeah. Um, how would you feel if the fat Jews started doing a 12-hour podcast <laughs> covering a lot of these things? I recently got, I was working with someone like, hey, I'm actually working with this guy right now. I think it'd be interesting. And it was that guy. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, no. Like, no, I think he actually has some interesting takes. And in my head, I was just like, I Yeah, he has I all don't. of them because he takes from everybody. <laughs> I just like, I don't understand how That's exactly write. the right word to call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got some interesting takes. He just takes what he wants. And he's, yeah, he's got some interesting takes. He's a, some from this person, some, some from, from that person. person. Um, I don't know how you could rationalize any of that, you know? Well, some people just don't get it. Man, oh man. What a Christmas treat. angle that we're at it sometimes looks like people are walking on the water yeah over there yeah yeah like that guy right there yeah it's a miracle it'd be cool uh man what? To live in one of those apartments all the way up there. Uh huh. But then I was like, no. Imagine, imagine, but imagine if it took you like five minutes to leave your house. No, some of those elevators go pretty fast. Maybe. And a lot of people don't live there because it's just like uh, owned by people who don't live in New York who come here a couple of weeks a year. Uh, I hate the world. Like. Imagine every one of the lights that's out in those buildings is just a person who doesn't live in New York. Yeah. Owns it. Yeah. Here's a crazy <laughs> thought I've had recently that mm-hmm. I think is an earnest thought. Is yeah. that if I ever had the money, I would like to put myself like a bunker in the Midwest somewhere near fresh water. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's like just like safe from everything. Uh-huh. Just like sort of a crazy neurotic thought. Mm. But in the wake of like so many things, I was just like, it'd just be nice if I had a place that I always knew I could escape to if I needed. Yeah, that you could just pull the ripcord on civilization. Just and be like, yep, I'll just take like a flight to this city and disappear into that small. Like if things were really bad I'd be like well at least I know I have this place where I have all the food I have all the water I need all the everything I need and all the protection I imagine you're not taking a flight there I imagine you getting a car yes 100% getting out of town and abandoning the car like a mile away from the bunker yeah setting the car on fire right behind you 
helicoptering in. No, you don't want anyone to know where it's at. Who was it? There's a bunch of TV people that would helicopter to set, to tape their shows and things like that. Mm-hmm. Which I think is so crazy. Yeah. <sighs> the Juilliard School. Mm. Where are we at? Battery was. Oh, where we at? Battery was. Two. Two, two, two. That good? Two out of what? Two out of three. Ain't bad. Two out of three. Ain't bad. Uh, someone make that your ringtone, please. Uh, let's, make a, our, let's make a couple ringtones right here. That's, for but I want—I really want someone to do what we just said. A two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. I think it'd be a really fun ringtone for someone's ringtone to be two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. How um, about um, here's another ring, ringtone. Ring, 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 ring. Wait, let's do it at the same time. Okay. Let's wait for this car to pass. And three, two. Ring 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 Perfect. Okay. Um Next one how about uh for? I'm just looking for a point of inspiration for this next ringtone. I think the next ringtone should be uh like a sort of like a a novelty one from Color Day. It's like from it's it's like Hey, it's me, JD, and your phone's ringing. And it's not a 12-hour call. And that's a great have, one. You have some quip, quip in the middle of that, too. Yeah. Say yours. Hey, it's JD from 12-hour day. And it's me, Connor, also from 12-hour day. I hope you don't have a 12-hour call. Do you have a 12-hour call? Oh, no. <laughs> I like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> I like, I like here's, a, here's a ringtone. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, oh no. Oh, God. Oh, no. Not another phone call. Not another. Oh, uh, why did I even buy this thing? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, who wants to contact me now? Hey, everybody, watch me throw my phone in the trash. Yeah. I give up. Uh, who's trying Who's trying to reach me now? No, uh, good. Who's trying to call me now? Oh, let me guess. Good news. Oh, great. Another phone call. I can't wait to talk to you. Uh, hi, Mom. Oh, no, I guess it's not. It's another debt collector. Hey, whose phone is ringing? Oh, look around, everybody. My phone is ringing. Uh, and here, this one is for if you lose your phone a lot, you have to do the thing a lot where you're like, hey, call my phone. Can you call my phone? Yeah. Hey, I'm over here. I'm your phone. I'm your phone. I'm uh, over here. Where'd you leave me? Where'd you leave your phone? <laughs> that's a... That's a... <laughs> your phone was like, I'm scared. You left me. Hey, it's me, your phone. Why'd you leave me? I Don't you love me? It sort of reminds me of your short film. Which one? The one with the alien. The alien oh, right, Ryan right. Frost. Oh, uh, uh, Unable Are the Love to Die. What a weird, weird short film that was. Did you like it? I did. But, like, what if your phone was like that? Yeah. <laughs> it was just like... Oh, oh, I'm your phone. Fuck me. Fuck me. Fuck me. 
<laughs> the pitch for that the pitch for that movie was so fun because uh, I pitched the whole film basically in the room right. and I was like here's what happens and I said this is when I joined Goldwater this was the UCB digital team right. that was on for a while I had watched that one Presto you know that yeah. film Presto and it kind of reminded me of Amazing Stories right and so I was like ooh okay I would like to make write films for this that feel like my version of like what an episode of Amazing Stories would be. But your episode of Amazing Stories about a guy who just like fucks a weird alien to death. But it's not just that; it's that <laughs> not to death. No, not to death. Yeah, doesn't he? But what happens right after that? Yeah, they all. It's an act of procreation. Wait, what? Yeah. You mean they all? That's what. What's... Okay, spoilers for. Unable to love to die. Stop now and go watch Connor's short film. Yeah, but there's also uh, the woods are lovely, dark and deep, which also felt to me kind of like these. Are, this is what my version of like uh, amazing stories but or doesn't he like fuck it into slime? <laughs> yeah, that. But then it, at the end, all the other you're saying he. That's what triggers. All. That's what. That's how they make more of them, or that's what triggers more. That's what they want. That's how they reproduce. <laughs> what? That's how the... By getting destroyed? Yeah. It, it, um, a, a close example of this would be like The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Right. Oh, I see, I see. Okay. Um, <laughs> interesting. Um, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's left on, on... It's not spelled out like that. No, it's not. But lots of people interpreted it that way. Lots of okay. people got that. But you could also imagine that it's what causes the alien invasion. That's what I thought it was. Um, but the clue is in the title. Right. Okay. Uh, it's a it's a gross interpretation of an Emily Dickinson line <laughs> that these uh, the aliens are basically pleasure predators. They they come to a uh, they colonize planets basically by um, activate like trying to target the pleasure centers of uh, a dominant species. Right. And the way that they reproduce is by getting the. Uh, Getting the species to engage in its form of reproduction, cause, create like one one act like that creates a million more, right? And then they all land, and you imagine the same thing happening to all the different people that right. find this egg when they touch it, it makes them feel great, right? But they also lose time as the alien is like learning what they like, right? Um, and uh, <clears throat> but I felt it was it's boring to say that in a movie, right? Uh, and it's more fun to have it be evocative, and you draw your own. I'm fine with people thinking it's an alien invasion, but uh, my my intention right I didn't it, think that it would trigger the alien invasion. I thought it was just like that was the first one. And this will happen over and over and again. This will happen over and over. Uh, no, my feeling was that the causality of him doing that and then all the others arrive, uh, one thing triggers the other. Interesting. Um, because everything that happens in the movie is triggered by the thing that happened before it, sort of. Sure. Um, but uh, check out this film on UCB's Vimeo. Um, hopefully it'll play at some festivals or something. I'd like to see it in a theater. Yeah. Um, Adam Sachs directed it. Did a, a pretty amazing job of it. Some of it is like, it's amazing how what you can do for essentially no money now. Right. Compared to what you can do with no money five or ten years ago. Right. That... If you have the ability, uh, a lot more is possible now than used to be. 
Um, hilarious. Here's a ringtone I dare someone to use on their phone. My name is Osama bin Laden. Think anyone will use that as their ringtone? <laughs> how, about, how about this one? <laughs> we dare people. Dare we dare people to use these ringtones. I dare someone to use this ringtone. Saddam Hussein makes me horny. Um, Why are we doing this in the middle? We're doing this in a terrible location while we steal electricity from from uh, Lincoln Center. <laughs> from the arts. Um, I mean, this is supporting the arts. <laughs> we offer this free podcast to the world. We should do deserve a little bit of this arts funding. Free electricity is the least that this society owes us. <laughs> Saddam Hussein makes me horny. Um, I'm horny for Saddam Hussein. That's a better one. Um, I'm horny for Saddam Hussein. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a phone. I'm someone's dick. And I'm horny. Ooh, yeah, pick me up. <laughs> That's a good ringtone, right? These are all great. I'm always, I'm always picturing these being, like, at parties. Yeah. Um, um. I'm your dildo. Take me out of your purse. Yeah. Yeah, put me next to your face. These are great ringtones for your phone, and we're offering them free of charge. Yeah. To the listener. How about torture Edward Snowden? Torture Edward Snowden. Great. That's nice. a good one. Thank you. Um, I just like the ones that are out of context if it rings. Right. It just feels like a, a bizarre opinion that... Right. Um... Olivia Dukakis presents. What's that person doing? The water. I don't know. I don't know. Olivia, <laughs> Olivia Dukakis presents. Is it Olympia or Olivia? It's Olympia, right? I thought it was Olivia. It might be Olivia. Now I don't. Now I'm questioning it. I have no idea. Use that as your ringtone. The whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Martin Schmermack was a bad, bad boy. Martin Schmermack was a bad, bad boy. These feel like they're just like opening lines from a collection of short stories by J.D. Amato. <laughs> what? Torture Edward Snowden? Yeah. Um, do a King Bad Boy ringtone. Twelve Heads would love to have their phone be from King Bad Boy. Uh, listen, I'm not in a King Bad Boy mood right now. Oh, man. It has to come out naturally. You know? Okay. Like, I'm not... Do you remember the cactus character you were playing that one time? I don't fully remember how, what either of them were, so I just felt like I'd love... Were you like, I'm Mr. Cactus or whatever? Right. He's <laughs> <laughs> a great character. You know, I'm great at ca- character work. <laughs> just terrible at remembering your classic characters. Oh, here's the text message sound. Look at that runner. <laughs> I like... Categorizing, like characterizing any person who is running as a runner. Yeah, but it's rare that you see people running down the hall of Lincoln Center. Look at them run back. That person is in a fucking hurry. I mean, that's a big run. That's like the run that uh, Clarice Starling's friend does in Silence of the Lambs when she gets that phone call. Yeah, we're like 50 feet away from some movie that's happening. You know what I mean? I wish I had my camera out. I would have filmed it. Here's her text message sound. Oh, 
Those are all great ones. Thanks. You can set them all to be random, so just keep making different yeah. noises. Why? <laughs> That's a great one for any text message. Why? Um. Time to take your medicine. My chest, my chest hurts. I have a thing that's like wrong. Like there's something wrong with me. Go to a doctor. I have, and he didn't know what it was, and he gave me these pills to stop it, and they made it worse. They didn't make it worse, but they did other things that were worse. But it stopped the chest pain. You don't have it now? I have it now. It's just weird. I can't. It's, he thinks it's like my cartilage ball behind my uh. chest plate is like sensitive. Uh. Here's a ringtone. Pills, pills. It's time for your pills. That's pretty good. I'll take that one. Um, it's tampon time. That's pretty good. That's a personal one. Only use that when you really need them. Um, one of my favorite jokes that I've ever helped write was... Uh, this is a J.D. Amato co-production joke. So I worked on that magic show, uh -huh. and there's this bit with the Siri where a magician... Asked Siri to help him do a magic trick. Uh-huh. And then Siri, like, messes it all up. And so we added this bit that at the end, the trick's over, but his, the magician's phone is still synced to the audio system. So it's, the joke is, like, trick ends, I'm <coughs> uh, uh, What is the exact wording? Um, tomorrow, you have a reservation. Oh, yeah. It's... Uh, oh, I can f forget the wording. It's going to butcher the joke, but it's um, tomorrow you have an appointment. Tomorrow you have an appointment. Or reminder, appointment in four hours with Dr. Garbanzo concerning your micro penis. That's fun. And so one of my favorite things was the, the name Dr. Garbanzo. Uh-huh. As just the general, general practitioner is Dr. Garbanzo. <laughs> just the name Dr. Garbanzo. Just elicits this and like, Hey, it's nice to meet you. I'm Dr. Garbanzo. <laughs> it's very nice to meet you. What seems to be wrong with you? That sounds, the way you've pitched that character sounds like you've crafted, you've written it specifically for David Blood Band. Oh, our, or Dan Licata. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. me, Ooh. Dan Licata. Uh, uh, she's a beauty and a cutie, but I did make her put that baby down. She has what I would call a, a micro-vagina. It is very fun. Dan Licata. Can you hear the howling of the sirens? Ooh. Uh, where are we at time-wise here? I think we're in the final hour. Final hour. It's countdown to final time. It's the final time. hour. This game's about to end. What game? This submarine game. You're playing a submarine game? That's yes. what that is? This game called Subterfuge. Uh-huh. You play against ten people. Uh-huh. And it's like Risk, where it's like you take over territories, but it's all like bases and stuff like that. And 
um, sending your stub from one base to another takes the amount of time that is the distance. Uh-huh. So it's like, but it's a long time. So it'll be like 12 hours to get something from one base to another. Uh-huh. So you can launch an attack, and that person has 11 hours to respond to it. I don't as, think I'd ever do anything for 12 hours. As the ships get by. But so the game takes place 24 hours a day and lasts probably like two weeks. Uh-huh. And it just takes up your life. And right now, Brandon Gardner... Being a complainer. It's the final countdown. Oh no. Oh fuck. towards uh you gonna go to the midnight show i'm tired my arm hurts that, that's the mark of a hero i even gave you a band-aid that spells h it spells for h. hero can you see it ouch this is gonna hurt for a while don't you see the h yeah i see it but it doesn't spell h it just is an h uh, h spells h <laughs> h spells h sorry that you hurt your arm no, it's fine. Um, we can walk. Let's walk to Times Square. Yeah, let's walk down to Times Square, and then jump on the train, and then we can finish at Queensboro. Yeah, it's a good idea. I hope we have enough juice. I think we do. I believe in the juice. Everyone's letting out of the play now. We looks like we're real theater goers. Um. It looks like we saw the king and I at Lincoln Center. It does. Should interview people about what they thought about the play. That's, that's some good. Yeah, let's do it. What, what did you like it? What did you think of the characters? What did you think of the characters? Who's, your, who's the funniest? Character? That song. Name that. Funniest character. Okay, prove it. Funniest character. Um, what if we just started and did our own alternate production out here as people come out and say like, which one? Who did it better? Yeah. Now pay us. Yeah. Well, how much? How quick would it take for us to get shut down if we started doing an alternate production of The King and I real fast, just out here, as, as the show let out every night? Um, a day. One day? Yeah. If we promoted it really well? I mean, I, I'm just saying I think that... Oh, you think that's what that cop is get, there for? It would get shut down during that... How long would it take for us to get listed in the New York Times if we kept trying to do it? We wouldn't get listed. They wouldn't be like, go check out 
the alternate illegal version of he and I. They might write about us out of like a weird pity character piece. <coughs> I'd settle for a weird pity character piece. Hey, I'm putting a I'm putting a uh, all points bulletin out to all major media outlets who listen this far into the podcast. Uh, if you want to do a weird pity character piece on me, I'm down. No qualms about it. Do you know any songs from The King and I? I was in a production of The King and I when I was uh, in grade school. No. Here's our question. You don't care about this story? Who was better, The King or I? Or I. Anyways, uh, go ahead. Finish story. Um, well, I don't know. What was your? Who'd you play? Did you play The King? I played The Son, uh, the little boy. It was a community theater production, so they were adults playing adults and kids playing kids. Okay, right. And I was The Son, and I sang, uh, Getting to know you, getting to know all about you, getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Now you definitely seem like you're coming out of it. I'm sure they sang that song. Yeah, of course they did. Um, and they sang all the songs like, I am the king, the king I am, and you know who you are. You, 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 you. It's the king, not the king, and you are you. Great song. The king in nose, no. The king in mouth, no. The king in ear, no. The king in eye, 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 oh, 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 let the beat drop. Hey, Mr. King, it's me, it's me. Hey, Mr. King, it's me. It's me, you're the king, and you're the king, and me, well, I'm just me. Rock and roll in a Broadway show never feels quite too bad. I like to sing kind of rock and roll styles when I'm singing on the musical stage. I'm the king, and I am I. I'm the king, you are the king. <laughs> um, we are now walking through the Ghostbusters area uh, of Lincoln Center. We passed by the Big Apple, Big Apple Cir- Circus. Uh, there's a Christmas tree there. There's a lit up tree there. There's Christmas lights everywhere. No shortage of Christmas cheer in this arts community. No shortage of Christmas cheer right here. Um, uh, now, we've gotten... I've used the restroom. Uh-oh. Well, you talked pretty tough about not wanting to use the Starbucks before, but I'll bet you'll use it now. I can find it. I'm going to go to the hotel and find the restroom. Okay. I can do that. I can pull that off. Um, I would like to say if there are any members of ISIS listening to this podcast and they've gotten this far. Uh, <laughs> what? Where is this about to go? Uh, the uh, uh, Stop. Turn it off now. We're not interested. Unless. Uh, or tweet at us. Right. Uh, if you have any questions, because maybe we could start a dialogue. You can change your ways. I, I'd feel good about that. Yeah. <laughs> if there's something bugging you, give us a tweet. I'll say that to any any uh, militant group anywhere in the world. If you want to tweet at us and you got a question, we don't want any part of your conflict. We're not fighters, but uh, we're more than willing to answer a question if you've got one. Okay? Yes. I don't know where this came from. What do you mean? Why are we, why are we... I just thought it'd be funny the idea that there'd be anyone from ISIS yeah. that not only would have listened to the podcast but got this got far this into far, it. Yeah. 
Why don't you use a Starbucks bathroom? Uh, no, I'm not going to do it just to stand by my guns. You'd rather piss yourself than use a Starbucks bathroom because J.D. Amato doesn't like to play by the normal rules no. of what people do in New York. In fact, I know exactly where I'm going to use the restroom. <laughs> in the rock climbing center? <laughs> yep. Uh, no, we're going to go to the hotel in Times Square. What hotel? The Radisson. Ooh. It has the glass elevator. From Willy Wonka and the Great Glass Elevator? Yeah, it has, it has a, like, a movie memorabilia section. It has that. Ooh, fantastic. Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. In that movie. What? Oh, that's from a movie? Yeah. I don't know. That particular rendition of A Christmas Tree. I don't know. You know, I love this time of year. Uh, um, how often do you... There, I'm looking at the candy store, It's Sugar. How often do you think our friend Martin Sugar goes to that store? Uh, probably rarely. I bet he's never been there. Never is yeah. a long time. Never is a very, might a long time. A lot of cereal but I'm here to tell store. you there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never ending happiness. We can always see the sun, day or night. So when you call up that trick in Beverly Hills, you know the one. Doctor, everything's gonna be okay. Instead of asking how much time you got left, this time, ask him how much we'll buy, baby. So in this life, things are much stronger. Things are much better than that. This side, you want your own. Elevator tries to take you down. Go crazy. That was from Princess Let's Go. And I bet Martin Sugar's never been there. It's Sugar? Yeah. Do you have a robe? Uh, like a Ghost of Christmas Future style robe? Uh, I used to, but I think it's all been taken or ruined and chose. Oh, okay. But I can get one. Uh, we have you, just like a black death yeah. robe. Yeah. yeah we need one, one for Martin. Yeah. I think that is such a funny reveal. Yeah. Harry, it's me. Especially if we tell him, like, for the first part of it is to just point and to be ominous. Yeah. Uh, but then if Terry out starts asking questions, just to re reveal at any given moment. Yeah. Um. <coughs> Sirens and lights and all things nice. Lights, camera, sirens, action. Uh-oh. Break it, break it, break it, break it, break it. Break it, break Oh, boy. What are we doing here? There's no lights for any of us. Let's There's one. This way. Um. Go crazy. Go crazy. There's a bathroom in here. Is there? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I remember that. If they're still open. It's uh, up two flights, uh, up an escalator, or I guess only up one flight, so up an escalator and then just a little bit around. Huh. You learn something new every day. Yeah. Better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. I've actually bought shoes here at Kohan. Are they good? I bought boots. I bought boots for the winter, and now I'm annoyed that I bought boots as excited to wear that it's 65 degrees out. You're just wearing normal shoes. I know. Like it's... I have boots that have literally been untouched, and I was like very excited that I got them on sale. Well, I'd never, I've it, never really It will get cold boots. again. It better snow is all I'm saying. Oh, it's going to snow. I think January is going to be a snowy month. Oh, it better be. We are now on the second floor of the Time Warner Center, uh, over here. And uh, for viewers who are sensitive and don't wish to hear bathroom sounds... Are you using the restroom also? I think so. Uh, we are both going into <clears throat> a public restroom. There may be sounds of other. Remember, the, remember when we were in the airport? It was just like the most. Oh, awful. it's closed. Restrooms out of order. Let's see if there's a disclaimer saying that no, no alternatives provided. We apologize for the inconvenience. Should we go down in these uh, elevators? Sure. Is this the only place there's a restroom? I think so. Yeah, the only one that I know of. Three. Oh, three. Yeah. Well, let's go up to three, maybe, in, in this elevator. Oh, mind. We'll go up. Enter into the elevator. All right, now we're in a big, fancy elevator. We're going to go up and try on three and see what happens. Try it on three. Try, try it on three. Did you press the button? Yes, you did. Yeah. Oh, I think you tweet, did you tweet something about elevator buttons? Was that you? I don't know. What about? No, I don't think it was. Oh, no, it was uh, Corey Palmer, I think? Maybe. About pressing them. I thought they... it would be really funny if some engineer made an elevator that actually did work where the elevator went faster than more times and harder. I've always them. thought about how what an awful world that would be if that was true. How, how uncomfortable the elevator riding experience would be. If uh, each press accelerated the pace of the elevator, and how many times you would get out of an elevator and probably yell at the people? Yeah, like we like, were on we our were, way. Like it was coming up, and you did not need to press it that fast. You scared the hell out of my kids. Oh, it's locked. No sign saying apologies for this one. This is just a straight up fuck you. I'm gonna use this drinking thing. Locked also. Also locked. I wanted to do that thing where it's like, I knew I was about to pee. So it was like, here we go. 
you know how that happens. Yeah. Oh, where your your brain is already ready for some. Yeah, your brain's already ready for the bathroom. So it's like, yeah, just put, put it on the on deck circle. <laughs> yeah. My, my body's like, what do you mean we're not going to the bathroom? Oh, oh, we are going. <laughs> we are going. Body's like, no, 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 no. We got the order from above. We got the all clear. I mean, what are they? I thought about it. I thought about it, but I opted not to. Should we go hit this? This may dictate whether I go to the midnight show. All right. Well, we're back in the elevator again. Little uh, tip if you come to New York City and you <laughs> don't know if there's the, it's too late for the bathrooms, it probably is. Go ahead and skip your visit to Time Warner Center and... Proceed directly to Times Square. Times Square, where bathrooms are for everyone. Uh, let's loop around this way. Loop around this way? Yeah. You liar sign. Oh boy. To me. Couch. Goop. Is Goop Gwyneth's place? I mean, there's another Starbucks. There's a guy undressing in a hotel room. Oh, you uh, saw it? Yeah. Yeah. You just saw a guy undressing in his hotel room with the is it shades called Goop on? because GP is Gwyneth Paltrow? Uh, maybe I don't know. Gwyneth owned and operated Paltrow. Yeah. Come here. Is that painted on like a face? Or is that a shadow? That's a shadow. It's a fascinating oh, shadow, there, right? There it goes. It was kind of yeah, cool, right? It looked, like a, it looked like one of those art pieces where it's a bunch of stuff piled in an interesting way that looks like a face. But the, the bicyclist whose bicycle that created it arrived and destroyed the work of art the moment we saw it. Yeah, she seemed un, uh, unconcerned. Yeah, she seemed uninterested in our discovery. Boing. Now we're just walking downtown from Columbus Circle. 
people are texting and they're walking and they're talking on the phones. Yeah, they should be podcasting. And they're having a great old time enjoying the streets of New York City. We're by a CVS and a TJ Maxx and we're living New York City life to the fullest because that's the only way to do it. Yes. We can also go to Lincoln Park. Bar named after the band. Well, let's cross this little nightmare. Bing, bang, bong, bang, bing, bong. Sorry. Whoa. Just had a little collision with so, a lady in red. Lincoln Park is to block that way. Uh huh. We could go there and act like we're getting drinks. For what? Oh, for a bathroom? Just use the bathroom. Uh, or whatever. we could just walk down to Times Square. Whatever you feel is possible. Oh. Let's go down to Times Square and just see if we can get to that hotel. I bet we can. Yeah. But if we don't, my body's going to be unhappy. Yeah, you, you won't make it back to Astoria. No, I'll pee my pants. What a, what a first for yeah. this podcast. Oh, no. My <laughs> pants. What a horrible way to end a 12-hour podcast. Oh, no. Oh, my pee-pee pants. Uh, have you, you've read about the zombie McDonald's near the training center, right? Yes. I think about that now every McDonald's I see in New York. Yeah, well, they're, they're all sort of like cesspools. But I think some more than others, though. Yes. But in this part of town, you pretty much probably not get shit. But yeah, that one is particularly bad. We've been waved across by the officer, the traffic cop. No, I don't. You just saw uh, a, kind, a kind gesture. A young man. Yeah. Bought a homeless gentleman. And uh, the interaction we saw was he took several wrapped burgers out of his bag and handed them to them and said, have a good night. And the homeless guy goes, oh, I will now. That was nice to witness. And also not nice in the sense that uh, that kind of homelessness is obviously a very sad fact of city life. De Blasio's New York. Go ahead and walk this way. We'll walk past uh, Colbert and uh, Marquis. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know what. How about this? If it's open, I'll get a shake and steak and shake, and you can use the bathroom in there. How's that? Okay. If it's open. I, d I don't feel like we can tease your bladder too many times. No. Before I'm, I'm going to assume that that's not going to happen. Yeah, I probably won't. It's 11.21. It stands to reason they might be closed. Steak and Shake is a Midwestern uh, late-night staple, though. Sure is. That's where we would all go past, like, 10 p.m. Yeah. But we're in New York City. 
The city that never sleeps where places close. Did you do that in Missouri? Oh, yeah. It was always like, oh, I'll meet you guys. It's, we'll meet at shit, Steak and Shake. Yeah, Steak and Shake, uh, yeah, it was great that it was open so late. And uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago, when Turco did those uh, Mumford & Sons shows, uh, I did one, and Steak and Shake was the place, like, closest to the hotel where we were staying. Right. And so that was where that was where we would go late at night, and I loved it. Right. Walking down the street, and we are very close to where the Ed Sullivan Theater is. by the at Sullivan Theater and Angelo's Italian restaurant and now the proof is in the pudding appears to be open yeah they're open till midnight perfect Do you want anything? Okay. Hi there, I'm good. Hi. Uh, can I get a small vanilla shake and uh, two cans of the second shake chili from the thing over there, from the cabinet? The actual can. The can. No, no, the, the regular can, yeah. Is that two cans? Two cans, yeah. Anything else? No, that'll be all. Okay, sure. Okay. All right, thank you. Uh, can I use the bathroom real quick before I... Okay. Thank you. Uh, you go ahead first? Yeah. Let's out here. And so now I'm in Steak and Shake. As you heard, I just ordered two cans of Steak and Shake chili. They're always a little bit surprised that anyone asks for that here. It's one of the least healthy things that a person could eat. But I developed a taste for it. And every now and then I get it when I'm nearby for a treat. And now JD is in the restroom. I'm going to be in the restroom in a moment. But I'm hoping that maybe the ambient noise of Steak and Shake might cover up the sound. Because as you 
Longtime listeners will know that I always do my best to try to disguise any sounds of urination during the podcast. Uh, and I, there have been, full disclosure, there have been two instances during this podcast today where I have urinated, and I have not called attention to it, and my hope is that you will not have heard. All right, now JD's going to carry on talking. This particular one is in a weird area of Times Square. At the very northern tip of it. Um, sorry, I'm looking at the submarine name to make sure that Brandon Gardner sort of did something underhanded to me this game. And so, right before the game ends, I'm trying to make sure that he gets his just desserts. Which, I don't know if he's going to. But, you know, we're going to see. I think he might survive it. Um, but it's fine. I will come safely in second place. And I can hear, I can hear Connor. Oh. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. That's that's the chili. We're still waiting on you. Oh, the shake. Okay, great. So, what did you get aside from the shake? Uh, two cans of steak and shake chili. You like it? Yeah, and uh, it's not very good for you. Okay. It's very bad for you. We're recording a, a podcast. We're getting asked why we have a microphone. Yeah. You're allowed to have a microphone. You take them, turn them to my mom, and my, this is her telephone. What's that? My phone doesn't work, so I had to plug exactly. in a microphone to it. Why do you have one of those? We're recording a podcast. We walk around New York. Spent 12 hours recording. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great night. Um, so, I got uh, a sentimental attachment to uh, of to that chili because when I was first in England, uh, my mom saw these little, like, microwavable... Let's not walk Times Square now. Why not? I hate Times Square. But it's Christmas. I don't think that changes Times Square at all. Mm-hmm. Are we heading for the train? Uh, to the 7? What time is it? Let's, uh, let's walk to the 7. Let's catch the 7 that way. The Bryan Park? Yeah. Okay. I just really hate... I know you don't like it because it's too much electricity. Well, it's just not... It's, it's a mess of people and chaos. It's not necessary. Hey, boss, is this, is this uh, 8th Avenue? Oh, uh, so we no. Gotta get, we gotta get here. Eighth uh, should be over that direction. This is Broadway here. Okay. Okay. Uh, so if you head over, I'm not sure if it's the next one or the one that one after, but it's that should be that direction. Eighth and nine. Is that nine? That way. No, no. Fifth and yeah, seventh would be that way. So. Okay. You want to yeah, go yeah. That way. yeah. Perfect. Yeah. You. You're welcome. Oh. Uh, they were heading toward a comedy show. 
Yeah, at the Broadway, which I'd never heard of. Mm -hmm. Which is not on Broadway. No. Um, let's cross here. Ah, no, never mind. Just, just past Edwards. Uh, no, uh, what's his name? Uh, Edward Snowden? Yeah, on a date. <laughs> mm. Isn't that what he looks like? A little bit, yeah. Um, well, so when I was in England, my mom saw at Steak and Shake these little microwavable chili things. And she's like, oh, these would be really lightweight. I can mail these in like a care package. Right. And I'd never had Steak and Shake chili before. And it was at a point where I was like, oh, it was just like so nice to get a care package of this stuff. Yeah. And I, it's not something I get very often. But it, I always have such a positive association with it. Right. That, I mean, it's kind of garbage, but it's hard for me not to just connect it towards a very uh, satisfying sort of emotional state. Yes. Uh, to me, that's, I think that's pecan pie for me. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that was always my favorite pie. And well, I wish I'd known that. I would have given you some of my leftovers pie. Oh, no. But I think that's my comfort thing, too, where mm -hmm. when I have that, I'm like, everything's okay, because I'm eating this pecan pie. And do you link that to any particular event, or...? Uh, yeah, so that was usually, like, Thanksgiving, Christmas, things like that. My grandmother on the Amato side made amazing, like, cherry pies and you know, apple pies and like that, but I always really like pecan pie, so in our house, we would have, like, a fruit pie like that and then also pecan pie. And then we bring the leftovers, pecan pie. Also. I don't think I even tried a pecan pie until at some point in the last four years. I love pecan pie. Um, I think it was one that, like, it was never, like, one of the pies that we had in our home or anything. And it was, right. it always seemed to me like a weird pie. Like, I couldn't quite imagine it. Right. And I didn't think it was gross, but it just didn't appeal to me. And then I tried it somewhere, and I was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. for some reason, I had imagined it as kind of like a drier pie or something like that, where it almost right. be like eating a, a just a pie filled with dry granola or something, where right. it'd be kind of like, oh, it's a lot, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's very good. I mean, it's amazing. Mm. That's just, that's my, that's the kind of sweet taste that I love, is that like crunchy, sweet. Yeah. I like it. Um, so now we are... Mm, walking on a... Not very busy... Walking street. Thin ice. Are you singing the Yoko Ono song? Yeah. Elvis Costello did a cover of that song. Oh, really? Yeah. Should I go to the show? I'm so tired. I think it's entirely reasonable to not go to a show after recording a 12-hour long podcast. You know? I just feel like I should because, you know, we're such good friends. And yeah. They, they did a lot of work to get try to get people to come out to this one. Mm-hmm. Well, I 
I know my own self in terms of like having been out a little bit late last night and then having uh, a long day today yeah. that if I sat down to watch the show, I'd probably fall asleep. Yeah. Mm. yeah and there's also true. an element of how much longer it seems to take to get home with each passing. Like, getting home at midnight takes a little while, but getting home at one feels like it takes a little bit longer. Exactly. Mm. I think I'm gonna pass this time. So I've been, I've been in a really bad sleep schedule lately. Uh huh. Where I've not been able to get to sleep until like 5 a.m. Uh huh. And then I sleep until like 2 p.m. Uh. Which is just like, it doesn't feel good. It's not, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Not, it's not restful. Right, you're you're barely catching it up, and you're also losing useful productive time too. And daylight, which I think has a major physical effect. So today I was that's why I was happy to like get started early because it was like a a reason to get up. You know. Yeah. Because if I didn't have to do this today, I probably you want to walk my radio city. Mm-hmm. Um, if we have to do the podcast, I'd probably just rationalize when I woke up, when I set my alarm at 9 a.m. of like no. Right now, I want to sleep long, and I would have just repeated the cycle, you know? Yeah. So I'm glad that I didn't, because now I'm tired, and we'll go to bed earlier. And get a proper night's sleep. Yeah. Mm. Did you watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade? A little bit of it. It's the weirdest thing. It is. I really like the... uh, the whole NBC CBS thing too. I think that's wonderful. What do you mean? That CBS illegally broadcasts it. I didn't know that. So basically, it's an NBC event. Basically, NBC NBC basically has the broadcast rights to the parade and all yeah. that stuff. But because it's a public event, CBS just sets up cameras and broadcasts it. Regardless, because it used to, used to. <laughs> so you said what? L- listeners, that was Connor finishing off the very last. Of a vanilla shake. Um, Aggressively. But so the parade used to right, go right by the CBS studios. Yeah. So they would just point cameras out and do coverage from their headquarters. Yeah. And then NBC purposely had the parade rep changed so that CBS couldn't just do it from their headquarters. Yeah. And so. CBS just basically does like a... A guerrilla broadcast? Yeah, a guerrilla broadcast without any of the... You know, that's why they don't have any of the like performances and all that stuff. It's more yeah. just like... They have their commentators. Hey, and here's Elmo. <laughs> yeah. But you don't really need those. Those performances are all just lip synced. Uh, yeah, no one enjoys those. Yeah. I mean, I videotaped a moment of the parade where it was like... Uh, I think it was like Matt Lauer, boing, 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 boing. Matt Lauer narrating, uh, and it was like the Pirate's Booty float. Yeah. And it was like, here comes uh, Crunchy the Parrot with his one good eye, and they're like dancing. Right. And, uh, and then there was like train... Train singing like a song uh, on a, like an ocean spray float. Right. And I'm like, this parade is insane now. Yeah. Like, so many things on it don't make sense. And it's a place where you see like a lot of like 
famous people pretending that they're having a great time. Exactly. Uh, let's just go left here. Uh, Over there. Left. Left. Um, in the freezing cold. Radio City Music Hall. Live from Radio City Music Hall. It's the 12 hour day. It looks podcast. like they just got out from the Radio City Hall yeah. show. Um, the. Uh, but there is an element. There is an element of watching like famous people in the cold, lip singing to a song and pretending that they're having a great time being in the right. parade. Right. When you actually know that pe- most people in Prince William the Parade are not having a great time. Like you know that all of them before were like with their friends, like getting breakfast before the thing, going like, "Oh, I can't believe I have to do this thing. This is so insane." Yeah, but it's fun though that you get there. Yeah, no, it's fun, but. It's yeah. going to be cold and so weird to lip syncing to this thing. Yeah. Um, well, next year, hopefully Mikey, Eric, and I will be in the Thanksgiving parade lip syncing to our one of our songs. You'll be the leads of it, I'm sure. The parade masters. If any of the, yeah, parade masters would be, I would do that. I would do that. Um, I didn't know that the volunteers who run it are Macy's employees. Oh, really? Oh, and that's also, they can't, uh, CBS doesn't say Macy's Day Parade. What do they say? Thanksgiving Day Parade. So, it's, it, it, they don't have the rights, but it also just means that Macy's doesn't get the free publicity? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's kind of a weird reverse boomerang thing, right? Yeah. But you would think that if they're going to broadcast it illegally, they'd have to at least, like, mention what it is? Well, I think Macy's probably wouldn't be against it, but NBC is like... Oh, right, yeah, yeah. No, we paid for exclusive rights. What's weird is, what's weird to me is how, in my recollection of things, uh, when I was a... Baby. Yeah, when I was a baby... Let's do it. We're going to cross the street, and it's just Christmas. Um... We're walking over to glance at the big tree and all its Christmas cheer. Uh, JD hates this. Um, I don't hate it. Just the crowd. Yeah, just there's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, there were still all of these balloons that were in the parade. Like, if you look at um, the movie Broadway Danny Rose, which was made in the early 80s. Right. Uh, but it takes place in, I think, the 1960s. Sure. So it's shot in black and white. And they have scenes from a Macy's parade. And they're able to do that and have it be authentic because they still had balloons in the parade that had been in parade for decades. Right. Like they had Underdog and Woody Woodpecker and characters who were not 1980s characters. Right. Uh, in the parade. And... Uh, and I remember as a kid being like, oh, it's kind of weird that this parade has these same characters that they've had, for, they've been out for a long time because I was sort of aware that, like, I believe it's right here. Woody Woodpecker was not, uh, was not a contemporary right. phenomenon at that point. Right. They still have Woody Woodpecker, don't do they? they? I don't think they do. I think. I thought that was, like, one of the classic ones that they maintained. I don't know. I don't like Snoopy and things like that. I don't think so. I think a lot of those like Snoopy balloons and stuff like that, they've updated 
to be even the ones like Snoopy they've updated to make it a more modern Snoopy right you know uh, and ooh yeah it's crowded yeah the amount of so many people around here well, it's also, I was just like, oh, it'd be nice to watch everyone skate, but instead it's... You, you can't really get down people there. People taking photos of... Yes. People skating. Yeah, just lots of really not great photos of people skating. Yeah. How long do you think the line is to go skating? Oh, hours. Yeah. I mean, it might even be shut off at this point. It might even be like they've already got their... I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> well, we are looking at the skating at Rockefeller Center. There's just packs. Everywhere is packed around here. Uh, it's really festive, but also really crowded. You see any SantaCon Santas? It's hard to tell. Yes, I, don't... I do. Skating. Skating? Yeah. How can you be sure they're SantaCon Santas? It's clear. Oh. Um. My oh my. He's gonna round the bend soon enough, and you'll be, you'll be able to judge as well. A lot of sirens going off still. All right. Come on. All right. Where is he? No, I need you to sign off on this. I need you to sign off that this guy is SantaCon. All right, I'll sign off on it once I see him. Why is it looking so slow? Um, Where'd he go? Did he, he's did done. He, quit? he passed out. He was going super slow, but now yeah, he gave up. I believe you. All right, let's get out of here. No, there he is. It's a girlfriend. You see him? Yeah, I see him. He's kind of like... Teetering on the far outside. Yeah, yeah. There you go. And there you have it. Live from SantaCon. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, my God. With the Lego store. Um, but uh, what was I going to say to you? Our shop. Yeah. Um, no, but I think that, like, in the 90s, maybe, they started updating where they would add, they would swap out some of the old balloons and bring in, like, a more contemporary right. take on some of the old characters. And some of them that, like, I'm pretty sure Underdog hasn't been in the parade for decades now. Oh, boy. Well... Some sort of car big blasting. car blasting Christmas music. Now we are walking across, and it is like a living hell. Right now, it's a living hell. We're in a living hell. Oh, and here we hear it now the Mariah Carey classic. Everyone is singing it. Hold on. Hold on. Nice. 
Owens. this car but it's too far up for us to get alright well what done with it yeah I'm done with it too we gotta get out of it no why you crossing this way what you think that's the way out why it works I think we should. I know. No, I think we need to get across here and then over that way. What? What? Because he loves this podcast. This is my nightmare. I hate this. Yeah. Christmas. This is truly my nightmare right now. It's a Christmas. I think this this feels like a post-apocalyptic. Right now, if you could imagine what we're in, it's like a Christmas hellscape. There's like smoke and people yelling. And- yeah, uh, we're by TJ Fridays, and the, the Christmas music is driving away. And there's like smoke blowing in our face or something. Uh-huh. It's from this, this uh, cart. Pre- Why is there smoke from a pretzel cart? Because <laughs> they're burning the pretzels. <laughs> get that, get that Bernie smell. What? This does, it did feel like a hellscape right there. Oh, yeah. It absolutely did. It felt like what happens after Christmas burns down. It felt like an idiocracy what Christmas was. <laughs> don't, you, don't you feel like we should just go that way? Sure, if you love it. I don't love it. I hate everything right now. No. Now we're back and we got through it. I kind that of br- was too much stimulation. There was people shouting and pushing. Somebody just pointed at us. In a weird accusatory way. Really, probably recognized you from uh, the podcast. Yeah. He's oh, he's a twelve head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What? Uh, I hope you heard some of that. Some of the noises of Christmas in New York. That'd be a great thing if you guys want to make a loop of the last few minutes and <laughs> just sleep that, to that. And make that your ringtone. That's a Christmas in New York. Yeah. Make it um, loop that and put it on YouTube for ten hours, so that you can just sleep. To the you can sound, ex- sound. make a make a make a uh, pick some of your favorite Christmas images from a Google image search, <laughs> and make a ten hour long search, uh, search Christmas, Christmas in New York, Christmas in New York, and Christmas hellscape, and make a collage of those photos that loops for ten hours. As you just hear people screaming as in the sirens, streets of sirens, and a guy in a weird trice. Uh, Motorized tricycle blasting Mariah. I forgot I still had my gray sprayed George Lucas hair. And then when I went into the. uh, I do that sometimes, like I'll forget that I have it in. Right. And then I'll look in the mirror and I'll have like a momentary shock of like 10 years has gone by. We can't cross yet because it's too dangerous. But we can cross here where the cars don't care. For Christmas, there. Just one thing, thing I need. Oliver and Isles. Wait, what was it called? What? What's the... Rizzoli and Isles? No, what's the print print people? Oh, um, Courier and Ives. Cur- Courier and Ives. These wonderful things are the things we remember all through our lives. Courier and Ives. Rizzoli and Isles. Wait, is this a way through? Uh, we're going to find out, huh? Yeah, it is. We're fine. 
Ooh, what's this warm Christmas air blasting at us? Warm Christmas, Christmas air, air blasting. blasting at our faces. All right. Well, right now, it's amazing that one block away from complete chaos, you can be walking down a street that is essentially empty in New yeah. York City. Mm. And it's lovely over here. At Scott Trade. At Scott Trade. Oh, there's leaves falling from the, the, from, uh, the from the sky. Sky trees. There's leaves. There's a single leaves. a single leaf fell from a height where there there is no tree it could have fallen from. So, if that's not a Christmas miracle, ladies and gentlemen, oh, and here we have it, the Christmas miracle to beat all miracles. It's the MetLife Building. These are things. Other things. Ooh, look how nice it looks. I'm probably gonna, let's go down this way. Okay. That's the station. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah. You, what were you heading towards? You want to get further away? Uh, yeah, I was going to get in the middle. Nice view. Ooh. Uh, we were at Grand Central, right? Yeah. Okay. So we're we're racking up the miles. You know what I mean here? I mean, we've got like quite a little I mean, 30 here. We're essentially, we're at 1151. So we're in... Oh, uh, we're, in wind, we're in wind territory. We're in closing down the shop's territory. It'll take us at least that long just to get on the what train. What are these weird stables? These stables? Yeah. That's when the, when the bankers get to racing, they get chomping at the bit in those stables. Weird. Why, why do you think those exist? I don't know. I don't know what those could possibly be for. Let's take a picture of that and ask, what are these stables for? Right? Stop honking. My God. All right, we'll ask that question on Twitter. If it's like, it feels like a grade school, it's like, everyone line up at your number, and then we'll all go inside. Oh, man, JD wants to get in the middle of Park Avenue. He loves it there. Why? What, what do we gain by going down this way? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, those are my girls. Yeah. Oh my god, they're so crazy. Merry motherfucking Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Now that they're stuck in front of us, they have not much to uh, say. I have the urge to take that guy's phone from his hand right now. You have to stop me. You have to stop me. I really want to do it. I want to do it so bad, Connor. If he said or did one more thing, that was my move. To take his phone? I was going to take his phone and just place it on the curb right there. Ha ha ha. I knew the driver was going to drive away. Yeah. It would be the inverse of the hat scenario. Oh, the perfect... The perfect uh, ring theory for this episode. 
What I thought was funny too is that like that guy was like yelling at us and saying some stuff until the car stopped and he like knew he didn't have enough in the tank to like yeah. engage us for more than just shouting at us the first time. Yeah. It just got awkward. What? Honkies. Honk. Honkies. I, I'm, I'm clearly getting tired because now everything's bothering me. Right, you're getting, you're getting to the point where everything sets you off. Well, I just feel like everyone in the city is to chill the fuck out. <laughs> and, and, and in order to make that true, I've got to get aggressively angry at everybody. I love that sentence. I just feel like everybody in the city has got to chill the fuck out. Well, it's just like everybody's screaming and shouting. Well, it's Christmas, J.D., and people... No, people are excited because it's Christmas, and you got to allow for a little bit of hijinks and screaming and shouting. (laughs) That's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about everything, J.D., and that includes boisterous behavior. Boisterous, inebriated 22-year-olds screaming from the sides of luxury SUVs. Look, what did he say to us, J.D.? He said, Merry Christmas, movos. (laughs) <laughs> right? Or something to that extent. This should be called 12 Hour Day Episode 10, Merry Christmas, Mopos. Why are... What? Me! Try, you try, got to speak the language of the taxi cab. Me! You got to speak the language of the taxi cab. There's the car behind that. I know. The girl in the cab thought you were funny, though. She liked that joke. Yeah. You gotta communicate with it. If you think of the cars as animals, it becomes more charming. That's not the. That's not the. My next move is gonna be to pull your Connor Rattler. I'm crazier than you. To anyone that says anything. Uh huh. I think that's your only recourse. Oh yeah, and that's a fun one. I mean, you've heard me accidentally, like inadvertently do it probably during this podcast, if you've yes. ever heard me going like, beep, 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 yes. beep, like that. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, boing, 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 yes. boing, <laughs> boing, boing, boing. That was it. Uh, I, I, I almost hummed them, but I knew what you were doing, and I was just going to let you do it. Yeah. It is, no one quite has a response to when you say, boing, boing, boing to them. It doesn't sound hostile. But it definitely communicates a point. Right. Makes people want to get out of the way of it. Where are we going? What? Where are we going? Where do you think we're going? On a Christmas time adventure. This is not the place that's open. You don't think? Well, let's test that theory.
That was just us walking through the uh, Met building. Guy sitting on an escalator at the bottom as we get on the escalator. With the sleeveless. With the uh, sleeveless uh, thing. Now we're in Grand Central. He's got dirty hands too. Uh, pretty majestic in here. Oh. SantaCon. I gotta get home on the train. SantaCon's over. Look at all these Santa Clauses trying to catch their trains. Go home. Go home. Get out of our city. Go home. Get out of our city. That's the uh, traditional song that you sing at midnight at Grand Central Station. That's the midnight. Uh, All the workers come together and hold hands. Get out of our city. Go home. Get out of our city. And what's great? Get out of our city. Go home. Get out of our city. And what's great is you can sing that song not just at Christmas, but any night in New York City. Go to Grand Central at midnight and sing that song. And it's, it's like, like Whoville. All of the New Yorkers join hands. But on, Santa Con, on, on the day of SantaCon, it takes on a special meaning. And the seats on the LIRR grew two times that night. Oh, man. Have you ever been to Kidding Around? No, it's a children's store for, like, no, it's like a com- toddlers. No, it's a comedy store for jokers. <laughs> There's, like, baby blocks. Yeah. Silly. This is a comedy store for jokers. It's called Kidding Around. And I buy all my comedy props there. That's why, that's why all your comedy bits are about being a baby. Only a few of them. Name one that's not. Uh, the I, one where I, I poop my diaper? That's about being an old person. Um, we're now going down the escalator. Yeah. We're heading toward the 7 train. 7 train. Train again. Near my train. Train my again. Friend. Oh, that's great. 7 train, train again. You're my train, my only friend. Oh, boy. Train, train. Wrong way, what? Okay. Get out of our city. City. Uh, Two levels down. And here we are now approaching the 7 train. With any luck, there will be a uh, 7 train approaching the station. Gotta go under the river. Yes. Oh, I hear the train approaching. 
Rizzoli and Niles. Let's go this way. A lot of Santas on this train. Yeah, you live in a very popular Six-hour one and slow it down so it's twelve. We can do both. Yeah. So that people like AJ McGee, who left at one point five or two point yeah. O speed. So can finally hear what it really sounds like. Can finally hear what it really sounds like. Um, do you think if we did it at half speed, that anyone would listen to it at half speed? <laughs> like if someone would be like, yeah, all right. is in your Twitter feed? Yeah, by the great Harry Ginsburg. Game, game Inventor. Game Spit. Avery Monson. Said what? His favorite are tweets. Um, anyone say he what the stables are? He started for a while. He fell off, though, I'm sure. Really? I don't know, I assume. Um, oh, boy, oh, boy. Oh yeah. Hey, if you hate this tweet, I hate it. 
But tweet it at, uh, at um, NASCAR's Jeff Gordon. Yeah. If you liked it, uh, if you liked it, tweet it at Patton Oswalt. What? I hate it? No, I like If you like the podcast, yeah. uh, tweet it at Patton Oswalt. Just tweet, I like it at Patton Oswalt. I like it. They'll just take that as a, they'll just be like a general positivity. Yeah. And maybe something bad happens to Jeff Gordon. I don't follow NASCAR, so I don't know. But maybe you say you hated it, that gave support for him. Yeah. They're like, well, we should ban Jeff Gordon from all race-related things. And you're like, I hate it. They'll be like, oh, thanks for support. Great. Um, we are at Vernon Jackson Avenue now. This is Flushing Police, Southbound 7, local train. The next stop is Flushing 4th Avenue. I wonder if I'll ever look at that trip or pay ever again in my life. Probably. I don't think so. Say goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, there's a big prize if you can figure out which strip of paint in New York City JD was looking at. Yeah, if you can figure it out. Tweet it at us. If you can figure it out, you sent me a photo of that strip of paint. I, I will. You don't need to establish what the prize is now. Just know there'll be a, a good prize. prize. There'll be a prize. You, know, you could probably do it. Well, I said what station we were at. Yeah. But even then, that's narrowing it down to what you could have possibly been pointing at. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. It's impossible. You can't do it, 12 heads. What if someone nails it? And you get a fun prize. I look forward to giving that fun prize. I can't wait. You pick out something here. At the highest point. Circled with a red marker. Okay. Get surprised. Okay. Those three is sort of on the bottom. No, I'm just saying like it's a little uh, decept deceptive. There's there's five total, but there's three on the bottom. That, there's two things in the third in the middle. Yeah. Right. What? You're talking about the. Yeah. You know. The yeah. No, the that they're and there were three at the bottom. Oh, okay, I didn't see yeah. three at the bottom. Yeah, there was just three settled at the bottom while the other ones were there. Okay, yeah. Just going circled there. Yeah. A little more clues there. Yeah. You can get that idea. Yeah, you get a fun prize. Fun you gotta figure out where it was. Fun yes. What constitutes a fun prize is determined by a media. Um Right. Do you take a picture of yourself inside that window? Yeah. The one with the yellow light? Yeah. I'll give you a buy your condo in Minneapolis. Me? Huh? <laughs> if, they, if they take a photo of themselves in that, I'll buy you kind of a condo in Minneapolis. Oh, I feel like I, I could actually make that happen. I bet you could. First thing I do would be hop on a train, go in the other direction, figure out exactly which window it is. Go to the building, figure out where it is, figure out where it is, go to them and say, listen, I have this, my friend's got this deal. I get a condo. I've seen this photo. 
I give you a time share. Ah, uh, it's already too much work. Yeah. Uh-oh. What's happening? Battery? We good for banners? I got one block left on mine. I just stopped hearing stuff, so I assumed it was. This is a flushing Main Street bound seven local trains. The next stop is We might just cut out randomly. Maybe. <clears throat> That'd be fun. Is it just the headphones? Yeah. Uh, because Apple uses a thing where basically there's three bands so that they can send signals yeah. to the headphone cord. Yeah. That means that it doesn't line up with most headphone jacks to send up normal audio. So I have to have it in halfway and then I can hear out of one earbud, but if I put it in all the way, I can't hear it all. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, now we are heading toward Queensboro Plaza. Plaza. And if my train is there... Then we end it. Then we end it. My train's not there, you're gonna get wait. out. Yeah, I'll get out and I'll wait for the next train. Okay. But we're gonna have a moment's notice to figure this out. Yeah, and if so, you'll take the lot with you. Or I'll pop the lot off. But how are we gonna do our normal? You're right, I'll keep it. We can't end it. We can't stop doing it now. We can do whatever we want, but you're right. We can't stop doing it now. We can't stop. Um, it looks there like we are. It's time to get out of the train and just have a little bit of Queensboro time. You know, Queensboro Plaza gets a bad rap. Gets a bad rap and a fair amount of press from us. But you know what? It uh, might just be the what? Santa Cruz. Oh boy. The next stop is Dirty Bird Street. Oh my god, that's such a spoof of it. Oh no. What happened? I thought for a second that there was a train right there. Doesn't matter. Which would only meant that it's like, okay, well then you get to wait. Uh, there, there are SantaCon people on the platform, and there are also people who look like they're dressed like um, the cult on the leftovers, which is called the Guilty Remnant. Right. Dress all in white. Uh, a couple of people dressed like that. I think the Guilty Remnant are probably most. Uh, SantaCon is the closest. People are like. Mad about the guilty remnant. I think Santa Con is in some ways a, a real world uh, uh, analogous. There are guilty thing. revenant. Yeah, they, they serve a similar function in some ways. Yeah, being horrible. Um, well, uh, now let's look. We've got. Some, what do you want for Christmas? Um, I don't know. Um. There are a couple of things that I put on, like a wish list for, um, for my parents to see, to get them some ideas, because they're always asking for ideas. Right. And things like the the Beatles uh, Blu-ray, Blu-ray that just came out. So I, over, I was going over, over at Mikey's house rehearsing the songs last week. Um, the uh, he had it, and it made me. Eager, eagerly anticipate hopefully having it in the future. Right. I know one thing that my sister's getting me 
which is an exciting thing that uh, I, I know what it is, and you'll find out about it too in like a uh, few weeks. She gave you a gun instead of threat? Yeah, she gave me a gun, and I'm gonna. She knows I want to shoot you with a gun. And, uh, yeah, you'll find out. You'll find out exactly what she got me in a few how will it? How will it influence? In what, in what facet of our relationship will I notice it? Um, a surprise. A new coat. A what? New coat. No. Um, no, you'll know about it for reasons that you couldn't... I don't think you'll even anticipate. Even with me saying this, I don't think you're going to anticipate the ways that you uh, learn of my presence. Interesting. Yeah, it's intriguing, right? And you're not the only one. Interesting. Okay. There's only three of these things in existence. And I'm going to have one of them. Three of these things exist. I'm sure you have one. That makes me think that it's like memorabilia of something. In a way. I like that we're going to be ending on a mystery. Three of these things What a great thing to start. Spent so much time in the early part of this episode talking about yeah, the leftovers mystery, yeah. and like that. And we end a 12-hour podcast with me teasing you about something that I'm not going to reveal to you. And could, the people, I, could I ostensibly guess it? I think you probably could, but it's unlikely. There's three of them in existence. You're going to get one of them. It's very unlikely that you would guess this. But it's not impossible. And I will find out about it because it will be publicly known that you have this thing. Yeah. And is it is it an object? Yes. There's three in existence. You're gonna have one. Okay, here's my one last question. Mm-hmm. Is it something that you will use or something you will just have for personal display? Um, I can imagine possibly one use for it, but mostly for display, I think. But I, I, I think there would be one thing that I would use it for. Oh, in the technical, there would be three things I would use it for. But mostly for display. I'm so I can't tell you how happy I am to end a 12-hour podcast with an enigma. I think I have. No. What do you think? Take your guesses. I'm not going to confirm or deny anything. I think that's something to do with George Lucas. Uh. No. Then what I'm thinking is not not it. I'm trying to think if I could tie it in, but I don't. I don't think I could. Does it have to do with movies? Television movies? Um, no, it has to do with music. 
It's hard for me to answer honestly without being overtly deceptive about it, I think. Right. Um, I, my answer to that would be kind of a coy one, I think. Right. Um, I was trying to see if I could tie it in with Lucas in some other way, but I couldn't really because I sort of that's sort of been my thing is like pigeonholing Lucas stuff into things. Right. Well, here we are. You didn't guess. No. It'll be a mystery. But it'll be a mystery, uh, but you might guess it. And in people the next might few weeks. know it by the time that. This oh yeah. Maybe maybe not. Ooh, your train's pretty packed. Yeah. Think, that doesn't look too I think pleasant. It's gonna be a lot of your. Oh, no, not for me. No, thank you. Oh, it's been a very nice day. It's been a very good day. It's been a 12-hour day. It's been a 12-hour day. It's been a Merry Christmas day. day. I'm going to get over here day. Not too many Ruffigans got off. No. Well, thanks, J.D. Thank you, Connor. I had a fun day today. Yeah, same. I'll see you soon. I'll see you, Connor. Uh, Get home safe. Thank you. You too. And um, any parting words of advice? Have a Merry Christmas to you, J.D. And a Happy New Year. Thank now J.D. is going away on the train, and I'm left here. Things are open. You hear Connor? He'll probably pop back on for a moment here. So far, nothing. All right. That's episode 10. Good night.